Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bowling Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code Ben at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Ben. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. You're about to listen to our election night backstage. It went for one million hours. It's me, Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, Michael Moles, a cavalcade of stars, many big announcements about the future of the Daily Wire, and of course, coverage of all of that chaotic election night. Tune in. I think you'll enjoy it. Here we are, the day the Mayans warned us about. Election night 2020, it's the Super Bowl, the World Series, and the whatever the heck soccer calls it, all rolled into one. Will Donald Trump pull off another upset? Did the media do enough to get an old man in his basement elected to the highest office in the world? Do any of us have any idea whatsoever what's going to happen? No, I'm serious, guys. Does anybody know what's going to happen? No. Not me. Yes. Really? No. (laughs) Unbelievable, this guy. So there it is, the kind of profound and prescient political analysis people have come to expect from us. My God, it's going to be a long night. The first polls close in just under one hour. And no matter what happens, I think what couldn't be more clear is that the establishment media and social media have utterly failed in their basic responsibilities. We're going to devote some of the many, many, many hours that we'll be together tonight discussing that problem and discussing what we can do about it. But the first thing you can do, if you're watching this right now on one of those channels, YouTube, Facebook, well, click on over to thedailywire.com and watch the exact same show, us, over there. We've made some terrific enhancements to improve your viewing experience on our website tonight and to create a truly one-stop election HQ where you can get all the information you need to know exactly what's happening as we go. And we're making the entire broadcast free for everyone, not just for our dailywire.com members. That said, we will be taking questions from our members throughout the night, and we'd love for you to get your questions in so members will also have access to our live discussion discussion feature throughout the show. Don't be afraid to become a member today. Use the promo code ELECTION. You'll get 25% off. Tonight's show is going to be bigger and better than anything we've ever staged before at The Daily Wire. We're going to have killer guests all night, from Candace Owens to Megan Kelly, Stephen Crowder, Dave Rubin, Clint Beck, more. But we've also set up a war room to bring you the most up-to-date numbers, analysis, and social reactions throughout, well, throughout Armageddon, which is what we're facing tonight. To tell you how all that is going to work, I'm going to kick it over to the brilliant Elisha Kraus. Yes, I said the brilliant Elisha Kraus because my attorneys credibly informed me I can no longer call her lovely without getting her to first sign a waiver. Elisha, 
Tell us how the war room is going to work. I hope I look pretty lovely tonight, and I know that I have other lovely people here with me, and we're going to be bringing you hard-hitting, brand-new news information and data all throughout the night, including what people on social media are saying with a very familiar face to the Daily Wire audience, Kathy Dillon. Hi, so I will be on Twitter all night long watching the reactions, maybe some meltdowns later. We'll see what happens. But I will be watching what you guys are saying. So if you want to get involved, tweet at us at Real Daily Wire, and I'll be here keeping you updated. So it's election night. And next, the other thing that we have happening in the war room is we're going to go to Daily Wire's editor-in-chief, John Bickley. John, explain what's going on in this actual physical war room that's behind you. Gorgeously asked. Thank you very much. Uh, we've got the war room behind us. This is where we're crunching the numbers, getting the, rec- the most recent data, all the updates on the election, feeding it out to you guys through live feed and on the website. So we're trying to just keep you up to date. You can stay with us the whole night. Don't have to worry about you're missing something. No, we've got it. We're on it. Editorial staff is is on the ball. So. Oh. Okay. That's what we're doing in there. So let's take a walk over here and see what we need to be looking for. Yep. So let's show this is another continuation of our war room. We have the data entry happening over here. And like you said, it's going to be cohesive. So people are watching the stream, hopefully on dailywire.com, and then also checking out the homepage. Our team of hardworking people in there is going to be updating this map throughout the night. Right. So we have this interactive map here. No, I'm just kidding. It's not interactive. <laughs> so... We've got this map we're here not that is, is laying out the scene. We, you know, we, we, we thought about the best way. How do you explain to people what are we looking for tonight? We should start with 2016. Okay. This is how Trump won it and shocked everyone. He, he totaled over 300 electoral votes. How did he do it? He won 10 of the 12 <clears throat> battleground states. No one saw this coming at all. No one anticipated it. And no one's actually predicting he will do that this year. He doesn't need to do it this year. He needs to get over 270. To do that, we've looked at it, looked at all the latest polling. In the last week, there's been major movements actually in the poll, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll highlight later. Um, he needs to win seven of the 12 battleground states. So the, 12, the seven to watch out of the 12 are Florida, Texas, both must-wins, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. So we're going to especially focus on those. Pennsylvania has become a major focal point for both campaigns. We'll keep you up to date on that and be watching these razor thin margins uh, for these races. This, you know, it could be a long night, like we said, and it might be a long couple of weeks, but <laughs> we, we're going to keep you up to date on it. So, so and, and in this scenario, what are you paying attention to? Right. So we're looking at, we're comparing results, the early results mm-hmm. from 2016, looking at how it's, it's playing out in the different states. Florida is the first to watch. Got it. Georgia closes next. We're watching those very carefully. Those are super tight. They're within one, uh, the margin of error of one. Wow. Um, in terms of the polling, same with North Carolina. Texas is getting close to that. Ohio and Pennsylvania, all of them within two. Okay. So it's going to be tight. So we're, we're going to watch them in the order that they close and, and be updating. And be updating uh, the audience. As be, we get information, right. Be updating the guys on their set over there. And, of course, I'll still be taking subscriber <laughs> questions, member questions, which we love and to hear from the audience. So we have a lot happening over here. It's going to be really interesting, hard-hitting news, lots of data. And you guys can just, you know, chat and smoke cigars or something. Beautiful. That's- that's essentially all we're good for is chatting and smoking cigars. Guys, looking ahead at the night, we agreed no predictions, which I think is sound. Uh, everybody all day keeps texting me and asking me for predictions. That's what people want, I think, when they talk to us. But my, my experience with this is 
the only prediction you can win is if you say Trump is going to win 40 states and then Trump wins 40 states. If that happens, you are a genius. But it's a high risk, uh, a high risk gambit. Every other play only makes us look like we're bad at our jobs. So we're not here to tell you what's going to happen. We're here to tell you what's happening and what it means. We're here to talk about the stakes uh, of the night, because I think the stakes are as high as they have been in any election probably in modern memory. It's funny, everybody says every election is the most consequential election of our lifetime. Part of that, of course, is hyperbole. Part of it is uh, the the sort of bias of the now. Um, But part of it is because as the government intrudes further and further and further into our lives, the actual stakes do ratchet in one direction. It's very hard to ever get that ratchet to go back. I mean, that's the thing about a ratchet. It doesn't go uh, (laughs) the other way. So very important night. We're going to help people contextualize that. Uh, Let's start just by talking about the stakes here together. Drew, What are we facing tonight? What does it mean? Well, I think before we even get to policy, I think you have to talk about culture because culture is where the future fights are going to be won and lost. And one of the things we have seen is we have seen a news media that has wholly corrupted itself. This is a the legacy news media, which has just all in for one candidate to the point of actually blockading reasonable news after three and a half years of selling us a Russian collusion story that didn't happen. They actually shut down a Biden corruption story that very much looks like it might well have happened and is certainly better sourced than the Russian collusion story. But Adam Schiff doesn't know. He doesn't have firsthand <laughs> evidence. <laughs> he wasn't there. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't physically room. in the room. And yeah. this comes after what to me was the turning point of everything, which was the Tara Reid accusations, where after listening to a woman accuse Brett Kavanaugh of something with no proof that she had ever met him, we had Tara Reid accuse Joe Biden of having done something even worse. And she actually has met him. And in the one case, a full court press to destroy Brett Kavanaugh went into place across the media, all, all the way from one side to the other. And from, from the left all the way to the far left. Yeah. And, and with the other, it was buried. The other case didn't, the story wasn't told for 19 days. The New York Times buried in, the, in our Easter paper. And so what we're looking at now is do they have the power, as you said in your opening, funnily, but it's also not that funny, right. is do they have the power to take a clearly senile old man who is a front for a radical left uh, party and push him over the top? And I think if we see that stopped, it is going to be very meaningful because it means that we, the replacement media, are, have a good shot at replacing this dishonest and corrupt, desiccated legacy media. Well, funnily, but not that funnily, is going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> ben, uh, I agree with what Drew just said. I think that the real story tonight, no matter who wins, no matter who is the next president, the most the most consequential event of the night, or the most consequential story of the night, is the state of the media in the country. What's your read? No question that that's the case. I think it's the media. I think more broadly, it's the takeover of virtually every cultural institution by the left. And I think that the the right has typically fought the culture war by electing Republicans. Mm. Uh, If the Democrats are able to take back the auspices of government power and use that to foster the culture war as well, then all guns are turned against conservatives, against religious people, against people who just want to be left alone in their daily lives. We've watched the takeover of nearly every institution in America uh, by a radical left, very small movement uh, that has made extraordinary gains. And I'm not even just talking about 
you know, the, the sort of typical democratic left. I'm talking about the woke left that seeks to cancel everybody who doesn't fulfill the obligations put upon them by Ibram Kendi and Robin DiAngelo. I'm talking about people who believe that you shouldn't be friends with anybody who would even consider voting Republican. You certainly shouldn't employ those people. Those people have now become uh, a, a moving force in American life to the point where so many Americans are even afraid to speak freely. It's that bad on a cultural level. You get the power of government behind that. You get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Democrats in the Senate wrecking institutions in pursuit of majoritarian cram down on everybody else. And things could get really, really ugly really, really quickly. And when we talk about the institutions, we, we are obviously you know, talking here about the establishment media, which has been worth eight to 10 points in nearly every election for Democrats in my lifetime. In this election, my guess is they're probably worth 10 to 15 points, given how much they hate Donald Trump and how much rage they've stoked against Trump, particularly on the COVID issue, where they've just promoted the myth that Donald Trump is almost like a sort of bizarre blight upon the land and that if Trump is removed from office, COVID will just go away. But it's not just them. It's the it's the takeover of corporate America that scares the hell out of me as well. And that includes social media because corporate, there was this conventional wisdom idea uh, that Republicans had bought into for a very long time, which was that, that you, sure, everybody gets woke in college or everybody goes radical in college. And then you grow up, right? You get out, you get a job, you get married, you pay taxes. You know, the, the old Winston Churchill kind of the, the old old saw about you know, liberals being, being, you know, uh, having heart, but, but having no brain by the time they're 40. That would, that would start to apply. People would move on, move on. But instead, what's happened is people got out of college and they actually changed the institutions to fit them. And so now you have major corporations saying that they will not do business with you if you are of a particular point of view, openly catering to the other side. You have credit card companies that are rejecting business with particular, right. with particular businesses. You have social media that is acting the same way. It, they kind of live halfway in that space between media and corporate America. But the social media shutting down the Hunter Biden story, not because they thought it was false, but because they thought they feared it might be true. And so it had to be shut down because if it were allowed to be put out there, then you might have enough information to make your own choices. This is the battle that we're in right now. You know, Trump is at the forefront of that battle. Republicans are at the forefront of that battle, not because that's the way we win the culture war, but because if we continue to lose the culture war and we lose the political war as well, there will be nothing left other than a complete separation of the American public, which is what we're watching in real time. Yeah, it does seem like for the first time in my lifetime, balkanization is an actual possible outcome as as the red gets redder, as the blue gets bluer. And unlike the last time that we saw a, a separation happen in our country, I'm not sure that anyone actually cares enough for their for their fellow citizen who disagrees with them politically to actually engage in any sort of armed conflict to keep them. I mean, I think you can really see the possibility of something like Brexit forming. And, the, you know, Ben, you, you spoke about this eloquently in your book, uh, but a sort of a de-unionization, right? Yeah, this is right. The, the dissolution of the republic. That's right. It, it could be at hand. The only reason I think that it could get ugly is because people who are in charge of the federal government, if they're Democrats, don't want to see the taxpayer dollars walk out the door. Uh, and they're very much afraid that that if job creation is happening in the red states and dying in the blue states, you can't let everybody who's got the money actually walk out the door. There's a reason that, that East Germany had to actually build a wall to keep people uh, from, right. from escaping. Because so, all, all communism is international communism, right? It actually doesn't work in any sort of local. I mean, it doesn't work yeah, even no, I mean, that, global, right. but at least they can say they don't know that. When Joe Biden says he's a unifying figure, and then it is perfectly obvious that his party has decided that they wish to basically subsume individual rights and personal freedoms and the philosophy of the Declaration of Independence in favor of a pursuit of left-wing utopia, 
they're making their choice, and that's an ugly choice. I mean, I, I thought that maybe the future of the country rested on good-hearted liberals getting together with conservatives and classical liberals, and, and at least we were unified over what we thought our basic rights were, and then we would argue about policy. But it seems like a lot of members of, of the Democratic Party, including people like Joe Biden, have decided it's much easier to go along with a woke left that gives them an easier path to utopia, yeah. even if that means getting rid of American philosophy, American history, and those personal rights. Well, that brings us to another important issue, Michael, which is uh, that we've seen an unleashing of racial animus yeah. During the last four years, that, that is certainly different than anything that I've seen in, in my life. Drew lived through, uh, I don't know, probably the Civil War. I, <laughs> it's really, it was bad. Really it was hard. bad. No, yeah, that, it was hard. real shooting then. <laughs> you could only load once, but still, you know. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, it really seems like in, in my lifetime, there's been great rec- racial reconciliation has taken place all throughout my life. Yep. And now, you, you know, even pals of ours, David French made a... Uh, a speech in a, in a debate that he did with Eric Metaxas in which he kept accusing Trump of fueling racial hatred in the country, pouring fuel on racial animus, I think is what he said. But I look around and I see the only people who are really wielding race and stirring racial animus are this modern left. It's Joe Biden saying that Republicans want to put you all back in chains. It's the burning down of cities now, apparently, even when an armed black man attacking police is killed by police in self-defense. Uh, you know, the what what does it mean for our country that these racial divisions are being played upon the way that they are. Is there a way to get back to a place where we can all coexist? Well, I think what it means is that Donald Trump just has not condemned white supremacy. I, just wish, <laughs> I hope tonight, you know, on election night, he would do that. He's, I think he's done it about 700 million times so far, but, but he should do it 700 million and one times. Of course, Donald Trump famously said racism is evil. He goes on and on. He says, we all bleed the same blood of patriots, which is true. We do all bleed the same blood of patriots if we're patriots, if we love our country. And the left has made clear they don't love the country. I wish it didn't come down to that. But I think this election presents a clear choice. Trump supporters wave the American flag. Biden supporters burn the American flag. Not all Biden supporters. Obviously, there are many who do not. But all the people who are burning the flags right now support Joe Biden over Donald Trump and more in a greater number than the flag burners. There are many, many Biden supporters who don't light the flag on fire, but they think that America was founded in 1619, not 1776. They think that America is fundamentally defined by the worst aspects of her history, namely slavery, among other issues. There there are many people in this country who want to fundamentally transform it, who think the past of America is uniformly evil, who think that the present of America is uniformly evil, and they love America in the future, in the future of their dreams where it's unrecognizable. They want to, to quote Barack Obama, fundamentally transform America. Well, we're looking at an America that is becoming fundamentally transformed, and it's pretty ugly. That fundamental transformation is, as you were pointing out, Jeremy, creating a new American caste system, ripping up racial animosities, sexual animosities, all sorts yeah. of animosities. That That is a really awful thing, and I think the election comes down to, do you embrace your fellow American as an American, wave the flag, or do you torch that country and create some new project that looks pretty scary? Yeah, there's a lot of scary things happening out there. Not all of them are related to this election. Uh, many of them are a good reason for you to get life insurance, especially if you, like me, are starting your family. I shouldn't say I'm starting my family. I've been married for 11 years. But I'm starting that next phase for my family, uh, which is where we have adopted this beautiful little daughter. And I'm realizing that I have responsibilities that are actually going to outlast probably my mortal life, especially the way I live, uh, which probably um, all but ensures <laughs> Uh, I'm like a live fast, die young, good looking corpse type. Uh, shopping for life insurance can seem like a daunting task, but if you've got loved ones that depend on you, it's also an important responsibility. That's why Policy Genius makes it easy. They combine cutting edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. Right now, you can save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could, you know, last for more than a decade, 
small savings really start to turn into big savings over that time. Here's how it works. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. I wasn't. Again, I don't live that well, but you might be able to. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and all the red tape. They make it so easy. Even a schlub like me was able to get life insurance. And the best part is they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and on Google. You need life insurance. More importantly, the people that you love need you to have life insurance. That's why you need Policy Genius. Benjamin, you use Policy Genius. Policy Genius. It's for everybody who has dependents. If you have dependents, you need to make sure that should you plots, they're going to be sad. They're going to be even sadder if they are no longer entitled to your monetary stream. So go check out PolicyGenius.com. Get the life insurance that you require. You could say 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice and very, very important to get it right. Okay, so we said we weren't going to do predictions, so let's not do predictions, but we should do analysis. Absolutely. Right, so the, so as John Bickley, editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire, my former position, uh, has suggested, uh, there are a, a bunch of states to keep an eye on early. Uh, here's the rundown on when the polls close in each particular state. So as of 7 p.m. Eastern, which is in about 40 minutes here, uh, the polls close in Georgia, the rest of Indiana, they already closed in some parts of Indiana, Kentucky, South Carolina, Vermont, and Virginia. At 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, they close in North Carolina, Ohio, and West Virginia. At 8 p.m. Eastern, Alabama, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Florida. Polls do close at 7 p.m. Eastern outside of Florida's panhandle. Um, but they don't release the results the same way that they used to because, obviously, in 2000, there was a lot of fear that by releasing early results in Florida, they were actually going to lead to decreased voter turnout in the panhandle, which is sort of what happened. They started announcing the results early in Florida. A bunch of people in the panhandle said, oh, I guess the voting's over and didn't show up in the panhandle right. to vote for Bush. So they shifted how they report the votes uh, in Florida. And uh, most of the states, basically, by 8 p.m. Eastern, are in Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Tennessee. As far as when the states actually count those votes, Florida counts nearly right away. So Florida is going to be probably your earliest indicator of where the election is going at this point. And, you know, having spent some time in Florida, uh, it's it's always really competitive. It always tends to pull a little bit more Democrat than it ends up being. That's what happened with Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum last time in the gubernatorial race in 2018. Uh, I can tell you just anecdotally, the enthusiasm for Trump is extremely, extremely high in Florida. Uh, I think that Trump is going to win Florida, although right now, if you watch Twitter, if you watch uh, the, the various parties, uh, they're suggesting that there's a lot of late turnout from 4 to 6 p.m. for Democrats, particularly in Broward County, which is a blue county in Florida. It's close to uh, Miami. Uh, it goes Miami-Dade and then Broward and then Palm Beach uh, as you move up the coast. So we'll, we'll see how, how Florida turns out. Keep an eye on Nor North Carolina and Florida early on. Later in the night, keep an eye on Arizona. Trump needs to win Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona. This is his easiest path. Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Pennsylvania. That's his path. If he does not win any of those states, you're going to start seeing weird talk about Nevada or Minnesota maybe filling the gap. That is unlikely, I think, at best. Uh, so he, he does need to win those three southern, southwestern states. Uh, and then he, he needs to win Pennsylvania as well. The, the Biden campaign was betraying a little bit of anxiety, by the way, pretty yeah. early on. What, what it really comes down to for the people watching right now is uh, Trump can lose quite early tonight, as with Mitt Romney in 2012. He can only win quite late tonight, as with Trump 2016. If we if we see the polls close in uh, in just under 58 minutes, 
If the polls close in, I'm sorry, in just under 38 minutes, if the polls close in Florida and the president were uh, to lose Florida, it would be like 2012 Mitt Romney, a very short night. Uh, we'll be here to commiserate with you, uh, but it won't be the joyful celebration we're all hoping for. Uh, for the president to, president to win, he's going to have to pick up Arizona, which means we're going to be here probably until 8 p.m. All that, of course, best case scenario, that assumes that we're not within the margin of error. That assumes that we're not litigating this thing uh, until, you know, I don't know. The end of time. The yeah, end of yeah, time. Yeah. Florida, again, most of the votes come in pretty early. Uh, yeah. And they, they've been tabulating the votes as they go along. Pennsylvania is the one that's the nightmare scenario. If it comes down to Pennsylvania, as people have been talking about, there's a court ruling that basically kicked the can down the road on how late ballots can be received. Ballots can now be received for days after the election. It is unclear whether they can be postmarked after yeah. the election, which means that the election day is not actually the election day. Turn uh, that will get waiting as fast as you can to fill them out. Right, <laughs> exactly. exactly. It'll, it'll, it'll be, it would be pretty wild. Um, the, the, I need a pen. <laughs> Somebody get me a pen. The, 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 the sort of basic math thus far is that there, there's an expectation that Democrats are going to do well in mail-in voting, uh, that Republicans are doing well in early voting, not mail-in. Like in-person early voting, they're doing pretty well, and that on election day, Republicans are expected to face the Democrats uh, pretty significantly. It's pretty surprising, the early voting. They, they, Republicans really turned out. Republicans are a little stodgy. They like to vote on election day. I like to vote on election day. But they did turn out early, and that was kind of a surprise, I think. Yeah, the, the Trump campaign really put a lot of focus on that. I think they made a strategic early error by saying that mail-in ballots are, in, in essence, bad. Right. They saw Trump shift on that, right? Trump went to, except for in Florida. In Florida, they're kind of good, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and so a lot of Republicans started to take yeah. him up on the, okay, well, I don't trust mail-in ballots, but I do want to vote early, so I'm going to go and I'm going to show Well, listen, early. I don't blame them. Let me tell you about the shenanigans that have gone on in California. I've gotten I've been permanent absentee in California since it basically since it became possible to be permanent absentee in California. I don't believe in voting until Election Day. But what my wife and I have always done as a precaution in case we needed to travel uh, or ran into any other kind of problems. We're permanent absentee. On Election Day, we take our absentee ballot to our polling place and we turn it in instead of sticking it in the mail. I've never trusted mail in voting, but I always thought that it was uh, that it was prudent to get the absentee ballot. Uh, for the first time this year, registered Republican, I did not receive an absentee ballot. I received the sample ballot. I, ins- I received the instruction packet. Uh, you get about five things over the course of the months leading into the election. Got all of them. Did not get a ballot. My wife did not get a ballot. My neighbor, who is a registered Republican, did not get their ballot. His wife, who's a registered independent, did get her ballot. I've been hearing stories like this anecdotally from my friends all around California, several people who work here. So for the first time in in quite a long time, I went down to my polling place without an absentee ballot. I checked in. I asked them to check and see if anyone had voted on my ballot. Fortunately, they said no, and they were able to cancel that ballot and let me vote on the machine. Uh, In the past, California has always used the the ink, punch ink system. This year, it was a digital system. It was basically an iPad in a booth that isn't even all that private, right? People can watch you, but you go to this iPad, And amazingly, when you get to the section on voting for president, they listed the presidential candidates in order alphabetical by party. D is for Democrat. So right at the top, there was Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Then you had uh, your Green Party. (laughs) Then you had your Libertarian Party. And that was it. (laughs) That was all that was on the pad. There was a little bitty button down at the bottom that said more. Now, I'm of a certain age where I grew up with computers. Everyone here is, uh, except, I mean, you grew up with an abacus, so you kind of understand. <laughs> we, we get this <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. going back. <laughs> You've worked in media your entire life. You can navigate a UX. A, a, you, almost every UX is fairly intuitive. But we all have parents and grandparents who are of a slightly different generation who can't navigate even like the simplest Apple UX. 
you know, when, when you go from Apple uh, op, uh, iOS X to iOS, uh, iOS X.1, it looks exactly the same, but the color change, and your mom's like, Jeremy, I, I don't understand. Where's the <laughs> where's the green button? Well, mom, it's the same button, but it used to be green. You know, it now it's like almost green. You know, it's like green. It, it was it was forest green. Anyway, if you're 80, if you're 90, you're more likely to vote for Trump than younger age demos. You don't know how to navigate yeah. these operating systems in a sort of organic user experience. You don't know to push the little tiny more button at the bottom. I did, and it takes you to a second page. Even on that page, Donald Trump isn't the first name because uh, there's so many wow. parties, and R is pretty low in the alphabet. But can you just that small thing? How how much how many votes get lost because people of a certain age get into the into the booth? They didn't get their mail-in ballot that they're accustomed to getting. They get into the booth. It doesn't even look like Donald Trump is on the ballot. You say, well, they can ask. Yeah, but in order to ask, you then have to tell people who you're voting for. Right. Right. right which you. You know, I had this strange experience. Also, California, I'm voting in a very liberal district. Mm -hmm. And I insisted, to my wife's chagrin, on wearing the MAGA hat to go vote. And I wanted to do a little dance to vote our poor Donald Trump. Is that illegal? That should be illegal to do that dance, (laughs) yeah, if you're me. So I go down, I'm wearing the MAGA hat. And she said, we're going to get shot. At best, we're going to get yelled at. And she was right. We did get yelled at. There was a little box that you could put it in, and then there were people waiting in line to cast their early ballots. And I did get yelled at by a guy who was voting for Donald Trump, and he said, hey, man, MAGA, you know, love DIY, all that. And then I got yelled at by another guy, also voting for Donald Trump, saying, don't put your ballot in that box. you got to do it in here. It's safer. This, to me, would have been unthinkable. I voted in California many times. I have, I've always worn silly Republican shorts or a MAGA hat or something like that. Never have I seen that kind of enthusiasm. A lot of people who, who haven't lived out here don't realize there have been rallies in Beverly Hills. This Hill is the greatest week. compliment that I've ever received because un, unbeknownst I, I to Michael, <laughs> yeah. what he is essentially saying is that I am so damn good at my job that some poor schmuck actually recognized Well, I know. That's in, that was over in public. Yeah. He's like, I've gone to polling places my entire life. No one's ever no recognized one's... me. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. No, this is very true. He said, give Jeremy my regards. I said, absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't get I mean, these were fired up Trump voters. Yeah. At a liberal precinct in L.A., yeah. There have been rallies in Beverly Hills going on. I'm not saying Trump's going to win California. No, I'm not making any predictions. I'm certainly not making that one. You're right. This is a big change. This is a, a big, a big change. change. And if the Republicans were not so brain dead, which they are, we're the stupid party, they're the evil party. You know, if they were not such a stupid party, they would catch on to this, that this is an important thing. Jeb exclamation mark was never going to get that happening. No. John McCain was never going to get that happening. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney never going to happen. This is something that has really ignited people and it has hooked the Republican Party into a new strain of enthusiasm that won't turn California this time, but could turn California eventually. And when you see those crowds coming out, I know they don't mean anything in terms of the polls, the ultimate uh, uh, votes. But when you see those crowds turning out, that does tell you that there are people out there desperate for the kind of uh, talk that they're hearing from Donald Trump. And, you know, I think we, we have all, I think, been very honest about Trump's character flaws. You know, we, we've talked about this. Have we? Have we all? <laughs> well, I meant the three of us. I yeah, no, I, no, I said one time he only got 30,000 at the rally. He didn't get 40. But, yeah. but we should talk for just a moment, if we might, about his character virtues, one of which is the fact that while Joe Biden was hiding in his basement with a mask, yep. he was out there walking around, got COVID three days later, 
is campaigning more in a single day than Biden is in a month. Well, Biden's falling apart. I mean, it, it, yeah, Biden's footage is from him today. Yeah. I mean, it is very obvious. It is his granddaughters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he's he's flubbing nearly everything. Right. I mean, it is very difficult to look at him and believe that this guy is going to be president in four years. But, if he's but even it's, even beyond that, it's just when you remember when when uh, Trump got the disease and he came back and he said, don't let this dominate your life. And the media is one said, no, no, be afraid. Be very dominant. So I, I actually want to talk about this is a virtue that represents the Americans. I want to talk about the president and covid. I want to talk about the president and the energy that he's really shown here in the last 30 days of this election. Uh, but before we do that, we actually have some news uh, breaking that I want uh, to, to bring into the conversation. And before I can even do that, I have to make us a little money, honey, by talking about our friends over at Birch Gold. If 2020 has taught us anything, well, if 2020 has taught us anything, <laughs> it's run. It's be afraid, be very afraid. If it's taught you two things, it's that you have to hedge your investments. You have to be prepared for the worst. Today is one of the most contentious presidential elections in our nation's history. What if Biden wins? What if the outcome is uncertain for weeks? Wall Street could go haywire. That's what happens. Markets have un- markets hate uncertainty, and uncertainty could very well be what we're facing. So what are you doing now to shore up your investments and safeguard your future against the unknown? What are you going to do before the markets react to the coming uncertainty? You don't want to be the one person who sits around waiting until the stocks crash and until gold skyrockets. That's occasionally Drew. Drew will say things <laughs> to me like, uh, we'll be going, uh, it's 2008, and Drew calls me up. And, you know, there's rivers of blood running through the streets. There's sulfur falling from the sky. And Drew's like, I just bought five rental properties. I'm like, Drew, no, you completely misread. Don't do it. Don't be like Drew. Do what I do and diversify into gold with Birch Gold. Wouldn't it be nice to have a layer of security, whichever way the wind blows? Text Ben to 474747. One of the great people at Birch Gold will walk you through your conversion of your eligible IRA or 401k into precious metals. Benjamin. Indeed. Birch Gold, they're the people that I trust when it comes to diversification. And if you are watching the absolute and utter chaos that has dominated both the political and the economic landscape over the last year, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, maybe I should take some of my money and put it in a thing that has always been worth more than zero dollars. Well, if you're thinking that, then you might want to talk to our friends over at Birch Gold. Text Ben to 474747 and open a precious metals IRA today. Again, text Ben to 474747. Ask all your questions, get all of them answered. And then when you feel comfortable, diversify into precious metals with our friends over at Birch Gold. So I promised you breaking news and breaking news you shall have. Uh, rather than me tell it to you, because I don't know nothing about it, we're going to go to Cassie Dillon in the war room. Cassie, what's going on out there? So I've been keeping an eye on Twitter, and a lot of things are going on right now. D.C. boarded up before the elections, and so did many other cities. Uh, there's actually a wall outside the White House, but right now in D.C. there is violence taking place. There are many videos going around on social media. There's one of a man with a metal bat outside the White House, hmm. and then there's one of actually people getting arrested. The police are tossing them on the ground, and apparently the violence started after the police tried to disperse a crowd to move a car that was parked illegally, but violence is already taking place, and polls have not even closed yet. So, uh, you know, that's not really telling for the rest of the night. But these videos keep coming out, and it's very troubling. You can take a look here. People on the ground, police threw them on the ground. And, Unbelievable. You know, people are coming with weapons, and they're ready to cause some problems, it seems like. Wow. Have we seen anything like this uh, in living memory during a presidential election? I mean, Well, it was during Inauguration Day for Trump, right? People went nuts, mm-hmm. and there was a bit of rioting in D.C. But, but on Election Day, the, the prep that you're seeing on, ongoing for violence, that people are looking for violence, like, the, the fact is, if Joe Biden wins tonight, I think there will still be violence. I think yeah. that if Biden wins, yeah. I think that there's going to be celebratory looting. I mean, when the 
yeah. out here in L.A. when the Lakers won the championship, there was celebratory looting. I mean, so it, it, there's always a group of people who are going to take advantage of any situation to do that. But everybody understands that if Trump wins, the violence is going to be extraordinary in a lot of blue cities. Nobody's boarding up because they're afraid of MAGA-hatted thugs coming down the street and wailing on their business front. Anybody who tells you differently is just lying to you. Well, I am going to go and get myself a Gucci purse tonight. But <laughs> people always mention this. Of course you say, are, Michael. I, I need it. Come on. I'm not going to be the only one with that one. People have said for the past four years, Donald Trump makes me so ashamed. You hear this mostly from the left, but even some Republicans say, makes me ashamed to be an American. Trump doesn't make me ashamed. I, he's the best president of my lifetime. You know what does make me ashamed to be an American, though? Those scenes, because the world's greatest democracy now looks like a third world banana republic with stores boarding up and people already engaging in violence because of an election. Antonin Scalia famously said in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, that it was so humiliating as a country that the greatest democracy in the world couldn't conduct its own election. How much more humiliating that before the results have come in, we are boarding up shop because of political violence in the street, like we're like you know, we're some two-bit dictators. I of this, but I, I can't help myself that four years ago when Trump won, and you were kind of saying, oh, this is a bad election. And I said, well, at least we have the peaceful transfer of power. And you scoffed at me. You said, <laughs> you said of course we have the peaceful transfer. That's nothing to celebrate. You know, <laughs> we should value these things while we got them, because they disappear like that. Well, it is another element of, you know, what we're talking about when we talk about replacing the media. Yeah. The fact that there have been polls showing a plurality of Americans believe that the violence in America's cities are being caused by militias and right-wing groups. Is that true? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, that is because of the ongoing propaganda effort by the Democratic Party and the media, which are arms of one another. I mean, they, yeah. they are the same. Uh, the, to to proclaim that violence in America is chiefly caused by the right-wing. The same people who call the Tea Party terrorists won't force Joe Biden to even face up to saying anything bad about Antifa. And then they claim that the violence in the streets has nothing to do with them. I'm sorry, but the, the, a lot of what we're talking about tonight, if there, if Trump wins and there is violence, a lot of what we're talking about tonight has been actively fostered by a media that has been proclaiming the only way that Donald Trump loses, the only way Donald Trump wins is through voter suppression. And it's right? They're actively saying this day after day. They are arguing yeah. that all of these lawsuits being filed all over the country by Republicans about you know, what ought to be illegally counted ballot and what ought not to be illegally counted ballot, that that is an act of voter suppression. You saw Ayanna Presley suggest that long lines for a thing are voter suppression. Unless it's for bread, like Bernie Sanders loves bread lines. But if it's a line to vote, then, then it's very bad. Bread lines are good because at the end you get bread. Lines to vote are bad because at the end you vote. But that also, that's voter suppression. So the, the, the Democratic claims of voter suppression have been so much more loud and boisterous than even the Republican claims of, of voter fraud. And I'm not a big fan of the voter fraud claims because I just don't think that there's systemic evidence of hundreds of thousands of votes being counted uh, fraudulently. I think that it, it has cropped up its head in particular congressional districts or in very, very, very tight races, uh, which is something to worry about. But when you claim widespread voter suppression, which has been the Democratic lie for the last several years, right? De Stacey Abrams lost by 50,000 votes. But if it hadn't been for voter suppression in a record turnout year, then yeah. Stacey Abrams definitely would have won. If there's violence in the streets because of that, when you have the AG of Pennsylvania literally saying there is no way for Donald Trump to win this state unless active voter suppression takes place, what do you think the predictable result of that is going to be if Donald Trump wins the election? And, and it, it is sad because it's not, I don't think it is the typical Democrat, the typical Democrat voter. It is a small portion of the Democrat population egged on 
by these massive corporations, these massive wealthy uh, corporations, news industry, social media, uh, Amazon, you know, Amazon sending me Ibram X. Kendi's book, you know, advertising his book. You know, if you like the poetry of John Keats, you'll like Ibram X. Kendi. (laughs) (laughs) That's the kind of thing. And. And the thing is, it never, it never seems to occur, occur to our stalwart communists on the left, to, to AOC or anybody in the squad. How come if we're socialists, all these rich people are supporting us? Mm-hmm. It never seems to, like, the little light bulb never goes on. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. I think that, I think that when you're talking about that, when you talk about, uh, you know, it never occurs to the socialists that the corporations are yeah. supporting them, that I think it's the corporations who are the ones who are being short-sighted. I think the they socialists do. know full well that the corporations are supporting them, yeah. and they're willing to ride that train as far as it goes until they turn around and execute everybody. Right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's all fun and games until Robespierre takes over. Uh, and, and I think that they understand that if they can get the, cor- the backing of the corporate world, if they can cudgel them and, ba- and back them into a corner, and the corporate world goes along with them, this is the thing that's the scariest to me. I mean, again, I mentioned it earlier, but the, the, the takeover of the corporate America by anti-racist Ibram X. Kendi philosophy and the takeover of the media by the same philosophy – that that is scary as all hell. Norm Perlstein, who's leaving the L.A. Times, he's the editor, and he's going to be leaving after the election. Whole article from Ben Smith: How many members of the media are like, if Trump le- if Trump loses, our job here is done because democracy dies in darkness and other such bullshit. It, it, the the basic notion that Norm Perlstein said, he said, once Trump is out of office, the media are going to change their mission. They have to be more diverse and more anti-racist. So openly acknowledging a political agenda. Mm-hmm. They quoted Wesley Lowry, who used to be a reporter for the Washington Post, and who was fired because he was overtly political in his coverage of Ferguson, Missouri, and who now says that all reporters should be overtly political in their coverage. And he says, yeah, all of the media corporations came around to us. I mean, that, that's what's scaring the living heck and, out of and it. And it's scary because the ordinary person who has three kids and a job and doesn't... They're not doesn't, paying attention. Yeah, well, not only are they not paying attention, but even if they disagree, what do they do? How do what do right. you do when you have to go into HR and take the, the anti-racist class and say, you know, and, and basically mouth all this nonsense, all this racist nonsense... And you risk losing your job if you don't do it. That is that is a way of taking over people's this minds. Is, that's because freedom of speech, yes, is a legal construct in the country. That because of the First Amendment, uh, it's the case that the government can't infringe upon your freedom right. of speech or freedom of expression. But freedom of speech has also always been a mentality in the country. We've basically been a country of people who weren't going to be told what they could think, weren't going to be told what they could say. The problem is if you lose the mentality and all you're left with at the end of the day is the legal protection, you've already lost because the legal protection won't hold in a society where people don't grant the actual moral premise. This is where people like David French, with whom I profoundly disagree about this election, but where he isn't altogether wrong when he says, for example, that character is destiny. I think that David French and John Piper, Mitt Romney, these sort of decent men who can't let go of their sensibilities being so shattered by Donald Trump, they try to make this argument that the character of a leader is the destiny of a country. Uh, at its most extreme, of course, that's true. But I don't think that that's actually true day to day. I think almost all national leaders have always been of dubious moral character because power corrupts, wealth corrupts, fame corrupts. And this is why even a leader after God's own heart, like David, still doesn't get to build the temple, right? Because it's why Moses can't inherit the, the land of promise, because being the leader actually comes with some consequence. Ne- nevertheless, it is true that the character of a people this is, right. is the yeah. destiny mm-hmm. sure, of a nation. Sure. Sure. And so yeah. if the character of our people is no longer a character of freedom, then the destiny of our nation is but, not you know, freedom. But this is also, if, if I can just finish the, yeah. the, this thought, this is also why I've been so hard on the social media and don't believe that they, there's any argument where you say, well, they're private businesses. Because you have to start with the idea that our right to free speech comes from God. The First Amendment protects us from the government 
interfering with that God-given right, but the government has to protect us from social media or anybody else interfering with it. The right is absolute. It is the right. The right to free speech comes from God, and if we don't believe in it, we let it go. And that's uh, right. Yeah. You know, I remember in, in 2008 when Ron Paul was running for president, people would make fun of him because every other word he would say, the Constitution, you know, and he'd always go back to that. And there were memes going around the Internet where they'd say, oh, you're going to talk about my Constitution again and more about the Constitution. And, and the, the joke of that is not that we don't love the Constitution. The joke of that is that if the people lose their un, their knowledge of and respect for our constitutional order, that piece of paper isn't going to help us. It has to be, our founding fathers talked about this so much. Abraham Lincoln especially talked about this. Where he said we have to revere our founding documents, our founding institutions, the, the men who gave us our country. When you lose that because now the legacy media are constantly pushing this, they actually rewrote the curriculum. It's called the 1619 Project. These fake educators, these pseudo-scholars are pushing this kind of nonsense. Big tech is pushing this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you look up and you realize you don't have a country. And while we, we may all, we, we may quit with Donald Trump on various policies. I do too, and I really like the guy, but I still quibble with some of the policies. But you've got this image of Trump hugging the American flag, and you've got the other side basically saying the country's rotten to the core. That That's a big distinction, and I'll, I will defend the First Amendment every single day of the week. We have to believe it. We have to embody it. We have to enact it every day. Another virtue is his visceral love of country. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Donald Trump does love his country, and, and that is... I don't know that loving your country is virtuous per se. Loving your country when your country is lovable is certainly virtuous. And hating your country when your country is lovable is anti-virtue, That's right? True. To hate a country as good as America is a failure of character. And to love a country as good as America is a requi- is a virtuous requirement. Yeah, and I would also say it's, it's unnatural. Not to, you know, it's like loving your country is like loving your mother. She it might, is. You might have to have a problem with her, but she's your mom. It's it's an extension of filial piety. Yeah. Love of country is an extension yeah. of your mother. And, and of course, and of course, your country can go so far, just like your mom, your country can go so far <laughs> off the book. you got to toss her over the out. The well, we're not going to get into those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is true, I think, that when you, you look at, you know, how attitudinally everybody approaches election day. Uh, what I'm seeing from the right is, you know, a lot of nervousness about what's going to happen in the aftermath of the election. And what I'm seeing from the left is sheer panic mm. at the very idea that Donald Trump would be reelected. So, you know, if, if Joe Biden wins, I'm going to be very concerned about the state of the country. And then I'm going to get to work tomorrow and I'm going to keep fighting for the values that we're all fighting for. What you're getting from Democrats is sheer full on panic in the same crazy hair on fire way that they've been sheer full-on panicked since 2016. I mean, let me read you this tweet from the estimable Sally Cohn. She just tweeted out, <laughs> quote, Four years ago, I used my dog's annex the night of the election. Now I have my own. Happy 2020. Wow, wow. Uh, that's that's somebody who's, who's definitely healthy and we should probably put in terms of poli- in, in charge of policy. I was talking with, with Drew about this before the show. One of the things that I think is so indicative of the conflict that's happening right now in the country is that the left believes that institutions are only there to be used. They're either obstacles to utopia or they are tools in pursuit of utopia. The right tends to believe that institutions are built in order to protect certain values. And so we respect the Constitution because we believe that the Constitution is there to protect the values of the Declaration of Independence. The left believes that the Constitution is there in order to do all the things that it wants to do. And if the Constitution doesn't do it, you just get rid of the Constitution. And they believe this about the university system. They believe this about the educational system. They believe this about pretty much all of the, about the family, the nuclear family, if it doesn't achieve what they want it to achieve, then all of those things are dispensable. Yeah. What isn't dispensable, though, is your home. And that's why you need Ring. Wow. I'm getting better at this. Yeah, oh, yeah. Think about where, I, just personal improvement, <laughs> think about where I was in January. 
You, what could make you feel better than being able to communicate with people when they come to your door without actually opening the door? In the olden days, you had that little peephole and you're able to look through it. You could barely see who was out there. I was like looking through a funhouse mirror. Now you can actually see in glorious HD who is at your front door from anywhere in the world over the internet because of Ring. There's a thousand reasons why protecting your home matters to you. Ring has security products for every corner of your home, inside and out. Best of all, you can see it all in one simple app. With Ring, you can keep an eye on your home no matter where you are, right from your phone. If someone stops by or something's going on, if someone delivers a package, Ring lets you know. It's peace of mind anytime knowing that your home is protected, especially in days like today. Uh, in L.A., we have so much mail fraud happening right now. People steal packages. They steal things right out of your mailbox. They've been doing it since COVID. People are getting so much uh, material delivered to their home. And it's easy pickings for a lot of people who are up to no good. Whatever you call home, Ring has everything you need to protect it. See and speak to whoever is at your door from anywhere with video doorbells. Keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cams. Protect your whole home with a Ring Alarm, a powerful, affordable, whole home security system you can easily install yourself. Indeed. So, here's the thing. I have three kids under the age of seven. And if you have small children, one of the things you know is that small children are tiny suicide machines. All they do all day long is try to kill themselves by sticking their fingers into light sockets and running into a pool. Well, this is what, there's only one of you, but I have three children, so I can't actually clone myself as much as the world needs it and actually just follow all my children around. Instead, I use Ring to keep track of my children. You can use Ring to keep track of your home, keep track of your security. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Bennett comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. It is the perfect way to start your Ring experience. Plus, there's free two-day shipping. Go to ring.com slash Ben. That is indeed ring.com slash Ben. He's so much better than I am at this. The idea of a cloned Ben Shapiro, just, I lost the power. <laughs> <laughs> I Imagine. know. It is that incredible, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. By the way, yeah. in CNN, okay, so they're having a healthy one over at CNN. Brian Stelter, who oh. is a very reliable source. He yes. Knows, he's very, very reliable. That's why they call him. very reliable. reliable uh, his sources. Sources. Yeah. And, and his sources are reliable. His sources are reliable, and he's very reliable himself in his sources. So he just tweeted out in Slack, motivational messages are bouncing back and forth. Here we go. Good luck, everyone. Don't forget to eat. Stay hydrated. And more ominously, stay safe. There's nothing left to say except let's count the votes. Brian, prayers, man. Brian Brian Stelter saying stay hydrated to me is uniquely comedic. <laughs> uniquely hilarious. You need to stay hydrated. I'm glad, though. He, it's better than his... Like, Leslie Nielsen's going to pop into the cockpit and just go, we're all counting on you. That's when I developed my drinking problem. Uh, I'll, t- I'll take it's that all erotic, It's all erotic. Between, between Matt's boot declaring himself a hero last night. Oh, that was Twitter. wonderful. Did that what did he say? Oh, I missed it. it. Oh, it was pretty great. Uh, he, he tweeted out last night about how he and the never Trumpers, like the true never Trumpers, the people who now want you to vote for Democrats, you know, the real Republicans, the people who love conservatism so much, that you should not just vote against Donald Trump. You should actually vote actively in favor of Susan Collins, Susan Collins' opponent in Maine, right? That, that, that's what you need to do. So he tweeted out this piece that he'd written for the Washington Post all about what an incredible hero he is. And I, I want to get the wording right, so I'm going to dig for it instead of stalling for time. So you guys talk for a second while I find Max. Rather than that, I want to take a question from one of our dailywire.com uh, subscribers. They're the people who make it possible for us to bring you this show free tonight. We're making this free at dailywire.com, at YouTube, at Facebook for everyone because we know, look, this is a night when you want a lot of information, you want some insight. Uh, so we want to be here for you. But it's because of our dailywire.com members that we're able to do that. Alicia, what are you hearing uh, from our people? 
I'm here, and I will um, make sure that I don't throw anybody under the bus. Michael Knowles is not that interesting in Slack. He just talks about where he gets his cigars and what where we're drinking later tonight, which, you know, depending on what happens, depends on how heavily Michael will be drinking. But our first question from an amazing Daily Wire member goes to the God King himself, Jeremy Boring. He wants to know, do you guys think the media is going to drop the COVID stuff after this election or double mm. on down? So I think that we'll see a few things happen. I, I looked at a list this week of different states whose mask and COVID restriction policies expire within 10 days of the election. And it is remarkable. The mask mandate for New York ends on the 3rd and on the 5th. Now, some of them are realizing that they were a little too on the nose uh, with how they situated these things, and they're racing to extend them now. But that's just covering their own petards. They knew what they were doing when they made these mask mandates three months ago expire on 11-3 or 11-5 or 11-6. What magic thing was supposed to happen by 11-3 or 11-5 or 11-6? We all know what it is. It's the election. Does that mean that the that COVID is exclusively political, that people don't have a legitimate health concern? I don't think so. But it does mean that their primary concern, the primary concern of Democrat governors, the primary concern of Democrat mayors has been to instill fear and to be able to blame Donald Trump for all the deaths that happened with COVID. Are they about to let up on all of it? I don't think so. I think that now they've actually created a problem that they can't solve uh, by, for example, letting these businesses be locked down for seven, eight, nine months. Now it's going to be very hard for businesses to make people go back to work. When they try to reopen, their employees are rightly going to say, well, why am I safe now when I wasn't safe four months ago? What's happened? There's no vaccine. In fact, if anything, cases are ticking up as we enter into uh, the flu season, as we enter into the part of the year when uh, viral infections are the most likely to happen, winter, when it's cold, when it's damp. Uh, I think that they've created a lot of challenges for themselves where now I wouldn't be surprised if COVID is essentially with us as a political issue until June. Now, I know that Ben has an opinion about this. I've heard him talk about it. He may have even spoken about it on his show today, uh, which I do think is an important additional insight, which is how they, they, I think they've gamed the system and now they're trapped a little bit. But Ben actually thinks that there's a way they can extricate themselves by gaming what happens next, which is uh, the decline that will naturally happen at the end of the viral season. Ben, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, this is uh, this is my only prediction of the night I am fully confident of. And I'm really, really confident of this prediction. So we know the numbers are going to go up in November. We know the numbers are going to go up in December. And according to basically every law of epidemiology, apparently they're going to start declining in January, February, right? Uh, and so, because that's what happens. It goes up and then it comes down again. Uh, and then once it's down, one of the things people are not really paying attention to is the fact that the states where it got hit hard first time are not really getting hit hard this time. Florida's not getting hit hard. Georgia's not getting hit hard. New York, New Jersey not getting hit hard right now. There really yeah. is not a second wave. There's really just a big first wave. Mm. It really is just a big first it's a big wave. country. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's what you're seeing in Europe too, right? It's not a second wave in Germany or France. It's actually kind of a big first wave because the harder you locked down at the beginning, the, the worse the wave is the second time. So, what that means is that you're going to see this thing skyrocket and continue to skyrocket, not in terms of death, but in terms of cases. And by the way, if you follow this stuff, pay attention to deaths and hospitalizations. Don't pay attention to cases. Cases are an incredibly useless statistic, uh, particularly among children. You keep seeing headlines. Hundreds of thousands of cases have been diagnosed among kids. 121 children have died in the United States of COVID-19 out of several hundred thousand infections. The death rates on this thing are way lower than flu for kids. Anyway, here's what's going to happen. January 20th, Inauguration Day, assume Biden wins. For the sake of argument, uh, what's then going to happen is Biden will come in and he will declare a mask mandate, even though he doesn't have the constitutional power to do so, or he'll try to bully states into doing it with a, a variety of incentive programs. There will be a media celebration of this as the first time that we as a country have ever taken COVID seriously. Then the numbers, which will already be declining, 
by January 20th will continue to decline. And then they will declare that the mask mandate is the reason for the decline. They will attribute the decline to the action of Joe Biden, even though the two have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with one another, because every country in Europe basically has a mask mandate and has seen a massive spike. Nonetheless, Italy, France, Germany, and all the rest. How do I know they're going to do this? Because they did the exact same thing with Andrew Cuomo. The thing peaked, and then Andrew Cuomo declared a mask mandate, and then they declared it was Andrew Cuomo's stellar and intrepid leadership that led to the decline in New York. So I've been been promising you guys uh, so far tonight that we are going to have all kinds of surprises. It's the biggest show that we've ever mounted here at The Daily Wire. And the first one is upon us. The polls close in Florida in seven minutes. We're going to start getting our first important information about the future of the country. And here to walk us through what that might look like is the governor of Florida himself, a man who, while only one year uh, older than me, is far more successful and slightly less handsome. Governor Ron DeSantis, thank you for joining us. Thank Good to be here. And just... uh for the record, uh, polls in the Eastern time zone Correct. close at 7. Right. The panhandle is 7 Central, so they will continue to go until 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, yeah. Remember back in 2000, uh, all the networks forgot about that, and they made a big mistake by calling Florida for Al Gore before the panhandle had even closed. Yep. So keep voting in the panhandle yeah. the message there. And if you're in line, your vote will be taken, so stay in line if you're in the panhandle stay and you're waiting in line. to vote. Also, Governor DeSantis. Welcome me to your state. So I'm, I'm now a resident of your fantastic <laughs> state. And I will say, your state is far superior to the state in which I currently sit. It is more beautiful. It has better governance. It has better women because my wife is there right now. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty spectacular place. I have to say, uh, it, is, it is nice to live in a state where they have decided not to lock down every single thing in the state. I went to the gym. I tried to go to the gym this morning in L.A., and the hotel was completely empty. Like, there's no one in the entire hotel, and they had locked the gym, thanks to Governor Gavin Newsom. That is not what's happening in Florida. Uh, so should we start by talking about election politics with Governor DeSantis, or should we start with uh, COVID stuff? Because he is the best governor in America. Yeah, no, I think that, well, one, just in terms of the election, have you registered to vote in Florida? And did I you already cash did. Vote in I, Florida? Of, you bet your ass I did. I, I, <laughs> okay. the first time in my entire life well, it's I've interesting been, because, you know, what we're seeing, um, and I think one of the things for you guys to just remind your viewers of, uh, when Florida reports results, the first dump of votes will be the absentee mail votes and the early votes. And the Democrats had a huge migration away from in-person voting mm. towards the mail. So we usually Republicans would usually beat Democrats and vote by mail. They would usually beat Republicans in in-person early voting. That flipped this year. They had a huge advantage over the mail. Republicans actually did very well in early voting. We still had a deficit going into Election Day. It was about 108,000 more Democrat ballots than Republican ballots had been cast. Um, but now what we've seen so far on Election Day, word about – so we, we array, Republicans erased that advantage by about 930 in the morning. Wow. Uh, and now there's been 220,000 more Republican ballots cast than Democrat ballots. Obviously, with the panhandle still voting, we think that that will increase even more. And just to compare that – in 2016, when Donald Trump won Florida, uh, he had about a 65,000 ballot advantage R over D. Um, and so he's going to be in a much better position. And as we, you know, when you look Florida historically, uh, you know, absent strange circumstances, you typically have the Republican nominee get 90 plus percent of Republicans. And the Democrat typically gets a point or two less in terms of holding the Democrats. Part of that is because we have ancestral Democrats who vote Republican in federal races still. Um, so looking at him going into this, you know, I got to think he's in a stronger position. If you look at the turnout in Miami-Dade County, he president lost by 30 points in 2016. That's a big county. Uh, I would say I told them uh, if you could just cut it to 20, 
that's like 50, 60,000 vote swing. Yeah. That could win you the state. I, I, what I'm hearing is it's going to be less than 20 point margin. He has a mm-hmm. chance to get it in the 10 to 12 point margin. And that may be best case. But the turnout has been really, really good for Republicans. Republicans are turning out down there. And, um, you know, the way these races in Florida go is, you know, Democrats have those three really strong counties in southern Florida mm-hmm. and smart candidates on the Republican side don't ignore them. You go down there and you try to reduce the margin. And I think the president's done that in Miami-Dade County. And I think he's going to win the state. And I think that'll be a big reason why. Well, obviously, he does need to win the state of Florida in order to retain the presidency. If, if it goes the other way, it'll be an early night. So you're talking about the timing and how fast the votes are tabulated. So if we're watching tonight, what time do you think the votes are, are going to be all into the point where you're going to start seeing people call the state? So what will happen is uh, once the polls close, you'll get the initial dump of the early and absentee ballots. And then you'll start to get the precincts reporting with Election Day votes. So that's just the process that will take, you know, a couple hours. So I think uh, best case scenario, you're looking at nine between nine and ten. But I definitely think we're going to be able to, to make the call no later than that 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock hour. It just depends on it. Look, I think things are looking favorable for the president. Does he win a typical Florida victory? You know, 80,000 votes or with this ballot advantage and, and uh, strength that he'll have today with in-person voting, you know, does he does he win by 250,000? And um, I think both are possible. Obviously, if it's the latter, we're going to be able to determine that, um, you know, closer to 9 p.m. than 11 p.m. Governor, do Floridians count Donald Trump as one of their own? Obviously, he he lives in the state a great deal of the time. Mar-a-Lago, such a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful location there in Palm Beach. H- how do Floridians perceive Donald Trump? I think that they do see a connection with Florida. And uh, obviously you do have Mar-a-Lago. He goes down here in the winter and has been doing that for a long time. He's also been very smart in tending to Florida issues. Now, part of it's because I call him and bug him to do certain <laughs> things. But, I mean, we, we have certain issues here, like, you know, our, our water resources. We're a big mm. fishing, boating state, our Everglades restoration, <laughs> some of the military bases that um, – that he's helped save. One of them was in the Panhandle Pope Air Force Base. He's been very strong on space. We have a huge space renaissance on the space coast of Florida right now, Cape Canaveral area. So I think he's done a good job of tending to Florida issues. He's also been good on uh, supporting democracy in Latin America, which is very important to a lot of our residents in southern Florida. So I think that, yes, they count him, but I think what he's done is he's really done things that resonate with Floridians in a way that, um, you know, like a Biden just wouldn't do without having that uh, that connection. But I would also say I'm a native Floridian. Yeah, I'm proud of it. But at the same time, our state's always in flux. I mean, you always yeah. have new people coming. It's just not the same. Uh, being a lifelong Floridian doesn't get you as much as, say, if you were a lifelong, you know, a resident of, of some of the other states that have a little bit more stable populations. Yeah. Well, Ben alluded to this at the beginning. You've been the best governor in the country in dealing with the COVID crisis. Uh, can you tell us just briefly a little bit about your philosophy on how to handle COVID, why you've done, why you've been able to preserve liberty in your state in a way that many governors haven't been able to, uh, and when you're going to run for president and when we can vote for you? <laughs> so, well, so, you know, you know, March, there was a lot we were still learning. I mean, I thought it was pretty clear by mid-March 
that this had a disproportionate effect on elderly. Yes. So we focused a lot of our efforts on the nursing homes. Now, of course, you know, we were sending PPE. We were doing things like that. We didn't necessarily have all the testing supplies at that point. Um, we did the 15 days to slow the spread and kind of just followed the, the president's uh, coronavirus task force. But then what you started to see in April were these serological studies to show that for every documented case, there was 10 times as many actual infections which meant a couple things. One, it meant that the lethality of this was less than we thought. Um, and in fact, if you look under the age of 50, uh, the survival rate is 99.98% uh, per CDC rule, uh, uh, analysis. And, and then we all, but it also means that it's much more prevalent than we thought. You know, we thought in March there would, maybe there's a COVID case in this county or three cases. Let's find it. Let's isolate it. Turns out that this was something that a lot of the people that had had didn't develop significant symptoms. It was more prevalent in the community. So for me, you know, I thought at that point it made sense that uh, we needed to make sure we opened the state and move forward in that. We did it deliberately, but we were resolute in doing it. And, and I think what we've been able to see is the areas, look at what's happening in Europe. You know, you had a lot of harsh mandates, lockdowns. Over the summer, people were celebrating that, but really they just had a seasonal respite and now it's coming back. And so I think you're better off with an age-specific strategy, focusing on support for uh, our most vulnerable residents, uh, but having society function. So, for example, in Florida, all 67 counties, uh, we have school open for in-person, school districts, charter schools, private schools. In fact, of the 10 most populous school districts in the country, five are in Florida, all open. The other five? New York City, they have about 10% of the kids in person. Chicago, closed. Uh, Los Angeles, closed. Las Vegas, closed. Houston, I think, has just started getting kids back. And I think the, the, what you, what's been frustrating on this is, one, it's been very political because they wanted to use it against the president, um, but just the lack of fidelity to data and evidence. I mean, on schools, it was very clear by May that schools needed to open in the fall. Uh, you had studies done in Europe which were conclusive, and there was literally no countervailing evidence. And so we pushed forward with doing that in July, saying parents have a right to send their kids to school. If you don't want to do it, you want to do distance, fine, but we have to do it. Oh, my gosh, the, 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 the blow people were complaining, all this other stuff. Sure enough, we've gone into school, and the parents that opted for distance learning – a lot of them are itching to get the kid back in person. Very few parents that opted for in person are trying to get their kid into distance learning. But we knew that obviously the, the, the kids were not significant risk for this, certainly less than flu. But we also knew they weren't significant spread um, uh, for the vectors in the community. In fact, we have not had a single example of a student infecting a teacher. And I don't think very many states or countries have very many examples of that as well. So I just think that the data, uh, focusing on the data, understanding that just from a health perspective, one virus is not the sum total of everything involving health. I mean, when you start having a myopic focus on just coronavirus at all costs, you cause problems with mental health, you cause problems with other uh, ailments. I mean, we had people so scared in this country that they would literally be having heart attacks at home, but they wouldn't That's go right. into the emergency department because they thought they were going to get corona and die from that. Um, and that's just basically fear that was whipped up by the media irresponsibly. So we focused on 
you know, mental health, focus on helping people who are abusing drugs, focusing on getting people into the hospital. I mean, the, the, the thing about that started all this, remember, that the hospitals were somehow going to be overrun. There's not been any hospital system in the country. Even New York was not overrun. They did not use the ship. They did not use the Javits Center. And I can tell no. you at Florida's peak, we had about 9,600 COVID positive patients in Florida hospitals, but we have 65,000 licensed hospital beds. And so we never even came close to capacity. And, um, and the fact that that's the case, it really should inform uh, how you do this. And so I think we're in a situation now uh, where we have um, obviously businesses open, schools open, and, and really trusting people to, to make decisions about, you know, the environments that they're comfortable being right. in. But I think what we found is the more and more uh, we've returned to normal, I think the more and more people appreciate it. Well, Governor DeSantis, really appreciate your time and, frankly, look forward to getting out of this hellhole and getting back to your wonderful <laughs> state over the next couple of days and look forward to seeing you in person there. Absolutely. Take care. Governor Ron DeSantis from the great state of Florida, one of the states that will have the most impact on what happens as the night goes through. You heard him say, uh, importantly, that while the polls closed in the eastern time zone in Florida uh, five minutes ago, the polls do not close in the panhandle. Uh, until an hour from now. And if you're standing in line in Florida, you will still get in to vote. So if you're in line, stay in line. Don't forfeit your right to register uh, your choice uh, in this election. Uh, that's something I've actually been harping on a lot on Twitter. A lot of my friends will say, I voted for Donald Trump. Don't blame me. I voted for Donald Trump. And I'll say, oh, that, that's great. Well, when you voted for him, who'd you vote for for congressman? Well, I mean, I didn't actually vote for him. I mean, I support him. I mean, he's yeah. my guy. I got a bumper sticker on my pickup truck. I'm like, no, 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 no. To vote. Yeah. It comes from the Latin votum, which means get off your sorry ass and go register your choice on a ballot. Uh, as in, I like Donald Trump. I shall go and vote him for him. In Latin. That's how you say it. In Latin. That was good. That was good pronunciation. Him. So please, if you're in line in Florida, stay in line in Florida. If you're in line anywhere in the country when your polling place closes, stay where you are. Make sure that your vote is counted tonight. Can I just comment for just a minute on the governor, what the stuff he was saying, just just from a, a kind of sense, sensory point of view? Yes. I have been listening to the left talk about Donald Trump. Joe Biden said this. He is the virus. Right. And it's and I keep thinking, gosh, these people sound like children. Is that me? You know, I mean, am I, yeah. I, am I just hearing this kind of toddler yeah. logic where Donald Trump is the big man, so he must be spreading the disease? The sound of that guy was so adult and so rational, and oh, the yeah. words coming out of his mouth made so much sense that I thought, no, it's, it's, they actually are children. Yeah, but, well, they're more, than, more than even children, honestly, they have a cult-like religious fervor, fervor around Trump. It really is. Yes. It really is that they believe, and they've made this clear, that, that Trump is the devil. They really, it's, yeah. it's, it is that. It is yeah. that. Trump is this sort of cloud that follows Pigpen around in the Peanuts comic. <laughs> and if you get rid of Trump, then COVID magically goes away. That's why... Over the last 48 hours, 72 hours, Joe Biden's final pitch was, I'm not really kidding, that he was going to be your parent, the Pope, if you're like Michael, uh, or God. Right? It, was, it was those yeah. two things. He literally said that if he's elected, he will treat you like members of his family. And I thought, excellent, I can now pick up bags of cash in Ukraine and China. He also suggested that he was going to save our collective soul, which is, if I have to hear that crap from one more politician, that really? you're going to save my yeah. soul. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The 78-year-old geriatric, can't put a sentence together, lifelong corrupt bureaucrat who shifted every major position he ever held, including one where he used to be pro-life to pro-choice. That guy is going to save my soul. <laughs> and then yeah. his final pitch was that he was going to crush the virus. Right? I'm not going to crush the economy. I'm not going to 
crush it. I'm not going to crush your hopes. I'm going to crush the virus. Really? Are, like with your foot or what? Like how, how is that? I feel like Hillary Clinton with so a cloth. So like with small. The, yeah. Right. It's, it's so small. You get smacked. <laughs> the, the virus is gone. And I thought to myself, this is Captain Moonshot to kill cancer as though people aren't trying to kill cancer. Like the, the enormous religious faith that is invested yes. in the power of government by so many people on the left is sickening. It is wrong. It is counterproductive. And it is childish and cold. But you know really why, is. Then. I mean, you, I mean DeSantis is saying something perfectly obvious. You can't crush the virus. All you can do is deal with it and protect the most vulnerable. That used to be how we all dealt with medical problems, was it not? Yeah. yeah. But the, re- the reason why, of course, is that everybody's got to serve somebody. So you'll, you'll always hear the yeah. left talk about religious kooks. The left, which believes that babies aren't human and the, believes that men can be women and believes the world is going to end in 10 years. So you, you do have a natural religious longing and you put it on this guy. I mean, th- this has been going on for a very long time in this country. And uh, most, most recently, I guess, Barack Obama, who said that the earth would heal and the, the oceans would lower if you, if you elect him. Michelle said she was going to, he was going to take out our, our heart of stone and place with a heart of flesh, basically. That's right. That's it really right. did. She, yes. she said that Wasn't she... one of the Indiana Jones movies? I yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the statement that Biden made that I thought was most shocking in a campaign of shocking and mostly incomprehensible statements was when he came out and he said that if I had been president, 220,000 Americans would be alive. That, that no one would have died. That, the, that America, unlike every other country on earth, would have no deaths from the virus. And if you believe that, then Donald Trump really must be the virus. I wish that President Trump had asked Biden, hey, Joe, if you had been president, can you give me a number? Can you give me a specific That's number? That's right. Well, 100,000, 100. 000, 100 yeah. and, and, and unfortunately, we didn't get that hit in. Because you would have just gotten a crap. You would have gotten a crappy sound by few, not nearly as many as died under you. But that's not the answer, right? right? The answer is how yeah. many give me a number. people. So the early polls on the East Coast are starting to close. I want to go to our Daily Wire election oh. war room. Uh, where Alicia and John Bickley are going to give us a little bit of analysis about what we can expect next. Some of those states have already been called, unsurprisingly, of course, Vermont and Virginia going to Biden-Harris. Once again, that's unsurprising. And the polls just closed in Florida. And here for a breakdown of what we need to be looking for in Florida is the Daily Wire's own Ian Howarth. Ian, what are we looking at? What's the lay of the land in Florida, 2016 mm-hmm. versus 2020, laid out there for us? So people, when they think about Florida, they think of a few things. They think of always a closely run race. So 2000. Pain chats. Yep. It took a month of legal wrangling to hold, sort that mess out. 2012, they were the only state to actually decide between, by under 1% between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Wow. So it's always close. People think about uh, Florida as like MAGA country. Mm-hmm. But Trump only won by 1.6% in 2016. So we can assume it's going to be very close. It's really also, as I uh, spoke with Cabot earlier, it's one of the crucial states that Trump just simply has to win if he wants to have a hope. So what parts of the state should we be paying attention mm-hmm. to? Is it those metropolitan areas? Is it the panhandle? What are you looking at? So I think we should keep an eye on like the panhandle, the north of the state, because he has to have big turnout there. But that's almost assumed. I think given the parades, we see those boat parades. I went in a boat parade. Really fun. <laughs> uh, so we need to then be focusing on the bluer areas towards Miami-Dade, Broward County. Those are counties where Hillary Clinton won by almost 300,000 votes in each county. Mm-hmm. She's still lost. So Democrats will be hoping for a huge vote to turn out there. It's actually been kind of interesting in terms of turnout. Um, early polls suggested that uh, the Republicans were actually having better turnout proportionally compared to Democrats. But 
other polls are coming in and saying that Democrats are actually outpacing Republicans as the day went on. So it's really hard to tell. And then also in 2016, Donald Trump was able to outperform mm-hmm. even the polls of what they thought he might get in the Cuban-American yes. community. Uh, could that help him make up some of those you know, pretty liberal places because Cuban-Americans tend to reside in that Palm Beach, mm-hmm. Dade County, Miami area? Yeah, I think that'll be a huge community that he'll be, he'll be certainly looking at quite closely. In 2016, he got between 50 and 54% of the Cuban-American vote. This year, some polls suggest it's actually going to be near 60%. Oh, wow. If that's true, that's going to be a huge deal for Trump. If it's not true, then he's going to really have to pull some votes out of somewhere. Okay, so we will be continuing to bring all of y'all the information as people are calling states Mm -hmm. and polls are closing everywhere. A lot of people are paying attention to the trend of Florida, though, because if President Trump and Mike Pence can't pull it out in Florida, you know, their pathway to victory just continues to get smaller and smaller. So when we have more updates, we'll be bringing those to all of y'all. Thank you, Ian, and thank you, Elisha. So I've been telling you guys all night that we were going to have some big announcements tonight, and they're all focused on the exact same issue, which is that we have to replace the media. You have this establishment media in this country in in connection, in conjunction with social media in this country, deciding what kind of stories you get to hear and what kind of stories you don't, what kind of expression you get to have and what kind of expression you don't. And I don't think we've done enough to communicate the scope of the problem. The New York Times is essential. Even for us, the New York Times is essential. The New York Times has 4,500 employees. They have 1,600 active journalists. They have a budget of $1.2 billion a year. They do over $100 million of profit every year. You want to know why conservatives aren't great at investigative journalism. You want to know why conservatives uh, are at such a disadvantage when it comes to subjecting the left to the kind of scrutiny that the left subjects us to. That's because the New York Times is only one piece of the establishment media juggernaut. There is nothing like that that exists on the right. Now, you might say, right, but there, you're saying there's nothing like it on the right. There's nothing like it on the left either. The New York Times is mainstream. They're in the middle. They are not in the middle. There's more diversity of opinion at the Daily Wire about Donald Trump than there is in the entire 4,500-person staff of the New York Times, where there is no diversity of opinion about Donald Trump. Name one single prominent pro-Trump Republican conservative voice at the New York Times. 4,500 employees. I'm not asking for 1%. I'm asking for a single person. You cannot do it. It does not exist. That's how badly they have us outmaneuvered. The way that we're going to deal with that is to replace them. End your subscription to the New York Times. End your subscription to the Washington Post. End your uh, cut your cable, cut the cord. You know that some of the money of your cable bill goes to CNN, whether you watch CNN or not. Some of the money you pay for cable goes to MSNBC, whether you watch MSNBC or not because of carriage fees. You are funding the left as they try to take your freedoms away from you. The only way we're going to stop that is to replace them. And to replace them, we on our side of the ideological divide have to up our game. Part of that means we have to get out and lead, and part of it means we need you to follow. We need your support. We need your help. So Daily Wire is going to start taking the lead in this fight in ways that we have not before. We have a ton of huge announcements coming for you tonight. And the first one is going to come courtesy of our of our uh, guest, Candace Owens. Candace is the founder of the Blexit Foundation. Candace is the host of the Candace Owens Show for PragerU. She's one of the most important, not only political, but I would say cultural voices in the country today. She's uh, beaming in from Washington, D.C., because I'm just going to be honest with you, we can't afford to get Candace to L.A. because she moves all over the world 
all over the time, all the time, she's busy doing the work of not just commenting on culture, but creating culture and changing culture. She's here with us tonight. We couldn't be more thrilled to have her. Candace, are you with us? I am with you. Hey, there's All Candace. right. How's it going? <laughs> Hello. Can you? <laughs> so we're hearing reports right now about rioting taking place in Washington, D.C. So the first question is, are you safe? I am safe. I am safe right now in the studio. Um, but I will tell you, just leading up to this, the last couple of days, watching all of the boarding going up. And here's what's really remarkable. Um, on a lot of these stores and on these boards, they're actually writing, we support Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have to ask yourself, why would a business owner first board up his business and then write, we support Black Lives Matter? And the answer is simple. It's because they recognize that it is Black Lives Matter. It is Antifa. It is the left that is doing these these riots. And I actually have a friend who runs a gym and he tells me that he puts a sign in his window that says we support black lives matter and i know he does not support black lives matter he is not left-leaning he is a republican but he does that because today that for business owners is like putting up like sloman shield you know (laughs) please don't riot please don't please don't burn us down uh we support you and it's very sad that we've gotten to this point um and and then just getting to the studio i don't live too far from the studio it should have been a five minute drive it took 30 minutes because of street closures because of riots i mean the left is ready to go and they've been planning this for months and months. And my question, I guess, that I would ask is, how come the FBI hasn't been able to shut down this cell? How have they been able to coordinate this? How are they bringing in U-Hauls and, and metal mm. bats and, and, and all of these things of this nature? So it's incredibly frustrating that it's come to this point. We should have been able to suspect this and to guard against it. But D.C. is really, really scary right now. Um, we, we just know that we're going to expect a lot later on in the night. Yeah, it's really remarkable. That well, to your point, that the FBI hasn't been able to get on top of that, and I, I kind of want to kick that around and have it as a discussion with the five of us. Is is the reason? I mean, obviously, one reason is that free speech is is sacred in this country, and so you expect our law enforcement to get the maximum latitude possible, right? You want them to err on the side of letting people overexpress and not underexpress. But given what we've seen in the country in the wake of the George Floyd killing, given what we've seen in the Chaz Chop Zone in Seattle, the the constant burning of Portland, the burning of Minneapolis. It's been going on for months and months. Why is it that the federal law enforcement hasn't been more proactive in cracking down on this? It's a really good question because when Donald Trump announced that he was going to enforce the law against pulling over statues and vandalism, that largely stopped. That was a big movement and it largely went away. And that, you know, the FBI sent out something like a dozen agents to investigate what turned out to be a hoax uh, attack on a black NASCAR driver uh, as if there was some major civil rights problem there, which there wasn't. And yet they can't seem to infiltrate or at least uh, start to uh, discourage these people. I have to I have faith. I have faith that the FBI is on it, that they're looking at it. I don't think the FBI is totally gone. I think obviously they're under James Comey, their leadership uh, was corrupted. But I don't think that the agents are corrupt. But, so you know, I have hope that they're working. Yeah, Michael, is it is it. Is it that they're complicit? Is it a deep state, deep state conspiracy against the president? Yes. It is. Or is I it mean, strategic the on the part no, of the president? That's it. it. It's that they're complicit. I've talked okay. to friends of mine who are in the administration who have worked at some of these various swamp agencies in the deep state. And you can go agency by agency and know their ideological leanings. Now, you might say agencies aren't supposed to have ideological leanings, but they do. And we've no, we always joke about the State Department, for instance, is always uh, pretty far left. But this is true. You can go down the line. FBI, CIA, all the all the various alphabet agencies. And they have consistently undermined the president. And part of this, by the way, might not be some nefarious tinfoil hat conspiracy. Part of this is that people at those agencies just happen to share the views of 
Black Lives Matter or Antifa or of the Democratic Party. I guess they're basically all the same thing now. And so it's very difficult to root that out because the president gets elected. He's there for four years or hopefully eight years. But the the agencies are so deep. I'll give you an example. Do you know how many people are employed by the Department of Homeland Security? Quarter million people. Quarter, yes. It's quarter, only existed for what, for five minutes. Years. Yeah, about, you know, almost 20 years now, but you're right, 16 to 20 years. And, and it's that large. It's taken in other agencies. That's the tip of the iceberg on this, on this federal bureaucracy. Yeah. So the problem runs very, very deep. Well, ben, I mean, do, you, do you buy it? Is it, is it, honestly, I find it a less interesting question as to, well, cause you can speculate all day as to what closed agencies are doing behind closed doors. Uh, like, I have no clue, I, and I'm not gonna pretend I have a clue. What I find a lot more troubling is the fact that the entire media and Democratic Party apparatus continue to cover for this bullcrap and then suggest that we're wrong for even wanting to ask questions about it. That if you, if you even question whether Black Lives Matter uh, has violent connections and why so many of these protests turn into riots, this, ha- this is because you are not sufficiently anti-racist. Or you have Joe Biden suggesting that Antifa is a philosophy rather than actual group. Yeah. I mean, th- that's... That's more troubling considering we're in an election year. I mean, the, the politicization of the, intel- of the intelligence agencies has been an ongoing issue. But having an, a party overtly embrace this crap, I think, is a much, much bigger issue. I know Candace has talked about that at length. Yeah. Candace, uh, listen, we, one of the things we love about you at The Daily Wire is that you're a cultural figure. And I know that uh, only talking to you about race issues is actually a waste of, uh, of your insight. But I do think it's important in this particular election to talk about the work that you've done with Blexit, there's a lot of talk, especially on the right, about how we might see a major swing in not only the uh, black men in particular voting for the president, but also uh, the Hispanic population, something that Ben has observed firsthand happening down in Florida. You probably have your, your finger on the temperature of that movement more than anybody else in the country. What do you think happens tonight? Are, are we going to see something historic? Are we going to see something uh, different than what we've seen in the past? Absolutely. And and so first off, I will say how remarkable is it to consider that over the last four years, the left could not have harped on race harder. I mean, right. how many times if we actually had a ticker like we have the COVID-19 death ticker, if we had a racism ticker on <laughs> CNN and MSNBC every time they said the word racist, what would the number be? Seriously, I mean, it's a, it's a hard question, right? And yet despite that, despite that, they are acknowledging that black American support is shifting towards the Republican Party, is shifting p- towards President Trump. That's a very dangerous spot for Democrats to be in, of course, because they cannot, they have to at least get 85% of the black votes to stay in their party. And and I've always felt, I instantly said, in 2020, I think Trump can get 20 points. And people thought that, that was a pipe dream. And it was never a pipe dream. It was just so mm. obvious. You just needed somebody to actually communicate to black Americans um, in, in a cultural manner, which is what I've tried to do, what is actually going on? We've been married to this party for 70 years and nothing has changed. And the problem is, that I think, Republican Party for a really long time, um, it's almost like the suffering PTSD. You guys have been called racist for so long yeah. uh, that, you know, now when somebody calls you racist, you just let them shut down the conversation. And it needed to be somebody like Donald Trump, because he's the only person I know that he gets called racist and he doubles down on whatever it is he said. Right. Black America, what do you have to lose? Remember, they all freaked out and said, oh, my goodness, how could he possibly say that? It's so racist. And now it's his favorite thing to say in front of minority crowds. Black America, I asked you in 2016, what do you have to lose? And clearly the answer was nothing. 
I did see an article uh, two days ago, which made me really happy, about black men uh, between the ages of 25 and 35. They're already calling them chauvinists. They're saying oh, the reason <laughs> the reason they're getting behind Trump is because they're chauvinists. So black men, welcome to the Republican Party when you, you kind of just collect the, is, the sexist, misogynist. I, I say it's like a game of Pokemon. I've got to catch them all. Um, I didn't, didn't expect to get the white supremacist one. I got that one randomly in a news article. I was like, wow, I'm really winning the leftist Pokemon game. Um, but yeah, so they, they, the polls a couple of weeks ago said 8% uh, black support unmoved. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Now they're saying 14%. And I think it's going to be a little bit higher, which is going to be, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be the first opportunity for the Republican Party to win back the black vote. Well, if that does happen, you're going to be one of the most important people in the country because you, more than any other person other than the president himself, uh, have devoted so much of your attention to that issue. I do think we have to give some credit to the president on this as well. His, his, uh, I don't like to use terms like outreach to the black community. I mean, you're talking about Americans outreach. Makes it sound <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's absurd. But what Donald Trump has done that I think Republicans have been afraid to do in the past is he actually just talks to people who might hate him. And I think he's able to do that because so many people hate him. He's actually, he's actually comfortable in environments where people aren't kind to him because he's accustomed, even just being a, a builder in New York, probably his entire life he's been talking to people who don't necessarily like him and trying to find common cause with them. And he's done a fairly remarkable also, job. In I mean, when you talk about communities in the United States who have just gotten bullshit from politicians for decades. Yeah. And the, the black community in the United States has gotten bullshit from politicians literally since the beginnings of the country. And, and Donald Trump, when he talks to people, there's not tons of bullshit. I mean, and, and cutting through it and speaking the way that he does, I think, actually translates really well. The non-politician aspect of, of Trump speaks very differently than the same typical political speak that you get from every other politician who gets in and, front and, of that so crowd. And so what, what Candace mentioned, his, his thick skin, which is part of some of the things that maybe we dislike about him sometimes, but it's also one of the reasons he is where he is. You have to have yeah. that to take on the left. The, think of the massiveness of the legacy media. Think of how the corporate power of the legacy media and this guy has been standing up against them all by his lonesome yeah. for four years, and he has just kind of eaten it up and spit it out. And this is the hardest thing, because America is a country that has reckoned with its historic racism, and we don't want to go there again, and so we're sensitive to the charge. And the left has used that to batter people into submission, and only Trump's <laughs> turtle shell of a, of a skin yeah. could withstand well, it. Well, you saw it just the other day with Chelsea Handler, right? When I don't know how President Trump is doing yes. among the black community, but he's totally killing it among the rap community. Yeah. Kanye, Lil Pump, Lil Wayne, and 50 Cent. And so 50 Cent comes out and says, yeah, okay, I like Trump. I don't want to be 20 Cent. And Chelsea Handler said, I couldn't believe the words came out of her mouth. She said, I had to remind him that he was a black man. And she, and she did. And then he, she also offered him some sort of favors if he voted for Biden. So we kind of did. But anyway, it gets very complicated. I don't want to get into it. But, but it is, it is unbelievable. Could you imagine a political coalition 10 years ago, five years ago, where you've got an Amish parade and a rapper parade going on side by side? I mean, I can imagine a political coalition with an Orthodox Jew and a platinum best-selling rapper in the same coalition for Donald Trump and in this room. <laughs> it's true. Uh, one of the things I love about our team here at The Daily Wire is just how different we all are. And yet we have this kind of uh, community that I think other publications don't like. It's actually, you know, when we were planning this show, we thought, well, we want to do as good a job as, say, Fox News at bringing people information. And now I don't want to, you know, they can go down to the precinct level. So I don't want to say that we fully succeeded at that. But we set a high goal for ourselves. We're going to bring people the best 
deepest, most up-to-date information that we can through the night. But we also want to really focus on what makes us us, what makes us unique, what makes us other than cable news. And a big part of that is just this. You're smoking a cigar. We're having conversation that might be a little unorthodox, things that you may not be able to get away with saying uh, on cable, uh, things that advertisers might boycott you over. But part of that is because of there's so much about us as a group that is unique. You you brought it up, Ben. You're a very religious from Orthodox Jew. You've got uh, Drew, who's documented his uh, conversion from sort of secular Judaism to faithful Christianity. You have Michael Knowles, who we all remember when he wasn't Catholic, but now he's very... <laughs> he's like the biggest papist we know. Yeah, very, the reverts go really hardcore. I mean, yeah. More Catholic than the Pope doesn't mean what it used to be, but he's still, he's still keen. I'm essentially a, a, a Protestant cult leader when you really get... <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But you, you see some of this, too, not just on the religious side, not just on the, um, on the political side. You have Candace, who's actually quite close uh, to the president. You have Ben and I, who were major Trump skeptics in 2016. You have the two of you who supported the president in 2016. Uh, you have Michael, uh, who not only support. You have Michael, who actually just wishes that he was as successful as Candace at being friends with the president. Yeah, why won't he, so he call me back? I call him all the time. <laughs> well, Candace, can you send yeah. him my texts? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that we're not afraid to engage in these ideas in a way that's that's friendly. And one thing that Candace has that none of us have that I think is a, is an important part of that is an actual foothold in the culture. So, you know, somebody told me this week that I'm not famous. And it kind of hurt my feelings because I'm at least like a P-list Internet celebrity. You have a checkmark, don't you? I got a blue checkmark. What do you want from me? You've got Ben, who's extraordinarily famous. We've done these market surveys that where Ben, I'll brag on you for a minute, where Ben's the most famous conservative in the country uh, in terms of uh, social engagement. He's higher than like the entire primetime Fox. Uh, Candace is something, Candace, you're something that none of us are, which is uh, not, it's not famous, it's celebrity. You've actually managed to to become a cultural figure in a way that in my lifetime, no conservative, no one who, let's say it differently, no one who started in the political sphere uh, as a conservative pundit has been able to cross over into being a political celebrity. You have people who've moved the other direction, people who were like, they used to have a big acting career, and then the part stopped coming in, and then they realized they could talk about politics. They used all... to be reality TV stars and then became president. Yeah, for yeah. instance. <laughs> for example. You've uniquely been able to cross that bridge the other way. I'm, I'm very curious what that's like. I mean, you, you kind of live a life that the rest of us uh, will probably never get to live. How are you received when you, when you, and you don't have to name names, but how are you received uh, behind the scenes when you deal with other people who are sort of cultural celebrities? Is there more support yeah. out there than it seems like there is? There definitely is. And I'll say this, everything that I did was much more strategic than people really gave me credit for. I mean, I had to sort of, of sit course. down and when I had, you know, my come to moment when I was like, I lived my entire life as a lie. I, I bought into the Democrat propaganda, the education system propaganda, and I emerged as a person who graduated high school and genuinely believed that Republicans were racist, that conservatives were mm. racist. I'm a pretty smart girl. So this stuff, um, it wasn't something that I came up with on my own. It was actively taught to me. And so when I yeah. wanted to, you know, kind of dabble into politics, the first thing I asked myself is how did the left do this to me? And I wanted to in, in, intentionally, with intention, reverse engineer exactly what it was that deluded me to the begin, to begin with. And I understood how important culture was. And, and Republicans and conservatives had just given up on culture. And virtually everything you see, and, and you sort of hit at this earlier, Jeremy, but everything you see on TV is done at the expense of conservatives. And I think for that reason, a lot of conservatives began to stick up their nose to culture and say, okay, we're just not going to do culture. And right. we're just going to be the smart guys. And, and I thought to myself, we have to be both, actually. Um, and, and I, I want to be funny. Um, I, I do. I love 
culture. I love music. Um, and you know, I get it. it it's, it's, it, I get uh, why people like rap music. I know Ben doesn't like rap music. Uh, but I get, I get whoa, whoa, why whoa. some ben, people Ben like is a music. fantastic rap artist. He's <laughs> yeah. an incredible rap artist. In fact, I can take the lyrics of others and translate them in a way no one would have thought possible. <laughs> You, you were really good in WAP. I will say WAP Daily Wire edition is, is it should be able to dabble better than I ladies appreciate it. What can I say? <laughs> One of the things you said to me um, recently, Candace, that I found really interesting, you said, I don't want people to know if I'm about to run for president or to drop a rap album. I do think that volatility right. is part of what gives you the ability to do the things that you do. Right. By, by and, volatility, and, and I mean that people really don't know I what feel. to expect, right? Right. And that's exactly how I feel because I love so much of it. And I think mm. that both of it is really important. And I think Andrew Breitbart was right years ago when he said politics is downstream from culture. And we have to make sure that we're sort of connecting that. Um, and, and I have always wanted to exist as a conduit. And I will say, to answer your earlier question, behind closed doors, it is incredible. I mean, I yeah. wish I could publish a list of the A-list celebrities that I'm in communication with. Um, all around the world. I mean, not just in America. Obviously, my husband's British. Uh, in England, uh, you would just be shocked and go, oh, my goodness, we're, we're all really doing something. They know all of us. They they follow Ben Shapiro. They follow Daily Wire. Um, you know, they're downloading do they the podcast. Me? It's incredibly <laughs> indicate. They know you specifically. They, they bring you, you up first. <laughs> yeah, you first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so we're having a huge impact. And I think that because I've been sort of in between, hmm. they feel comfortable reaching out to me to have these sort of private meetings behind closed doors. And I wish more of them would come out, um, you know, ahead of ahead of today. Uh, they're not going to, but I think you're going to expect a lot more A-listers after tonight is decided to come out in the next few months and really say what they believe. And I think what you're doing is so important. And the only thing that would make it cooler is if you did it with us. Like, you ought to just come join the me, a, a woman joining the Daily Wire team? <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, on second thought. No, you're the right. The man's club? Right. <laughs> I mean, if I will. What was that? What's that? I said if any woman were going to you be invited, are... it's you. Come, come be Daily Wire. <laughs> um, I think uh, 100% I will take you up on that offer if my slogan can be feelings don't care about your facts. I love it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's, that sounds a, like a deal. A deal, yeah. I'm not kidding, though. Why don't you come join the Daily Wire? I would, when, I would love to join the Daily Wire. I think there is a lot of stuff we could do together. Should we make it official on Election Night America? Am I joining the Daily Wire? Is it real? Ben Shapiro to you first. Absolutely. Let's do this. <laughs> Michael Knowles, what do you think? This is the most formal way, by the way, Jeremy's ever done business. Yeah. Usually it's just over like three drinks at a bar, but at least now he'll do it in a casual conversation. Yes, absolutely. Come join us, Candace. Andrew. Right. I've been, I've been Andrew. lobbying for this for many, many years, Candace. Please come over. Save us. Save us. Oh my gosh. Well then, it is a done deal on election night. Hey, this might right, be bigger right. than the results that come in. Good. Candace Owens is coming to Nashville, baby. All right. Yeah. Well, that, this is, see, I told you we were going to break some news there tonight. You. Candace is going to make the move with us to Nashville. And Candace, I don't want to tell people too much about what we're working on, but it's I actually isn't a joke, guys. Exactly. No, this is not a joke. Well, I mean, it's no more of a joke than our everything else we do. <laughs> we are working on a show together. Candace and I have been collaborating about this behind the scenes. It will be unlike, not only unlike anything that's happened at the Daily Wire, I think truly different in kind from anything that's ever happened in conservative new media. We're not going to give you too many details uh, because it's going to, you know, we want it to be impactful when it happens. I'll give you the one hint, though. It's going to be shot in front of a live studio audience in Nashville, and you're going to be able to see it uh, at the beginning of March. Candace, we couldn't be more excited to have you on the team. 
I'm so excited. I think the time is now. The energy feels right. I've been saying for years that conservatives, we're all doing different things. We need to all come together under the same umbrella um, and, and just, you know, fight back for culture. I mean, people are paying attention to us. I know Ben Shapiro gets more downloads. Michael Knowles gets more downloads. We're, we're bigger than CNN. Uh, we're bigger. We're bigger than all of MSNBC, uh, but we're not united. And, and it's, it's high time. So I couldn't be more excited. I wish we could unveil more about what we've been working on. Uh, it's going to be really good, guys. 2021 is going to be a really big year. Well, thank you so much for making time for us tonight. I know that you're in D.C. You're probably invited to all kinds of parties that we'll never be invited to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that we're able to uh, to lift a glass later tonight uh, and celebrate a huge Trump victory. And we'll be telling people more and more about what we're working on together over the coming weeks. Thank you, Candace. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to lift a glass to Candace. Now. Hey, to Candace. Oh, good. Chin, chin. All right. All right. Yeah. This year's overflowing. All right. So that is the first of our big announcements for the night. Candace Owens moving to Nashville, joining the Daily Wire. We are going to replace the media. That doesn't just mean replacing the media in terms of investigative investigative journalism. It doesn't just mean replacing the media in terms of cultural commentary. It means we have to make culture. We have to make the kinds of shows that they make. We have to engage in fiction. We have to engage in talk shows. We have to engage in a, a broad swath of content that reaches people where they are. And that's what we're going to be doing both with Candace and in some other exciting announcements that we'll be making for you as the night goes on. But right now, the polls have been closed on the East Coast for 37 minutes. We know you're looking for an update on what's happening. We are going to kick it to Alicia Krause in the Daily Wire election war room. Hopefully they're going to be able to walk us through some of what's been going on while we've been busy celebrating ourselves and celebrating our newest addition in Candace Owens, who, again, been pointed this out. I think it's important that you know, not a joke. Candace is actually joining us uh, in Nashville for what is going to be just a truly, I mean, revolutionary kind of change in the kind of content that you can come to expect in conservative media. And best of all, only one of the huge announcements that we have for you tonight. So guys, we're about to kick it to the war room and hear what's going on in the country. But what are we seeing though first out on social media? Are there any states reporting that are that are critical to our uh, to the questions that we're asking tonight. Yeah, so we have some updates here with Cabot, actually, one of the editors at the Daily Wire. Cabot, good. I mean, we've been together all day long. Three hours, and it wasn't enough. <laughs> Longer than that. <laughs> a few hours I had to spend in hair and makeup. You were there with me. So um, what are some of the updates that are coming from the cable news networks as those East Coast polls are closing, like Jeremy just laid out? Yeah, so right now Florida is over 60% reporting. Fox News currently has President Trump trailing by about 1.4% in mm-hmm. Florida. Some people are sharing around the New York Times projections now has President Trump Trump at 96% to win Florida with the remaining votes that are left, about 40% left. Okay. So people are kicking that around saying, well, New York Times is already predicting essentially 96% chance of him winning Florida. Okay. A lot of time to go. Still a lot of people in line. As long as you're in line, you can still vote when the election or the polls close. Georgia President Trump is down about 2%. Only 15% reporting, so it's going to be a long night ahead. And so that's where we are right now. No big surprises yet in the states that have been called. Virginia has been called by Fox News for Joe Biden. A few other analysts have not called it yet, but besides Virginia being called by Fox News, there haven't been any big surprises yet in anything called. Okay, and the thing that I think everyone will be pleasantly surprised about is if we can go home tonight, and I mean, thank God we're on the West Coast, yeah. but we're all still pretty tired of, you know, and yeah. we're wondering how long it's going to be. How long are we going to be there here, how long is it going to be drawn out? And everyone's been contemplating, is this going to be a contested election? And as we talked about with Ian earlier, 
We have a history of contested elections. Yeah, sometimes I don't. Actually, sometimes I do relish being the bearer of bad news. This is not one of those times. And okay. in this case, the bad news is that there's a very high likelihood that we're not going to know the true results tonight, okay. especially if President Trump is performing better than some had expected, which we, yep. it does look like is happening right now. So I'm going to walk you through a few scenarios okay. of what it looks like okay. if we don't have the results tonight, starting from most likely to least likely. Most likely is we're going to see some recounts. So in 20 states across the country, if the final vote tally is under 1%, an automatic recount is triggered. And that includes Arizona, Florida, and Ohio. Oh, no. Under 1%, automatic recount is triggered. So that is something that we should certainly expect to see in some of those states. Okay. Now, it could be out of the hand anyway. It could be a situation where one candidate has such a big lead where the recount doesn't really matter at the end of the day. We mm -hmm. already know. But anyways, in 42 states, candidates can demand a recount if there isn't one automatically triggered. And in a few other states, lawsuits can happen where if a candidate has clear proof of some sort of election malpractice, dumped ballots, that kind of thing, if they have clear evidence of it, they can sue the state to try and get some kind of uh, you know, injunction going on there. Okay. And the least likely scenario, but the one I still like to bring up, is congressional intervention. If there is no clear winner that is chosen by the Electoral College by December 6th, Congress will intervene, they step in, and they will help choose the winner. It's something we saw back in 2000. Bush and Gore in Florida. Okay, so we have a month. Do you think we're truly a month out? I don't think we're a month out. I have, okay. I, I'm optimistic we'll have some clear uh, examples of, of what the race is looking like, yep. hopefully within the next few days, but I don't think people should necessarily expect to know exactly what's going to happen tonight because this is an incredibly close race. Okay. Hard to overstate just how close the results are right now that we're seeing coming in. And we've heard both candidates talk about how they have those legal teams ready to exactly. go. Exactly. The candidates have flexed their legal muscles, something uh, it's a weird thing to envision <laughs> in your mind, but they've made clear that if the results are close, especially in some of those key battleground states, that they will be demanding recounts if there isn't an automatic one, that they are willing to go to court to sue to make sure that happens. Keep an eye on that. But again, the race so far, tightening up in Florida and Georgia, those are the two main states we're keeping an eye on in the war room right now. All right. Also, North Carolina, Michigan, a yep. few of those other, Pennsylvania, a few of those other battlegrounds. Ohio, the polls just closed. Like I said, we're on the West Coast. We're keeping an eye on everything that's happening. And up. one more thing I will add, both candidates encouraging all their supporters, telling them if you're in line, stay in line. We'll do the same thing here at The Daily Wire for anyone listening or watching that's in line. Stay in line because you can vote even if the polls have closed. Okay, and as we get those poll results that are coming in and being solidified, we'll continue to bring those to you guys. Excellent. Okay, so a couple of quick things. One, the Miami-Dade margin in Florida is excellent news for President Trump. Trump got 334,000 votes in Miami-Dade in all of 2016. He already has more than 450,000 votes in Miami-Dade. Cubans are showing up en masse in Miami-Dade. He's doing extraordinarily well there. Biden was supposed to win Miami-Dade by some 30 points. That's what Hillary won by last time. He's really winning it by like 10 this time, hmm. which is bad news for Biden. So it looks like a very good shot that Trump takes Florida as expected. Also, it looks like a fairly good shot that Trump takes Georgia as expected if we are to trust the famous New York Times needle. Now, quick reminder for you. We just had on Candace Owens. And Jeremy, as is his wont, played it as a joke. This was a silly move. The reason this is a silly move is because it's an actual thing. Real Candace Owens is, in fact, joining Daily Wire. She'll be having a show here. We can't, we can't wait for it. It's a creative, brand new, culturally oriented, live audience type thing. And it's going to be amazing. And we need your support. So we're going to turn this into like a full-on NPR, help us replace NPR pitch. You need to go over to dailywire.com right now, and you get 25% off with code election. We have all sorts of big initiatives that we are pushing. You're going to hear about them throughout the night. That was only the first of a bunch of big announcements tonight. We need your help. We do. Because to bring you programming like this, it isn't exactly cheap. And not only that, we are bringing on board more and more programming to counter the establishment media and to replace them. That's the whole goal here is to replace the establishment media. So go to, right now, put down whatever you're doing, 
Go to dailywire.com. If you haven't done this yet, if you're watching at dailywire.com because you're watching it live because this part is for free, please head on over there and use promo code election. Get 25% off and subscribe over at dailywire.com. Candace Owens is, in fact, coming with us to Nashville, and she's joining the Daily Wire. Yeah, it's going to be 2021 is going to be a turning point for conservative media, and Daily Wire is going to be leading the charge. You know who else is changing the face of media as we know it over on the right? It's our good friend Megan Kelly, who launched a podcast. And this is what I love about Megan Kelly. When she decides to do something, like take 2016, for example, she decided to walk down the hall. Girl knows how to walk down the hall with purpose, <laughs> change the game. That's what she's doing now with podcasts. Megan, we're so glad that you're with us, and we love your new podcast. It's fabulous. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Well, thank you for helping me to promote it and for being such good and faithful backers of it from the time it was in its little embryonic stage. Well, it's been kind of a treat for us to get to talk to you behind the scenes uh, and watch you give birth to this thing and to see its success right out of the gate. It's it's really uh, a wonderful thing. I think this, you know, it's a really freeing thing to engage in the podcast, I'm sure, coming off of uh, being in the more restrictive environment of television. I think it'll give you the opportunity uh, to say all the things that you want to say, and you're already doing that and doing it very well. So welcome aboard. Let's talk about the election. So I, I want to ask, first of all, since you've spent so much time in the media covering this stuff, I, you know, I, I believe that the media have been worth eight to ten points for Joe Biden in this race. Uh, I, I, the, the, media, the media seems to have given up on any pretense of objective journalism since you've worked in the halls of the media, not just at Fox News, but obviously at Network News. Uh, what do you make of the what looks like the decline of establishment journalism? I mean, I think it's it's done. I did a little talking points memo on my podcast today. It's already our most downloaded we've had yet, t- talking about how the, the media committed suicide and Trump was there cavorking. You know, he didn't kill them. He helped them along. <laughs> they willingly jumped right off that bridge. They did it to themselves. And it's been, I don't, I don't even want to say it's been sad for me to watch. It's been kind of disgusting for me to watch because they've been trying to take him out from, from day one. And look, I I wasn't exactly in love with President Trump four years ago and he kept coming after me. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. What The thing that helped me really see him clearly and be able to analyze him with objectivity and fairly was them, was how much the media hated him and how against him they were. And then you know how it is. It's like you have to rise up and be your strongest self and, and put the most clear, focused lens on the guy so people have someone they can listen to who's not determined to be part of the resistance in bringing him down. I just think it was a complete shirking of journalistic responsibility. Their credibility is gone, and they cannot get it back. And I'll tell you one reason why it's problematic. COVID. Remember when they were coming out there and they were trying to tell us, like, why aren't yeah. you listening to yeah. us? We're the media. We're telling yeah. you it's dangerous. <laughs> and we were all at home like, screw you. That's you right. lied so many times. Take the Covington case, Jesse Smollett, all the lies about Trump, Russiagate, Ukraine. We no longer believe you. And then you got Trump, on the other hand, who doesn't have an adult relationship with the truth, up there telling us all sorts <laughs> of facts that are not facts about COVID. And it's just so frustrating, right? You're like, what's going on? This is something I really want to know the truth on. Anyway, so hence life in the digital lane for me. I feel like it's a, it's a great place to be able to just deliver the truth, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I do think that's why digital media and, you know, places like the Daily Wire are the future. That's the future. The legacy media truly is dying. And once Trump goes, whether it's, you know, tonight or four years from now, they're really done because he's the only thing keeping them alive. Well, yeah, that's right. He, he ironically is actually propping them up right now. I think this uh, about the, the legacy media. I think about it, too, uh, as far as some never Trump Republicans are not not people who are Trump skeptics in 2016, but people who have sort of gone all in. I'm thinking maybe it's the Lincoln Project and others 
against the president is that there is this interesting okay. irony where he's responsible for their ascendancy right now. And I don't think that they will have the same kind of reach that they have today in a post-Trump future. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that in the future, the media has made clear that it is now no longer in the business of objective journalism. And so they're in the same business we are. And now they're playing in our field. Before it was like we had to try and play in their field. Now they're playing in our field. Megan, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you're one of the few figures in media who did not succumb to Trump derangement syndrome. So you had every reason by all available sort of objective metrics to succumb to Trump derangement syndrome in a way that nobody else did, considering the president went directly at you in 2016 repeatedly. And yet you didn't. You maintained your objectivity. You maintained a perspective on Trump that allowed for the possibility that he would do things that, that you would like. How are you able to maintain an even keel? Because it really is a quality that you don't see in a lot of people in the media sphere. Oh, thank you. Well, you have to take yourself out of it. You know, I mean, there mm-hmm. were many nights during that nine months that he was coming after me where we had security and we had people showing up at our house and our house in the middle of the night. And it was just it, it got a little scary. And every night before I went on the air to report about him, I would remind myself it isn't about you. It's mm-hmm. not about you. It's about the voters and him. You know, I'm on the sidelines. He keeps trying to bring me out onto the field, but I'm supposed to be on the sidelines, and that's the area from which I want to report. And it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. But I did it. And it's one of the reasons why I really resent the fact that no one's, no one else is even trying. You know, like, I know they don't like him. There have been lots of leaders who I haven't liked, but I've – your job – is to not make it about you. You don't get to make the Duke lacrosse case about you, Jussie Smollett about you. Any of those cases are not about you. It's not your opportunity as a reporter to prove to the audience how woke and liberal and liberating you are. Megan, I I understand this feeling of despair that the legacy media is just completely collapsing. You know, we have no one that we can trust. But is there not also a little bit of hope in there? Is there not a silver lining, which is that I think a lot of us felt for a long time that the legacy media were utterly partisan. They were completely unfair. They were just hiding it a little bit better. And then when Donald Trump walks onto the scene, all of a sudden the mask slips a little and you can suss out the objective journalists. And I would certainly include you in that category from the less objective journalists. uh, I don't know. I'm just a name comes to my head. Jim Acosta or other people who have made the story always about them and their own political preferences. It's a good point. And, and, you know, we used to in this country back when we were founded be all about partisan press. And our, I think our founding fathers wouldn't have understood the attempt to be, quote, objective. They would have said it's all about, you know, declaring your stripes and then arguing for them in the yeah. press. Yeah. And maybe that's exactly where we're headed. But the thing that bothers me about it is the dishonesty about who they are that I tonight I was channel sur- surfing and my assistant is here with me because it's a long night. I've got a lot going on. And um, I put on MSNBC. I'm I'm going back and forth between Fox and MSNBC. And she's like, MSNBC? She knows I don't like them. I don't watch Rachel Maddow. God, no. But I, <laughs> I'd rather watch her than Chris Cuomo. Yeah. She she yeah. puts the cards out there. I know what she is. She explains it to me, and she's honest about it. Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon and all those guys, they still want you to believe they're objective journalists. Well, that's right. This is straight right. news. I'm like, how stupid do you think we are? And what really bothers me about it is, you know, we're all in media. But my imaginary viewer, I call her Madge. She's in Iowa. She's a busy lady. She doesn't have time to be watching all this nonsense. Madge doesn't know. She's like, I don't know. I'm living my life. I'm not following, you know, the media websites to figure out who's gone biased and who hasn't. She thinks it's just the news. Well, it isn't the news. Yeah. It's complete propaganda. So it irritates me. And and for now, I, I'm, I don't watch Rachel's show, but I'd watch a panel on MSNBC before I'd watch CNN. Well, you know, in the early days of this country, the media declared their biases and the media actually campaigned to elect presidents instead of candidates 
campaigning to get elected as president. And this is why you still have newspapers like the Tennessee Democrat, right? They're actually named after the parties that they were formed uh, to be propaganda outlets for. We don't think of ourselves as a propaganda outlet. We we don't say things that we don't believe are true. We don't say things for which we can't find factual evidence. We're not trying to be uh, an answer to the sort of Pravda tendencies of the left, but we do acknowledge that we have these biases. I actually think that everyone in the country would be in so much better shape if we got rid of this entire idea of objective media and everyone just owned their biases. Of course, the only people who are against that are the people who don't want you to know. So here's the problem on it. It it would work if people could work off of the same facts. Mm. And I listen to Ben all the time, and I love yours too, Jeremy. Welcome to the podcasting world, which you've already ran behind the scenes. Um, and and Michael, I'm I'm soon going to download yours as well. Okay, <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> but what I hear Ben is a guy who he'll tell you when he thinks you know he calls like bad Trump. You know he'll yeah. tell you he gives you straight analysis when he thinks Trump has done something wrong. And he's pretty free to label, this is fact, this is my thought and opinion. Not everybody does that. And I actually almost think, not, Ben was never, never Trumper. You know, he's a sometimes Trumper. But I actually think some of the most honest analysts of the Trump era have been people who started off, like Republicans, who started off not so into Trump, yeah. who yeah. then watched what the media and the Democrats were doing to him. And they can still see him for what he is, but they're not... They don't have the derangement glasses on. And I think that's one of the reasons why you guys are so valuable. I think it's what helps me report fairly on him. But there has to be a set of facts that we're agreeing on, that we're working off of. And that's where I think the legacy media has gone off the deep end. Well, I think you're absolutely right. That's why I'm so grateful that you're now joining us here in new media. I'm grateful for the opportunities that our DailyWire.com audience and in particular our subscribing members give us to be able to give that alternative point of view. I like this term legacy media. We were talking at the beginning of the show. We have to do away with this idea of the mainstream media, which is sort of a holdover from the early 2000s, because there's nothing mainstream about the points of view that are being uh, sold to us day in and day out by Don Lemon and by Acosta, by The New York Times, by The Washington Post. You know, uh, that's not how mainstream Americans see themselves. We should we should take that term back. Uh, very, very pleased to have you on the show tonight, Megan. Thank you. Maybe we can uh, circle up tomorrow and raise a glass to, you know, either the doom of the Republic or the salvation of the Republic. Either way, it'll be worth a drink. Listen, I think it's awesome that you guys are not drunk this time. And, uh, <laughs> Don't speak too soon, Megan. Saying, I may I may be hitting the bottle myself. We'll see. I think I have another hit with <laughs> inebriated state. Check out Megan's new podcast everywhere where there are podcasts. I like like our friend Ted Cruz. I like to make fun of him. He still, every time that he speaks in front of a live audience, says, go to tedcruz.com. That's tedcruz.com. My name is Ted Cruz, and I have a website, tedcruz.com. And I'm like, everybody knows how to use Google, Ted. Just tell them to go to your website. <laughs> go where podcasts are. Get Megan Kelly's new podcast. It's one of the best things out there. Megan, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. See you later. I am a believer in making rote tasks like sending mail as efficient as possible. I don't like to do those things, and so I want to spend as little time doing them as I possibly can so that I have more time doing things that aren't sending mail, like listening to The Megan Kelly Show. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before, and that means the post office, another one of those rote task organizations, if ever there was one, is going to be busy. You don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. That's why there is stamps.com to bring the post office and now the UPS shipping system itself right to your computer. Mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office with stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do with just a few clicks over at stamps.com. Plus, 
Stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts that you can't even get at the post office itself. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using Stamps.com since 2017. That's incredibly specific, but it's what the ad copy says. Since 2017, we have been using Stamps.com. I wouldn't know. I'm the boss. I don't send any mail. No more wasting your time. Stamps.com brings the services of the post office and the UPS right to your computer. Benjamin. So, if you don't want to stand in line at the post office, and let's face it, who does? You need to head on over to Stamps.com. There's no risk. With my promo code, Shapiro, the best of all promo codes, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. You click on that microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Shapiro. If you don't want to waste your time or waste your money, head on over to Stamps.com. Click on that microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Shapiro for that very special deal. So we have another friend with us in studio tonight. A blast from the past. I say that only because he was with us in 2016 for our election coverage when we were blasted. So that's, that's how I came up with that little phrase. It's our pal, Dave Rubin. Dave, oh, wait, that's what happened? Me. I thought that Clavin just got, like, more hair younger and gayer. Yeah. <laughs> a little gay. Yeah, hold on. I want to well, pull on that. Let's just go through a couple things here, guys. First off, You've left me here with Clavin's old glass. So that's can, not can I have your glass? Because I sense you're not going to be doing yeah, any of this. Much, right, much so better. No imbibing. Let's start sure. with that. That's number one. But before I do that, I did bring my special thick-rim election oh, glasses. Because you know a lot. Yes, because you know a lot of times on MSNBC, you know, they're wearing glasses. Now, these are not real glasses. These are prop glasses. I actually have 20-20 <laughs> vision. But to make a point, when mm-hmm. you're a newscaster, and as you guys are blowing up and leaving me here in Los Angeles and yeah. going to Nashville, it's very exciting. Knowles, I'm really pissed at you. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you guys are going to have to do more of this. You're going to have to get thick rim, black. That's that's not quite no, TV-worthy. And then when you make a point, Ben, and you're always making points, and then you... Keith mm. Wow, that's good. You didn't even I did that. And I'm a lefty. I believe that. I'm a lefty. I just did that with my did right hand. My and, then, and then you can also do this. Oh, my oh God. My I wish God. you'd make a point because I'm all in. I don't know if you're allowed to. <laughs> I'm all 100% in. reporting. Biden is the president. You see? You see how I did that? Yeah, my problem with that, I always get mistaken for Maddow every time I wear those glasses. And it's it's too much. I don't know how to. In Tennessee, that's not going to work well. In L.A., yeah. it worked very well. But Tennessee, I can't do it. You're uh, perfect. I'm just going to know right now that the New York Times says there's a 95% shot that Trump wins Florida. Yeah, well, this Miami-Dade County thing, it sounds like he Florida's awesome. My new home state. Also, guys, breaking breaking news, uh, Trump won West Virginia. I don't know. Whoa. Hold the the fort. Hold the fort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I like that now whenever I think of Florida man, I think of an Orthodox Jewish Harvard law grad. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Ron DeSantis, for all of his down-home charm, is a Harvard law grad. That's right. We We are taking over the state. We Harvard Law grads. You're saying it's it's it is impressive. I, I did, you know, I don't want to say that I called Florida, but it is it is maybe the only state that I actually called in this election. I've been saying for your weeks only actual on the, prediction, right? My only actual prediction in this election was that Trump was going to win Florida. Now, for the states that I actually do think he's going to win, I do think he's going to win North Carolina. I do think he's going to win Georgia. I think he's going to win Arizona. I'm much more skeptical of the states in the Midwest. That's that's kind of, sort of where I am. If and I he's got to have one of them, right? He's got to have Pennsylvania is really the one you go for. That's right. Um, but. Florida coming in strong for Trump and not just strong. He's he's apparently getting an outside share of the black vote and outside, outside share of the Hispanic vote. And this is something that the Republicans should keep in mind going forward is that the Republican Party had been the party of like, white suburban college educated people. Then under Trump, it became the party of high school educated yeah. white people. And they sort of broke the Democratic stranglehold on some of those audiences in the Midwest. If the Republican Party becomes the party of more blacks, more Hispanics and working class white people with some suburban women, because Trump is really the barrier between suburban women and the Republican Party, as George W. Bush and Mitt Romney showed. That looks like a majority party. 
That does not look like a minority party. And so for all of the Democrats being very sanguine about tonight, and that's reading a lot from Florida, but we'll see how the election results turn out. This is the big key, though, Ben, because as you mentioned, We've been told now for years and years, you know, that, that uh, Republicans hate black people and, and Democrats have had a huge share of the black vote. And then during the Trump era, we were told Trump is making inroads among black voters. And you had all these polls, these battling polls. Is Trump getting 20 percent, 25 percent, 2 percent? Who knows? There's only one poll that matters. The poll that matters is Election Day. We are getting those mm-hmm. poll numbers in. If Trump can actually succeed at the thing that we conservatives have been telling ourselves for the past four years, that could be a... a fundamental shift in the way the political parties are going. Well, it just seems obvious to me that minorities are breaking. Minorities are realizing who wants to be owned by a political party because of your the color of your skin or your sexuality or your gender. I mean, look, you just had Candace on and and it's great. You guys are going to be doing stuff together. And it's like she literally changed the world. Whether whether Trump wins or not, and I do think he will win tonight, and I'm, I'm praying he's going to win. I mean, yep. talk about a freaking political evolution over here, guys. <laughs> um, you know, she she changed the world. But I do want to give credit to uh, the missing Daily Wire, whose chair I'm sitting in, because you remember four years ago when we were doing this, yep. and and as the night was going on, and it started to become more obvious that Trump was going to win, and everybody was kind of freaking out. You were laughing and crying simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> really. It was the something. Night of my life. But Clavin, so Clavin said something that I have repeated, and I try to credit him when I can. That I think is just so on the money. That what an incredible country we live in. That anything yeah. can happen right now. The four of us, we live and breathe this stuff. Anything could happen tonight, you know. And well, not only can anything happen, but it also depends on what the media decides to well, let only us, one thing let us find out happened. Almost, know? almost. Well, only one thing was impossible: Mitch McConnell losing his seat. So it has been confirmed <laughs> that he destroyed Amy McGrath. They uh, poured money into that. That's a hell of a ninety million yeah. unbelievable trying to defeat Mitch McConnell, which is the stupidest thing. That's all, his all, he, does, all he has to do is yeah. his head and his hands into that <laughs> shell. Yeah. Yeah. Just take anything you can okay, Mitch, you can't, do, not, do not screw with cocaine Mitch, man. They yeah. loan so much money on those races. Also, South Carolina has been called for Trump, which is good news uh, for Lindsey Graham, who supposedly yep. was in a close battle, but it wasn't particularly a close battle. Yep. I think it's going to be all right. <laughs> How about that for analysis? That's it, that's it. I, I actually think everything's going to be okay. I, I think Trump is going to win, but I just think people have just woken up. No matter what happens tonight, mm. enough people. So how long are you saying California up. is really the question? Well, you guys screwed me, yeah. and uh, you screwed me good. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I had Knowles and his lovely wife over for dinner just a few weeks before you announced that you were all leaving. And Knowles and I, after some whiskey and oh, yeah. some wine, we made he, said, he said, I will stay with you, yes. Dave. I will stay here with you. Why would with you possibly you. trust this ass? And then, and then literally it was like 12 <laughs> minutes later, I, I see across the Twitter, Ben Shapiro announces <laughs> Daily Wire is getting the hell out of here. I, yeah. I kid you not. I think I, the headline was Knowles, Knowles uh, is sold you up the river, Ruben. <laughs> I think I, we yeah. had this great dinner. Little bit of uh, Coca-Cola's, you know. We were drinking a little bit. We made yeah. plans for the future. We're going to yeah. take back California. We're going to have, <laughs> and then I, I yeah, no, it was like the what happens day. when you have a few drinks. Yeah. And then I go in. Jeremy calls me in. I, I kid you not, it was like two days later. Yeah. He goes, "All right, buddy, we're out of here." I said, "Dave, who? I got yeah. out of town. I'm getting out of dodge." You know what? Truly, guys. I, well, first off, I've loved having you guys here. It's been nice, and I, I, I get to Florida every now and again. So, oh, good. We, so well, we will show. break bread again, and and uh, I do. I've been to Nashville once. Well, they will bodily, quite lovely, and I they will performed at the Ryman Theater. It was great. What? I mean, you may be enjoying that new house, but they will bodily throw you out of the state. Well, listen, we got guns. We got a ton of ammo. And uh, what, an, what an odd ending to my movie. How did, this end, how did this end like this? I'm the one that's staying. I had to get all the guns. You guys are leaving. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Huh? We know how to prank people. That's, that's our thing. Yeah. So basically, hey, it's, I, it's, I didn't, it's, I didn't it starts off like this. Hey, Dave. 
I mean, you ever hear a classical liberalism? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going to be hilarious is when all all of us, the the married religious Judea uh, Ju- Jewish and Christian conservatives, watch Dave, the the gay formerly liberal guy being Waco in the middle of Africa. Yes. Right, that's how that turns out, basically. I, I always told I always told you, Knowles, I was going to end up the most right-wing. I, I believe it. It was, I, it was obvious, because you, I've been with these people, and they're terrible, horrible people. You're and I spent a lot of time with them, and they're awful. Politically, you're going to be further to the right than any of us. You may become the Pope at some point. I don't know. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, I will for a while. I mean, this is what we decided, that we will stay here for a while and see if we can fix this freaking thing. You know, right. what happens? You guys know this. Leftists and progressives break things, and then conservatives fix them. They so break it's the like, look... California, that Reagan guy was once the governor of California. Like, things happen. New York, what happened? Dinkins, a lefty progressive nutbag. He ruined New York City. Giuliani fixes it. So I like a challenge, you know? And I also like 82-degree weather every day when it's not raining fire. You know? Listen, (laughs) we all like the weather. The truth is, Ben's lived in California his his entire life. I've lived here for 20 years, two months, and two weeks. Uh, I love California. I didn't move here by accident. It's the greatest state uh, in the country in terms of natural beauty. It's the greatest state in the country in terms of just your ability to start off as nothing, engage with media, yeah. uh, and find a voice for yourself. The problem is they've destroyed it. I mean, in the last three yeah. years, they've completely unraveled the magic of L.A. It's a totally different town than what it was even 36 months ago. My hope is, listen, my hope is you join us in Nashville. Failing that, I hope you turn this state around. I, I Look, there's always a chance. Like, how do any of us do anything in the political world if we don't think there's a chance, right? Like, we think yep. you they have to... They're literally just quoting Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber now. <laughs> most, <laughs> most of my political beliefs, actually, they came from Liar Liar, but... Um, yeah. Me, myself, and Irene. Yeah, like, like there is... Oh, right, now, now favorite, Ben, it took me a second. I got the reference. Now I got it. Yeah, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, now I got it. I was a little slow on that one. you know that his favorite movie is Me, Myself, and Irene? It's the greatest movie ever me that that night before he lied to me about staying he gave me the whole <laughs> you didn't know who was sure it's the greatest movie of all time everything i believe came from the movie yada 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 anyway i'm gonna stay and fight for a little bit and i think i think people hate garcetti this this clown oh, here yeah, yeah. our mayor i think people hate gavin newsom and i'm gonna see you know rick grinnell's still in california larry elder lives here in la it's not that nobody's here and by the way as hollywood crumbles which it is crumbling it is crumbling, it is crumbling. And as Hollywood crumbles, new industries will have to kind of step in and fill that out. And they won't be this crazy leftist monolith. So, okay. so there's a chance. There so as a chance. let's tie this to tonight, which is to yeah. say there was a 10,000 person Trump rally in Beverly Hills. It was amazing. Unbelievable. It was amazing. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. It was unbelievable. What was the spirit of it? What was the attitude like? Was pure it? joy. Pure joy. Yeah. Have you ever done ecstasy? You know, I've never done ecstasy. Ben, have you ever done ecstasy? Come on, all the time. Back at Harvard Law, this guy. (laughs) It was. It was tattoo. I've got. See, this is where I can never say I'm a full conservative because I say ecstasy and I can see all of you guys start. You get extra color. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I told my wife one time the only my my family has a history of drug use, and so I've never been tempted to do drugs. And even in situations where people I cared a lot about, you know, people who I uh, was very close to, and they would say, you know, we'd be in Amsterdam or something. They'd be like, oh, it'd be great if we smoked a joint together. And I would just say, I just, I can't do it because I, I've seen where the road can lead. I don't know which genes I got, yeah. but I'm not going to fool around with what if I got those genes, you know? No, no, so, no. You should. Yeah. I, I always that's prefer, it. Yeah. I've, I've said to my wife, if I were ever going to do a drug, it would be ecstasy. 
It's called ecstasy. Ecstasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, I'm not here I didn't to realize this is going to turn into the Joe Rogan podcast. Well, <laughs> I've always what I've always said is I want to carve a little more libertarianism into the yeah, conservative yeah. movement. Anyway, uh, let's remove. So the, you, were, let's, you were taking crocodile. Yeah. So let's okay. let's remove yeah. the uh, we'll remove the ecstasy <laughs> metaphor here. It, it was it was pure joy. It, yeah. Thousands of people, and it didn't matter if they were black or white or gay or straight or any of that nonsense. But if they were Smiles. Asian, they were out. No, no Asians. They were out. Sure. No, there were plenty of Asians. It was <laughs> it was a serious love fest. Yeah. And everybody's happy. Everybody's hugging. I I found out that Prager, Dennis Prager, was on his way there. So I texted him. I met him right outside, and we walked in together. Oh, and wow. to watch the people, because, you know, Dennis is really tall, and he's dressed like Dennis Prager. I'm in a T-shirt, <laughs> so, you know, it's a little different. And and to watch these thousands, literally like thousands of people like yelling, like, God bless you, Dennis. We're going to take this state back. And by the way, Dennis is staying here. So like oh, we'll it, it was just pure joy. It's 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 the 180 reverse. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Too. Yeah. Oh, what now? What do you know? I mean, you were there. There's not going to be enough there. whiskey. We were there for that. Yeah, it. It, was, it, was, it was you, me, Corolla and, and Prager. And I've got I've got Adam on the ropes. I mean, I I think I can get Adam to move. I think I think I'm like he's got all fun. those fancy cars. It's it's very expensive to move those across. That's true. You need like a they couple trucks. They're, they're, they're made of car, yeah. so they are in fact mobile. And, they're uh, made of car. True. And and, and uh, I, I I laid the best argument on Dennis that he has ever heard, which was Dennis Prager, you are doing you are committing an act of immorality mm-hmm. by spending your taxpayer dollars in a state that is hopelessly blue and is using them to reinforce all the values you hate. Mm-hmm. You can see Dennis got a little shook. Mm-hmm. Alan Estrin actually told me this week, he said, um, I have to say, this. he has an acai bowl and he has yep, his, his, I, his, yep. his Apple Watch. He says, mm, Dennis is taking to heart what Ben said to him about the morality of staying in California. <laughs> I, know, well, I, know, I know where Dennis lives. I, I, right where Dennis lives. That's where I went. Right to the morality point. If he was done. MFers done. take Prager from him. <laughs> This is not. Hey, I'm going to show you up. Consider Tennessee. <laughs> we'll be right back. Is it? Po- I mean, yes. obviously, the yes. president isn't going to win California. We have a lot. No, but that's how you start the reset. That's right. Yes. So I used to run an organization called Friends of Abe. It was about 2,500 uh, Hollywood professionals who were conservative, and we'd bring 20 to 40 of them into these new member lunches, and people would would whisper at a private table in a private room. Yeah. A pri- they would they would grown men would weep, and I don't mean one or two. I mean numerous times over. Uh, the the decade that we were in operation, people would say, obviously, my agent, if they knew I was here. One guy said, if my wife knew I was here, yeah, my, oh, wife, yeah. my yeah. wife does not know my most deeply held beliefs. What the rally in Beverly Hills said to me, what your experience uh, at the polling place last week said to me, what the, the caravan of trucks and, and vehicles that went down Ventura Boulevard three times now has said to me is that uh, conservatives are not in a mood to hide from the left anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have finally realized They've got our number. They are going to dox us. They are going to destroy us. The only way you can mm. defend yourself is to take absolute ownership of who you are and stand up. And by the way, who do we have to thank for that? It's Donald Trump because he mapped out a way to win. Because yeah. who do the Democrats love now? They love the idea of John McCain, who's not even on this earth anymore. Yeah. They love Mitt Romney, who's just a sellout. They Bill love, Crystal. They love, they love Bill Crystal, of course, but they love, they love George W. Bush now. They love Republicans that are either retired and gone. Or dead. And it's like Trump's like, well, I'm here and I'm alive and I'm going to fight for these things. It doesn't make him perfect, but he's the one that that allowed that. So when you go to this thing in Beverly Hills, I mean, the heart of not not just Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive, which was destroyed by Black Lives Matter and Antifa a couple months ago and is all boarded up now. Somehow hundreds and thousands of Trump supporters can walk through Rodeo Drive. Jeremy, you're not going to believe this. 
perfect. Nobody busted into uh, give me a fancy store. Prada. Come on, Knowles. Nobody Gucci. busted into Prada. Come Gucci. On. I always go for. Come on. Yeah. Then why are people boarding up, Dave Rubin? If conservatives I'm... aren't going to burn everything. You down? mean it isn't going to be white Christian militias parading through Beverly Hills, <laughs> destroying? Uh, give me another reference, Knowles. Yeah, destroying. The, uh, 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 no uh, Obamic. Uh, okay. Uh, how was that? Well, they know now it's coming. They they board up the Brigade store. Well, I don't want to tempt you overly, but you know uh, who they just called for Donald Trump with only 1% of the vote reporting, and yet they called the state, the great state of Tennessee. Here it is. Tennessee. Look how red. Look how beautiful. It's a beautiful color, isn't it? The beautiful color of red. I will say this. I was in Tennessee once when I was on tour with, with Jordan, and I performed at the Grand Old Opry, the Ryman Theater, which is the legendary theater. That's right. And the people there were extraordinarily nice. Yeah. You guys are going to have to get used to being around nice people. That's very different. <laughs> it's awesome. That's very different than being here in L.A., but I think just with the right amount of time and maybe a little ecstasy, I think uh, I think it'll work it. This is, you know, this is something that e- even uh, I have friends and family who are very meek and mild, and they have always lived in blue places, even if they're conservative. And they say they're sick of it because now this is actually something that changed with coronavirus where now and and the mask is a great symbol of it. You can tell someone's politics by the millimeter of where (laughs) the mask is on their nose, right? Depending on the situation. And now the you can't deny the politics. Every single interaction is, am I a bag of germs or am I a fellow American? And am I going to kill you? And am I everything is so you're so on edge all the time. I want to jump into a sea of Republicans in Tennessee. I want to feel like I'm not always on the the defensive. Well, I mean, when it comes to the mask, actually, what what I've noticed for Democrats is that the the way you can tell a Democrat wearing a mask is that they're wearing it improperly. (laughs) Seriously, that that, that Republicans, when they wear masks, it's usually because they actually are concerned about the virus. Mm. And for a lot of Democrats, it seems like uh, the mask is being worn simply as a pure virtue signal. And so it's like hanging off their ear. It's like off their ear on top (laughs) of it. Listen, I'm, you know, I'm not as anti-mask as you guys yes. are. Uh, so that they, I actually think that the, the masking is not the, the chief giveaway. The chief giveaway is when you think the masking is the is the failure of ideological consistency. That's yeah. the chief giveaway. Yeah. All the people who say that it's terrible to go to a, a crowd event with Donald Trump and not wear a mask, but then they're like, but you know what? It's very important for you to go into a racial protest about how the United yeah. States is evil. Well, actually, there talk- was literally a story, I think, uh, yesterday on Yahoo. I think it was Yahoo that said somehow they figured out that when, when people are doing these super spreader Black Lives Matter things, and they're destroying everything. Somehow, the virus has actually gone down. Yes, yeah, well, because things. they but said that everybody was staying home. At the, Trump, the, what they said that was is. because everybody was staying home. They said everybody was staying home because of the riots. So the rioters were actually doing you a favor. They were uh, keep up with homes so you wouldn't die by burning down your business. Also, the CDC and, announced today. Yeah. Today, the CDC says that even if you have active COVID, actively have COVID nineteen, you should go vote. It's what woke oh, virus I've ever heard of? What bothers me about this is, and I know this will come as a shock to people. There is no constitutional right to vote for president. Right. There is a constitutional right to freely worship. And yet churches basically at CDC recommendation yeah. remain shuttered all over this country. Yeah. But if you if you're going to vote. By golly, get down there and make sure that there's not a red. What are they calling it? The red uh, the red mirage. The red mirage. Yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't well, turn out their way, it's a mirage. Right it's now, mirage. it is worth noting that uh, Georgia looks like it is lining up for Trump as well. So at least Florida and Georgia. Uh, have lined up for Trump. Arizona looks a little bit dicier based on early stats. Ohio is looking a lot closer than did last time. I remember mm. Trump was supposed to win narrowly in Ohio. He won broadly in Ohio. Looks back to narrow territory. 
You know, that is good news in Georgia. I, I was a little bit more worried in Georgia, and we've seen some polls that come out that have been a little scary, and obviously Stacey Abrams is the governor there, so that makes it very <laughs> difficult. But that, that is good news. And after tonight, she may be the president. And she, may she, may be. Be the president. she may be. This all ends with Stacey Abrams as the president, and we absolutely are in a simulation. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, Dave, I want to go check in with our war room. Do you mind sticking around for one more second? I'm here, I have whiskey, and I think I'm attached to the chair, so I... <laughs> you have to. You have no choice. Oh, wait, and I'll, I'll put these on while we're... Those for your analysis. Yes, yes. Alicia in the Daily Wire war room. Yes, I am here, and I have our very own Cabot Phillips. As you guys mentioned, of course, President Trump just won Tennessee. We have updated our map here. So how is it looking? What's going on? The guys just referenced Georgia as well. Can you break down some of the data from that state? So the two main states we're looking at right now where we have enough data to really start to get a feel for how the states are shaping out, Georgia and Florida. Now, Florida, New York Times, if you believe their projections, has Trump at about 96% to win. The panhandle, one of the large areas remaining for votes to come in, traditionally a conservative stronghold. It's looking very, very good for the president in Florida. Georgia, another state where polls didn't have President Trump ahead. It's going to be incredibly close right now. New York Times has them with a 60% chance of winning Georgia, if you believe those. The numbers that we have right now, with 13% reporting President Trump up about almost 6%. In Georgia, obviously, we're going to have to wait for Fulton County. That's where Atlanta is. That's where most of the results are going to come in. That's where the Democrats are really banking. Fulton, Cobb County, DeKalb County, all counties that are Democrat strongholds traditionally. It's going to be tough to see for Georgia, but it looks good right now. And one of the things about Georgia that we've been discussing Mm -hmm. is the early voting there. So what was the early voting turnout like? Because technically that tends to skew more Democratic, right? Yeah. Technically, you would think that. In past elections, it definitely benefits Democrats. This year, Democrat early voting, not as big because Republicans have been calling on early voting. Democrat mail-in voting is what we're expecting to see very high numbers from. Another interesting point here, we're talking about projections from the New York Times. Another one people like to keep an eye on, the betting market. Sometimes people think you can get a better feel for where it's going with the money. Now, President Trump was sitting down in in the high teens to low 20s earlier in the week. Right now, he's up to 45% in some of the larger betting markets. So it seems like some people think the smart money is lying on President Trump, or at least it's starting to get that way. So that's another thing to keep an eye on as the night progresses. Ohio, another one, the big one that people want to see, Ohio and Pennsylvania next. We just don't have enough data coming in from those states yet. Ohio, especially, where you do have a, a few more votes, but a lot of the key areas that Republicans are waiting on not coming in yet. Okay, and I mean, who knew that Michael Knowles had time to get to Vegas to put in his bets on that? Uh, speaking of something that Democrats spent a lot of money on, $100 million on the race against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, that, it did not turn out. Mitch McConnell has won re-election. Can we look at a Senate map? Actually, we have an update there. Can you give us an update on what's going on with the Senate? Well, if you close your eyes and listen to that sound, that laughter is the affectionately named Cocaine Mitch, laughing at all of the people that poured $100 million into Amy McGrath's campaign. That's what we like to call burning money. I'm picturing the Joker sitting on the cash right before he lights it on fire. That's what anyone who sent money to the McGrath campaign has done with their money. Mitch McConnell, you bet against him. A lot of times it doesn't go well for you. A lot of people did. Mitch McConnell is going to be remaining. We've seen a few other races called for for Republicans uh, in Hoff in Oklahoma, a few other states. Not many big surprises yet in okay. the Senate races. We're holding off on, on announcing any of those yet until we get to some of the more uh, you know, contested elections. Okay. Thank you, Cabot, for that update. Absolutely. Guys, we're going to continue to bring those updates. But right now, we would love to come on over here and get to some subscriber questions. Everybody really wants to know. Um, at what point, this question is for Ben, actually, what point do you think that the riots and looting will start, Ben, if Trump w- ends up winning Pennsylvania? Uh, if Trump wins Pennsylvania, immediately. So I think, first of all, there aren't going to be a lot of folks who, who actually wait until the results are in. I think you're going to start to see unrest tonight hmm. if there's not a clear result for Biden. So I think that if we get to 
9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast, Washington, D.C., New York, um, you know, some of the places that they're worried about this. And it turns out that that it's a very narrow election that looks like it's going to go late into the night. You might start to see some preemptive looting, some preemptive upset. If we hit tomorrow and it looks like Trump's going to win Pennsylvania, <coughs> you will see some active violence for sure. Okay. Next. And can I just say that <coughs> I agree with you. <laughs> wow, dude, that's so wise. wise. Man, wow. that is convincing. Hold on, let me. That's even wiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, agree. Oh, wow. I agree. I agree. Mean, not to get too saucy, but I'm you definitely borrowing those glasses, and I'm going back to Florida, and I'm saying to my wife, sweetheart, would you like to? You know. <laughs> and just see how it works. Yeah, it works, dude. <laughs> I mean, they do have three kids. Okay, next question goes to uh, actually. I want to toss this question to Dave, if you don't mind. We Please. people want to know that, given that the polls were so inaccurate in 2016, do you think that the pollsters may have erred on the safe side this election? We've heard across the board how pollsters have changed. You know, the different levels of which they look at data and what type of people they call and include in their polling. But do you think that they've erred so much on the safe side this year that that they will be reporting and, you know, kind of going too much to the other side, reporting similarly inaccurate predictions. Yeah. You know, I've been polling people on Twitter and in real life asking friends and family and nobody that I know. I got one person to say that about 10 years ago they were polled on a landline. I can't find anyone that was ever polled. Have you guys ever been polled? I've got one text in you've my got, life. You've I got gotten one, one text. text. Have you ever been polled? Never polled. Never been polled. Ben, have you ever been no. polled? That's what okay. happens before or after the ecstasy. I, just, I don't know all the terminology. Wow, you're working blue tonight. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't I don't think that the polls actually have much bearing anymore. It strikes me as a vestige of the old world, and in many ways, no matter what happens tonight, but especially if Trump wins, it seems to me that the the old world is coming to a close now. It's coming to a yeah. close. It maybe hangs on for a, for four more years if if Biden wins or whoever becomes president once Biden is declared incompetent or whatever incapacitated, incompetent, whatever you want to call it. Incompetent, um, we know he is. Incompetent, yes. we know he is. Incapacitated. We also know he is. So yeah. Yeah, but, but in essence, I, I think that the idea that the pollsters are getting this stuff right, it's just more signaling and training us, the way the New York Times tries yeah. to train us, the way all the studies out of Harvard try to train us to think certain things. Well, just, and, and as you know, we did, the, we did the PragerU 1984. I mean, everything they do is doublespeak and confusion. So the idea that the people who lie about everything in the mainstream, that lies about absolutely right. everything, they don't lie about this. This is the one thing that they've decided not to lie about because it's so serious, and yet we don't know anyone that they've talked to about this. Well, this is actually a debate that we were having before the show. Uh, uh, ben and I, uh, Michael was a part of it, Drew was a part of it, is... Can do pollsters have more of an interest to redeem their profession by being accurate or more of an interest in uh, gratifying their client who Gratify is the, the legacy client. media? These people don't. It's, it's almost everything that's gone on with the left over the last couple of years. You would think that Donald Trump being president for the last four years, they might have gone in and reevaluated what they did wrong. But they're in so deep. You don't want to be the pollster, the one pollster. Yeah. Out of the pollster, I guess they have a hang. Do they hang out? Do they have like an AOL chat room or something? Is that a thing? But like, you don't want to be the one pollster who's like, you know, I'm doing this a little bit differently and talking to people a little bit differently. And you're not going to believe this, guys. But I've got Trump up five. So that's why all the polls said the exact same thing. Which, by the way, over the last couple of days, was a lot closer at this point than it was four years ago. So yeah. I just. There's also, there's, there's just a sort of minor historical point here, which is that everything we're talking about, modern social science, modern statistics, modern polling, modern media, modern university, modern state, 
all came up at the same time as part of the same project. Mm-hmm. But actually, the word statistics comes from the word statist. Uh, in statistic in German, statist in Italian. It was all to feed the modern administrative state. So it, it works within that system. If that system starts to break down, then the whole thing breaks down. You've seen the university break down. You've seen the legacy media break down magnificently. And I think the, the last vestige is polling because it, it sounds the most sciency. You know, it sounds the most yeah. factual. But as the system crumbles... That one's going to go too. Well, look at look at exit polling. The idea that there's a pollster outside of the place where you vote yeah. who is going to come up to you and then you're going to tell him what you just did there. I mean, I voted here in Los Angeles. I'm I'm a public person and people know that I voted for Trump. But the idea that I would have talked to a random person, yeah, no especially way. with the stupidity of the masks and everything else, like, oh, yes, yes, let me tell you my life story. You want to come to my house? Yeah. Take a nice cup of coffee. Let's yeah. talk about it. Like, it's all, none of this seems real anymore. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing. There, there is a new world on the horizon, and I think truly, you know, guys like us are, are going to help blaze the trail to it. Or we'll go to the gulags. Or, or we're going to the gulags. <laughs> yeah. We'll be in good company. So we have breaking news right now coming out of Florida. We're going to the Daily Wire war room to get the update. Elisha. Yeah, back to that update. I'm going to head on over to our nifty little map over here and our very own Cabot Phillips. Cabot, what's going on? If I sound a little bit out of breath, it's because I've been running back and forth <laughs> getting all the latest data. Now, yep. Multiple sources have said that President Trump is set to win Florida. They have called it for President Trump, multiple sources. Uh, We're not putting it on the board yet. We're going to wait for a little bit more clarification. All right. But it looks like, barring some kind of unforeseen craziness, President Trump is going to carry Florida. And that is with 86% of the precincts reporting. Is this the breakdown of what is happening? This is the current breakdown right now. So 89% is the most recent data. President Trump is at 50.4%. Biden down at 48.7%, and the, where the remaining votes are coming in from, mm-hmm. traditional conservative strongholds, it doesn't look like there's any way for Vice President Biden to make up the gap in Florida. So we have the first state where it looks like all throughout the election, the polling showed Biden up anywhere from yeah. two, five. Some polls even had him up 10. We did see the polls start to get a little bit closer this week. Mm-hmm. President Trump and Biden alternating being the lead in Florida. But it looks like Florida is going to be going President Trump. Okay, and that is 29 very big and important, or as the the president would say, bigly important. Exactly. This was a must win for President Trump. If he didn't take Florida, statistically speaking, it was going to be nearly impossible for him to win the election before. This is one of the core five states we've been tracking at the Daily Wire. Mm -hmm. So this was a big one for him. They can, for now, breathe a sigh of relief, and now it's on to North Carolina, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, all those big states. All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll be bringing those updates specifically North Carolina and Pennsylvania where we're paying attention. And you've been talking about the polls. Cabot just mentioned the polls were, you know, not necessarily, you know, how (laughs) wrong were they? Once all the votes are counted, we'll see what that margin was. And but if the polls there were trending against the president and the vice president Mm. in Florida, does that mean that other polling data that we've seen out of places like Pennsylvania and North Carolina is going to follow that trend? We're going to be paying attention to that and bringing you guys updates as we get them. And this, by the way, is the big question, is whether now is Florida indicative of other polling errors all over the country, or is it that Florida just outperforms for Republicans, that Florida is trending red? I mean, we did see this last time. Uh, we saw that, that Ron DeSantis defeated Andrew Gilman, a very bad year for Republicans in 2018. Yeah. And we saw that Florida remained rather red. It may be that Florida is, in fact, trending red because Hispanic voters are trending toward President Trump, particularly in Florida, where they are Cuban expatriates, Venezuelan expatriates, Brazilian expatriates, because lumping in everybody from various different countries as Latino and pretending right. that everybody is from as, the same country. As Latinx. 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 By the way, the polling this year would be pretty egregious. The, the 538 polling average did have Florida at 2.5 for Biden. 
they're now predicting that it could be plus 3.4 for Trump. So that's a significant wow. five-point error in favor of, of President Outside Trump. the margin of error. Five. Outside the margin of error. We'll see if that carries over to any place else like, for example, Ohio, which right now looks like it's going to be a real dogfight. Yeah. Mm. So what I will say is that we had wondered at the beginning of the night, would we be in for a short night or a long night? Uh, if it was going to be 2012 all over again, the president would be losing Florida, and we would know there was no path to victory. That is not what we're facing. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, very competitive tonight, picking up the state of Florida, or, or almost certain now to pick up the state of Florida, and therefore is in a great position to battle it out for the rest of the night. Dave Rubin, thank you for hanging out with us. Really appreciate you coming in. I especially appreciate the glasses. Yeah, it's a class to join up. It's been a pleasure being with you. Uh, obviously, I'm never going to see any of you ever again. Yeah, no, and uh, I'm going to go down with the ship here, and you people will you're looking at me very seriously right now. Well, I mean, really, sad. you were it's got, a little you got sad. very sad there. It's, was, it's, a, it's a little sad. I mean, I mean, attending your funeral, I'm going to just think back on this time. <laughs> I know. And think, remember that time before Dave went down in a full-on Scarface blaze of glory doing ecstasy and firing machine guns at Eric you know, Garcetti? Remember that? You joke about my impending doom, but I'm not the one moving to Del Boca Vista, okay? Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro just carried the state of Florida for President Trump. This is correct. A one vote. I am responsible. Just as Candace Owens has radically shifted the black vote in favor of President Trump, I shifted the Florida vote in favor of President Trump by my mere presence. Just as I have historically shifted the vote in favor of Republicans in the state of California. That's how much impact. (laughs) Can I do an all jokes aside to end this? Because I'm not going to see you guys in person for a while. Uh, the fact that you guys are going and you put your money where your mouth is, like, we can fix this on many fronts. I truly believe that. Whether it's me here, you guys there, wherever everybody else ends up, like, this is a country. Like, if we're going to remain a country, then some good people have to stay here and some people have to have to get going. And we'll do it. Let's do it. Let's fix this thing. I have nothing better to do. Do you guys? <laughs> nothing at all. We I really wanted, appreciate I wanted to you. be in the NBA. I appreciate you not only being here, but just your friendship and and kinship over these last several years as we've been launching our business, you've been launching your business. It's been comforting knowing you're right down the street. We'll be a little further away. I uh, like I, I had something to do with your higher hair also. You know, yeah. this hair, I paid good gone, money for this hair. It has gone full. There's something about Mary at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we said all joking aside. I was yeah, getting yeah. sentimental, and now you guys yeah. are picking I, I just want well, to say very seriously, very yeah. earnestly, and no jokes, Dave, the wisdom you have shown us over the past like nine minutes or so since you took the glasses off and then <laughs> chewed on them a little has has floored me and um, and really made me think. He's got to leave now. I'm questioning my sexuality. <laughs> well, look at this. He smolders. The guy smolders. Please. Thank you, guys. It's been a- <laughs> I'm going to stand up and shake your hand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Am I attached to this thing? Thank you, man. Right. And I'm not due to COVID restrictions, so I will catch you later, my Dave, friend. Dave, I'll miss you. See ya. All right. Okay. <laughs> Go to a close up on me so we can get him unplugged before he walks away and tears up the entire set. Okay. Tears up I, the I entire set. Quick note. Um, I love this. This is my favorite part of the evening is when things start to get a little bit worse for Democrats and all of the estimates start to go down. So we don't know where it's going from here. Yep. But one of my favorite parts of the last 2016 election, as you will recall, was watching the estimate on Hillary Clinton go from 99% to 0% over the course of the night. That's right. 538 is now reevaluating their shot that Biden wins the White House. They had him at 90%. They now have him at 66% uh, if, if Trump carries Florida. So this does change the math rather radically. So that is uh, that is definitely a good thing. Again, the, the states keep your eye on now is Ohio. Because Ohio is getting those votes in. Uh, we are still waiting on more results from North Carolina at this point. Um, it is It is amazing to see how Hispanic voters 
in Florida moved dramatically, dramatically away from the Democrats. According to some of the early exit polls, Florida, Hillary Clinton, Hispanics in Florida in 2016, plus 27 for Hillary. In 2020, plus eight for Biden. Hmm. Plus eight for Biden. Okay, that is closing a nearly 20-point gap among Hispanic voters in the state of Florida if those exit polls are accurate. In Georgia, Biden is underperforming by 15% versus Clinton among Hispanics. Hmm. And in Ohio, Hispanics are performing 17 points better for Donald Trump than they did last time around, which demonstrates once and once again, it demonstrates two things. One, Democrats are fools for relying on the demography is destiny argument. That's right. It's a foolish argument. And two, white nationalists are fools for relying on the demography is destiny argument. Right. The argument that only if there are more white voters and fewer Hispanic voters can there be any hope for the rest of the country. Okay, the reality is people are individuals and people will think as individuals if treated as individuals. And that will be the hope of the Republican Party going forward. Oh, apparently, according to the New York Times needle, by the way, they've got those needles back. And I know everybody hates on the needles, but the needles are great because uh, honestly, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that's great about the needles is they do give you like a quick and endur- kind of down and dirty way of knowing exactly where things sort of stand in the race moment to moment. They suggest that Trump is a slight favorite to carry North Carolina. Uh, and obviously they have Trump winning Florida and Trump a heavy favorite to win Georgia. That would be a big miss by the polls, by the way, on Georgia as well. Georgia was trending Trump in the latter days. Uh, according to Real Clear Politics, uh, and if you look at their polling average, uh, Georgia was running basically dead even. Um, 538 had Georgia trending toward trending toward Biden. So we'll see if these polls are systemically wrong. If they're systemically wrong and off, then uh, Trump wins re-election. Unbelievable. So we're proud to welcome back our own Andrew Clavin. We sent him on a bathroom break. He got lost. I think he went up. Went and got himself a lovely dinner, met some nice people out front who were spray painting the front of our building where we have it all boarded up. Uh, you missed our farewell to our pal Dave Rubin. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you also missed the unbelievable news that the president is being some some outlets are now calling Florida for the president. So we are in for a long night. The president's competitive. That looked good. I, you have to remember Quinnipiac had him five points down. Five, that's outside the margin of error. Right? <laughs> I just can't believe that bastard wouldn't use Latinx. As we all know, only, only racists refuse to use Latinx. Racists like every Latino person you've ever met. Can we also celebrate that uh, Mitch McConnell? Oh, yeah, we did that earlier. You weren't here for million that. bucks. I missed the celebration. It was pretty fantastic. We actually did cocaine off the table just in celebration of Mitch McConnell. Oh, I was doing that outside. So oh, yeah. No, they, they, they literally just took a giant pile of money and burned it. It was, it was the Joker and saying, we're just trying to send a message here. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kamala Harris broke into the Joker they, laugh. It was they, fantastic. They should have written like a letter on each dollar bill. Because uh, it's a really long message. But what's going on in Ohio? Ohio is not looking good. Uh, yeah, Ohio is a little bit uglier. Uh, so in, in a lot of the counties that Trump was winning heavily, particularly the sub- suburban counties that he did pretty well in last yeah. time, uh, he's underperforming in the suburban counties mm-hmm. of Ohio. He's really underperforming in places like Cincinnati. He's performing. He, he won the counties surrounding Cincinnati, but they're not showing up in mass numbers. He he. This is showing up closer to what he was pulled at in 2016 than what he showed at in 2016. Okay. So in 2016, a lot of lot of rural white voters showed up for Trump. If they don't show up for Trump in Ohio, it's hard to see him winning Pennsylvania, I think, because if that the question is competing patterns, right? Right. Is Florida the pattern, is or is Ohio the pattern? Right. Of course. In Florida, he overperforms. My tendency is to think that if he underperforms in Ohio or if he underperforms in Texas, that is more likely to predict the night than overperformance in Florida. Because Florida is just a fantastic frickin' state. And not only is Florida a fantastic frickin' state, again, Florida bucked the trend in 2018, which is why Ron DeSantis, rather than a man who was caught in a room with meth and a gay hooker, uh, ended up as, uh, as governor of Florida. 
Yeah, a communist who was caught in a room with meth and a gay hooker. <laughs> he had everything. And he lost it. <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta. We're mighty proud to be gun owners here at The Daily Wire. Every single one of us on this show owns a firearm. We count it an awesome responsibility. When the framers wrote the Constitution, the first thing they did was to make sacred the rights of the individual to share their ideas without limitation by government. That is the First Amendment. The second right they enumerated was the right of the population to protect that speech and their own persons with force if needed. Owning a rifle is a heavy responsibility. Building a rifle is no different. Our friends at Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM for short, build professional-grade rifles built to combat standards. Why? Well, because BCM believes that you deserve the exact same level of protection as any other American. Even if you're a private citizen, you deserve the exact same level of protection that a professional, a soldier, a law enforcement officer might be able to expect from their firearm. The people at BCM assume that when a rifle leaves their shop, it's going to be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen law enforcement officer or a soldier overseas. With that in mind, every single component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans. The people at BCM, well, they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide you with tools that will not fail when it's not just a paper target on the line, but someone actually coming to do you harm. BCM also knows that making reliable, life-saving tools, that's only half the story. And so, Bravo Company Manufacturing is working with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's Special Operations Forces, from the Marine Corps Force Reconnaissance to U.S. Army Special Operations Forces, connecting them with everyday Americans. These top instructors teach the skills necessary to defend yourself, to defend your family, and to defend others. That's what owning a rifle is all about. That's the responsibility of owning a rifle. It's not just a right. It is a duty, the responsible thing to do. Benjamin. So... To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, these dudes are stellar. Head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, upcoming news. That is bravocompanymfg.com. If you need more convincing, find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Again, that's youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Also, while we're at this, just a quick reminder. Candace Owens is coming with us to Nashville. <laughs> Candace Owens is moving to Nashville. And she is joining the Daily Wire. So if you want to help us out, because let's face it, all of the wonderful programming that we are soon to bring you is going to be quite costly and yet incredible. If you want to be part of our team, you need to head on over right now to dailywire.com and you need to subscribe using promo code election for 25% off. It's the best deal you're going to receive for a while. So if you want to jump on board, now is an excellent time to do it and help us defeat the establishment media and become the replacement media. That is our pitch. And we hope that you will join us. And now we can get back to our regularly scheduled program. No tote bag included, by the way. <laughs> but, but you do get the Tumblr, right? I mean, with the, with the actual... With the actual subscription, you get a Tumblr, which if, is better than a tote bag. If you become an annual, tote subscriber, tears. annual subscriber, you get the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr. And Ben is right. We're announcing a lot of really exciting initiatives tonight. Not only is Candace Owens moving to Nashville, not only is she joining the Daily Wire with a show unlike any other show, but we are also pleased to announce tonight, I told you there would be more than one big announcement. The second big announcement is that uh, beginning in the coming weeks, we have made a partnership with our friends over at Prager University. The most, I think, the, listen, there are three conservative organizations that have really emerged over the last five years uh, to, to take new roles and very important roles in the movement. Uh, I think Charlie Kirk over at TPUSA has done something remarkable and important. Uh, I think the Daily Wire, a bit self-serving, but we've done something remarkable and important over these last five years. And our friends at Prager University have done something remarkable and important. We've been fighting the fight for media. They have been fighting the fight for education, five-minute videos at a time. Our friend Dennis Prager and our friend Alan Estrin came up with the idea. CEO Marissa 
has taken it to heights that I don't think any of us saw coming in the early days when me and Jonathan Hay were helping draw little videos for Prager when he was first getting started. <laughs> now these videos have been viewed literally billions of times. And you should be pleased about that because they are watched by people who, you know, are young, people who wouldn't perhaps listen to, say, Rush Limbaugh or wouldn't watch Fox News, and they're getting a deep education. They're learning about the concepts that are actually relevant. In fact, four years ago, uh, when Den when Donald Trump won his surprise 2016 victory, a PragerU video that I had had the pleasure of working on about the Electoral College did 50 million views in the wake of that election. As Americans started asking questions like, what is the Electoral College? Why do we have an Electoral College? And who was, who was there to answer? Who was there to stand in that gap? Our friends at PragerU. In our new partnership with PragerU, we will bring dailywire.com members the entire PragerU catalog uh, behind our paywall on our, we call it an SVOD service, a, a uh, streaming video on demand service. That's the way you watch Ben Shapiro on thedailywire.com. It's the way that you watch Andrew Clavin on thedailywire.com. And now you will be able to watch the entire catalog of remarkable, evergreen, uh, prescient and important videos from our friends over at PragerU. One of the important steps that we're taking, A, to give more value to our subscribers, but more than that, to make sure that you are exposed to the exact content that you need to arm you for the battles that are ahead and to replace this media, academic, uh, institutional structure that is aligned against us. It's not enough to fight the battle of ideas in media. We have to fight it on the level of education, too. We have to teach people the things that they currently do not know. We will be doing that with our friends at PragerU. We couldn't be more excited about it. Uh, I'm also going to welcome to the show a good friend of, well, no one. The man has no friends, but he is a Daily Wire host, and uh, he's sometimes with us when he's in town. People ask all the time, why isn't Matt Walsh part of Backstage? Why isn't Matt Walsh part of your election night coverage? Matt Walsh doesn't like us, and Matt Walsh doesn't <laughs> like airplanes. And when you don't like us, and you don't like airplanes, and you live literally 3,200 miles away, you're just not going to be on the damn show, people. I'm sorry. I try. Believe me, I try. Oh, Matt. What if we sent you a first-class <laughs> ticket? And he's always like, oh, will they make me a mimosa? I don't know, Matt. It's COVID. I can't promise it. Well, if you can't promise me a mimosa, I can't possibly do it. But he is with us tonight, streaming in from his new digs in Nashville, Tennessee, where he'll be obviously much more integrated, I think, into some of these broadcasts than he's been able to be in the past, because we'll be together finally. Our good friend, Matt Walsh. Matt, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for that introduction. It is true that I, I don't like anyone, but I, I do my best to pretend. Not, not very well most of no, the time, but I do try to pretend. You're not fooling anybody, Matt. So, Matt, uh, as a very cynical human being who's always downcast and depressing, are you downcast and depressing tonight or are you upbeat tonight? Uh, and if so, why? Uh, well, my projection was that Kanye West would win the presidency, so I'm, I'm feeling depressed about that. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, looking at it right now, it seems like things are kind of trending like they did in 2016. And um, uh, no, I, I certainly wouldn't call myself optimistic because I never am. But I think <laughs> no if that's how that. it if that's how it turns out, then it's 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 no big surprise because, of course, the Democrats are going to if they lose, they're going to be talking about voter fraud and all these different things. But the reason why they lost, if they lose, it's simply because they're they're horrible and they've done absolutely nothing. They've done not one thing in the last four years to attract new voters, especially the voters they need in some of these states. Everything they've done has been to appeal to, you know, pink haired gender studies majors 
and uh, BLM looters. That's everything they've done in four years has been just to appeal to that set. And what we discover maybe at the end of the night is that there aren't enough of people in that category to uh, win a national election. But we'll, we'll see. So, Matt Walsh, we have been ripping on the media all evening long, and we expect you to do the same as an employee <laughs> of DailyWire.com. We are now billing ourselves as replacement media because our media are such garbage. So please, spend the next two minutes and 37 seconds ripping the crap out of the media because it is well-deserved. Well, well, I mean, that's, that's, no, I'm actually a big fan of the media. You shouldn't have brought me on for that. I'm, I love the national media. I'm big, no, I, listen, they've, uh, we, you know, you look at some of the, the images in, in DC and, uh, in, in New York and other, and you guys have talked about this in some of these cities where they're boarding up windows, uh, and they have to call in the National Guard. You know, I've, in the past, when I've seen other countries doing that sort of thing for their elections, I've always felt good that, and, and felt sort of superior and thought, well, we, we, we don't do that here. I feel so good that we have uh, peaceful elections and we don't have to worry about that. And now we have become that sort of country and we know we have the media largely to thank for it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's no big surprise when you go around telling people that you've got literally Hitler in the White House and he's evil to his core and, um, you know, he's, and, and there are police officers who are prowling the streets, hunting and murdering black people. I mean, these, these lies have consequences and we're seeing the consequences and they're intentional consequences too. This is what the media wants. So I have nothing but, uh, no, nothing but contempt for them. Well, Matt, well, that's exactly oh, what I was looking for. So yeah. honestly, you've just given me what I was looking for right there. Matt, I want you to stick around with us as we welcome our next guest. Uh, I told you that we're, we've made a new partnership with our friends over at Prager University. And indeed, we've always had a partnership with our friends at Prager University from helping with the animation of some of the videos from the earliest days of the company, nearly the earliest days of the company, to also uh, Michael Knowles and I and our own Jared Sechelle having the opportunity to work with Alan Estrin on many of the scripts. We've always seen PragerU as a bit of a sister company, and we're really pleased that we'll be working more closely going forward. And here to help us uh, celebrate that new partnership and to analyze the events of the evening, we have our dear friend, Dennis Prager. Dennis, welcome. I, I am your dear friend. You are our dear friend. <laughs> I, I love you guys. And uh, I'm going to say, I did not expect to say this, but uh, it is what it is. If... Uh, if the uh, Republicans win, it's it's larger than Trump. But but if the Republicans and, and the president win, you and what we do, and and Turning Point and and, and others, we have made a difference. Mm. Yeah. And I uh, uh, I am thrilled that we have because this country is too important to the world. Uh, Lincoln was right. It is the last best hope on earth. And I allow me to say one other thing. The story of the day is is uh, is the boarding of the stores in America's cities. You could cry that we have lived to see this day, but there's something yes. even more dark about it that no one or well, we are the media are not. And a lot of Americans are not blaming the left for the fact that people are boarding up their stores. Right. As if I, I heard a thing on one on one uh, broadcast. I don't I don't remember what chaos will break out. That's like when a five year old. Yeah. Yes. It's like when a five year old uh, drops, uh, spills uh, grape juice on a white tablecloth. 
it fell. (laughs) No five-year-old says, I spilled it. That's what this is. No one has, no one does the riots. They, it's chaos breaking out. Mm. At at best, and that's if they don't actually blame right-wing. Oh, that's right. Well said. That's right. And the shocking thing, too, is that this is, these are not riots of the, of the lower orders. These are riots inspired by the richest, most successful, most powerful people among us. Inspired and encouraged by media giants, uh, by Amazon, by Netflix, feeding into a narrative that makes people enraged at their country and makes people feel that this is an evil place. The very people who have succeeded most here are the ones who are selling this narrative. So there's a phenomenon that I've been thinking about for a while here. There's an author named Nicholas Nassim Tlaib who writes about this called Renormalization. And it's how fringe ideas are basically laundered into majority propositions. And I think that's what we've been watching with regard to the tolerance for rioting and looting by by this small group of people. Um, the, The basic idea here is that the... If, if you have, let's say, to, to do this briefly, let's say that you have uh, a family and one of the members of the family is vegetarian and they say, okay, I can only eat vegetarian, but you can eat what you want. The mom is going to make one meal and it's going to be vegetarian for everybody because she doesn't have time to make two meals. And then you take that family and you put them in a block party and they say, we, ha- we eat vegetarian for our daughter, so you can make one meal or you can make two meals. They make one meal. It's the same thing with regard to the rioting and the looting. If you have one intransigent and radical group that refuses to go along with any silent majority proposition, they can mobilize entire contingents of large-based companies who refuse to say no because you have very much a a sort of um, concentrated benefit to rioting and looting, but a diffuse diffuse downside to that. And until the American people say the diffuse downside... it's It's also the weaponization of decency. This is one of my gripes with some of our friends who remain never Trump. David French, John Piper, Mitt Romney, some of these guys who... Uh, you know, John Piper and, and David French, I think, have articulated this point of view uh, the most eloquently over the over the past few weeks. But what they're what they really object to, they'll say Donald Trump doesn't have character. And we all know that Donald Trump doesn't have traditional virtues, as we might uh, as we might describe them. But as we've discussed online, he does have virtues. It's a different set of virtues and an important set at that. Right. Not seizing power during covid, uh, an aversion to violence that we haven't seen in a chief executive uh, really since Reagan, yeah. since Ronald Reagan. Those are actual virtues. They were virtues that were missing in our chief executives most recently in, in our history. But he's not what we might call a decent man. He's not what we might call a nice man. And there is an important role in the world for decency. There's an important role in the world for niceness. There's an important role in the world for kindness. But it isn't the most important role. And one of the things that's happened with, I think, the Christian church, I suspect uh, the Mormon church, I suspect to some degree the, the, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, community as well, is that since the 80s, we've started to pivot away from hard theological truths and pivot toward niceness as a replacement for religion. And this is why evangelicals, by the way, now are more likely to be socialist than to believe in in concepts like the infallibility of Scripture, which I'm not making I'm not advocating for the infallibility of Scripture necessarily, but it's certainly a long held Christian belief. Uh, that you would expect the evangelical church to adhere to. And yet instead they're, they're leaning towards socialism. Why? Well, because their religion has been reduced down to nice. niceness. Yeah, it's been reduced right. down to decency. By the way, uh, you know, uh, I've devoted my life and I'm finishing volume three of my five volume commentary on the Torah. By the way, you should go and pick it up. Like my wife reads it every Shabbat. It's fantastic. People Is that right? Yeah, you absolutely. Made my day. Thank you for that. Give, give her a big hug for me. I'm sure you will anyway, but... I will in the great state of Florida. Yeah. Where I, we're going to talk about how I'm taking you to Florida with me. Uh, fair, oh, God, my son would love that. Uh, 
And, and you know, God isn't always nice. <laughs> Certainly. He's just. Yeah. But not but not always nice. I, there, by the way, there is no biblical word for nice. <laughs> there isn't. That's it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And and uh, my my friend Jeremy Borino, which he could be here with us today, has pointed out frequently. You know, you have. You have pointed out frequently that Jesus isn't all that nice. No. It, it was very hard to find Jesus being like a pal. You know, he is actually. He is actually <laughs> that's, in, that's, in, that's right. He's in but he's face. portrayed in movies yes. like a nebbish. As a hippie. <laughs> no, a nebbish. Worse than a hippie. I've always wanted he's, to. He's wait, nerdy. There's a difference. There's, there's something worse than a hippie. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, never, never be the I, I've, I've, the <laughs> I've often said I want to write a book called Jesus the Jerk. Yeah. Because the way that Je- Jesus treats people out of love, but biblical love isn't sentimentality. Right. Biblical love means that you speak to people truthfully. You tell them what's in their best interest to hear. Love from a biblical point of view would be telling someone the thing that no one else will yeah. dare to say to them. Also, you know, there are virtues for the moment. And this mm-hmm. is not the moment for niceness. The thing about Donald Trump that I think has struck me from the very beginning is that I'm sorry it takes a man like Donald Trump to do what he has to do, but it does. I just don't think another kind of man, a nicer man, a more elegant man, would have stood up to the kind of pressure he has gotten. And that pressure. I I don't understand. The the issue, the the, the never Trumpers, a guy called my my radio show today Mm -hmm. and he was so sincere and eloquent. And he just said, please, Dennis, explain to me never Trumpers. I know all of them. Most of of them have made PragerU videos. And I said to him that in truth, I still do not. I can't, I cannot explain why God made the mosquito and I cannot explain (laughs) never Trumpers. They are tied for first place among the riddles of life that I, how do you recognize the damage the left is doing to America? And, and be a never Trumper. Uh, you know, to, to be slightly kinder to some of them, because I think we're friends with all the same people. Uh, I think that I, I will make a division between people who have basically decided that they have withdrawn from politics out of mere disgust at everything there is political. And they're like, I'm just not going to vote versus the people like the Lincoln Project who are actively fomenting. I think, who are contrary to all I think of our what, that's what he was referring so to. So if he's talking about the Lincoln Project, they're yes. just Democrats. For, it's a grift. I mean, honestly, I have no other way of putting it. It's a, it's a pure grift Max from these Boot. folks. Who used to publish me in the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, yeah. I, this, he wrote a couple of great books on uh, no, global warfare. I don't know what yeah. happened. And 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 he is he is the child of refugees from the Soviet Union, or he came from the Soviet Union. And he called the week that that Trump was elected. He said he is Stalin. Stalin. Wow. Trump. Ha- My mother would have said, wash your mouth out with soap. In fairness, the only difference between Donald Trump and Stalin is about 20 million people. (laughs) The only difference, Dennis. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, so Dennis, let's talk about why you're you're staying here in this hellhole state. So I I, I have an answer. I have have left. Uh, And I will tell you, I've been gone for like a month. And? It's phenomenal, dude. Like, what are you doing? The air is clean. It's a red state. There's a great Jewish community. You have a kid there. Yes, what are you doing? Why are you paying right. your extraordinary levels of taxation to this hellhole state so that they can promote all the values you hate? Because Why? Because I, I have so many people I love here. Mm. That is the only answer. It is a good They invented answer. phones, Dennis. I'm sorry? They invented phones. Yeah. The internet exists. You can't even I, see them I, due to I COVID. I created a synagogue here. You These did. are people I love. Obviously, we meet every Saturday. There, there is, uh, That's the issue. There, there, for me, people is first. People uber alles. 
<laughs> How's that? Yeah, remind me of a song. Inject a little. <laughs> After all, we're on the right. <laughs> I think what you're saying is actually important. One of the things, you know, it distresses me from time to time, the business that we're all in. There's something unpleasant about the business that yeah, we're all in, yeah. right? And uh-huh. we, we referred earlier to Moses not getting to go into the promised land and David not being able to build the temple. There's a there's a cost that you pay to wield certain kinds of influence, a cost to leadership, a cost to wealth, a cost to fame, cost to the kinds of influence that we've built with our lives. Um, we play in a space where we focus on politics as the most important thing that we talk about. But politics is not the most important thing that there is. It's mm. a fundamentally left-wing premise to think that politics is the most important thing. Of course, the most That's important exactly thing are the people right. in your life, the people yes. you have, you, the people that God well, has actually given well, well, you. Well, that touch. goes to one of my core beliefs. You know, I've written a book on happiness, and I'm not yes. mentioning it to sell the book. Okay? I just want to make that clear. I'm mentioning it because... But he's I not been, not trying to sell it. No, no, I, I'm not not. Buy a used copy, folks. I don't give a hoot. I, 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 I'm saying it because I have... I have known from an early age how important happiness is, the moral significance of happiness. Yes. And uh, here is where I, I do an hour every week on my radio show called The Happiness Hour. That's for 20 years I've done it. So that is a, a thousand hours of, of unhappiness. And every week I say, okay, it's the happiness hour because the happy make the world better and the unhappy make it worse. And I, I... While the hour is not political, on other hours of my show, I have noted, I have never met a happy leftist. I have met happy and unhappy liberals, happy and unhappy conservatives, but there is no, no, the moment you become happy, you leave, leave leftism. Here's a, I made up a riddle. I've made up one riddle in my whole life. Ready? <laughs> what do you call a happy black? A Republican. <laughs> it's a good riddle. Yep. It's a good riddle. Yeah. I think that one of the problems in religion and one of the problems with charity, you know, is that it's very easy to dehumanize people you don't have to interact with. Mm. So people love to give money to Africa or they love to give money to uh, in foreign contributions, but they don't want to actually give money to their brother who they loaned money to five years ago and he kind of blew through it. And that's a little bit of a drinking problem because he's a real human to them. They actually know his flaws. They're able to you're sort of able to idealize people you don't know. And one of the problems that I see in politics is. We take the actual communities that we are in, and social media has made this much worse. We take the community we are actually in, and we lessen its value to us in favor of these abstract communities of strangers who agree with us, who like us on social media, thumbs up the things that we say. Hey, I, I had this uh, conversation with my mom one time, She, and as all of us do, she got riled up about something that someone we know said on Facebook, and she was upset about it. We've all been in that same position. But in that moment, I realized, like, that was my... That was my across-the-street neighbor when I was growing up. Like, when I was a small child uh, and I would ride my bicycle in the street, if I'd been hit by a car, that's the actual person who would have come out mm-hmm. and cared for me. And politics would have been meaningless in that situation. Yeah. And, and But because of the sort of evil temptation of politics, we're dehumanizing those people in our lives. You, and hum- You know, and, it's true. It's, it's the old Charles Schultz peanuts uh, gag. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. And the, and the fact is, I feel exactly the opposite. That's it. That be, I, that's it. That's I, our defining element as yeah. conservatives. I mean, I, I, I have I, contempt for humanity and love humans. That's it. That's my that's line exactly, all my life. Bingo. bingo. Yes, that's bingo, the way I, right. I meet every person I meet. I find something incredibly beautiful. Yes. yes. As a race, we really are. No, yeah. you hit it on the nose. Yeah. 
So we're going to get an update from our Daily Wire war room on what's happening in the various states right now. I know as much as you love our insight, yeah, what you care you. the most about, yeah. who's about to beat the president. So, Alicia, tell us what's happening out there. Hi, Alicia. I mean, what is fascinating is I'm hanging out in this war room with all the people that are gathering all the data, that understand all the data, like our very own editor, Ian Howarth. And, like, when I say hear him say, wow, 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 <laughs> and I'm like, what happened? Tell everyone why you're wowed. I mean, especially as an English person, if I show any emotion at all, you're like, okay, something's up. What's going on? (laughs) So after it looks like Florida was going, like, in the direction of Trump, fingers crossed there, we took a sigh of relief, blood pressure went down a little bit. Now we're looking towards Georgia and North Carolina. So we've got some data here, which we found just fascinating. So New York Times projection for Georgia is 85% Trump, and the New York Times projection for North Carolina is 75% Trump. Wow. Mm. So just some, like, Data to add some context there. Georgia, 24% reporting. And Biden is outperforming Clinton by more than 10% in Fulton County. Okay. Which we're Atlanta. So we should take that with a pinch of salt because okay. if they have huge turnout there, Stacey Abrams, you know, the governor of Georgia, queen of Narnia, <laughs> whatever her position is, she's, uh, she's pushing pretty hard for some voter turnout there. Okay. And North Carolina, 60, uh, 67% reporting. So the numbers look a little better there. Holding our breath, because if those go Trump's way, this night's looking better. Well, I mean, we already said that if Florida went his way, which it, it is, it was going to be an easier path to victory. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, you have been looking at the data in Georgia. So you're saying, like, fascinating that the projections are showing that it could be trending Trump, but you're still waiting on the Atlanta area? Yeah, I, I want to see some of those areas. Same as, like, Southern uh, Florida with Miami-Dade. Mm-hmm. I want to see Biden perform weaker there before I start celebrating too hard. I okay. Think, All right. Well, I mean, we have some Daily Wire members that are probably in the middle of, of celebrating right now as they are watching this. Thank you for that update. Thank we'll you. come back to you guys when uh, we have more updates, we promise. And for right now, we're going to get some member questions because people definitely want to know. Um, first of all, my mom wants to know if I have done ecstasy, and that's a hard no. Just, <laughs> just, letting, just, just letting Nana know there, no hot, no ecstasy, none of, none, none of the things, never been to Coachella, don't plan on going at all. Um, wanted to toss a question to Dennis Prager, if we can, because we yeah. have some awesome Daily Wire fans over there. And they want to know from the great Dennis Prager, um, how long are you staying in California? No, I'm just kidding. The, you've already gotten <laughs> enough. <laughs> you got enough there. But Dennis, is it actually possible to turn California? Do you think, like Dave Rubin was saying earlier, uh, are people... Enough people disgusted with Eric Garcetti and Gavin Newsom that we could see a trend in, you know, two Republicans here. Uh, I don't see it because this is uh, this is a puzzle up there with the uh, mosquito issue. (laughs) Why don't people hold the left responsible Mm. for for what they do? I, I it's a puzzle to me. California has been ruined to ruin California actually takes an effort. Right. It's yeah. rich. The greatest weather literally on Earth, with the possible exception of Perth and Cape Town. I've looked into it. The greatest weather on Earth, the greatest natural resources, including farming. I mean, n- n- natural in every way. We have everything. And it, it is the place of joy. It, it, go west, young man. This is where the opportunities were. The left has ruined California. And they're not held responsible. This is what blows. The, the right is held responsible for what it doesn't do. We blamed uh, Katrina on, on Bush. Right. We, drained, we blamed, uh, uh, by the way, 
that we blame coronavirus on the president. Why doesn't why didn't the Republican Party take out ads? Then do you blame the Belgian prime minister for the fact that there are more deaths per million in Belgium? Right. Do, you, do you blame every country's leaders for the coronavirus deaths or only America's leader because you hate Trump? So, Dennis, I'm going to cite Dennis Prager back to you because you know the answer to your own question, which is this is a religious worldview. They have made leftism their religion. And so it's completely unfalsifiable. If leftism doesn't perform, it's because it has not been sufficiently tried. If if if, right. if Donald Trump is in office, then you get to blame everything bad that happens on Donald Trump. And if Hillary Clinton had been in office, then it would have been she saved two million lives. It's a completely unfalsifiable thesis. That's the answer. You know, it is. So it's no longer in the mosquito realm. Right, exactly. All I had to do is cite a man named, named Dennis Prager. Th- His videos are now that available at so DailyWire.com, by the way. DailyWire.com. His videos will now be available. Dennis, if you'll stick around with us, we have another good treat for our Daily Wire viewers right now, and that is that we are joined by and also joining, because of the magic of the Internet, it's a cross-stream. I don't know who gets to take credit for it, but, you know, as long as it's me talking, I'm going to take credit for it. We're being joined currently by our good friend, Stephen Crowder, who is also yeah. live all night, the way that we are. Look at him, that handsome Yes, we are live. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. I can hear you, well, Stephen. I tried, to, I tried to call in, and then Dennis Prager over there was holding court for some reason. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a university or something like that. Dude, that's Phil Jackson. Dennis, we got stuff to do, too. Uh, um, well, listen, I want to know what you guys expect tonight. I went through why I think it's far more likely for Trump to win than uh, not, and how Biden actually needs to run. The only person who needs to run the board tonight is Biden. Biden needs to win Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. He needs to win all of them if Trump holds on to North North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, which I think he will. And I sort of contrasted this with the, uh, the, the, the modeled party votes that we saw in states, and it was accurate. Would we say, guys, to, to the letter with Florida yeah, thus far? Cool. Yeah. And I think we'll see yeah. it in Ohio. So what are you guys expecting? What's the feeling uh, over there between the two Gentile? well, I guess one Gentile <laughs> and two and a half Jews? <laughs> <laughs> so... As you know, actually, Dennis and I together add up to two Jews. I'm like half, and Dennis is like a Jew and a half. <laughs> um, you know, the the uh, I think that the feeling. Wait, uh, are you guys just going to avoid the incredible discomfort that Andrew Clavin converted from Judaism? <laughs> oh, just, yeah, we just ignore that. We, we, we pretend okay, that's right, it now. Until, until right. they need the magic healing, Steve. All right. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it all comes out in God's ledger. You should after. watch Andrew handle snakes. It is remarkable. <laughs> By the way, Clavin will be the first person to find out whether he was right or wrong in this movie. <laughs> so and you will, you'll get a note. You're going to get a note. Isn't so let's, so uh, I think that the feeling in this room At right now. At least his note will include a tip. Go ahead. <laughs> Cautious optimism, I think, is is the is the feeling in this room, at least for me. Cautious optimism. Uh, right now, they're saying that North Carolina looks like it's it's trending Trump. Georgia's trending Trump. Texas is going to stick Trump, which means the next states that we're really going to find out about are Pennsylvania and Ohio, and yeah. uh, and there, these are all too close. These are all too close for comfort. So I think uh, I don't want to no. get over. No, 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 Ohio is not too close for comfort. So Ohio Stephen, is not a swing state. Stephen, you spend more time than we do in the Rust Belt. I mean, you have, uh, yeah. you have a lot of roots in Michigan and spend a lot of time there and, and war with their governor <laughs> routinely. Uh, could, <laughs> yes. tell us, tell us what you're thinking about those states. Why isn't Ohio a swing state? What are you saying that we're missing? 
Well, Ohio is not a swing state because if you look at the early voting, um, and I had this up before, uh, actually Donald Trump won Ohio by, I believe it was eight points last go around, but actually, uh, Democrats outnumbered Republicans in 2016, which means there was a huge portion of Democrats who voted for Trump, registered Democrats. And even now with the early voting, without any of today's voting in, we're already seeing Republicans with, uh, a, a pretty wide margin in Ohio versus Biden. So if you believe that Democrats will come out today and vote, outvote Republicans three to one, then maybe. Otherwise, I don't even think it's close. Now, outside of that, Michigan, there's about a four-point spread when you look at the uh, the modeled party no, uh, model. But again, Donald Trump won that where he was down about four points. Again, so that would mean that if he's down four points, he could be up seven, really, in Michigan, because a lot of Democrats will vote for Donald Trump. Now, I don't know that Donald Trump will be uh, victorious in Michigan or Pennsylvania. I don't think we'll know Pennsylvania until we look in every single ditch and find a few extra million uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. But I will. here's the question, right? Logically speaking, if Donald Trump hangs on to North Carolina and Georgia, which everyone was saying was a swing state, and I said, uh, I'm very, very confident in Florida and Ohio long before Georgia and North Carolina. So if those go Trump, I am, I mean, I, I will, I will eat this bag of coffee, Black Rifle, wonderful sponsor, if Ohio goes to Biden. And I also would be surprised to see Arizona go to Biden. So when people say that, guess what? Trump just needs to win either Pennsylvania or Michigan. If that map that I just laid out for you remains true, guess what? Biden needs to win Minnesota, not enough. Wisconsin, not enough. Add Michigan, not enough. Pennsylvania, now he gets over it. What do we think is more likely? That Donald Trump keeps the states that we've all agreed upon here and wins either one Michigan or Pennsylvania, or that Biden runs the entire blue wall? I think the former is more likely, and uh, Michigan could go either way. But I don't think Ohio is too close for comfort, Ben. I don't want to say that you're a defeatist, but come on, there's no way Ohio is going for, for I, Biden. I'd be I'm very still, surprised. I'm still getting over Ben Shapiro being cautiously optimistic. That's for the rest of us. That's funny time. Cautiously optimistic for Ben is still yeah. very negative. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I, I have a question for you that transcends the political. Are you yes. actually, are you strapped right now? Yes. What are you wearing? Uh, this is a wonderful, uh, actually this is, I'm going classic. This is a 357 Magnum, uh, Smith, uh, Smith and Wesson model 686. It's an old revolver that, uh, carries seven shots, a 357 Magnum and some moon clips in here. So we have many guns in this office. We don't live in I'm California. Just, I don't know are if you're investigating in Nashville a, yet. Are you investigating a murder? Like what, what exactly is going on over there? <laughs> Well, you know what? I will tell you this. I wore it once for open carry, and I came home, and my wife just got very comfortable. So, <laughs> good enough for me, dude. Yeah, I can't argue with that. My wife likes suspenders, but who am I, Larry King? So I just wear the open carry, and my wife likes it. She's like, I really like it, and it, I, I enjoy it, and uh, it makes me look tougher than anyone else on this stream, which is good. Which it's, is really all listen, I was If you didn't for. look tougher Low than the people on this stream, you'd be in real trouble. <laughs> I, I will say, and I really rarely pay you compliments. Well, Dennis Prager's a big guy. He's like six foot five. Well, yeah, you so, don't want to. You don't want to wrestle with Dennis. That's for sure. But I, I rarely give you compliments on the account of I hate you and all. Yeah, and I got yeah, to see yeah. you be waterboarded that time. That was, you don't even need a gun. You're a freaking giant who practices Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think that you're right. going to take good care of yourself. 
Well, um, thank you very much. Uh, but that being said, in the street, if it, I've always avoided physical altercations. And I will say this to anyone who tells you this out there. If it does come down to a physical altercation, I'll take a gun. Just like the whole Gracie family who created the UFC. They're like, in the street? What are you, out your mind? I'm going to go bang, bang, shoot. You're dead. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to roll Basically, around the mats and drunk uncle jujitsu, But otherwise, they're getting some uh, 357 or my wall. The, the real reason that he knows... Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just because that's how he gets to know people and greets them. Literally, the first time he came over to my house, he put me in a headlock and put me in a sleeper hole. <laughs> <laughs> Almost knocked me out. This no, is a no, fact. No, no, Absolute no, no. fact. That's a lie. I tapped out. Ben, ben, correct that lie because you're an honest guy, and I don't want the alt-right people to go out there with ammo and perpetuating a negative <laughs> stereotype. I did not walk up and choke you. I asked you, and you said, okay, be careful, and you you forgot to mention that you had a hernia. <laughs> you didn't tell okay, me. Okay, first of all, I'm Jewish. It goes without saying I have a hernia. It goes without saying I have a hernia. Come on. And then I was outside of Ben Shapiro's apartment going, I think you live where they shot the original Karate Kid. Stephen and I have the weirdest non-sexual S&M relationship. <laughs> <laughs> like the first time we got together in a room, he put me in a, in a headlock. And then I watched him be waterboarded. Yeah. And frankly, we just need to stay out of the same state as that. <laughs> you know what was worse than waterboarding? I was at Ben Shapiro's that, and I thought we would never talk again. Because Ben Shapiro put me up for, I won't name it specifically, but he put me up, he recommended me, he was very nice, for a morning radio drive show. That's true, I did. Where it was like yeah. a news show, and he said, here, cool, uh, yeah. he had his whole, uh, I think his show was in Orlando, he had his whole radio set mm-hmm. up. And then, like, the day before I did it, I was going to go, I'm going to do what this show is. And they said, we don't want any opinion. It's straight news. I went, oh. oh. And I bombed in Ben Shapiro's <laughs> den so badly that I remember sitting there for five minutes before I opened the door just because I didn't want to look Ben in the face. I was like, you looked me in the eyes, and they told me to do straight news. And I made a joke about They're like, what? Ben said, what did you know? Like, something about my penis size. I don't know. I didn't break FCC rules. But I know they didn't like it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ben. Uh, so, no, I do remember it's that. Been it's been a rocky road. It's been a rocky road. Let's just it focus in on, again on the fact that you have a wife and I have a wife and, and all that. Yeah. Let's go back to that. I guess all Let's focus on the fact that you have a very, very good-looking wife. That's right. And, and right. So, so, so does Carter. I know. This is, yeah. it's, not, it's not a fair world. I mean, I think we have to it take It's not a fair no. world. Hey, by story. the way, by the way, I just saw Ben Shapiro's sister for the first time three days ago. Really? It oh, is amazing God. how much they look alike. She's not going any place good. But it's insane. It's insane. They look alike. They look alike, but she's also beautiful. It's like it's kind yes. of like a square circle. It's, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. My, a friend of mine uh, met the president for the first time. He's a middle-aged guy, uh, and he has a beautiful wife. And they, he told me he met the president. This was basically the entirety of the dialogue because they posed for a picture. And uh, he said to the president, Mr. President, my daughter is currently interning, which she is, at the White House. He has like fourth grade daughters, Uh-oh. this guy. And Trump looks at the guy with total seriousness and says, I hope she got her looks from your wife. <laughs> that was the entirety of the conversation. Hail to the chief began playing in the background. That same story happened with Joe Biden. He said, I hope she uses Pert Plus. <laughs> True story, and then we will have to let you guys go. We were, uh, you know, we taped this video the other day where I was asking people about uh, Charlottesville, very fine people on both sides. It was a terrific no one... video, by the way. I thought Thank you did you a great much. job with it. 
I made a horrible mistake. I said Charlottesville, North Carolina. Of course, I know it's Virginia and Charlotte, North Carolina. That's yeah. one of those things. So fact check me. Um, but uh, so I, I want to make sure that I'm clear about mm. that. But what happened was um, I don't remember what I was going to say. What were we talking about before this? Something. Oh, oh, oh. There was a lady saying that Donald Trump was sexist. And I said, OK. And you believe that and half Asian Bill, my lawyer, will like this. And I said, and you you believe this. Why should well, I think he hates everybody. He doesn't have any respect for him. And I said, OK, but you believe that Biden does. She said, yes, absolutely. And I did all of these equations in my head. I swear to you, within two seconds, I was this close to just leaning into her and going <laughs> and sniffing her. And then I said, no, wait a second. If I do that, I'll get sued. But then I said, wait, that would be absolutely hysterical because I could get sued for doing exactly what Joe Biden did. However, I don't want to be locked up in lawsuits. So maybe I'll just say. What if I sniffed you right now? And I felt like that would undercut the argument. So I said nothing. But all of those calculations. About I, I just want to talk about to lean and go. the maturity, the mature, watching the maturing of Stephen Crowder. Is <laughs> You're right. I absolutely three years ago, I would have just been, I would have sniffed her. I would have been like nibbling her earlobes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Stephen, this thanks is for- Thanks for okay, hanging out ahead. with us tonight, and thanks for your prediction. I, I'm hopeful uh, that you know more about the Rust Belt than we do. I'm hopeful that your way of looking at this is the right way, because I think the one thing we all know is that that hair sniffer cannot be the president of the United States. No. Right. Well, let me ask you one question. One question, mm-hmm. everyone. Arizona. Arizona. How do you think it goes? Well, I mean, the, the way that Trump is performing with Hispanics in Texas, uh, I'm a lot more right. uh, positive than than I was earlier today about Arizona. I, I thought it was a nice edge. I think I got to favor him in Arizona now. What about the black vote uh, that we've said might be the biggest ever for a Republican? So it is in Florida, but we we don't have enough stats. And we, we are seeing Georgia some movement. Would be significant. We're seeing some That's we're true. seeing some movement, not really in Georgia as far as I've seen, but North Carolina. Some of the some hey, of the majority hey, black districts. Hey, Men- hey Mensa members, let's stay on Arizona. I wanted to go out on a quick note. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona, does everyone say Trump or Biden? And yeah, I gotta Trump. Let go. I'll say Trump. I'll say yeah. Trump in Arizona. Arizona yeah. Okay. Uh, the question is All the right. Senate race in Arizona. Mm. Yeah, that yeah that's, that's a good point. Way. All right. Thank you, guys. DailyWire.com. Where's your stream uh, for people to watch it? DailyWire.com. Thank you, Stephen. Okay. And thanks to all of our friends at The Blaze. And Lateral Absolutely. Crowder. We may check in with you later. All right. Be well, it. gentlemen. We will see you. We Be well. Be well. Stephen Crowder. By the way, uh, Tom Tillis is running a little ahead right now of President Trump's vote total in North Carolina. We haven't paid any attention to the Senate races thus far. Gardner's already out. They already (laughs) called Gardner as done, but that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Right. The ones to keep an eye on tonight are Tom Tillis in North Carolina. You want to keep an eye on Joni Ernst in Iowa. You want to keep an eye on Susan Collins in Maine. And I I think that our friends in the war room are ready to give us an update uh, on what's actually happening from a data point of view. So let's go to Alicia Krauss. Hey guys, we actually have a lot of updates right now, and then we're going to toss it to Cassie in just a moment for some social media checkmark updates as well. Cabot Phillips, what is happening? So we let you know earlier, Florida is still looking very good for President Trump. Again, going to take a near miracle for Biden to pull that off. Now moving a little bit more north, Georgia also looking very good for President Trump. 35% reporting right now. The president is up about 15 points. Now we're still waiting for more votes to come in from Fulton County, where Biden is at about 80%. That's where Atlanta is. So now the real question becomes how much ground is he able to make up in Fulton County, Gwinnett County, Marietta County, all Biden strongholds. He's going to have to just hope that voter turnout is high enough to keep him there. The New York Times, though, is projecting, if you believe their projections, 81 percent chance of a victory for Trump in Georgia. Moving up a little bit more to North Carolina, the New York Times projection there, 
86% chance of a Trump victory in wow. North Carolina, 78% of the vote reporting. The president does trail by about three percentage points at the moment, but okay. a big part of that is what the expected votes that are going to be coming a little bit later. Florida, again, looking like an almost sure Trump victory. In Virginia, interesting situation playing out. Right when the polls closed, yeah. Fox News was the only <laughs> uh, polling service or only Trump news outlet that strange. called Virginia right away. However, a lot of other outlets are holding off on calling it because right now President Trump is up 20 points with 40 percent reporting. Wow. And some of those counties, the reason people are holding off on holding, some of the northern counties, Arlington County, Prince George County, other ones like that, or Prince William County, other mm-hmm. counties like that, traditionally places you'd expect Biden to perform, wasn't a huge voter turnout in some of those counties. So we're waiting for a lot of absentee ballots to come in. Those might be a little bit later to bring it more Democrat votes in. That's what the ex- expectation is. Okay. But Virginia, much closer than people were expecting. Finally, the Republicans have lost their first seat in the Senate. Cory Gardner in Colorado wasn't polling well and, as expected, has lost. The Republicans down now to 53 uh, in the Senate. Okie dokie. Thank you for that update. And we'll Absolutely. be back. They'll take uh, Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Get the, to answer that question for you, Dennis, yes, a lot of outlets have already called Alabama, as you can see on the map over there. We're going to continue updating the map. And to update you here now about what's happening on social media, we have our very own Cassie Dillon. So right now on social media, all the talk is Florida. The left is very mad at Florida right now to where the, the Daily Show has even put out a little video of blowing up Florida. So that's quite interesting. And then we also have uh, we have Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project announcing her next writing gig. She wants to write a piece about how the Latino uh, community is contrived of ethnic category that artificially lumps white Cubans with black Puerto Ricans and indigenous Guatemalans, yada, yada. So I guess the... I guess the Cuban vote is now canceled out of the Hispanic community, according to Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, <laughs> There's going to be actual purity tests now. Uh, but our, right, our lovely White House press secretary said that she's excited for the surge for President Trump in the Latino community, and it's happening right now, primarily in Miami. And just one more quick update. It looks like the violence that was happening outside of Washington, D.C., outside of the White House, has now kind of slowed down, and now it's a dance party. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see how long the dance party continues when uh, we have more results coming in. Cassie, thank you for that. Although I have to say that uh, I've never agreed with the left that words could be violence. Uh, I, violence is just violence. Like violence is when someone's fist connects with your chin. Now that I've seen that line dancing, <laughs> I'm willing to reassess all of my previous positions on what constitutes violence and what does not. Here, here's something interesting. Henry Olson, who's one of the best poll watchers I know, a very uh, honest, you know, he's a conservative, but very honest, never lets his bias uh, get in the way. He uh, forecast a Biden victory last year, last uh, election, he was the closest to forecasting a Trump victory, and he said Biden's going to be a very comfortable win in the Washington Post. He's dialing that back. Is he? He's starting to. He says. He says I don't like to eat crow, but the more I look at the data, the more I think I was too optimistic for Biden. He's not calling for Trump, but he is dialing it back, and that's that to me is very encouraging because he's just a smart, smart guy who sees There's things an interesting, the way they are. Uh, sidebar that I'd like to bounce off you. I don't. This is not my own original thought, but I I heard this many years ago, and it turned out, uh, I think in the Carter race, that in every presidential race, the happier candidate Mm -hmm. won. And it's a a very interesting uh, observation. If if President Trump loses, that would be an exception to 
a pretty ironclad rule. Could that possibly be true? Or do we grant that Mitt Romney was yeah. less happy than Barack Obama? Have you ever met Mitt Romney? <laughs> <laughs> Mitt, Mitt, Mitt Romney, I campaigned for Mitt Romney. Uh, th- th- there's a certain, everybody acknowledges it. I mean, there's a certain uh, woodenness. That's fair. To, to his personality. He may be more, may be Obama, more truly happy. Oh, I don't, that's, nobody knows who's truly happy. Uh, so the, your psychiatrist may know, <laughs> your spouse may know. Oh, you know Bill Clinton is truly happy. <laughs> oh, I don't think, I don't think Bill Clinton, is, Bill Clinton is truly happy. I'm taking back my happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write a book on certainly, it. Certainly the can. more charismatic person has won, and in that case, well, Trump should win 50 Well, states. yes, if, that's true. That's, yeah. that, that's, well, it started because Reagan was the antithesis of Carter. That's when the observation was made. Huh. And, uh, and, and that was very true. Yeah. You know, you know, what, what was his, uh, the national malaise, his talk about, That's anyway, right. has Jimmy, can you imagine if this is just a thought? I can't imagine Jimmy Carter laughing. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, isn't that an interesting thing? Yeah. He was, he, he was a, gr- he was a grim guy to begin with, but after he lost that election, oh, yeah. he became one of the most bitter characters. That's right. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. right. So. It, it, the other thing is, is another fascinating question, a sidebar again. I have never seen the passion for a president that exists for Donald Trump, and that includes Ronald Reagan. And I agree. And I love Ronald Reagan. But I never heard massive chanting, we love you. Yeah. This, I have the chills as I tell this to you, of people in, in cold weather, knowing COVID's around, Standing together in the tens of thousands, my, 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 I have two sons. One of them is, you mentioned in Florida, one is in Pennsylvania. I, I purposely did that. This is my contribution <laughs> to America. I have one son in one swing state and another in another swing state. And you, you know that there were 50,000 people? Unbelievable. In, 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 uh, what was it? I forgot. Butler County, I think it was. <laughs> and my son lives in Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading, Pennsylvania had 15,000 or 20,000 people. Yeah. Oh, you, this is, this is, I'm going to send this to you. You got to put it up. He sent me a picture of an Amish character. I saw that. Yeah, I saw Did you see it? Yes. yes. That may be my favorite picture of American history. <laughs> an say, Amish Trump caravan of horses and buggies. Trump, who has, uh, I will say, a somewhat casual relationship with the truth, has said some very actually profound things in his time. Really. I'm, I'm being serious. <laughs> And I think maybe the, the truest thing he ever said is they don't hate you because they hate me. They hate me because they hate you. Yeah, that's right. And that is 100% that, true. That, that, that is, is that, and that, that's why there's the passion for Trump. It really isn't even just because, you know, Trump that's is Trump right. and he's, and he's, and he that, is goofy and he does funny no, things and no, he's a good stand-up no. comedian and he responds to the crowd and all that. That's right. It's because you represent us. Correct. The outpouring of, of absolute scorn, hatred, people despise Trump. And we're not falling for the trick. I think most Republicans, aside from, you know, a few of the people we were talking about earlier, have not fallen for the trick of believing that the Democrats are only doing that because they have disdain for his character personally. Right. We recognize that the minute that Donald Trump is off the national stage, they will turn to whoever the next Republican is. And that person will become the repository of all evil, which is probably why Donald Trump was nominated in the first place in 2016, because they did this to Mitt Romney in 2012. And we all went, hold up a second. Yeah. You're doing this to Mitt Romney, the most milquetoast human being right. ever to walk the planet. And so we went, okay, we need somebody who's at least going to punch these people directly in the face. That's right. And that's what Trump was about. And then they have gone so insane over Donald Trump that I think everybody who is even remotely conservative looked at this and they went, wait a second, this isn't about Trump at all. Like really deep in, in the cockles of your heart, 
It's not that you hate Trump and so you're upset at me for voting for Trump. It's that you hate me. And so you hate Trump because Trump is just a stand in for well, me. The evidence, the evidence of this is that Donald Trump's character is probably the most widely known character <laughs> of any character in in modern media. Right. Donald Trump has been famous 100 percent of the days of my life and not just like a little famous, like rap stars rap about him famous. Like he makes he represented New York City like you could put Donald Trump in a movie and they did frequently. Oh, yeah. He represented the idea of New York. They had affairs. He, we all knew there were strippers. All of that was known. And we loved him. We celebrated him. Celebrated him. The left elevated him. They loved him. Right up until he decided to represent us. That's Only in that moment did they decide that there was a problem. Absolutely. To me, to me one of the, the most telling statistics in, in the last 10 years is the fact that so many people were dying of opiate poisoning in the Midwest, in the middle of the country, that our life expectancy, the life expectancy of Americans was dropping solely because of deaths by suicide, by suicidal behaviors. And nobody knew it until two Harvard researchers stumbled on it and were totally surprised. That means that a vast number of our countrymen were dying and nobody knew because they were in flyover country. But and, and we and even we on the right kept saying, yes, but your iPhones are cheaper because we're <laughs> sending them out to, to China. We're making them in China. And he, and Donald Trump got it. He did. He, he did that another thing, too. People ask all the time. Uh, this is the Brett Stephens theory, who's the most disappointing to me because he, he is a courageous, yeah. good man. He's a good man. Yeah. I want to say that for the record. And and so he 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 asks, what is what has Trump done to conservatism and the Republican Party? So this was asked to me for my local station in, in, in L.A., uh, AM 870. Uh, and uh, we had a, an event, Sebastian Gorka um, and Charlie Kirk and, uh, and Larry Elder and I. So we were on stage and the moderator said, so, OK, going to throw out a question. You've got to answer with one sentence, which is tough. Yeah. I was, we'll start with you, Dennis. And I go, oh. <laughs> What what has uh, what is what effect has uh, has Donald Trump had on conservatives? And it's like I, I thank you God he put these words in my brain. He gave them testicles. <laughs> the place went crazy. Yeah. And and I know why they went crazy because it's true. So here I have been saying for twenty years we are in a civil war and only one side is fighting because of Donald Trump. Both sides are fighting. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think this idea that he made America manly again is not so far off. You know? That's the right. Idea, the idea that That's he walks right. around without a mask, he gets COVID, That's he shrugs right. it off, That's he's back right. on the, the hustings. Right. I actually you know? don't disagree with this. You know, we were talking earlier about how one of the problems that's happened in religion over the last 40 years in America is that we've redefined the love of God as sentimentality. Yeah. We've also redefined sin to where I, I genuinely believe that now the almost the definition of sin is masculinity. <coughs> hmm. I think the church has basically said all things masculine are evil. And the worst the worst uh, failures of the feminine are righteousness. So it's almost like the the worst the, the you know, of course there are negative aspects of masculinity and that, feminine, that sure. do touch sin. The difference is they're now saying that even the positive attributes of masculinity are sin and the most negative attributes of, of the feminine our righteousness. Yeah. And so to be able to say to conservatives, to be able to say to men that there is masculine virtue, again, we can talk about how Donald Trump isn't the most virtuous person. What, what we're really upset about is that 
he represents a different set of virtues and is completely lacking in another set, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the no, kinds of virtues that we've come to true. admire, no. but he has, in high measure, some of the forgotten virtues, that's, and that's part that's of why great, we love That's it. a great way of putting it. <laughs> the people who, uh, forgive me for the language, I don't know what goes on on the Daily Wire or the language wise, <laughs> but it's not a bad one, but uh, the people who crap on his character... Especially. Oh, no, that's that's way below our standard. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, already, I've already said he, bullshit three he's, times. Okay, okay, he's degraded us entirely. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, where were they with Ted Kennedy? Yeah. Of course, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, forget John Kennedy. Ted Kennedy, the lion of the Senate. Yeah. Uh, I will take, Waitress I will sandwiches. Take, yes, waitress sandwiches with, right. with Dodd, right? With, that's right. Well, by the way, Dodd. it was advising... Joe Biden on his VP pick. Chris Dodd was on that advisory committee. That's right. And, uh, and Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden really led all of the great character assassinations in the judiciary right over the last that's right. 40 years. The, the thing that, that people love about Trump is that Trump refuses to accept the premise of what the left is saying to him. And sometimes that means he rejects things that are actually true. And that's irritating to people like me because, I mean, frankly, I don't think that you should reject things that are true. But no. very often... Trump will just refuse the premise of a question in a way where you're like, no other Republican would actually have the stones to do that. So, for example, there was a lot that came out from that Bob Woodward book. Most of it was stupid garbage. But there was one exchange that the left really played up where Bob Woodward said to him something like, you know, America has a real policing problem with racism and America is kind of racist. And Trump said, oh, so you bought into that? And, And I heard that and I was like, Okay, like you got to love that. You, yeah. you do. Yes, I mean, it's, it's hard not to love that a little bit as a conservative because the fact is that every other Republican pays lip service to myths and Trump does not pay lip service to myths. And so there are a lot of times in which that is so deeply necessary. And you see his greatest successes are built on that, right? His great success in the Middle East is built on refusing to buy into a prevailing myth and just saying that that so, myth so uh, is just a myth, that's, right? That is and so, so like, yeah, yeah. And so we all focus in, uh, in the media and people who are Trump skeptical, I think, we focus on the times when he calls something a myth that isn't a myth, right, right. where he does like the crowd size thing. It's the biggest crowd size ever. But his his refusal to accept the premise of nearly any question that is asked of him adversarially means that many of the questions that are asked to normal Republicans adversarially and they accept the premise, he refuses to accept the premise. Yeah. So it's a package back, deal. Back, to, Jesus, so back to Jesus the jerk. One of the things but, but, I love is that he yeah. won't he won't grant disingenuous questions and, ever in the text. And, and that is, again, that is a masculine trait. You know, I'm reading right. Charles Thank Murray's you. book on the that differences between exactly men and women. Right. And they and women are, as I argued many years ago, are more amiable. They're, they get what, along. What about his forcing NATO? Oh, oh, he's, he's, dis, <laughs> he's dissing thing. our allies. Yeah. Our allies have depended completely upon American money and, and know-how to guard them while they get rich. Right. So he says, excuse me, you made a deal that you spend X amount of your GDP on, on armaments, but you're not doing it. Why is that wrong? Why should an American leader not say that to our allies in NATO? Right. Because it isn't nice. Because it is. That's it. That's it. it. And, 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 you know, that's it. They, they used it to, is, you got they, it. They used to put this thing out about Trump that he doesn't he doesn't pay his bills. And I would talk to people, you know, just ordinary working guys. And, and they would say to me, he doesn't pay his bills because people don't do the work he pays them to do. You know, yeah. they, they know what, what it is. I will say I'm I'm very friendly with a guy who's been one of Donald Trump's real estate attorneys for you know yeah. his entire career. Very high end hotel, hotel real estate attorney. And he says that Donald Trump is a bit of a scrooge he says that he he in the trump organization he would have to approve 500 dollars expenses at hotels <laughs> which if you think about the size of his organization that, is, but he's not is remarkable personally but that's right he said but i will tell you every time he ever brought me to new york which is dozens of times over the years 
flew first class, car picked me up, car picked me up at the, brought me, stayed in the best, best dinners. He take, you know, he, he would lavish upon us in that way. But he didn't want to be frivolous with his money no. on the other side. And maybe he held on a bit too tight no. in that regard. And listen, I never want to be guilty of covering over what we know our character I'm, I'm failings of the president. Uh, I think that it, right, it's but that's in, not the criterion of measuring who should be president. I wrote agreed. This 20 years ago. Agreed. I wrote a piece, Adultery in Politicians. God wouldn't have chose, uh, chosen King David. Yeah. He not only committed adultery and had a child with that woman, but had the husband basically killed. That's right. I mean, that's pretty serious. Or I mean, all the way back to him. Abraham. He is the he is the ancestor of our Messiah. All collectively, a man, a man after a God's own heart. <laughs> a man after God's own heart yeah. is what the Bible says of David. I, I actually said this on Twitter today that the you know people are saying some people are saying the Christian Church is failing because it supports now Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. When in twenty uh, in nineteen ninety seven they or nineteen ninety eight they went all in to say that character is destiny and condemn Bill Clinton. But the problem with that argument is it actually assumes that the evangelical church in 1998 was operating in good faith, well and the church said. now isn't. Thank but the you. church in 1998 That's was right. being political. It Correct. was trying to get its agenda Correct. through. That's right. Bill Clinton deserved to be perjured because he broke the law. I'm sorry, deserved to be impeached because he broke the law and committed perjury. That was a hard sell to the American people. And so the evangelical church, pursuing its policy preferences, constructed a theological argument, yeah. which is false, which is that... God judges a nation based on the moral character of its leader exclusively, which is you cannot find a single biblical uh, king. Nope, nope. You can't find an American president. You can't find a king of England. God seems to go out of his way, actually. Who who is who did God choose to let the Israelites into Canaan? He could have picked a Canaanite accountant, a Canaanite <laughs> priest, a Canaanite <laughs> saint. He picked a Canaanite prostitute. Yeah. That's right. There's a message there. There's got to be well, a message part of there. The, part of the message is... That God is God and that the virtue, the virtue of a person does not make them more than what God is. God uses the weak. He uses the broken. He uses the sinful because that, first of all, because that's the only people he can use because that's all of us on some level, but also as a way of saying, I am the one who's delivering you into Canaan. I'm the one who's giving you the land of promise. That's, that's so, long as, so long as recognizing the complexity of human beings doesn't mean dismissing the sin of human beings. I Absolutely. Think territory. And, I'm, and I'm not saying that the character of a leader cannot affect the destiny of a country. But, but more importantly, a very complex question. Yep. Right. Schindler saved how many Jews? A thousand Jews. The man did an unbelievable act. The guy was a serial adulterer. Yep. Yep. And wait till what comes out. This is not revelatory. Uh, 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 one of the major biographers of Martin Luther King has already come out with it, and it's going to come out when the papers come out. He was a serial adulterer. Yeah. What I mean, are they going to say then? Rape, credible accusations. Yes, that's right. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting to me just listening to it. There's a, there's a lot of IQ points in this room, and then me and Jeremy. Uh, but <laughs> and and all of us are sitting here having serious conversations about Scripture and God. And every one of us, I happen to know for a fact measures ourselves according to how we are moving toward God or away from God or, or what we're doing in God's eyes. That idea is completely ridiculed 
by our friends on the left, especially among the, the elites. That's right. You never see a serious conversation about that in the New York Times. You never see a serious conversation. Oh, they mocked Amy Coney Barrett for saying it, right? That, really? Amy Coney Barrett said that she was trying to live a godly life. Yeah. And, and serve God in her and, job. And they said, oh, that means you're a theocrat. Exactly. And, they're you know, idiots. And I don't know what Don, I don't know what Donald Trump believes in his heart of hearts, but at least he's welcome to people. I think he people. has become religious you know, in the course of the four years. So, I, I, I believe. Maybe just to piss religious. off the left. Honestly, like they, they were like, you're such an atheist godly. He's like, you know what? I love Jesus. You know what? Uh, no, that's right. No, no. I, I have a column. I, please, folks, on the Internet, my column from 10 years ago, how the left keeps me religious. Uh, somebody somebody told me that that God made Donald Trump president to save his soul. <laughs> it's actually an interesting, it's it's an interesting, interesting. It is. I agree. By the way, worth noting, 538 says that right now the way that North Carolina, Georgia, Florida are trending, the way that the Hispanic vote is trending in Texas and now maybe in Arizona, uh, this it, they're, they're saying it's now a 50-50 toss-up election. <laughs> Whoa, no heat, kidding, really. Which, yeah, I mean, it, which means that it's all going to be horrific for a week, right? Because yeah. if it's a 50-50 toss-up election, it comes down to Pennsylvania, and yeah. you have the mess of no Pennsylvania, lawyers. it's all going to be lawyers. It's going to be lawyers in the Supreme Court in a mess. So anytime there's oh, a mess, the person whose point of view right. I want is Megan Kelly. And that is because there are a lot of IQ points in this room, and ain't none of us as smart no, as our all, friend. Even all together. Yeah, all together. <laughs> none of us as smart as our friend Megan Kelly, who is back with us again right now. Megan, uh, thanks for making some more time for us tonight. What are you seeing out there? My pleasure. <laughs> I'm following the, um, the 538 so far debacle, as Ben just mentioned. <laughs> it's crazy how much faith people put in these pollsters. And look, I don't know how this night is going to shake out, but it certainly appears that Nate Silver, the guy holsters on the left, completely blew Florida. And Trafalgar seems to have gotten it right. That's the one polling outlet that has been predicting Trump is going to win this race tonight. Uh, what I'm seeing so far in Ohio does not bode well for Trump, but it's right. very early and the vote's not yet counted. So we'll see, right? It tends to go blue at first and then it turns more red. Um, but their vote counts a little higher in Ohio. So I would be watching that one because obviously Trump's not going to win this race if he does not win. Ohio. The thing with the Hispanics is interesting. Already, uh, you've got people counting them as non-Hispanics. They're 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 basically white Hispanics, so they don't count. <laughs> Republicans right. can't claim right. them as their voters. But hey, they voted and they voted for Donald Trump, and it didn't just happen in Florida. They're voting for him in other states right now, to the surprise of a lot. And I think there's there's a question. There's there's somebody in Florida tweeting about this that that a top Democrat had complained to him privately that it was the BLM support by Democrats there that turned off a lot of Hispanics mm. because mm. They, they don't want to defund the police, right? That they understand that that, that causes a lot of danger, causes a lot of danger in minority communities and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, this is sort of a liberal dream that they actually tried in Minneapolis, Minnesota, only to totally reverse it. That was the George Floyd city. Right. So they were defunding them. It was a unanimous vote. And, they, and then they reversed it. And I think... You know, what, what we're seeing, we'll find out because they'll ask, you know, what the reasons were in the exit polls. We'll show it. I don't know if they polled for BLM. But if that actually pushed Hispanics to the, to the you know, polls for Trump, it's going to be a major story. And uh, the problem... Voting, sorry, please, sorry. just any of you know, I, I don't know the answer. This is an open question. Maybe Megan knows. Why is Ohio close? Who is voting, and I mean this sincerely, other than a leftist, who in Ohio is voting for Biden? College, I think it's college-educated whites. I think that the the big there story were that of this many in Ohio. I think the big story of this election may be uh, that Trump actually gets the inroads in in minority populations that we've always wanted to see a Republican get. And then he, but he had losses yeah. among white voters that still managed to cost him the election, hmm. which will be an unbelievable story. Will not validate the pollsters who've been so wrong so far tonight. 
but they'll be able to live to fight another day because if Biden wins, it actually doesn't matter if they blew Florida by almost six points, right? They just get credit because they were they made the ultimate top. I think that's a major reason people don't tend to speak about this when they speak about free college tuition. They really, (coughs) excuse me, they really want everyone to go to college. College produces leftists. Is that is that an unfair statement? No, it's not. <laughs> and listen, I don't think colleges, I don't think the university, I don't think the academy can be reformed. I don't think that the media can be reformed. Right. The legacy media can be reformed. Uh, I don't think Hollywood can be reformed. It's time for us to, you can't redeem them. That's right. You can't it's reform them. them. You have to replace them. And that's what Prager yeah. U is doing, where the academy is concerned. It's what Daily Wire and Megan with her podcast are doing. Where the media is concerned, we have to figure out how to do it with entertainment. But they they will well. try to shut us down. If if they own everything except the Supreme Court, then they they will do whatever they can uh, uh, to the, shut us down. The story of this election so far, and obviously it's still early in the night, relatively speaking. The story of the election is the shift in the Latino vote. I mean, it's just it's, yeah. it's stunning. And and what it really shows is that when it comes to the woke coalition, the strongest and we know this by polling data, the strongest members of the woke coalition are the white idiots. They are. They're That's the strongest right. members of the woke coalition. Right. Black Americans don't care about this woke crap, which is why they voted in favor of Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primaries. Latino Americans are sick to death of this crap. It, uh, the best tweet I've seen tonight is Republicans are winning the Latino vote and Democrats are winning the Latinx vote. Because <laughs> nobody just, you know, calls themselves Latinx. Yes, of course. Which is hysterical. Um, and it's, it's all these self-flattering and self-flagellating white people who think they're going to lead minorities to the promised land by, 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 Treating them as as not fully capable of making human adult decisions. It's it's absolutely wild. Megan, when when you look at this right now, I mean, the, the media coverage so far, it seems like people are really holding back at this point. Um, but we have seen uh, some early indicators of the insanity from Nicole Hannah-Jones and, and a couple other reporters now reporting that Latino people are not Latino anymore. What do you make of it? <laughs> No, of course. You know, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. The fact that somebody like Nicole Hannah-Jones gets the credibility she does, you know, that, that her Pulitzer Prize has not been revoked for her joke of a 1619 project, which the New York Times is slowly taking out with an eraser without in, an, announcing all the mistakes that were in there. And mistakes is being charitable. Intentional lies might be another way to put it. Um, and then you've got Ibram X. Kendi, who was tweeting out when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated. Like, I'm not talking about her. I'm just saying historically, when white people adopt black babies, <laughs> it's kind of colonize and exploit them. And it's like not, definitely not tying in, uh, you know, directly to her. Only it was two minutes after she was announced. And these people are around <laughs> yeah. and they paid thousands and thousands of dollars to educate white people in various corporations and so on on how they are racist. I mean, it's like it's insane, right? And so I do think though that. The, the white suburban women have tended to be a problem for Trump. And I think they, a lot of them have bought into the woke messaging. You know, they've been guilted so much by their neighbors that they're bigots and they're awful. If they don't, that they're, they're signing. They want to be like, that's yeah. a good point. That's right, Megan. The, I, the, I, I, I uh, by the way, you mentioned about revoking the Pulitzer Prize, Megan, the, the New York times has still held on to the Pulitzer Prize of 1934 <laughs> That's for right. Walter Durante, who denied that Ukrainians were being starved by Stalin. Six million true? Ukrainians were starved by Stalin. Read, yeah. uh, read, read Ann Applebaum's book. You know, it's I, great book. Did you I, see the movie the, that came the, out the about this, famine. by the way? They just no. came out with a movie about this. Is it's, that right? It's, the Hall of the Moor? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really, really good. I should bring up, by the way, first of all, I'd like to 
congratulate Megan on her Ibram X. Kendi imitation. It was excellent. Uh, but secondly, <laughs> I just want to point out that Ohio is closing very, very fast. It's getting very narrow. Uh, yeah, they're, they're saying that Trump has the momentum there in the final counties, and it looks like there's a decent shot that he pulls out Ohio. So if he pulls out, <laughs> if he pulls out Ohio, then obviously the next look moves on to presumably Pennsylvania. And, yeah. and that is, I mean, for the well, country, you gotta keep an eye on. Right. North, yeah. North Carolina is still there. Although the New York Times is saying that uh, their needle has him about an 80% shot to win North Carolina. So if he wins North Carolina, it's, it goes to Pennsylvania. Given his performance in Ohio and North Carolina, that's very competitive. You saw him close extremely fast in the polls in North Carolina in the polls which have been systemically off. They're systemically off this year. If yep, what is if what right. we're seeing happening is we happening. Talked about uh, then, and, then, and the Amish vote in Michigan. <laughs> the day. Those horses are moving. That they're slow. Caravan, you know, they that get caravan. Horses are slow, you know. <laughs> well, Megan, well, thank no, you again for... Pennsylvania, we may be sitting around for days and days waiting right. to see well, one. Right, well, that's right. When is it? We that may is. have you on in hour 78. Of our nonstop coverage. Is, by the way, that, that is for the country. In some ways, that's nightmare scenario. Honestly, like, yes, if, yes. If it goes to litigation, well, let me understand. You guys, I'm sure know this better than I. The judge's ruling in Pennsylvania is that if they will be allowed to open up ballots for how long after election day sent in, and they do not have to have a postmark prior to the to uh, the election day. Is that correct? Did I get that right? No. So there's there's controversy. If it's smudged, if it's smudged. Right. So the the question is, right, if it's if it's smudged and if you see like a wide, you know, spate of 100,000 votes that are coming in all smudged post-election, I have a feeling that's going to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court put it off. They didn't say they wouldn't they didn't they wouldn't rule on it. They said that we're not going to rule on it right now because John Roberts is a coward who won't rule preemptively on anything that means that would put the legitimacy of the court in question. Of course, not foreseeing the possibility the legitimacy of the court will be put gravely into question he, five he days want, from now. He, he wants he's to be like He's just terrible. The, he wants to be like I, I will say this for John Roberts. It may be slightly more than he wants to be like. I think he legitimately believes that the left will destroy the court if they make certain moves against the left. I think he thinks in day-to-day cases. The uh, State Department legitimately believes that if America moves the embassy to Jerusalem, yeah. the <laughs> Arab world will blow up. That's right. That's, That's a good yeah. But, Jeremy, that is still not – that is not the Chief Justice's job. He really yep. – I know yeah, the absolutely. Chief Justice yeah, is trying to keep right. himself like the PR agent of the Supreme Court. And maybe it's one consideration that he has that the associate justices don't have. But really his main duty is to uphold the Constitution. You know, right. it's it, – my husband Doug said it's his theory of good-looking Supreme Court justices. He doesn't believe we should have any more. <laughs> That's a funny theory. theory. That is excellent, excellent they theory. They go yeah. to the Georgetown cocktail parties, and they start to love being loved, and before you know it, they yeah. go from over yeah. here to over here. He's like, no more, only unattractive ones. Yeah, I, I can definitely get behind that because then I have a shot as long as you also don't have to have gone to college, be a lawyer, be a judge, or really have any other qualifications. But being homely, that could be my one. I can make a good case for myself. Listen, I, I agree with you that it's not the job of the Chief Justice. One, one thing that I love about the court swinging uh, with the addition of Amy Coney Barrett uh, as far to the right as it has is that that's actually not a partisan swing. Like having originalists on the court is supposed to be what the court is. It's supposed to be nine out of nine. They should disagree about like the nuances of the law, not broad things like, do you have religious freedom or broad things like, do you have freedom of speech? That's, that was never supposed to be what the court was about. And so I know the left has redefined court packing to mean yeah. putting people on the court we don't like. Yeah. Right. But we're actually the ones who are depoliticizing the court 
by putting originalists on there. And That's the right. problem, the problem for George W. Bush with John Roberts is he, he put a partisan on the court. He did not put an originalist on the court. That should be a good cautionary tale to yeah. us all. He didn't, he, I don't think he knew that. I mean, I covered the John Roberts confirmation hearings wall to wall for Fox News. I went down to the National Archives and read everything that guy ever wrote while he was with the Reagan administration. Uh, of course, all of his judicial opinions. And I will tell you, I did not see signs of this John Roberts. I, I, didn't, mm. I didn't see any mm. signs of a potential suitor when I was researching Chief John Roberts. He looked like he was born in his little crib with his little justice robe on <laughs> getting ready to become, you know, the Supreme Court Chief Justice one day. He lived a life that was like, you know, sending him in there on, on like a, a fluffy cloud. So in George W. Bush's defense, I, I don't think you could see it coming. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right, because here's what Antonin Scalia used to say from the bench, because, you know, I practiced law for a long time, but I also covered the high court for three years, yeah. sitting in, the, in that courtroom every day. And Scalia used to say, you want to you wanna say that the, that the founders who wrote this document, the Constitution, foresaw a constitutional right to privacy, to an abortion, to same-sex marriage even. You go and convince the citizenry that that is how it should be. You don't, you don't get nine unelected people in robes to reread it. He's not saying it should never happen. I'm against it. He was saying, go convince the electorate that it's time for such a right to be recognized and then we'll amend it appropriately. Absolutely. Yep. May I ask, uh, Megan? I'd like to ask you a question. Are you are you uh, uh, broadcasting, so to speak, from home now? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I just want to salute you. It is such a joy to see books <laughs> in a house. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. I, I recommend seriously people, even if they don't read them, have at least one room in their home with bookshelves with books. Yeah. This is yep. a major um, um, kids need to see books. They need to see them. They need to touch them, feel them. This is a home that says ideas are important. A home, uh-huh. a home with books. Yeah. Well, thank you. I wish I could say I've read them all, but I. I <laughs> oh, no, no. I said it's irrelevant. <laughs> My husband is he's, he's a writer and. He took a lot of care in actually selecting which books he wanted up there. He's the ones he's read and the ones he wants to read. And kids are a little aspiring writers too. So, so far so good. And by the way, up until like 20 minutes ago, my nine year old daughter was here going through the, the New York Times update on which state is red and which state is blue. And I have my own little bell hammer here working the billboard. She was like, oh, <laughs> great stuff. Something in these books may be sinking in, Dennis. I think so. I, that's why I mentioned it. God bless you. Megan, thank you again for making so much time for us tonight, and congratulations again on your wonderful new podcast. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. See ya. And meanwhile, Tom Tillis, too close to call in North Carolina. Really? Yeah, Tillis and Cal Cunningham are separated with over 95% of the vote in by a grand total of, I kid you not, 500 votes. Wow. Oh, man. Out of 2.7 million cast. I was hoping it wouldn't be an ugly night, but it looks like it is going to be. For that, I want to go to our Daily Wire war room and Elisha Krause to look at the data. I'm glad that you... All right, the three main states we're monitoring here in the war room, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio, all looking very good with the House and Senate seats across the country. We have an update right now with the electoral map and Daily Wire's own editor-in-chief, John Bickley, here to tell us what's up. Yeah, this is where we stand so far. And some things are looking really good for Trump that are not yet showing up on this map. So if we could go back, we want to look at our original scenario. We talked about at the beginning, how does Trump win this? He wins seven of the 12 battleground states. The ones he needs, Florida, he is, a lot of places have called it. Mm -hmm. He's on the path to win it. Georgia, 
he's now at let's see 86% chance of winning with a lot of a lot of the vote in about 50%. Okay. North Carolina, New York Times are projecting 95% chance of winning that. So these are three of the absolutely essential states. He's looking good in Ohio, and we're going to talk to Cabot about that. He's got some uh, specific numbers for that. Okay. Texas, he's he's performing pretty well in Texas. We think he's going to hold on to Texas. What this means is if he can pull off these states he's trending well in, can secure Ohio, if he can get Pensacola, Pennsylvania, I'm sorry, in Arizona, he wins. He wins the night. Both of those he's pulled pretty well in. Pennsylvania, key. We've, we said at the beginning this is going to be essential. It's looking good. Okay. We've got a lot to watch, but uh, there's reason to be optimistic. There's a lot happening, and we're still waiting, of course, on final tallies in Georgia and North Carolina. Right. But as you guys have been saying, the predictions of the trends seem to be in the direction of a Trump-Pence win in those states. And now we're going to take it to uh, the other part of the war room where Cabot is going to be giving us an update because we're starting to see a lot of data guys starting to come in from the important swing state of Ohio. Cabot? I jumped in a little bit early there because I was so excited to tell you about all the new data that we're getting in. Ohio, one of the key states that people have been talking about President Trump needs to have for his plausible map. 74% reporting. President Trump is now up 2.4%. In Ohio, he took the lead there about 15 minutes ago, and since then he's been rapidly climbing. North Carolina, John touched on it earlier, 85% reporting. The president now leads 49.6 to 49.2%. The New York Times projections, which we've been talking about all night, they are now saying President Trump has a 95% chance of winning North Carolina. And in Georgia, 47% reporting, still waiting for some of those larger counties surrounding Atlanta. President Trump is up 14%. We're going to have to wait to see just how high the voter turnout has been in the surrounding counties around Atlanta. And one more fun little nugget out there. In 2016, a lot of the betting markets gave a pretty accurate depiction of what was going on in the presidential election. This year, throughout 2019 and 2020, especially after COVID, President Trump was a big underdog in the betting markets. We can now tell you that President Trump is actually winning in most of the betting markets by a 2.5 to 1 margin. So if you had money on President Trump, I would suggest maybe selling it now, maybe pulling out a little early if you want to get a quick profit. But President Trump is up in the voting markets as well or in the betting markets as well. So we're going to continue to monitor all of those states. Another race that we're looking at very carefully is John James in Michigan. This is a a race that a lot of Republicans have looked at as a potential opportunity to pick up a seat for the Republicans. Right now in Michigan, we have uh, about 24% of the numbers in John James is leading. Again, we're going to continue to update you as we get more information there. Now, we're going to go to Wisconsin now where we've started to get some data in. Ian was talking with me earlier about some of the results we've seen. A lot of people were interested in what would happen in Kenosha. And Ian was telling me earlier, Kenosha, what are the numbers we're at about now? About 68%? Yeah, so if we have a quick look at Kenosha right now live on the New York Times website. Donald Trump has practically double the number of votes uh, as Biden. And early on in 2016, that was a very, very close race. So it turns down, burning down your neighborhood and the, and the Democrats just smiling along doesn't do great for the voting. So interesting to watch that county, of course, in addition to the rest of uh, Wisconsin. So people have been asking a lot online about Virginia as well. This is something people have been saying. Why aren't we talking more about Virginia? Again, to clarify for people just tuning in recently, right when the voting uh, stopped in Virginia, Fox News was the first news agency to call it for Joe Biden. Since then, no one else has called it. The results in Virginia have been incredibly close. Right now, President Trump up 53 to 45 on Vice President Biden. That's with 53 percent reporting in. Now, one issue with that is there are a huge number of absentee ballots as well as early voting from northern Virginia and then down in Newport News, Virginia. Those are two areas where 
Biden is counting on his strong uh, areas for him. So similar to Atlanta, where it's going to come down to voter turn on Atlanta to see if Biden can turn the tide there. And in Virginia, where he is expected to win, if he can drive up that voter turnout in Northern Virginia, down in Newport News, Virginia Beach, he's counting on it. So, Alicia, we got a lot of data to break down, but right now continues to be a positive night for the president so far. It's fascinating what's happening, and there are some people on Twitter and social media and even in the war room saying, okay, if the data keeps trending this way, could Trump-Pence have a redo of 2016 where, you know, the polls everywhere are upset? We will be sure to bring you guys more information as we get it. Back to you, Jeremy. Thank you, Alicia. Listen, guys, somehow it's a nail-biter. We went into the night thinking this could be a two-hour broadcast. It could be 2012 all over again. The president outperformed the polls well beyond the margin of error in Florida, and it is an actual horse race uh, across the country right now. If you are watching this and you're wondering, why do things look so much different than I thought that they might look? Uh, it's because the media lies to you. It's because the uh, establishment legacy media lies to you. Social media lies to you, prevents you from hearing uh, the truth. It's because they have an agenda. They don't claim their agenda. Um, and for that reason, we need to replace the media. We're trying to do that here at The Daily Wire. We've made some big announcements tonight. Candace Owens now officially joining The Daily Wire, moving to Nashville to do a show for us, which will begin in March and be unlike anything that's ever existed in conservative new media. Our partnership with Prager University, where we're going to carry the entire PragerU library uh, on our SVOD platform for our subscribers. I'll tell you a few of the other things that we're going to be doing with the help of our DailyWire.com subscribers. And you can become one tonight if you're watching by going to DailyWire.com and Use the promo code ELECTION. We'll give you 25% off. Listen, is it self-serving? Sure, but it's not just self-serving. The only way we are going to take back the culture is if we engage in the culture. As I said earlier in the show, the New York Times alone, one publication on the left, has a budget of over a billion dollars a year. They have 4,500 employees. They make $100 million plus in profit. Every year, one single organization. There is nothing like it on the right. There's nothing like the kind of power they have. If we're going to replace them, we have to mobilize and do it. One way you can do that is being a dailywire.com subscriber. We're going to start challenging the stranglehold that the left has on media and culture. We're doing that by launching Candace. We're doing it and and getting into the more cultural content. We're doing it uh, academically with our partnership with Prager University. We are also going to be launching a morning show to compete with NPR. We're going to call it Morning Wire. You may wonder, why? Why would you get into that space? Well, the answer is because a lot of people like to, even conservatives, like to listen to NPR because NPR is very sophisticated. It's it, it's both sophisticated in the sense that it dives deeply into content, and it's sophisticated propaganda because it doesn't hit you over the head with its point of view. Instead, it brings you in with this deep, thoughtful content, makes you feel smarter than you maybe even are, and then they're able to serve you by by selection of story, uh, a, a worldview, and they do this very successfully for millions of people, in particular millions of women across the country who don't want to listen to sort of polemical, talking head, angry uh, political content of the type that we're very good at making. <laughs> so we, want to com- about? we need to compete in all of the places that the right has been unable to compete over the last generation, and one of them is in that kind of deep content. So in the new year, we will be launching Morning Wire. We will be launching the Candace Owens uh, show in front of a live audience. We will be launching uh, our partnership with PragerU. And we have a few more things that we'll tell you about throughout the night. Please, uh, listen, I'm not asking you to support us as a charity. We want to bring you great 
value. And we're doing that for our members every day at dailywire.com. Become a member, use the promo code election, get your 25% off. And if you become an annual uh, Insider Plus or All Access member, you will get Vessel of Vessels, your leftist <laughs> tears, hot or cold tumbler. Uh, listen, why wouldn't you want to drink your leftist tears from a tumbler such as this? Please subscribe. Uh, our subscribers are the reason that this broadcast is free for everyone tonight. Guys, it's a horse race. What is going to happen in Ohio? Benjamin. Well, the, the latest that I've seen is that it remains a horse race in Ohio. Trump seems to be pulling into the lead in Ohio. So it looks like he's going to win Ohio. The real question is whether the narrow nature of Ohio, which is narrower than it was last time, is more of a tell for Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, and whether that translates over. By the way, worth, worthy of note, uh, Lindsey Graham uh, has won his race in South Carolina. So Lindsey Graham 2.0 uh, wins his race in Rambo. South Carolina. And uh, that is... They, they spent $100 million on that race. Yep. So $100 million Kentucky, to defeat Cocaine Mitch, $100 million to defeat Lindsey Graham. Graham. It's $200 million they just flushed down the toilet, just yeah. right down the toilet. Yeah, hey, cigar, this cigar it. is actually made out of their money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, guys, before we go any further, our good friend Glenn Beck, again, as with Louder with Crowder, this is a cross stream. I can't say he's coming on our show, and I can't say that we're going on his show. It is somehow miraculous. They say you never cross the streams. It could be bad. But in this instance... It's broadcast fluid. That's what it is. Um, you know, I, I, uh, thank you very much, Jeremy. If I can just uh, stop you here for just a second. And let me tell Ben, I was listening to you, Ben, uh, on our local affiliate KLIF that carries you in the afternoon. I was listening to you today. And you brought to mind, because I'm listening to all these young people that were calling in, and uh, they were just confused by the polls, it seemed, because it wasn't reflecting reality in their life. There are so many things that in popular culture and things that we've always seen in the past that just didn't match up with the narrative for the media or the narrative uh, from the polls. Um, are we starting to see that come apart? I mean, I think so. It's so hard in, in this business or any other to make the connection between the anecdotal evidence and, and the data, right? Because you get this data and you assume that people are trying to put their best inputs into the data. And it's still early, so we'll have to see. Florida is obviously a systemic polling error. I mean, off as much as five points. We still don't know how, how much it's going to be off in other places. But it looks like it's all off and it looks like it's all off in one direction. And what that says to me is that Less than people, you know, experiencing things. Because I remember that in 2012, right? In 2012, there were a lot of us saying, well, the, the enthusiasm for Romney is so high, he's for sure going to win. There's a disconnect with the polls. Even more than that, it is that the absolute disconnect that is felt between our entire elite class, between the entire college-educated pollster elite mm -hmm. class, and working class white people, working class Hispanics, working class black, black people, is almost unbridgeable. Because in 2012, I think they got it right because... Nothing changed fundamentally with the working class or with black or Hispanic Americans in terms of their voting patterns. But something is fundamentally shifting for the Republican Party and for Donald Trump. And it's whether or not he wins the election, there is something very serious that's happening. And it's a political realignment. It's a, it's a class realignment. That's right. And it's, a, and it's a racial realignment. And that actually bodes extraordinarily well for the Republican Party. Because if Donald Trump is able to start pulling you know, 35, 40 percent of the Hispanic vote in the way that Bush was, but he's not talking about immigration reform, right? He's just speaking to people as, as Americans. And if he's able to start pulling 15, 20 percent of the black vote, even if he loses tonight, it's going to be a lot easier for Republicans to pick up more of the suburban female vote than it was for them well, to break into these brand new voting blocks. 
Um, it, uh, it, uh, that kind of goes to a question I asked our panel earlier tonight on on who, if Donald Trump were to lose tonight, I, God forbid, but if he were to lose tonight, who can fill his shoes? I was always against a Trump uh, Republican Party, but the Republicans... I think they'd be excited, in a way, some of them, that Trump would lose so they could get back to their own crony kind of business. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in that, and I don't think America is interested in that. So does this survive and transcend Donald Trump, or if he would lose, is it back to the old party? No, I, th- I think it does survive, and I think it transcends Trump, because victory has a way of transcending. So uh, the, the fact that he's reshaped the map, even if he loses tonight, which I, you know, we'll see, I, I'm starting to think he's going to win. Uh, but if, if he, uh, if, even if he loses tonight, I think people are recognizing their vulnerabilities in the Democratic firewall with regard to race and with regard to class uh, that have been breached by Trump. And I think that you're going to see a lot of candidates on the Republican Party side pour through that. I don't, let's put it this way. I don't think you're going to see a lot more of John McCain and Mitt Romney in the Republican Party's future. I think you're going to see a lot more of, you know, mm-hmm. n- People who are Trump friendly, the Nikki Haley's and the Ron DeSantis's, and those are the elites of the of the Trump friendly folks. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see a, a lot more of the uh, Josh Hawley types who are open populists. Uh, I, I think that the style of the Republican Party has changed. And I think it's changed in a way that's actually may have been changed quite positively by Trump. It's almost like when you have uh, a piece that's bent out of place on a bicycle, like a bicycle spoke and it's bent out of place. You don't bend it to where you want it to be. You have to bend it too far the other direction in order to get it to bend where you actually want it to be. And I feel like maybe that's what Trump is for the Republican Party. What is the um, what is the ballot number um, that you guys are voting on where you're actually reinduce, reintroducing discrimination? Sixteen. Yeah. Uh, Sixteen. Yeah. It, I've heard that that is close. How do you think that's going to uh, do in in the election in California? Uh, what are the consequences? And really, why the hell are you guys all still there? I'm not. Dude. I'm not. <laughs> Funny I can't answer ask. the question. I live in Florida. My state's red, right. my friend. I am right, out. Right. I voted in Florida. I voted in a swing state. It was all my. It was all me. If, gonna, if, 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 if anyone gets credit for Trump winning Florida, it's me. I moved states just to make Trump win yeah, Florida. If he wins by one. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael and I leave for our new homes in Nashville this week. So talk to the old man here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, de- I'm detaching. I, you know, you get old, you know, get old, Glenn, you have a lot of attachments, you know. Hey, can I, can I, can I, change, can I change the subject for just a minute and congratulate yeah. you on entering the Broadcasting Absolutely. Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I was actually going to do it if you did. Which oh would gosh. not be the Broadcasting Hall of Fame if you weren't. That's right. Enough. Well, thank yeah. you very much. I, I, uh, I think, I think any, you know, my name is going to have the plaque on the, you know, the door of the uh, broom closet. <laughs> it's kinda, you know, it's one of those things I I never thought I would get into, and it's such an honor, but now that I'm in it, it kind of cheapens it. No, no, no. <laughs> so you know, let me in. It's good. Anybody can get in. It's good um, to have humility, Glenn, but the truth of the matter is, and I, I say this often, in fact, I said it all the time. I said it to Michael and Alan Estrin just this week. Uh, I think that you're the greatest living broadcaster. You have a, you have a unique, uh, understanding of the medium that I think is just unparalleled by anyone currently in the industry. And, and Drew is absolutely right. If they had somehow uh, opted not to put you in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, uh, the Radio Hall of Fame, it, then the thing would have absolutely no value. Glenn, I, I want you to know that Alan Wait. and I did tell Jeremy he was completely insane. This <laughs> yeah. was ridiculous. But... I mean, look, guys, you've got enough alcohol. I know <laughs> you guys. That's all the booze talking. But, so let's move back to the election. Quick note, jo- um, Josh, uh, Josh Krauschauer, just a quick election notification. 
Uh, Josh Crashauer with National Journal is calling Ohio for Trump. Trump is up by 2.4. My man. Yeah. With oh, the uh, election day vote still left to count. So. <laughs> if if Donald Trump picks up Ohio, we are one state away. I mean, well, Arizona. Right. Arizona, so Arizona. But although the Hispanic turnout so far in the election would would lead you to believe he may outperform in Arizona. And, OK, if it's going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. I mean, this is going to be the unleashing of the godly force at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark for the media. Like we're all just going to have to tune in. It's going to be it's going to be just an infinite regression of, of us watching MSNBC. Right? We're just well, going to put, we, we're gonna put MSNBC. I'm we have to put MSNBC on the TV. Right? If Trump wins, we all have to. They have, people will tune into us watching CNN. <laughs> I agree. Right? I agree. We will. We will not. Shot and prod I was thinking this. the same thing. We should put CNN up on one of the. But we've we've been talking all night about how we have to replace the legacy media. Replace the legacy media. We won't have to replace it. It will end. It will be so pointless if oh, no, Donald yeah. Trump it, wins. Eyeballs will fall it will out burn, of heads. It will, burn its, it will burn itself down. It, it, it already is uh, well on, on its way of burning itself down to the ground. Um, but I, I, I worry about their phase two, you know, their backup, yeah. which I think is actually their, their first plan. Uh, I mean, you don't put as your vice president the one that every Democrat hated <laughs> yeah. um, to back up a guy who everybody knows – I mean, he's probably not going to make it to pudding on Friday. Um, so, you know, you got those two. I think their their plan here is to now create doubt and violence in the streets. And that's very concerning to me because I've done enough homework on on what they're planning through the, the uh, transition integrity project, which is anything but. Uh, you guys concerned that you know I I I, I want to just say that one of one of the personality traits of conservatives is that when we see something to be afraid of we immediately assume that it's going to work it's going to come true yeah. and and I don't think that's necessarily the case in the, uh, in this present case that is their plan Glenn you got it exactly right but we're now living in a world where an invention that is that rivals the printing press in importance. Uh, has come about, which is the Internet and the way the things we're doing right now, right here. And that has changed everything. And I think their plan is an old plan. Mm-hmm. I think their plan is from the old days. And I think information spreads now whether they like it or not. I think that their attempt, their open attempt to shut down the Biden story, when you look at the polls, it didn't work. Yeah. People saw it. They believed it. They knew it was real. They got the information. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that old-fashioned uh ideas like rioting and uh, and and pushing and lying that that used to work so well are going to work mm-hmm. in this modern moment. We are actually out ahead of the of the curve because of what we're doing right here yeah. on the blaze and on the daily wire replacement media. We are we are replacing something. We're replacing something that has burned itself to the ground. And I don't yeah, know. Well, I, I, hate to be, the, I hate to be optimistic because I know the one guy. This is coming from the one guy who's like, I'm not ready to leave California. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm so, oh, God, I'm so ready. He, he does no, remember no, the printing press. So. <laughs> he was there. Uh, guys, thank you so much. And I, I have to tell you, when I, when I first started The Blaze, uh, I want I saw a network where everybody could work together. And I didn't know how it would work out. But I am I am so proud to be in the same business with you. And this is something... ABC and NBC never did, never would have done. We're not competitors. We're all on the same side. We, We compete against each other. 
but we all go home friends, and uh, and it is really nice. We're proud to, be to on know the you. Side with We're you proud guys. to know you. Thank you for your kinship. Yes, and listen, if you do. want to help us replace the media, uh, go subscribe to the Blaze Blaze TV. You're going to get uh, you're going to get Glenn. You're going to get Mark Levin. You're going to get Stephen Crowder, Ali Stuckey, Lauren Chin. It's a it's a great value. I mean, subscribe to us first. And let me. But then, if you me, still have a little money left. May I just may I just return the favor? Please. He's exactly right. You should subscribe to the Blaze TV. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest living broadcaster, Glenn Beck. Glenn, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. All right, we have. By the way, quick announcement: Maria Salazar has defeated Donna Shalala Ooh. in Miami-Dade District 27 wow. congressional seat. Wow. As the Democrats, wow. there are a bunch of Florida seats that are moving into. Uh, Republican territory in Florida. Dan Crenshaw won re-election. He was yep. in a, a bit of a tough re-elect. So Dan, Dan Crenshaw, good friend of the pro, of future, all of ours, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pirate captain and, yeah. and, <laughs> the shirt, the and, and all around awesome dude. Dan Crenshaw has won re-election. So that, that is excellent stuff. Fantastic. We'll have to keep an eye on Chip Roy, who's, uh, who's in a real dogfight. Yeah. And he's in a dogfight with Wendy Davis. If we lose Chip Brutal. Roy Brutal. to Wendy <laughs> Davis. Yeah. Well, his, his district again borders on Houston and Houston is uh, borders on Austin. Uh, Austin. Sorry. Yes. Austin. Sorry. Uh, also, AP has called uh, the Florida 26th for another Republican, Carlos Jimenez, over Debbie Mercalso Powell. So that is another GOP pickup. That's a pickup. Yeah. Oh, wow. So this is this is not 2018 blue wave Democratic territory. The national polls are going to be off and off significantly. You know, this, this is, is not this is not a Biden 10 point win. This is this is at best, even if Biden ends up winning, this is like a Biden four or five point win, which right. is what puts it in dicey territory. Here's here's Henry Olson, who I, I promote because of his honesty. And he says, I never like being wrong professionally, but it's clear that Biden is not going to win the national vote by anything like what every major polls cross tabs implied. That means polling error of mammoth proportions. The industry will have a lot of serious thinking to do, whether they're capable of serious thinking. So if they were capable of serious thinking, <laughs> and, 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 I want to welcome to the show again. Uh, Daily Wire's very own Matt Walsh. I am going, Matt, thanks for coming back. I'm going to hand off both uh, this segment and the show itself. To Michael Knowles oh on account on account of got to go to the restroom. And we have been live forever. So now it's the Catholic hour. No, yeah, we're welcoming Matt Walsh and the Pope are coming on. Holy Father, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Matt, thank you for coming on. I do want to take a moment though, gentlemen, as we've said this, because you know the media are going to completely change the story, whatever happens tomorrow, and they're going to say the polls were actually right. They're going to try to convince us that these polls were right. They're not right. No matter how this turns out tonight, yeah. the polls right. got this right. wrong. Yeah. Matt, what are you seeing out from your uh, garage or your car or wherever you are right now? Well, right now I'm actually in a I'm in a real building, so that's what? that's a that's a step up for me. Yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in a in a building with a nice view of Nashville. I think you know the thing with the polls is I don't I don't see after this what role polling plays. I think that pollsters go to the level of like, um, you know, back a few years ago, the psychics that you would call 1-800 numbers for. I think they go to sort of Miss Cleo. I don't know what happened to Miss Cleo, but they're, yeah, they go to a Miss Cleo level. They really do. And I think part of that is they're they're trying to predict uh, at some level, they're trying to predict, right, what people are going to do on election day. But uh, that's very hard to do, especially because we everybody knows what they're predicting, and people are responding to those predictions as well. So it's just a, it's a really difficult thing to do, and I, I I just don't know what role polls play anymore. Matt, you were you were very on focus when the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots were going all around. You were digging up stories that the mainstream media were not covering. There has been so much weird in this election season, and obviously that, that might explain why these models got things wrong. What what effect do you think 
the riots have had? What effect do you think the lockdowns have had? And, and what of this is, is just because Trump is an interesting candidate and Joe Biden can't finish the sentence? Well, I think the last thing you said plays plays a lot into it. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, Trump has a lot of enthusiasm. And when you're an incumbent and you also have enthusiasm, um, that's going to be hard for anyone to overcome. And then when you've got the guy running against him, his you know brain is made of of, uh, of soggy Cheerios. It, it makes it it makes it even more difficult. But I, I, you know, I was skeptical. I was worried heading into the election that because, as I always talk about, as as Americans. In modern society, we have the memory of, of house flies. I was worried that even though we had three or four months of rioting and these rampaging mobs supported by the Democrat, encouraged by the Democrat Party, funded even by, by liberals, uh, burning down cities, I was worried that it wouldn't factor in the end because nobody would remember it. But I think um, I, yeah, it's, too, it's still too early to say. But it's, it's when you look at how wrong the polls were and the results so far, yeah. it's it's hard to, to to think that that didn't factor in at least a little bit. And it, of course it should, because like I said before, it's what what have the Democrats actually done to attract new voters over the last four years? We talk about what what you know what has Trump done to bring in new voters. Well. He didn't need to bring in new voters. He was, he was, he won with what he had last time. So what have the Democrats done? And, uh, I think encouraging rioting and, uh, <laughs> engaging in this, this, this opening, you know, open bigotry and race baiting and shut, you know, advocating shutting down the country, putting us all, muzzling us in masks, throwing people out of work. That's not going to do it. That doesn't, that just doesn't appeal to, to people. So what I would want Democrats to do is I, I know that if they lose, they're going to, they're going to say it was voter suppression. They're going to say it was bigotry. But reflect on the possibility that you lost because you are horrible and unappealing <laughs> on every intellectual and emotional level. That you know, be... James Carville famously yeah. uh, said in the early 90s, it's the economy, stupid, about how to win an election. I think you might, you might say, how to lose an election. It's the looting, stupid. It's the arson, stupid. There, there is some news coming out from Twitter. And I mean, it's not on Twitter. I'm saying it's from Twitter itself. Uh, there's a big uh, alert at the top now that says election results might be delayed with the increase in voting by mail. There might be a delay in the announcement of election results. This means you could encounter unconfirmed claims that a candidate has won their race. I got to tell you, Matt, I'm reading that. It makes me think that the libs think they're losing. <laughs> how do you how do you read the coverage of the election? Yeah, it, it does. See, it does seem that way. And I, and I would worry, I guess, like everybody else that if this thing does drag on uh, for days and we go into Pennsylvania and they say they've got ballots, they still have to count and everything, you, you worry about shenanigans there. I haven't been, like a lot of conservatives, you know, I haven't been as concerned about things like voter fraud, but that does become become a concern because when um, when they believe they are trying to unseat evil himself, literally worse than Hitler, then uh, ends justify the means. I mean, anything you can do to make that happen. If you really are running against actually Hitler, then I would say pretty much anything you do to stop him is okay, is morally permissible. Uh, and uh, at least that, that that seems to be their, their attitude. So th- that would make me concerned about, about uh, right. shenanigans. But as long as he's only the mango Mussolini, then it's a little bit less uh, fearsome than, than if he were actually Hitler. I think, I think you're right. I think that is the attitude. There's something that is really confusing leftists tonight, and, and that is the increase in the Hispanic vote and the, and the black vote for Donald Trump. And this doesn't make sense to them, especially the Hispanic vote, because 
Donald Trump launched his campaign. We all remember he came down the escalator and he said that there are lots of bad people coming over illegally from Mexico. And they said, okay, he's lost the vote. And yet, for some reason, actually, it all went in the other direction. I know, Matt, you focus on culture so much more than, you know, the, the kind of wonkiness of, of various policies or economics. And, and I'm, I'm leaning in that direction as well. What is the lesson, actually, regardless of what happens tonight, what is the lesson from just what we know right now for Republicans uh, moving, hopefully in four years or eight years or 12 years, after President Trump, how are we supposed to proceed at the political level? What should Republican candidates look like? Well, if, if we're talking about what you brought up, the, you know, the minority vote and how that's and how that's shaping up, uh, I think one lesson, maybe this is more a lesson for Democrats, but also it's on the reverse of lesson for Republicans, too. But, uh, you know, Trump spoke to voters the, the way I look at it. Trump spoke to all voters basically the same. And he's kind of we know he's kind of a brash guy and, he's, and he could be vulgar and that sort of thing. But he, just, he, he, he tries to appeal to everybody the same way on the same level, like it or not. And um, but but what you have from Democrats, they you know, they try to put people into different categories and they're very patronizing. Uh, to to minority voters, and maybe there are voters that don't like being spoken to that way. They just they just you know just just give it to me straight. Just just speak to me straight like a normal person. You don't you don't have to address me as a black voter or Hispanic voter. Just I'm just an American. You could talk to me that way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe we're discovering that that that's what that's what people want, regardless of of their race. Treat people with dignity like they're human beings. It's such a shocking discovery. You know <laughs> what, what a concept. I think all of us here at Daily Wire in 2016 were skeptical of Trump. Even some of us didn't vote for him, some of us did vote for him, but we were all very skeptical. Matt, I know you were quite critical of him, you were quite skeptical. Now, obviously, much less so. He's won you over. This is true of so many of my friends and relatives, even, who didn't vote for him in 2016, who did vote for him this time. Was there one issue, was there one moment that shifted you, or was it just the combination of everything? I... It's, it's not so much one issue, I guess, uh, like a, a lot of people who are in my camp in 2016, the um, the concern I had about Trump was being a New York Democrat. And I was yeah. concerned about the, the policy. And I, I thought that he would govern like a New York Democrat. And uh, he just he just simply hasn't. Uh, and that's, it's, so it's, it's as simple as that. It's, it's more like what he hasn't done. That has uh, shifted my view of him. Now, there, there were other concerns and criticisms I've had of Trump. I had a, of Trump in 2016 that I still have now. So it's not like I've gone, to, you know, I'm not wearing the MAGA hat exactly, but, right. but, uh, that, that was the main thing, you know, and, uh, and he has not governed like that. And, um, he's, you know, he's advanced policies. What, what he's done with the Supreme Court, obviously. Look, if, if, I don't know if Trump is actually pro-life deep in his heart, but, it, it doesn't matter because the Supreme Court justices that he's chosen, especially Amy Coney Barrett, the last one, that is the Supreme Court justice that any pro-life conservative would choose. And so that's how he's governing. That's, those are the choices he's making. What he actually believes in his heart doesn't matter to me, really, honestly. It just, it just matters what he does. And, right. um, and so we've seen that. I just want to point out at this point that the worst possible case scenario, which is also the most hilarious possible case scenario, it's still very much on the table. There could easily be two sixty nine, two sixty. You're kidding. College tie. No, a hundred percent. This could happen. Really? <laughs> right now, Trump is trailing in Arizona. Uh, so if he loses Arizona, if he wins Pennsylvania, and if he receives 
one of the votes in Maine and both in Nebraska, you now have a 269-269. Why is it a worst-case scenario? It sounds great. All right, no, <laughs> it's perfect. It, it's, it's, I mean, when I say worst-case, I mean kind of best-case because, like, the fun just never ends at that point. <laughs> then this right? is, then this it goes is to the House. And, and here's, no, but here's the best part. You ready for this? So then it goes to the House. The House votes by state, right? So <laughs> the, the right. House does not vote by the number of members of the House. So the states right now are divided 26-23 in favor of Republicans. Mm, yeah. If one of those states, move, if, if one, I think one is split exactly evenly. If one of those states, or two, move into the Democratic category, you have a 269-269 tie. That's it is funny. solved by the next Congress after they are put into place. You have a 25-25 split in the, in the House. And the vice presidency is decided by the Senate, which could easily be split 50-50. <laughs> right? So then the Bobcat becomes president, right? And then it's President Bobcat time. Does right? Pence get to vote? He's usually the tiebreaker in the Senate. Does he get to vote for himself as so the president pro tempore? Then he's not. I don't know that he's sitting at that point, right? Right. You've now moved past the, the election. So it's um, it's pretty much a mess. Uh, but. That's that's the that is the early open all the Pandora's boxes. You know, I had someone a, unlock the tomb of the mummy like that. That's is, is Arizona. Is, I noticed that Arizona It's not looking great for Trump right now. It's not. Uh, yeah. But with about 75 percent of the vote in, uh, he's trailing pretty heavily, particularly Maricopa County, the, the suburbs around Phoenix. Right. That's why Cinema won her last race uh, right. in Arizona. So Trump won Arizona fairly narrowly in 2016. And then Cinema won that Senate seat. Mm. Uh, so Arizona could be trending away from him. He can still win. The way that he still wins is he wins Pennsylvania, which he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then theoretically, Nevada is out there. He could pick up Nevada. He could also pick up both of the seats in Nebraska and one of the seats in Maine. If he picks up both seats in Nebraska, one seat in Maine, not Nevada, but yes, Pennsylvania, he wins exactly 270. Wow. wow. So, wow. I mean, the, the, here, here's one thing that is that is for sure true. Everybody who said that this was going to be a complete blowout, yeah. everybody who yeah. said that this was going to be, that they never had, that there was no reckoning coming for anybody in the media, that the overwhelming majority of Americans were so concerned about the evils of Donald Trump personally that they were going to show up and vote him out of office in massive Ronald Reagan-like numbers, Barack Obama-like numbers. It ain't happening. And these people better get with the program because here's the thing. If Trump were to lose narrowly, they're not going to have Donald Trump to run against next time, which is both a, a downside for them and a real – it's an upside for them in the sense that Trump generates an enormous amount of heat. But it is also a real downside for them because this entire campaign has been about Trump's character, yeah. not about anything else. If they had to run against the policies and on the basis of their own intersectional bullcrap, they'd be in real, real trouble. It's, really, it's really true. You know, they're not winning. They're certainly not winning on policy. They're not winning on enthusiasm for the bullcrap. Because right now, right now, remember, Trump is getting Hispanic votes. He's getting black votes. Yep. If that happens and he loses because of suburban white women, mm-hmm. that category of voter went for the Republicans in every election since 2000 up until uh, up until this one. Yep. Right. Right. So what's more likely that, that Republicans are able to pull back some of those votes in 2024? Or that Republicans lose all of the gains that Trump made with Hispanics and blacks, right? That becomes the calculation. Yeah, I suppose that the question does become what the party looks like after Trump. Because if the party does revert to a kind of Bush era or Romney type of candidate, something tells me Lil Wayne is not going to be endorsing Mitt Romney, you know, mm-hmm. or the, the Amish coming out in large numbers for Romney. I Googled earlier Amish for Romney. It has zero search results. Nothing comes <laughs> up. So, you know, obviously Trump is a unique figure. We'll, we'll see what happens after that. Ben, I think this is like Chekhov's gun. When you mention it has, the, to, the, happen it now, has right? yeah. to happen now, we, a, a good friend of mine said to me in 2016, I, when all the polls were going against against Trump, I had already had money on the table for Trump and I hedged my bet a little bit. I said, I'm going to lose a lot of money. And he said, Michael, you're an idiot. 
And he said, oh, of course Trump's going to win. I said, what are you talking about? All the polls are against Trump. He said, Michael, his name's Trump. In the movie, Trump has to win. And in the movie version of this, it has to be 269, 269. <laughs> it has to go to the House. It has to go if, to if, the Senate. nothing else, this is the only election analysis in which Chekhov's gun has been mentioned. It's <laughs> true. true, true. <laughs> yeah, they don't Tom, talk about Tom Tillis is uh, running ahead of Trump in North Carolina and uh, seems more and more likely that he's going to win that Senate that's, seat. That's big, if Tom well, Tillis that's wins good. that Senate seat, there's yeah. a very, very good shot that Republicans retain control of the Senate, which yeah. is like... A fantastic backstop. If God forbid Trump were to lose, yeah. having the Senate in Republican hands is a massive, massive win because at least you can stop the the vast craziness that is about to be unleashed on us if God forbid Biden were to win. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, so, Matt, looking into the future, since you were so uh, you were so right about all of those riots that were going on in the, the past seven months, what do you foresee this evening? If Trump wins, if Biden wins, if we don't know who wins. Are the cities getting burned down or do we do we get to take the, the plywood off of our stores and resume normal life? Well, I, th- I think the cities obviously are going to are going to experience the riding we're all expecting if, if Trump does win. I mean, if Biden wins, probably there will be some too celebratory riding. I don't think it'll last as long. But I do wonder, going back to you know the question of how, how was everybody wrong, the polling was wrong and everything. Um, because for me, the I never thought it'd be a Biden landslide, but the one thing, even though I knew Trump was an incumbent, so he's got a huge advantage, he's got a lot of enthusiasm, the one thing that always made me think, I don't know, maybe Biden wins, is that when you look at all of these cities where there, where there has been rioting or mostly peaceful protests, um, and uh, even, even going back to the Women's March four years ago, a million people came out. And, and all of that, you think, well, there's, there's, there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm against him. Um, where do those people... Why are they not showing up to vote? And uh, you, you start to wonder, maybe these people don't really hate Trump as much as they claim they do. Yeah. Maybe this is yeah. maybe this is just they, they love going out for a riot or a protest. It's a lot of fun, <laughs> uh, especially when you get a free TV out of the deal or a free microwave or something. But 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 actually going to vote, that's like a practical sort of boring step. And you got to go down ballot. And you're looking at Senate races. Who cares about that? Uh, and I, I wonder if that's if that's what it comes down to. A lot of these people, they they'll they'll grab the Molotov cocktail, but um, if it doesn't go boom and explode, they're they're just not as interested in it. Right. I don't know. Every single year, you hear the Democrats say, "This year, all the youth are going to vote, and we're going to have a blue landslide." And the youth are really excited, and they tweet, and they Instagram, and they TikTok, but they don't vote. They don't they don't actually show up to vote, and that that may be the case with the the rest of these Democratic voters. Looks like some good times happening at BLM Plaza in Washington, D.C. I can't imagine why a plaza that's been named for BLM would be a site of violence. It's <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no so strange. Whatsoever, because a movement that literally writes on the pavement, BLM equals defund the police. <laughs> how could things possibly turn violent? Apparently, people are hitting each other in the head with bats. Hmm. I, I don't yeah, understand I, I, how, why. How could that be? Like, you know? Why? Why? Here's the sky and you ask God. Here's an interesting little stat. That in Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania, Trump is ahead by 20 percent, 20 points. This is a county that Clinton won by three points. Wow. Also worth noting, Univision had a had a poll the other day that showed that Trump was losing Cubans in uh, in Florida mm. by 15 percent. He's winning Cubans in Florida by 40 <laughs> 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 percent. poll was off by uh, 55 points. So That's just, within the margin of error, though. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I will say that my <laughs> my security guy had a had a beat on this. He is uh, of of I believe Cuban extraction in uh, in Florida, and he was like, "Yeah, you have no idea, dude." Yeah, he was like, <laughs> in, in Miami Dade, he's like, people are showing up en masse, Cubans, yeah. Venezuelans, to vote for to vote for Trump, and it's it's hilarious to watch the media preemptively melting down. 
They're yeah. preemptively melting down. They're preemptively going like, oh, well, it's white people. Jamel Hill tweeted out. But it's, it's just, white it's people. just not. It's not the white people. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. So, like, he's he's actually not getting the white votes that he was getting last time. He's just getting way more minority votes. This is so funny. He's winning the popular vote. He's winning the popular vote. I mean, California hasn't come in. That's true. But, it's, but with that said, like, the, the fact that if he wins, based on elevated Latino and black vote, yeah. After they called him a vicious white supremacist <laughs> for four years and suggested, as Jonathan Chait did, that voting for Trump meant that you embraced his racism. And then he wins not because of a bunch of, quote unquote, racist, white, non-educated, high school education level idiots from the rural area. He doesn't win because of even those non-existent mythical people. He wins instead because Latinos and blacks don't see the world in the same terms as the idiot gender studies, Afro-American yeah. studies, white idiots in, in major universities. Yeah. That's, it's damned fantastic. It's it is. Huge. It's, it's huge. It's, it's I, I blame the Deplorables. You know, there's Deplorables down in Miami-Dade. <laughs> the they were the, <laughs> they're going to start renaming all of them because that, that uh, narrative is going to fall apart. L- Los Deplorables. Los, Los Deplorables. <laughs> By the way, Trump, Trump's lead in, in Ohio is now up to about five I know. points. I know. It's now up to about five points. Wow. So that, 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 is bad news for them in Pennsylvania. So keep an eye on Arizona. That's the next one that, uh, that mm. we should be keeping an eye on. You know, he, he can, if he wins Pennsylvania, he can win without Arizona. Right? If he wins Pennsylvania then, and he loses Arizona, he needs to either pick up Nevada or he needs to pick up both districts in Nebraska and one in Maine. Okay. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's where things stand yeah. right now. So if you, and if, if you were to, like, the fact that it would rely on Nebraska and Maine, it's a wild country, man, a very, very wild country. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, the the polls were tending to show a split in Nebraska uh, and a split in Maine, which would not be enough. If there were if there were a split in Nebraska and a split in Maine, and he loses Arizona, but he picks up Ohio, Pennsylvania. I'm doing the math in real time. North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Iowa. That puts him at 268. <laughs> How many points does Greenland offer though? Because yeah, that's, that's what push him over the edge. How did you feel? How did you feel about Crowder? Crowder's analysis, you know, I kind of was interested in that, that because he, he really doesn't know that area. Yeah, I mean, no, he said Ohio wasn't yeah. wasn't competitive. Yeah. So he's uh, he knows Ohio better than I do. Yeah. He spends a lot of time well, you know, he spends in Ohio time, yeah. and in, yeah. that, in that area. So yeah. he, he hit that one on the head. Um, again, if Arizona, Arizona is where it's uh, yeah, where it's ugly. But it'll be fascinating to see. Will the left? Let's say that Biden wins narrow, um, which is still very much on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's put aside the the the. Yeah. Preemptive drunken revelry. Yep. Which maybe we'll get to that later tonight. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if it, let's say that Biden wins narrow, if Biden wins narrow, will the left put aside the intersectional crap? Will Biden use that as an excuse to say, "Listen, I didn't run on that, and you guys are terrible, and we're not doing this anymore"? Well, because gonna, that could actually be quite a good thing for the country. And especially if we have fifty-one in the Senate. I mean, if we continue to keep right. the Senate, that'll make make a big difference because they just can't. Just a lot of stuff they can't get through. Right. Yeah. That that's, those Senate numbers are looking much much better for for the Republicans. Uh, so this is, uh, but to watch the meltdown happening in real time, you can see it. You can see it. The, the, the meltdown is happening in real time. Members of the media are starting to lose it. Uh, they're immediate, they're shifting the narrative almost immediately. It's going from, look at all these paths that Biden has to win and Trump has no paths to win to, well, Trump looks like he might theoretically have a path to win to, what are Biden's paths to win again? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and remember, again, this could take weeks. I mean, it, Philadelphia is not going to report vote totals until 9 a.m. tomorrow. Detroit isn't finishing counting a backlog of absentee ballots until tomorrow night. Hmm. It could take weeks. And you you remember Joe Biden, the Biden campaign leaked this earlier yesterday, which was that if it looked like Joe 
clearly won it. He was going to come out. He was going to declare victory, even though the campaigns had said they weren't going to do that. Now, I, I just don't know where it would stand. Uh, if the, at, as we get to the end of tonight, is there any world in which one of the campaigns can credibly de- declare victory? No, then no one's going to be able to declare victory tonight. Yeah. I, I, can't, so? I can't imagine it. You think so? Yeah, if Trump, if Trump wins Arizona, then he has the best shot at claiming victory. If he loses yeah. Arizona, um, I just can't imagine that, that he, it's, it's not, it's just not a clear cut election. It just ain't, like, they, I, I don't see how anyone's gonna claim victory tonight. I think that it's gonna be long into the night. We might have some indicators as to who we think is gonna, like, if Trump wins Arizona, I think at that point you have to, you have to start favoring the possibility that, that he wins the election. Yeah. Uh, but if he loses Arizona, you know, I, st- I still think you have to slightly favor Biden at that mm-hmm. point. Um, but this is way, way, way closer than anybody in the mainstream media. Oh my gosh! My God, this no, is not. This I mean, is, my God, this actually does off? not reflect the poll. I mean, the poll right. are not. You know, the last election, I, I always had a, a gripe with this idea that the last election, the polls got it right. I mean, yeah. to me, when you when you're saying it's a 98 percent chance <laughs> yeah. Trump's going to lose and he wins, you know, I, I get why they said it was right. I get why they said that some of the numbers were right and they just read mm-hmm. them wrong. But still, reading the polls is part of your job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody can collect that data, but you've got to read the polls. They read them wrong. And you can't just say, oh, we were we were right within the context of our entire wrongness. <laughs> we were essentially right. But this is different. This is actually yep. wrong. They were wrong. And, and already, you know, there's no there's no way for them to read this. And that that raises a lot of questions. It raises a question, the most important question. I mean, we were having cigars out on my patio talking to Spencer, and Spencer said they are not polling a country that exists. Yes. And, uh, and I think that that's uh, really something that we have to examine, you know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really pleased because we have been debating this for, for yes. a long time, yeah. you know, and I, I am always on the side of, uh, polls are ridiculous uh-huh. and data is ridiculous and <laughs> we should basically ignore the whole thing. Yeah. And people call me a kook. Maybe I was, was a kook sometimes. But at a certain point, if the, if the system breaks down, then, then the problem is they're modeling a country that does not exist. Right. Matt, what, what credence do you give, uh, to the polls, if any still? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, but it does seem like they got something wrong. Uh, one no thing that we, it. there we he go. Died. We have Matt. Matt died. <laughs> yeah. Matt's gone. Okay. Like the polls, Matt yeah. is no longer with us. I think, uh, um, that's a good way of putting it that they, that they're, they're, you know, polling a country that doesn't exist. I think it's a sort of a similar thing. We're talking about what happened with the black vote and the minority vote. Um, it, it's Democrats think, and, and we, we, we've seen this where they think that black lives matter and black people are yeah. the same thing. And so if you, mm. if you criticize Black Lives Matter, then you're criticizing black people. Whatever you say about Black Lives Matter, you're saying about black people. Yeah. And of course, that's completely ridiculous and untrue. Black Lives Matter is an actual organization. And then you look at what they believe, they believe, and what they profess, it's got nothing to do with black people whatsoever. But this, this is, this is how Democrats think. They think, well, this is what the black vote is. What, what does, what do Black Lives Matter believe? And they believe right. in, you know, disrupting the nuclear family and they care about <laughs> stuff like, heteronormative thinking, whatever the hell that is. And, um, no, this is, this has nothing to do with whatsoever, but they, but in their minds, they think it's exactly the same. It's an interchangeable group. And so they're trying to appeal to minority voters with this kind of stuff. And, um, yet again, it's sort of like appealing to a group that doesn't really exist or at least exists in much smaller numbers than they believe. And I think that's what's coming back to bite them right now. No, I'm looking at exit polls right now. And for what it's worth, this is so great. Yeah, so here's it. the, here's the change from 2016 in the exit polls. You ready for this? 
Okay, Latino women, plus three for Trump. Latino men, plus three for Trump. Black women, black women, plus four for Trump. Black men, plus four for Trump. White women, plus two for Trump. White men, down five for Trump. That's it. That's I just. That's crazy. Okay, I'm sorry. This, wow. This is we're, whatever. This is the alternative reality. We're living in it. Well, Elon Musk simulation. Wait, happening. this is not the alternative reality. It's the, the reality. They are the alternative, the alternative reality. No, that's right. But it's yeah. it's it's so counter. It's so counter to everything they've been saying for years. Yeah. That it's yeah. that it's. It's aston- I mean, it's still astonishing, and it should be astonishing, and it shows why nobody should ever subscribe to the New York Times. But you should subscribe. Daily Wire. <laughs> <laughs> you should. I mean, for, not, not only for all the announcements that we've made tonight, Candace Owens joining the Daily Wire, moving with us to Nashville and launching a show with a live audience. Not only that we now have PragerU videos available behind our paywall for all of our subscribers, not only that we are adding investigative reporters that we can compete with the mainstream media and we are forging into new territory, but also because you got to burn these suckers down. I mean, yeah. They, they are just awful at their jobs. They're awful at their jobs. I mean, if you, if you did not know anything about alternative media, if you didn't know anything about replacement media, and you had just been watching this narrative, this night must come like a clock on the head. It must, it must, it must come like a brick to the face because many of us, like, even those of us who tend to trust more in the data, right, in the data that we're provided, like me, even I've been saying, I'm not calling this. No. I literally said before the night started, I'm not making predictions tonight because I do not think it is possible to make predictions on the basis of the polls that are in front of us. So I, I had no solid feeling about the night. I had no real solid prediction about the night. Yep. The only prediction that I made about the night is I thought that Trump would win North Carolina, Florida, Arizona. So we'll see about Arizona. Yep. I didn't have a good feeling one way or the other about Pennsylvania. But if you watch the mainstream media, Trump was going to lose every single one of those states, plus Georgia, plus maybe Texas. Yeah. The, the, and, and they're just damned wrong. They're just wrong. I know. Uh, you know, this This was, uh, I've tried not to make any real predictions. If people ask me my feeling, I'll tell it to them. I put. I made a very modest bet with a, a Democrat friend of mine who insisted, he said, we got to put some money on it. I said, I made a modest bet. And I, you know, I bet for Trump. So he said, well, what are you basing that on? I said, absolutely nothing that you would acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. Nothing that you would respect or acknowledge. But that's, that's where and the money is going to go. And you've been pretty steady. I mean, yeah. you've, you have steadily, you know, you, you're the person I called up when I was in despair because yep. you were constantly saying, I think Trump is going to win. And again, it's it's an open question. I'm not Who knows? Sure. Yeah. But, we, but this is, it is a repudiation of everything they believe. You know, they won't admit it. If, if Trump loses, they will not have to bite the bullet. Yeah. Uh, and they won't because they're living in an alternate reality because they're trying to sell that reality to us. But, you know, <laughs> this is a good thing for replacement media. It yeah. does mean that people are going to start to say, you know, that Ben Shapiro, I thought he was a bad guy, but maybe he was actually telling the truth. Yeah. You know? what, have, I, have you ever, I mean, I, I, I won't say that. I say this only somewhat <laughs> jokingly. I know that we watch the big clips on, on the yeah. legacy media, but have you ever sat there in, in recent years and watched like an hour of CNN, yes, an hour of, yes. it is truly, yes. I, I was, I, I was actually scandalized by it because, you know, we were talking to Ron DeSantis earlier, Governor Ron DeSantis, very nice guy, very intelligent guy, yes. very serious man to, to watch the way that he is portrayed compared to yep. St. Andrew Cuomo, whose policies led directly to thousands of deaths in New York from coronavirus. The policies were at fault. And to see how those are portrayed, if, if I only watched CNN, like some of my friends and relatives, I, tr- I would believe that as well. So it seems to me that is maybe priority number one, is you've got to crack that legacy media strength. You know, well, the, the important thing is that the Young Turks are completely melting down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, report, I, I hear a report that the Young Turks are saying that, quote, many people of color hate themselves. Well, Which is yeah, good. That, it's good. It's good when people learn no lessons from anything that happens in their life. It's one of my favorite yeah. things. It's like when they get hit in the face by a rake and then they immediately just jump right back on the on same the, rake. The it's like, okay, so you just basically said all black people should vote a certain way because you say Donald Trump is a racist. And as long as you just keep proclaiming Republicans racist, black people will keep voting like that. 
and Hispanics are all going to vote for you because you're going to call Donald Trump a racist. Plus, you're going to talk about amnesty endlessly. And suddenly all Hispanic people who mostly, believe it or not, came here legally are suddenly going to get on board with that. And and then if they don't vote like you want them to, you're just going to say they're white. You're right. Like, right. like that, that is your solution? You know, this is your solution? Okay, guys. The best they've got. Go for it. One of the things I tell tell my liberal friends, my few remaining liberal friends, is just for a couple of days in a row, read the New York Times op-ed page and read the Wall Street Journal op-ed page. Not whether you agree with them, but the tone of thought, the level of thought. Because the New York Times op-ed page is literally like being, literally, it's figuratively like being in a nursery with a bunch of people screaming, where the Wall Street Journal, they tend trend right. But they discuss things at a very, very high level with very nuanced ideas. You don't hear anybody's being called Hitler. Nobody's being right. called. At some point, at some point, you start to say, well, I want to be with the adults. Yes, yeah. of course. And it's like an age gone by. Uh, but but speaking of a room full of people screaming, we do have to cut to our war room oh, yeah. so that we can find out what is going on in the granular level. Matt Walsh, thank you for being with us. Uh, I'll see you over at the looting parade later on. We turn now to our war room Guys, what is the latest? What's going on? I mean, what is going on? Missouri has now been called for President Trump, and I'm going to talk to our very own Ian Howarth about this, editor here at the Daily Wire. We've been in the war room. Mm-hmm. We've been getting all the data. We've been looking at the projections. Tell us what is going on. I mean, Missouri. Yeah, Missouri was one of those that early on we were actually kind of worried about. Hmm. But it last couple of weeks... The polls have really trended in Trump's favor, so it's good okay. to see him tick that, that okay. box. And we now have new data coming out of Ohio. Mm-hmm. So Ohio is the really exciting one. So we've been watching that, getting pretty excited in there. So 82% reporting right now. Trump is up 6.2%. So do you get, if, like yet again, the polls seem to be off by over 5%, which is pretty shocking. Um, in terms of the difference between 2016 and 2020, it's interesting. The gap is a little smaller. There's like around 5% difference between Biden and Trump right now. And Biden is doing well in, like, Columbus, Cleveland, as expected. So it's not like we're waiting for a ton of votes to come in. Okay, you read my mind there. Because my question is, when it came to Georgia or Virginia or Pennsylvania and all these battleground states that we've been talking about and looking at the data, um, I think everybody kind of wonders. We know that there's those metropolitan Mm -hmm. left-leaning bubbles. And we don't want to call states or we don't want to get too optimistic because sometimes you can have an entire state that looks really red. But where the votes, you know, count or not they count everywhere, but where the metropolitan like population resides it can skew to the left but mm-hmm. you're saying in ohio we're not at risk of that right now uh, i wouldn't be quite that that cap i you know i want to like hedge my bets a little bit but He's like british guys yeah. he doesn't want to be that optimistic <laughs> just it's it's impossible genetically <laughs> but like 82 percent reporting is is a good look for trump so. okay and we wanted to talk a little bit about the senate races ben mm-hmm. you touched on this briefly earlier and what the senate was looking like in arizona and north carolina i've worked on campaigns michael knowles has worked on campaigns it's hellish don't ever do it um, you are a data wonk. And when we look at those presidential, like, kind of the things coming in, typically lots of people go in, even sometimes P1 voters will re-talk about they vote the presidential race and they ignore things further down. But if things are looking good for Democrats or Republicans, depending on what the Senate race is, sometimes that can tell us mm-hmm. what the up ballot is going to look like, right? Yes. I mean, firstly, thank you for calling me a data wonk. That's something I can <laughs> add to my resume. That's very exciting. So in terms of North Carolina, it's interesting because 89% reported Tillis ahead of Cunningham mm-hmm. by 1.1%. That kind of mirrors the uh, presidential race a little bit. Worrying for Trump with Arizona, though, if we assume that logic is true, 74% reported Kelly ahead of McSally by 10.3%. So that's a definite worry. A lot of the um, scenarios we talked about involved Arizona. So we're going to have to do some uh, 
restructuring of our math on that one. Lastly, though, one interesting um, state to look at, mm -hmm. Georgia, 54% reported. Purdue ahead of Ossoff by 13.3%. One delicious fact about Ossoff, I think, is uh, he lost Georgia's sixth district house race in 2017 for an absolute ton of money. He spent a ton of money this time, so... It's kind of deliciously funny when someone spends money twice and loses both Well, times. it's not just him spending the money twice. It's mm -hmm. the National Democratic Party yes. choosing to dump a lot of money into that race. It turned, looks like it didn't turn out for them in Georgia. Definitely didn't work for them against Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. in Kentucky. Um, so we'll or be Beto watching. Or or be, <laughs> we'll be watching those races. Sorry, I just, whenever I hear his name, I have to laugh. Um, we'll be watching those races across the country. And another thing that is worrying, unfortunately, a lot of people projected this. I made my grocery store and gun runs earlier this week in anticipation <laughs> unfortunately, of the potential for riots, no matter how election night came down, no matter who won tonight. And for an update on what is happening in Washington, D.C. and what we're seeing on social media, we have our very own Cassie Dillon. Cassie, what do you have? So right now in Portland, things are starting to heat up. Uh, it seems that Black Lives Matter protesters are walking down the street. Some of them are armed and they're chanting black power. So things are starting to heat up there which is expected with that place. Um, but in Washington, D.C., things are really starting to get heated. Uh, the protesters gathered in Black Lives Matter Plaza, and now they're starting to move further into the city around different neighborhoods. Uh, so right here in this video, you can see police are arresting somebody. Uh, they're on the ground. And then the next video, it looks like a smoke bomb has gone off. It's not tear gas, some sort of smoke bomb probably put out by an Antifa person. And then in another video, you can see Antifa gearing up. They're wearing these Halloween masks, which I actually bought for my Halloween costume. But apparently one woman's Halloween costume is also an Antifa person's riot gear. Uh, so they're starting to gear up there. And some of them have bats, metal bats, and uh, police are trying to disperse them. So we're going to pay close attention to how the tension is rising throughout the night, especially as President Trump is looking a lot better in the polls and a lot better in the results. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you, that, Cassie. And now we're going to get a bit back to Jeremy and all of the guys. We promise the war room is still here, still working hard. We'll be coming to you guys with more information as soon as we get it. Thank you, Cassie uh, and Alicia. Cassie, you're, you're very talented, but you're also very young. And clearly you don't recognize those right-wing provocateurs <laughs> from Portland. But we'll, we'll, we'll allow it for tonight. We'll excuse it. Fake news, uh, but good work. Listen. So Sorry, quick thing. Please. Can I just point out how full of crap the network news are? They still have not called Florida. Really? Really. Yeah, of course. They still oh. have not called Florida. Florida is almost 100% in. There's no shot that Biden takes it. It's been over for, when did we call it? An hour and a half ago? Yeah. That's right. Two hours ago. Ron DeSantis is raging about it on Twitter, as well he should be, pointing out that if this were Joe Biden winning Florida, they would have called this thing two hours ago. He, uh, he tweeted out, President Trump is up in Florida by almost 400,000 votes, with more than 90% of precincts reporting. Why haven't networks called the race? It's a done deal. The refusal to recognize the obvious speaks volumes about the lack of objectivity of these outlets. He's absolutely right, and that's why we keep harping on it tonight. That you, The media cannot be redeemed. The media cannot be reformed. The media must be replaced. And the only way to do that is to continue to grow organizations like the Daily Wire, which is why I've been telling you, leaking out little... Uh, information all night. We told you we're starting a show with Candace Owens, who's moving to Nashville to join the Daily Wire. Told you that we're bringing the entire PragerU library to the Daily Wire. We told you that we're launching a new morning show called The Morning Wire. I'm also going to, I'm pleased to tell you that we are hiring three full-time investigative journalists uh, so that we can start doing the work that up until now only the left has been able to do. Don't get cocky, kids. The New York Times alone has 1,600 journalists, uh, but we're going to take the steps that are in front of us. We, you, you, you know, the only way that you can eat the 
Uh, to start by uh, whatever, man. I don't know. <laughs> you got to start where you can start, and where we're going to start is by uh, is small. So we're going to start. We're going to keep putting one foot in front of another, and we're getting out ahead even of our revenue. We're asking uh, you if we take a leap on all of this content, and we really go and try to replace the media. We try to replace these institutions that despise us. Uh, you know, we're we're confident that you will come along uh, and start supporting us instead of supporting them. Become a subscriber over at DailyWire.com. Use the promo code ELECTION. We'll give you 25% off. And you can be like the 200,000 Daily Wire subscribers who we have right now. You can be a part of the solution. Uh, because, listen, we're all going to have to do whatever we can. If if we're learning anything tonight, is that the media, which we all know went all in for Donald Trump, did so dishonestly. They did so with an agenda. They lied to you constantly. Let's replace them. You know, can I say, can I, I, I got to say something. I, I've been talking for over 20 years about the culture and moving into the culture and the fact that the right has abandoned the culture. Yes. And to sit here and to watch this clown actually do what I've been talking about is incredibly moving to me. And if you weren't you, I would actually appreciate it. <laughs> Her words were never <laughs> I would actually give you a, a big wet kiss on your ugly head because you are doing an amazing, seriously, pal, you're doing an amazing thing that has been waiting to be done, but it took vision and it took balls. <laughs> it took courage. And and I think that's, it's just listening, you, you wouldn't tell me what your announcements were before we came on, and I guessed a couple of them, but still, still, uh, you're doing exactly what needs to be done, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, I'm, I actually may be nice to you for, I don't know, 20 minutes. Well, not only is that the nicest thing you've ever said to me, it's the only nice thing you've ever said. <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I like that. The bar was low. Michael. Well, I just, uh, your botched idiom did make me think of another botched idiom, which is uh, very famously, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. Fool me twice. Uh, 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 the point is, you ain't gonna <laughs> fool me again. And the, le- the legacy media has fooled us more than once, uh, but certainly in 2016. Yeah. And it, it looks like they fooled us again. And so it, it is just from, uh, I'm, I'm very excited too about everything that's going on at Daily Wire right now. Uh, but, but even if that weren't going on, there, there, there would have to be something because yeah. there is no, no matter what happens tonight, there is no credibility left for that old yeah. ossified institution. It's, it's inflamed. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the important thing is that I think that we can all recognize that Joe Biden really brought the front of the management of Persia. He did. He, yeah, it's it's, amazing it's about time somebody. Now, can, can we talk for a second? We haven't mentioned his name all night, even though he might be the president. Joe Biden is a complete non-entity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He is just a non-entity. Yeah. Like no one gives two good dams yeah. about. Joe Biden or anything happening to Joe Biden. You said, I think, in your video about which, which, by the way, I want to congratulate you on your why you're voting for Trump video. It was one of the most honest, uh, one of the most honest reflections that I've seen anyone in media give. It's very hard to ever be critical of your former position. Yeah. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong. Is. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, but one of the things you said in that video is that Joe Biden is like a, a cardboard mask being worn by the radical left. And I think that's exactly right. The reason we don't talk about him is because Joe Biden doesn't matter in the election at all. Yeah. You and I had the opportunity, Ben, in the in the West Wing to meet with Jared and Ivanka. And we met with them separately, which I always think is an important part of the conversation. One day we went to the West Wing and we met with Ivanka Trump. The following day we went to the West Wing and had breakfast with Jared Kushner. And that was three years ago. And in that meeting, we told them it's Biden. The biggest threat yeah. to the president is Biden. And they said, no, Biden, he's old, he's has been, he's a non-entity, it's going to be Bernie, or it's going to be Warren. Or it's going to be. And we said, no, it's Biden. And the reason that you should take him seriously, the reason he is a genuine threat, is also the reason you don't even think about him, that he's not on your mind at all. That is what Biden brought to this race. Biden is 
nothing. And the argument, the pitch of the left is, if you hate all this chaos, the violence in the street, the masks, the lockdowns, the dying, the crazy Trump rallies, the crazy uh, won't condemn white supremacy at least 17 times a day. <laughs> if you hate all of that, we could just go back to nothing. Yeah. You don't have to have any opinion of Joe Biden. That's his actual strength. It may actually be enough to carry the day. Listen, Trump's having a, a wonderful night. Uh, I think no matter what happens, the pollsters were actually wrong. They were actually wrong in this election in a way that they weren't even wrong in the 2016 election. And that's even if Biden manages to pull this out at this point. There is still a chance that Joe Biden could be president on a platform of nothing, Mm -hmm. a a nothing man on a platform of nothing who held no events and stayed at home in his basement, held no press conferences, could win because because his that is his actual value. You know, in, in this moment, you know, I was uh, at a, a Jesse Lee Peterson town hall uh, hmm. last week, which I always enjoyed doing. And one of the guys there was this very far left uh, guy who calls himself Destiny and he's on YouTube. And I, and I, I don't want to uh, rag on the guy because he showed up at this very, yeah. very right wing event. And I uh, admired yeah. him and respected him for that. But he was talking about Joe Biden the, <laughs> in these glowing terms. And it reminded me of the people that even even Knowles has held at arm's length who sit around and talk about, oh, Trump is a pious, you know, godly man who's doing, you know, the the people we say, well, no, that's not what's going on. He was that guy for Biden. And I think there are people who are just willing to jump into that ship uh, who he was saying, oh, Joe Biden's going to bring back the rule of law. (laughs) I thought, yeah, (laughs) it's going to be Chinese law. But, you know, never mind. (laughs) And, And I thought it was amazing, amazing what people will believe. If they think they can get what they want out of it. And, and That's I, right. I think he believed it. I don't think he was yeah. lying. I thought he believed it. Well, you know, that we always talk about Biden's best pitch is a return to normalcy. Yeah. I think the Biden campaign is making that pitch. That's a return to normalcy. The thing is, something about normal was wrong. The reason that Donald Trump won the nomination, the reason he won the general election, is because normal was wrong. By the way, the the looting that we're having, the the arson, the tearing down of the rule of law, the threats to the judiciary and the Constitution, that is all part of normal. It's the party of normal that's doing that, right? It's the party that's promising us normal. And so I I just think we are are trapped in this system of what normal was, obviously in the media and technology and politics and bureaucracy and all of that. And and the, the wise people have pulled themselves out of it and said, wait a second. This normal thing, it's not the mainstream anymore. This is not representing what people want. This is not representing reality. And we, we you know, you said it uh, very wisely last time. I, I can't believe there's one wise I, thing you've ever said. Yeah, and it was you were drunk. It was, yeah. it was the bottle talking. <laughs> it was dark, yeah. But you said, I don't know if Donald Trump is the beginning of something, but he is the end of something. He is, that, he is marking the end of some era that has run its course. And who knows what comes next? That remains to be seen. But whatever, whatever was coming before it, that does seem to be it. It wasn't the people's normal. It was the elite's normal. And the thing about it is, is until they actually form a global coalition that can crush the American people, they, they're not as far ahead as they think they are. You know, They right. thought after 2012 that they had formed an unbeatable coalition. Yep. A coalition that, that of, could, of not, could not be defeated, right? Yep. That, that, that coalition would, would win for all time. And then Trump won. And their assumption was that that was a transitory moment, and it was brought about by a bunch of extraneous factors ranging from Russian interference to the predations of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. And it turns out, nope, all that crap was real. And the real, honestly, I think there's a big question for the Democrats here. Uh, the, the big question for the Democrats is that if, the, if they win narrowly or if they lose, 
narrowly. Either way, are they going to turn further to the left or do they, do they learn a lesson? Mm. Because let's say that Biden wins, but he wins very, very narrowly. Does he turn to his woke left and say, you guys got to go because you almost cost me this election? Or does he say to them, I need you that much more because I have this slim a majority? Hmm. And if he loses, does the Democratic Party say he lost because we rioted in the cities and because of COVID and because of a bunch of other factors? Or are they going to say we lost because we didn't skew far enough to the left and we need to tack to the Bernie Sanders, Ilhan Omar left? And I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think they know the answer to that question yet. But the best organized group in the aftermath of chaos usually is the one that wins. You know, AOC has easily won her district again. And I think it's it's really uh, it makes you thankful that the Electoral College is in the Constitution. That's right. That it has to be gotten rid of by constitutional amendment. They can't just vote it out like like the Supreme Court, which they can do. Uh, and because I think there are these pockets of leftism, but that's not what the country is about still. I don't think it's about this in Manhattan. I don't think yeah. it's about this no, in no. parts of Brooklyn, the, the, the heart of darkness. I think it's about their, these pockets of belief in this this system, this, the thing about socialism is it's the oldest system in the world. Yeah. The only thing that is new in politics is the idea that freedom should reign, that individuals right. should reign. Socialism is essentially uh, essentially the value system of Cain, right? Yeah. Well, if you did something, yeah. that something had value. I want that something. <laughs> yeah, I think it's even further than that. Whitaker Chambers, you know, the great ex-communist, he wrote Witness. Yep. One of the guys who brought Ronald Reagan over to the right, he said, people think of socialism and communism as this 150-year-old idea. It's the second oldest religion in the world. It began when the serpent in the garden said, ye shall be as gods. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is, it's, it's a gospel of envy, you know, as, as Winston Churchill called it. And, you know, the sad thing is, it's not new, but it's also not going to go away. It's going to crop right. up in various forms again and again, and we have to beat it. Is this uh, this woman, what's her name, from the, the 1690s? Yeah, project. Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's a nut, yeah. One day after this election is over, I am going to write a piece about how Latino is a contrived ethnic category that artificially lumps white Cubans with black Puerto oh. Ricans and indigenous Guatemalans <laughs> and helps explain why Latinos support Trump at the second highest rate. It is, She'll it win is another, a contrived category. Let's yeah. go win another Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Listen, back with us right now, we have our friend Governor Ron DeSantis of the great state of Florida. Governor, what on earth is happening in your state? Why haven't they called it? Well, I think it speaks more about their bias than uh, any of the facts. I think if Biden won every vote outstanding, he still couldn't win. The president's got a 400,000 vote margin. Wow. Not only that, we flipped two, took out two Democrat U.S. Con congressmen in southern Florida. Wow. Two flips there. We had Eric Holder spend $15 million to try to flip the state house in Florida, and we gained five seats. Wow. We're likely to have gained a seat in the state Senate. So, I mean, this is uh, up and down the ballot. This is, uh, um, you know, great performance for Republicans. And the fact that you have these uh, networks, some of whom called Virginia before a yep. single vote was counted, <laughs> still not be willing to call Florida when the die is completely cast. There is no doubt about this. Um, I think it's really frustrating. I think people have a right to be upset. And quite frankly, you know, you guys are probably getting more viewers leaving Fox and coming to watch you guys. So it's probably good for you. <laughs> so you're saying it's not just a red mirage, as they've been trying to <laughs> warn us about all day, but Florida is solidly going for Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he won by 115,000 votes in 16. He's tripled that margin at a minimum. Wow. 
And wow. uh, and remember, wow. CNN, NBC, all these polls said he's going to lose by five to seven points. Same old stuff year after year. They haven't gotten election rights since 2012. Uh, and yet we kind of do this all the time. So at some point there should be a reckoning yep. uh, for this uh, political media complex, putting out their phony polls, doing their bogus analysis and, and maybe hold somebody accountable for it. Because it's one thing to miss one. But when you consistently miss in the same direction every time, um, you know, we think that there's an agenda at play there. And Governor DeSantis, worthy of noting that one of the, the factors in, in Florida that continues to be a big win for Republicans in that state is the increasing share of the Latino vote that is being won, prompting Nicole Hannah-Jones to, of course, declare that Latinos are now white, which is exciting stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, and that apparently is holding true across the country. Star County, Texas, is the most Latino county in the United States. It is 96 percent Latino. It went for Joe Biden by a margin of 52 to 47. So we are watching a historic realignment among Hispanic and Latino voters across the country. What do you make for that? And what do you make for that in terms of the future of the Republican Party? I mean, Florida may be what the future of the Republican Party looks like. Well, I think there's two two things come to mind. One kind of a, a, a larger issue of the Democrats going so far left, mm. uh, left on cultural issues, left on religion, you know, against religion, uh, anti-American in many respects in terms of some of the the, the, the causes they've embraced. And then I also think more specifically, Biden was the lockdown candidate. OK, locking down, stopping businesses, closing schools, that hurts blue collar folks. Obviously, That's Hispanics right. are, are a big portion of that. It's not limited to that. But I think when he's talking about a dark winter, saying we can't have school, he was literally did a video saying someday we will be able to have friends over to our house and go to the movies and have kids in school. I'm thinking to myself. In Florida, we've been doing this for months. I mean, what are you talking about? But I think it really spooked people because it's, uh, you know, the media, they like lockdown. So Biden thinks, I think, thought that was popular. I think it worked against him, uh, in Southern Florida in particular. Uh, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we have every county in Florida has school in person and, and that's just so important for working class people. But I do think you are seeing uh, a realignment. This is more of the working class base. It's a more populous base for the Republicans, somewhat similar to Reagan and Nixon in 72. But I think it may be uh, in some respects more durable because I think it does cross racial and ethnic lines more so than we had it there. If you notice in Dade County, uh, obviously he did very well with Hispanics, but some of the African-American precincts, you see movement. It ain't winning a majority. Uh, but if you win 15% and you keep building off that, even if it's a percent a year, that hurts the Democrats. They can't find those votes anywhere else. And so I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. Donald Trump was viewed when he ran in 16 by the media as a racist. And they kept saying that. They always said it. And yet here he has more than any Republican president uh, brought in people from all walks of life into the Republican fold. Uh, Governor DeSantis, they're talking a lot about, you know, the, the sort of shifting image of the Republican Party that, when Mitt Romney ran in 2012, this was a college-educated, largely white party. A lot of talk now about the, the idea of a multi-racial uh, and, uh, and working-class party, uh, as opposed to you know, what the Republican Party was largely perceived as, the party for the, the rich and white. Uh, what, what do you make of that? And what does this say about the future of the Republican Party, whether Trump ends up winning or ends up losing? The polls have been dramatically wrong here, and there is no shot that this thing is anything but a very nail-biting close election. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of the upper income areas vote Democrat now. I mean, we see that the, the areas around Washington, D.C., the most affluent uh, counties in the in the country are all heavily Democrat. Obviously, the New York City suburbs and whatnot. 
Um, and then I think you get into those exurbs in the rural areas, and, man, Trump is blowing off the doors. Now, part of that, I think, you know, there's going to be an economic component that Republicans, um, you know, are going to need to tend to. Um, and if you notice what Nancy Pelosi wanted to do, she wanted to put the SALT uh, deduction back in. That's a tax cut for the rich. Um, right. And so it's interesting how those dynamics work out. But I also think just on these core issues of patriotism, culture, um, and I do think the lockdowns, being against the lockdowns, uh, I think that that really connects. And I think Trump is somebody, I think he was able to do this to a certain extent because, you know, you th- I think I told the president the other day this. It's like, Mr. President, if someone had asked me when I was 10 years old who's a rich guy, I would have said Donald Trump. Like, he was just so known by everybody. So people in my generation in their 30s and 40s and 50s, we grew up with Trump. We knew him. He was not he's not just a politician. And so I think now that he's in politics, people have a different frame of reference. And so I think it appeals uh, to folks beyond the typical Republican fold. It obviously repels some of the, the, the more upper class who consider themselves so highly educated and whatnot and the more elites. Uh, but I think he has a real strong connection, uh, with kind of the heart of the country. And I, and look, I, 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 he's won Florida. He's won North Carolina. He's won Georgia. He's won Ohio. So now we're at the point where, you know, if he wins Arizona, and I think the election day vote's going to be two or three to one for him. So I think he has still has a good chance of that. You know, he's still one, he's one state away, just like we, we, we had anticipated. And all the media, you know, it wasn't a question of Biden winning. It was, could this be a Reagan-esque landslide? They were talking about 400 plus yeah. electoral votes. They were talking about a 10 point margin in the electoral college. That ain't going to happen. Governor, you make such a great point here on the frame of reference because the media, they play the same old story every time. Whoever the Republican is, he's a racist, he's a sexist, he's a bigot. And then when it's Donald Trump, you say, wait a second, I know Donald Trump. I know that he's none of those things. And and so it, it makes you question the media. But when, when we don't have a, a nominee who is a billionaire TV star that we've all known for 30 years, when we have someone who's a little more in the usual line of political nominees, do you think that that will be able to carry over, that voters will remember, wait a second, the media do lie about these guys, they don't tell the full story, or do you think their power is going to creep back in when you when you don't have this unique type of Donald Trump candidate? Well, I think that I think it's a choice. Do we build off what the president's done? Um, I can tell you, since I've been governor, you know, I've, I've tried to do that. I mean, you know, we have places in Florida, for example, Gadsden County up here in North Florida, the most heavily African-American county. Um, you know, I show up in Gadsden County and work with the local officials. We work on different issues together. I mean, I, they're probably 100 percent Democrat, yeah. um, but we work together on common issues. And, and I think showing up and letting people know that you care uh, that goes an awful long way. Um, and once you show up and they see you and they know you and they talk to you, not all of them may end up voting for you. But, man, it's sure hard for them to accept a caricature that the media is going to try to do at some point, you know, in the future. And so, um, you know, some of my strongest Democrat allies in the legislature uh, are African-Americans uh, representatives. I mean, we work with them. They help pass school choice for us. They support us on uh, we did a parental consent for abortion, for minors, and they, they were lining up with us. And so, you know, there are a lot of issues that uh, uh, that we can work together on. So you just got to be willing to show up and you got to be willing to, to make the case. And I think for so long, Republicans have said, well, we're going to lose 90 percent, so why even bother? But you know what? If you lose 85 to, to 15, <laughs> yep. that does matter. And I think what Trump showed in Florida was in these Democrat counties in southern Florida – 
He didn't win Dade. He didn't win Broward. He didn't win Palm Beach. But he did better than he did in 16. And that probably was 150,000 yeah. votes in those three yeah, right, counties right. Uh, improvement uh, in terms of his margin. And so I think it was really good. And, uh, you know, in Florida, we have a good opportunity for this because, you know, not only do we have all not just this. I mean, these are Hispanics from all over Latin yeah. America, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, you name it. Um, we also have a strong African-American community, but also includes the Caribbean-Americans. Uh, I tried to put a uh, the first Jamaican-American on our state Supreme Court. Uh, we had some litigation in that, so it didn't quite work out. But, I mean, you have Haitians, you have Jamaicans, you've got a lot of stuff down here. And my sense is is that, um, you know, we have a chance to make inroads if we keep showing up. Right. Governor DeSantis, I think you also personally deserve a fair bit of credit. You took an enormous amount of flack from the media for months. You were there whipping post on everything COVID-related. You were the guy who blew it, even though you were the only person who was actually looking at the data and trotting out rational policy. And the voters of Florida, this has to be taken, at least in part, as a referendum on your governorship. I mean, the fact is that it's not just that Trump won the state going away. It's also that a couple of congressional districts that were not supposed to shift Republican did, in fact, shift Republican, including a likely Democratic district that was shifting Republican. Republicans pick up a couple of seats. They win Florida 15, Florida 18, Florida 26, Florida 27. And uh, frankly, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that the people of Florida just don't believe the media's lies about you and, and the way that you've handled an issue like COVID. I mean, I, I oh, live yeah, in the state no, now, well, and the well, fact is that well, that's the way it is. And, you know, we um, we did two things that we focused on. One was voter registration. So we went into 2020, 200,000 more Republicans vis-a-vis the Democrats than in 16. And, you know, we had to put, you know, a lot of money into that. Uh, but I think that that was good. And then I think also the registration increases because people move here because they want to be governed in a better way than some of these uh, really liberal states. Um, and I do think that the, uh, you know, w- once you push to have society open, people don't want to go back to that, Ben. I know the media wants to shut everything down and you could probably fashion a poll that will say people want everything shut down. But that's not how they behave, and they want to be able to live their lives, and we've given them that opportunity. The average American is not rich enough for the shutdowns. The most (laughs) disgusting thing about these shutdowns, in my estimation, is that the people who call for them, the political elite, the media elite, these are all people who can work from home, who can continue to make six-figure and higher incomes working from their homes, and then they act as though they're the champions of people who need to go to work who put bread on the table for their family. It's a disgusting thing they've done. Thank you, Governor DeSantis, for standing against it, and thanks for being with us again tonight. Thank you. And one thing I would just add to that, you actually have people who support closing schools who turn around and send their kids to private in-person education. That is a disgrace. You must be talking about our governor. (laughs) You didn't say it, we did. (laughs) Thank you, Governor. And... God bless. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, I think that on that note, after wrapping with the governor of Florida, we should turn to our Daily Wire war room and see what's happening in the state of Florida, one of the most important states in the country, Elisha. You know, Jeremy, you've been talking a lot tonight about that legacy media, and legacy media seems very afraid to call Florida and the governor there, rightfully calling them out. So we're going to do something that we've never done before in Daily Wire history. We've got the editor-in-chief, John Bickley, right here. Bickley, what are we doing? We're doing something very fun for me as a Florida boy. We're calling Florida for Trump. So let's look at it. This is an easy one. And why is it easy here? We've got over 95% reporting. He's up by 3%. He's got... There's no way that Trump loses this. It's actually, okay. It is absurd that it's not been called. 
just like the governor was saying. What that does, if we look at the electoral map here, is we see a lot of wins building for Trump. Okay, so we're going to look at the electoral map. We want to see where the tally is. We have this tally of Joe Biden at 209, Donald Trump yep. at 141. This is where we sit right now with all of the states that have been called by the Daily Wire and members of the mainstream media. Um, tell me what's happening in Georgia and North Carolina. Yeah, so we're seeing him build this heartland, deep red uh, base here. Georgia, North Carolina, like we said, trending his direction, okay. almost positively going to win those. Ohio, he just keeps pulling away more and more in Ohio, an absolutely pivotal state. He's doing well there. Pennsylvania is still too far off. We can't tell. One of the things that's developing, though, that's not great for Trump is that Arizona is looking bad for him. Okay, so if Arizona is looking bad, but he can pull out a win in those states that you right. just mentioned, we're going to look at a potential pathway to victory. What does that pathway to victory look like in this scenario of Donald Trump and Mike Pence losing Arizona? So when we did our initial analysis, actually our number two scenario was him losing Arizona. We thought there was a chance that would happen. If that does happen, how does he make up for it? There's actually an easy way to make up for it. Okay. Iowa has always been something that he, was very attainable for him. We think he's going to get Iowa. All he needs then is to make up for the deficit there, which is really only a few points. He could pick up Nevada. If he picks up one of these states here, like Wisconsin, which is actually he's turning well in, beyond expecta far really? beyond expectations. He okay. was way behind in polling in that. There's some hope there. So there is a way that he could win still. Again, this scenario, which we thought was by polling data, the most likely would give him 273 in the win. Okay. And I mean, Ben talked about earlier, there's a fear that could we be at 269, 269. <laughs> this is you guys laying this uh, out. And I have yeah, to tell the happen. audience and, and like giving credit to the war room and all of the editors and everybody gathering information here at the Daily Wire. We're not just like copying and pasting what other politicos are saying on social media and on television. These guys have worked really hard. These guys have been crunching the numbers. And this is why we have all of these scenarios kind of laid out of what Trump's pathway to victory is going to be and why we're not rushing to call balls and strikes here, in the words of Ben Shapiro. Um, we really want to make sure that we're giving everybody the right information when we get it and revealing that, once again, like 2016, win, lose, or draw tonight, polling wasn't 100% accurate. Right. The, the gap here in Florida is like a 3% gap. Yeah. Some of the other states, it's looking like a 5% miss by pollsters. This is a devastating, another devastating night for pollsters. No matter what happens the rest of the night, it's already devastating for them. And again, we've heard a very consistent narrative. And it's a, it's a sort of a, depress, a depression of the uh, Republican vote. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they're not calling Florida. I think it's pretty obvious. We need to call Amazing what's that. what's happening and seeing yeah. how it develops. This is what's happening. There is a trend here. It's a good trend for Trump. It's not that he's he's cleared out for the the, the rest of the victory. He's got a, a battle, but it's looking good. I earlier in the day had the final countdown in my head, and now I need to come up with a new theme song because it looks like we could be here for a while. Right. But the only reason that we are able to be here is because of our amazing Daily Wire members. So I wanted to give you guys some questions from them. Um, this question goes to Andrew Clavin. Historically, have presidential elections given any indication of gubernatorial races? For example, I and many in my social circle would very much like to see um, the governor of Pennsylvania deposed. What do you think, Drew? That the uh, presidential actions have an effect on gubernatorial races. So in other words, during the Obama administration, you saw uh, state 
Democrats wiped out. Uh, people liked Obama. They, he was he was appealing to them. They thought he was a good guy, but they didn't like his policies, and they registered that by voting for Obama, but voting against everybody else. And I think also, you know, politics is local at that level. You know, I mean, that is that is local politics, and some of the things that are happening in a state may not re be reflected in the national average. I think that uh, if Trump, listen, if Trump wins this, if Trump wins this. It's the end of identity politics. I, I, I genuinely believe that. I think that the identi identity politics is what the socialists use to replace class politics. Yeah. Because yeah. In, in America, we don't really have uh, class warfare. But we do have racial tension. And so they use racial tension where they used to use class politics. If Trump wins this, that strategy has failed. And that is going to have an effect on every single race in the country for a long time to come because they have not got really anything else. We don't have class, uh, we don't have class battles here in the way they do in other countries. And our, I believe, I personally believe and have said this repeatedly that the, the racial panic that is going on is a panic about the fact that blacks are now accepted as part of America. It wasn't always true. I right. grew up in a bad time for this. But it has definitely become true. The path to assimilation, to becoming part of America, an accepted part of America, is wide open. Yeah. And that's why this kind of uh, panic has started, this kind of uh, violent panic. If that goes away, if blacks reject that, if Latinos reject that, that's going to have an effect on every state in the, in the nation. And you're ne so you're never going to have class politics here, class warfare, yeah. uh, right? Because we don't have classes. You're, you're not, you, you may not have racial warfare, and you'll never have a war between the sexes because, of course, everybody's sleeping with the enemy. So <laughs> then you, you have to wonder, what do you move to next? And it seems like they've run out of options. It, it, it will be true. If, this, if identity politics falls apart, they are going to have to come up with, they will come up with a new strategy. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but, but it doesn't matter because this is a... This I don't know if they can let it go that easily. Sorry? I don't know if they can let it go that easily. Well, they probably and, that, and that, that's the big question because yeah. the people who are most invested in this particular point of view are not black and Hispanic voters. The They're people white. who are most invested in this point of view yeah. are the white woke liberals who actually run the party. That's right. Meaning the people who work at the New York Times, the people who decided to give Nicole Hannah-Jones the editorship of the flagship of that <laughs> newspaper. Yeah. Right? The, the people who decided that they were going to infuse anti-racism bullcrap propaganda into every single aspect of your corporate... American world. Do you think they're just going to receive that easily? I, I really wonder if they are. If they lose narrowly, I wonder if what they say is that it's just because we nominated an old school, uh, non-crazy, non-crazy person like Biden. And if they win narrowly, it's going to be because Joe Biden wasn't woke enough. Otherwise, he would have won by a thousand. But, votes. but that if that happened on our side, we would call them out for their stupidity. And I think that would be true if it happens on their side. In other words, Maybe. in other words, they will they may cling, I hope so. they, they may cling to the strategy, but the strategy has failed. Yeah, I Fox agree with News, that. by the way, is calling Joe Biden winning Arizona, which is just devastating for Trump, obviously. Mm. Who's, who's Fox. Fox is calling... Well, Fox, Fox called Virginia, too. Is Virginia still in play? Uh, Virginia's out of play. They're, 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 they're calling Biden for Arizona, which means that it's now down to basically Pennsylvania and the blue wall, and we're back where we were last election cycle. Trump has mm. to flip now not just one. He has to flip one of those. He has to flip Pennsylvania and another one, ben, or, what to, or Pennsylvania and Nevada, or he has to flip... Pennsylvania and Nebraska's second district. What is going on in Nebraska? Because uh, on the map uh, here, all the experts have it red, but I know that it's this kind of a weird situation where they're where it's split. Um, well, it's so Nebraska splits by congressional district. It is allocated um, along. Some states do this. Maine does it as well. Mm -hmm. They don't allocate it winner takes all. Instead, they split it by congressional district. 
And so right now, I think most of the pollsters are saying that Trump wins three of the five electoral votes in Nebraska. He would need to win four of the five or five of the five. I I mean, I I talked to a pollster, a, a Trump pollster, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, who said, Omaha is going to decide this election. Hmm. And that could very well be true. Yep. Well, they have called Ohio for Trump. So Trump Trump has won Ohio. Biden apparently has won Arizona, mm-hmm. is what they are suggesting, which gives, again, Biden has a much healthier pathway to the to the presidency if Arizona is, in fact, in his column. It means that he, he now only has to win uh, a couple of those blue states, not all three. Yeah. Well... The fact that they're calling Arizona this early at Fox News is not a good sign. Uh, the fact that they won't call Florida, though, means that I want to actually withhold judgment on Arizona and see what happens as they bring in a few more of those votes, especially because of what we're seeing in Florida with the Latino vote, see if any of that winds up translating into Arizona. I also want to get a few more questions in from our DailyWire.com members. They're the reason this show is free for everyone out there tonight, because they support us with their subscription, uh, and we try to provide for them great value for that subscription. We've we've added a lot of value tonight with Candace Owens starting a show, the PragerU Library uh, coming online. We're bringing on this new morning show. We're bringing on new investigative journalists. We have one more announcement that we'll make later in the evening. Uh, but those members tonight have the opportunity to get their questions in, and Elisha is bringing those questions to us. Elisha, what do we have? Yes, sir. And speaking of, you talked about the Latino vote in Florida. A Daily Wire member has a question for Michael Knowles. Do you think the difference between Arizona and Florida has more to do with Mexican immigrants versus Cuban immigrants? Groups do vote differently. Whoever, Nicole Hannah-Jones, when she said that the idea of Hispanic is contrived or Latino is contrived, that is true. Uh, the, that moniker is a creation basically of the 1970s and, and uh, late 60s through the 80s because liberal activists wanted to try to replicate what they felt was a successful civil rights movement based on racial identity among other groups and try to bring them to the left. And so they did it with Hispanics. They then did that with Asians. They tried to do it uh, during the Obama administration with Middle East and North Africa. They called it MENA. It wasn't a great name, so it didn't catch on, but they're going to try it again uh, eventually. And so the these are different groups. These are different nations. You know, Cuba is different than Mexico, is different than El Salvador, is different than Guatemala. Uh, I, you know, I, I have not been on the ground in Arizona, and I've, I've not been following Arizona as closely as Florida, so I can't give you the, the top reason, you know, with anything more than a guess. But it is the case, historically, Cuban Americans, because they've fled a communist country, have sided more conservative and sided more Republican. Though Generationally, that has fallen off. And, and so you've seen recent immigrants, strongly conservative, next generation a little less so, and the next generation even less so. So we'll have to see what happened this time around, because the, the Cuban vote certainly went pretty heavily for Donald Trump this time. But it may vary on age, and then, then you won't be able to use race as, as quite so easy an identifier of, of political belief. All right, the next question is to the God King. Uh, Jeremy, where is the number one place in culture that conservatives cannot take right now that we should be trying to? The number one place that we cannot take that we should be trying to. I think we have a, I, I think we have three places in the culture that we simply cannot take, not, not quickly. The left didn't take them quickly. They had a generational plan and they executed it to perfection. We're going to have to do something much the same. Academia, obviously one of them. Conservatives have zero representation in academia. You may be able to think of that one conservative professor you had. That actually proves the point. That doesn't. That's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, academia, of course, is propped up by government money. Academia is propped up by conservatives who hold to credentialism and believe that their 
that they're that they're purchasing for their child a credential that will do them well. I had a conversation once with Secretary DeVos, our education secretary, wonderful woman, uh, and yet I think she had a blind spot in this particular area. She she was at we we're at this very hoity-toity fundraiser, and people were asking her questions, all very well to do. And the question was always, don't we need trade schools for people who just aren't right for college? Don't we need a place for people who just aren't the college material? Don't they need to go learn how to weld or, uh, you know, learn how to be garbage collectors? I actually found the whole thing distasteful. I mean, first of all, the trades are where all the money's at in the culture right now. You want to make a good living, uh, learn how to weld, um, because there's more welding jobs available that pay six yeah. figures uh, than there are in, for example, gender studies, where there are no jobs that pay anything. Um, <laughs> but that's not the only reason I found it objectionable. I found it objectionable because, well, frankly, more than half of all the small business owners in the country lack college degrees because some of the richest men in the world, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Michael Dell, lack college degrees. I don't think we should be telling kids, you're not college material, uh, so we want you to do something that we kind of look down on. We should be telling kids, you can do whatever you want. Drop out of college and be rich. Drop out of college and get some life experience. Drop out of college and start a business. Drop out of college and, yes, go to trade school. But that's only one of the options. Uh, but the main way that we're going to defeat uh, the 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 left in academia is to stop sending our kids there, stop letting them take on uh, debt that they will never be able to repay for a credential that's utterly meaningless so that professors can train them to believe things that you raise them not to believe. The second, of course, institution is the media. I actually think we're doing better there than in any of the three. Uh, but we're still so far behind. Yes, the Daily Wire was the number one publisher, or the number one most engaged publisher in the world uh, on Facebook for the last three months, according to News Whip. Uh, but that's still nothing compared to the reach that the left has. They control almost all of the engagements, almost all of the impressions on social media. And of course, they have their own media channels that are worth, you know, billions of dollars. We have so much work to do there, especially in the investigative realm, which is why we announced we're hiring three investigative journalists here tonight. The third place where obviously we have an unbelievable hill to climb is in entertainment media. And in entertainment, I include uh, music, I include television, I include film, basically all the things that we might call popular culture. Here, the left's domination of us is almost complete. You can count on your hands the films that have uh, openly represented the worldview of conservatives. And you can even point to some successful ones. American Sniper, the number one uh, best-selling, uh, the number one box office generating rated R film of all time, uh, which actually unseated the former number one rated R movie of all time, The Passion of the Christ. Both very similar stories in the sense that uh, it was a story that Americans wanted, that Hollywood would never give them, that required a superstar actor turned director uh, who works outside the system to bring us. Hollywood, did they learn any lessons? Of course not, because that's not a lesson they want to learn. They like the polarization. They don't want your money, and they know you're a chump, so you'll give them your money, even if they don't do anything to earn it. How much money? Well, Netflix alone spends $20 billion. That's $20,000 million on content every single year. That is one single network on the left. All told, the production budget of Hollywood, I don't know if it's even knowable, it's probably well over $150 billion every year. This is why you wind up with cuties on Netflix. This is why you wind up with all the anti-Iraq war movies when George W. Bush was president. It's why every single election cycle of my lifetime, we've gotten feature films about how bad the Republican is. We've gotten documentaries about how bad the Republican is. We've gotten documentaries about how great every leftist figure is. Why does everybody know Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Because she's a cultural cult figure 
because Hollywood will spend billions and billions and billions of dollars promulgating their worldview and selling you their point of view, whether you want it or not. So what are we going to do where Hollywood is concerned? Well, that's where we have, I think, the biggest hill to climb. uh, And that's the next announcement I'll make about the Daily Wire and the ways that we're going to bring value to you in exchange for your subscription. In 2021, the Daily Wire will be producing fictional content. We're going to be the first in our space uh, with an SVOD platform to really go at this in a major way. We've already acquired the rights to our first feature film, uh, which we will be announcing to you in the coming weeks. We are working on a script with Andrew Clavin for our first series. We are going to, again, can we... Can we bring you $20 billion worth of content the way that Netflix can? Well, not today. It's a 40-year path if we're going to do what the left did and assert ourselves in all of these areas. But we're going to lead the way. We're going to get out ahead of our comfort zone. We're going to start making the content that we know has to be made. And we're trusting that you guys will follow, that you'll become subscribers over at dailywire.com, that you'll use the promo code election tonight and get started. You'll get 25% off. you get the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. But listen, it's not about... Charity. It's not about the leftist tears Tumblr. It's not even about the amazing community that you'll get to participate in with our other Daily Wire members. We want to bring value. We want to say these are the things that you get elsewhere. And while we may not be able to compete uh, with them in terms of the amount of content that they can give you, we can at least start moving into those areas. And over time, we can build something really amazing together. So please come be a part of that with us tonight. DailyWire.com. Click on the subscribe button. Use the promo code election. Get 25% off. We're going to be making movies. We're going to be making morning uh, uh, content with Morning Wire in the style of sort of NPR, sophisticated morning content. We're going to have investigative journalists. We're going to bring you the entire library of Daily Wire, who's com- uh, of PragerU, who's competing in academia. And we're going to bring you a brand new, one-of-a-kind show from Candace Owens, shot in front of a live audience. Drew. Can I, can I just say that I, I think you're absolutely right about the academy, that that's a long, a big hill to climb and it's going to take a change of attitude. You're absolutely right about this. On entertainment, I don't think we need their billions of dollars. I think we can beat them in the same way Rocky beat the Russian boxer because we, all we have to do is produce the content that people want to see right. and they'll come. If you rebuild it, they will come. It's not charity. I don't want to make movies that people feel like they're supposed to go see. That's right. We want to make content that you want to go see. But we do need you to be in our corner as we do that. We're going to take one more question from a Daily Wire member in that spirit right now from Alicia. Awesome. And this question goes to our very own Ben Shapiro. If Biden were to win, would we reverse all of the progress that we have made in the last four years, more specifically when it comes to international policy in the Middle East, and continue with an armed conflict there? So my guess is that foreign policy is the area where the president has the most power because he's the commander in chief. He has the most power to shape policy. He doesn't really have to worry about Congress there, as Barack Obama showed when he launched an illegal war in Libya and then just maintained it. Uh, so that, that, that sort of stuff happens fairly regularly. Um, will Biden be able to dramatically reshape the Middle East without any sort of senatorial approval? And the fact that Republicans have been holding the Senate, and I do not think are going to give a green light to that sort of thing, uh, is definitely going to provide some sort of check. I think he'll try to renegotiate something with the Iranians and with the Palestinians. I just don't think there's a lot of regional interest in that right now. So, no, I don't think that Biden has the capacity to walk everything back. Will it be a lot uglier in the Middle East because Biden is president, if God forbid he wins? Uh, yeah, it'll definitely be a lot uglier. But some of the realities on the ground have simply shifted. And because those realities on the ground are the new realities, uh, I don't think that we're going back to a time when all of those Arab-Israel deals that just got made fall apart. I I don't think that that's exactly what's going to happen here. I think that there is a a high likelihood 
uh, the opposite is, is going to happen. That reality is now reality, and Biden is going to be going up against reality, and not much is going to end up changing, despite Biden's most fervent efforts to the contrary. All right. Well, we are still here. Bickley and I are going to head back into the war room, guys. Next time we see you, this map could look a little different. I sure hope it looks a little different. We don't know if that'll be trending in the blue or the red direction, but we're going to head back and uh, toss it back to you guys. All righty. So welcome back. We're in this room again. And now we are joined by Eric Weinstein. Eric, of course, is the founder of the intellectual dark web and uh, a, in a heterodox thinker who's no longer welcome in his uh, formerly leftist circles because of his heterodoxy. So you're welcome here. So welcome. So you've been watching the results come in, Eric, and uh, you're, you're as a heterodox thinker uh, and somebody who's been sort of touting the fact that Trump has unique appeal to crowds that, you know, historically have not been Republican. Uh, you've been sort of sounding the alarm on this for quite a while. What was it that, that folks on the left, you're, you're of the left in terms of your policy. Well, I, I'm of the... Intellectual Liberal. left, not right. the current Democratic Party version of the left. Right. You're not of the white left. I don't understand. Right. So what, what what is it that everybody missed about Trump here? Because regardless of how this election goes, it is a hell of a lot closer than it was supposed to be. Yeah, but I mean, everybody's been lying. And so, um, <laughs> good reason. Right. Yeah. you know, the, 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 the point is, it's, it's, it's very difficult to keep talking about preference falsification when nobody listens. Um, it's very difficult to talk to the left about the fact that scolding people that they should feel guilty because they resemble people who hundreds of years owned other people. Uh, and you're not winning friends, hearts, minds. You're not making sense. So to be blunt about it, I just don't understand what the post-Clinton um, Democratic left is doing institutionally because this isn't what left of center politics are supposed to be. This is completely incoherent. It's a repudiation of everything that we know about. I mean, the heart of being a progressive is the word progress. So mm-hmm. you, at one point you could have been a progressive and thought that communism was going to be progress because it hadn't been tried. But, you know, uh, a few unmarked graves later, yeah. uh, you, you have to reevaluate whether or not you wish to tie uh, your wagon to, to, to Stalin's star. In, in this situation, um, we're, we're we're just seeing people lying continuously about Donald Trump. And the idea that uh, every person who doesn't go along with you is a white supremacist, whether or not that person is black or (laughs) Asian or Jewish, um, this has never made sense to anybody who isn't part of the cult. And I just, I guess what I, you know, I I had a tweet uh, um, a while back, but I will be very surprised if there isn't a stronger than expected Trump surge. And while it's too too early to call the election one way or the other, it's certainly not too early to call the fact that once again it appears to be off. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, you know, right now it seems like there is is still a good possibility that Biden wins, albeit narrowly, because sure. uh, Trump would have to at this point. If he ABC is also called Arizona for Biden, that means that that Trump needs to win Pennsylvania, and obviously Iowa, and he needs to win Nevada, or he needs to win. Uh, another state, in order for that to, to manifest, a victory for him to manifest. It, let's say that Biden wins narrowly. Do you think there's any reckoning at hand for the Democratic Party? Do you think they rethink this thing, given the fact that Trump has has pulled the outside support? They thought that they were going to walk away with this thing with 350 electoral votes. When you decide to go with somebody who's 78 years old at inauguration, right? you probably know that you don't have a deep bench <laughs> uh, 
to go to. And I would say that what you're looking at is the last gasp of the gerontocracy. It's very hard to find somebody who's willing to step into these shoes who's younger. Now, at the tail end of uh, regimes that end badly, like the Ceausescu's, you usually have some guy you make president for two days. Yep. You know? um, here, you're the prime minister. Good luck to you, sir. Um, what I believe is, is that it's been very hard to attract young people to sign on to a failing ideology. Um, now, I'm very disturbed about Donald Trump. Um, but I will say that the right has been getting more reasonable as the left continues to portray it as getting more insane. Yeah. What, what, is, what does intellectual leftism look like at this point? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm worried that you guys aren't getting it. I'm worried that you're going to lose capitalism because you have, you're not realizing that you better deal in Gen Z and the millennials at a minimum if you want people to continue to care about the American experiment that I think that I'm interested in fighting with you guys about over decades. Um, in other words... We have a situation in which if you look at the way in which the millennials are experiencing their lives in terms of home ownership, family formation, they're not part of the American experience at, a, at an appropriate rate. Right. Right. And if you guys don't wake up to the uh, wonders of a little bit of socialism in order to make sure that everybody is still trying to make capitalism work, good luck keeping... You mean in the sense that... Uh, some people put off buying a home, they put off having kids, they put off getting married because they don't have enough money or they don't have a stable job or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean that if you are uh, 35 years old and you don't have a home and you're, let's say you're female, so your biological clock is uh, of con- concern to you, um, you're in a situation where you're about to, your, your life plan that you might have been planning on, if it was generic enough, is about to be frustrated. And it, what's worse is, like, let's say you have parents who have a second home or a third home, and you, you can't even get your first home. And then there's some story about how they had a paper route, and that, that paper route made everything work, and they put themselves through college because, you know, Lord knows uh, they didn't have any debt when they graduated, blah, blah, blah. These young people have no concept of what this capitalist American experience is left or right. Yeah. No, I, I think you make a great point here. I, I, I would probably dispute that the issue is primarily economic, though I think there is a major economic element. And I, I think you're, you're totally right that this issue of how we live our lives, how we form families, how we settle down, how we integrate into a community, if you lose that, you're going to lose the whole system. Well, and the, the question is, how do you get the Gini coefficients that measure the amount of inequality in a society to go down without the barrel of a gun pointed at anyone. So when you when you talk about a little bit of of socialism, the word has come to mean almost nothing. Originally, sure. it meant the the state taking over the means of production. That's not what people mean anymore. No, I think what they're doing is they're abstracting to a layer of indirection where socialism, in in its meta kind of guise, is that you're going to have to recognize that the market's distributional mechanism under the political economy that we currently experience and under some of the intensifying effects where a small number of people can capture almost all of the value in a space from a small difference yep. in quality, there's an implicit morality to the market. And when you can't say that that person is wealthy because they contributed $4 worth of value on average to every American, 
when you have to say, well, that person is wealthy because of something involving reverse loans and trusts right, and, right. and the Cayman Islands, mm-hmm. then you have a new problem, right? Where, yep. Which is, what does success mean? And then you get the word success replaced by the word privilege. And you, I can tell how much you, you're all enjoying that word. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what happens, point. though, are we talking about are we talking about a failure of capitalism or are we talking about a corruption of capitalism? Are we dealing with uh, what they call crony capitalism, which is really just cronyism, so that the free market is now so slanted that it, it, it is worth it is worth pointing out here, Drew. The, the term capitalism was popularized by Marxists. Yeah. So it's already kind of a loaded right. term. But just to play uh, with my conservative friends here. Yeah. If I were to say, you know, the problem with communism is it's never really been tried. You're right. You guys would all laugh. Yeah. Right. That's a great. So my point to you would be. Right back at you. It's the same thing with capitalism. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You want to promise with real capitalism? Well, it depends on what the solution that's being proposed is. Well, that's that's uh, why I was just Because that. if the solution is government subsidization of particular groups at the expense of other groups, which is, you know, well, you guys a were... certain level of redistributionism, that's one thing. If what we're talking about is relieving uh, the government from providing subsidies, then that's precisely the opposite. Well, let, let me let me get to a, an earlier point. I don't know why I desire to help the uh, the loyal opposition, <laughs> but in, in some sort of um, Stockholm syndrome or bridge over the river quai moment, <laughs> I, I did notice that you guys were talking about the difficulties of attracting professors. You guys have a very easy road if you want to, which is stop treating professors as people looking for government handouts because due to your precious tax dollars. Get smarter. Realize that you've effectively made it impossible to ha- claim intellectual property rights from basic discoveries and say, you know what? We're going to poke a hole because we recognize that market failure is a real thing. The markets are fantastic, but they don't do everything for you. And what we're going to do is we are going to commit to people in STEM subjects to make sure that they get their academic freedom back, that they're not worried about grants, they're not worried about mm-hmm. being humiliated. Yep. And then you can have professors again. But the, the place that you guys went wrong is that you started – uh, treating professors as, and famous quote is, welfare queens in lab coats. But I, I'm, that wasn't a winner. I'm all for that, Eric. I'm, I am yeah, totally I, for winning. But my, my only issue is, did we ever really have the professors? You know, I'm reminded of God yeah. and Man at Yale by Buckley. He says, even back in the 50s, all his professors were pinkos. Well, but, but the problem is, is that you guys tend to see things a little bit black and white. So what I talk about is... You're talking about in STEM fields. That's not the, quite the STEM, same thing STEM as, as the North Campus majors at, at UCLA. Well, but you, you guys think that universities are about teaching and great universities are about research. research. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we put a fig leaf of teaching on, fr- on the front of them because of Vannevar Bush. That's not really the issue. There's always been a mixed thing between Democrats and Republicans. You don't need to worry about real Democrats and people who are really of the left. What I always say is, is that the Tom Lehrer left and the PJ O'Rourke right can get along just fine. Right. right. The problem is the batshit crazy Charlottesville right and the ridiculous Antifa left uh, need to get a room and leave the rest of us the hell alone. But that's right. This is. Isn't it? Isn't it? I, I always say that the thing with the far right. No one in this room is for the far right. Uh, the far right is on the comments section of Breitbart. That's not the issue. But, but the far left is in Congress. Yes, there is an asymmetry. But to be blunt about it, there are norms that prevented the far right from finding each other in the, uh, as they did at the beginning of the Trump administration. So there was a period that actually wasn't that long lived where the extreme right, and I don't even want to call them the extreme right. I want to talk, talk about them as the bigoted, really ugly right. Yeah. They thought they had a, 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 a carte blanche. Yep. And then they got shut down. And the question is, would the same thing happen in a Biden administration in hmm. which the far left thinks, okay, cool, 
we've been part of the big tent. This to me is the big question. I wanted to ask you about it because this is what I've been considering is that the future of the country at this point, it seems to me, uh, is really more about whether mainstream liberals decide that they are more interested in opening up the Overton window wide enough to have discussions with people who are not of their political persuasion, but they have in common a belief in individual rights and freedom of speech and freedom of conversation, or whether they're so wedded to their policy priorities that they believe they can more easily achieve those by dumping over all those things and making common cause with the woke left and and sort of the Antifa crowd. Because it seems like that is the question, like the Harper's Weekly letter that they put out where there's all these mainstream liberals, all of whom voted for Joe Biden and none of whom voted for Trump, talking about how the Overton window needed to be widened. On the one hand, I thought, okay, that's a good thing. On the other hand, I thought this would be so much more effective if you had had one person who voted for Donald Trump on this list. Mm -hmm. It's like you want to open the Overton window just wide enough to let you and your buddies through, but but not quite wide enough to actually have a conversation with anybody who disagrees with you. But you guys are, the way that the modern left is formulated, you're not just people with whom I disagree, you're all evil. Right. Yeah. Well, sir, in in my particular (laughs) case, that's true. (laughs) I could could tell by the the lack of hair. (laughs) Clearly Lex Luthor. But in, in fact, nothing you're saying, at least for me and Knowles, I would say, nothing you're saying is uh, so far out there that we couldn't find some place of common ground. That's what Ben once said to me. Ben, uh, I once asked Ben the question, um, what happens when the market can't reach the median non-remarkable individual anymore? And he says, then we'd have to consider other measures. I say, Ben, why don't you say things like that in front of the world? He Mm -hmm. says, because you, Eric, are highly specific in what you're complaining about. Right, and the right, left right. tends to be very, like, huh. the 1%. Yeah, that's so it. you're going to go after the, the right, that's sons, why, of, sons what, of bitches. That, right, when, when I ask large, you for a solution right. and you say things like, okay, we need to not put, you know, pro, that we need to strengthen patent law for people in STEM and protect their, like, that, everybody recognizes since the founding that patent law is a place where markets actually experience failure because if, otherwise there'd be no actual rationale for discovering anything, because if you don't protect intellectual property, intellectual property is a form of property. That's Especially during the founding, actually, right? Well, during that era. It's literally in the Constitution that the, the federal government has the power of patents. Yeah, I don't want um, basic research to be patentable. What I want is to recognize that we have the world's greatest deal by ensuring that our research scientists give us stuff for, for simply being immunized from the market, right? If you're immunized from the market, and you're given academic freedom, you don't have a billion dollars, but you have the security of a guy with a billion dollars, right? It really matters that I can go into my work every day and know that no matter what I say, I have a job tomorrow. Right, now that, that, all, that, all that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah sure. but it wasn't fair because then the whole point was the right at some point badly misgaged uh, the situation in academics and went into this kind of market purity thing. Remember market purity? Yeah, but I, yeah, that was like the 80s, though, to me. I, I sort of feel like we were moving out of that. <laughs> I know, but that's what that, my point is, is that you guys have an easy path to victory in the academy. You're not going to win the whole academy, but if you get 10%, if you get a beachhead, then yeah. you get enough to allow people to have both perspectives uh, in terms of the political parties, and you have, you have a discussion. But it, it's, it's like a one-line... Uh, yeah. piece of spackle or a re- retroactive continuity, and you can't even manage that. But you, you know, it's funny because we, we've been talking all night about how for, if President Trump makes inroads with the black vote, he's not going to win 50%. He's not going to win 60%, but he might win 15%, and that would be a huge deal because that really hampers the Democrats. It sounds like you're saying a similar thing with professors. You might not get 50% of the professors, but if you made some roads into academia, you, you've, you've really got a place from which you could form a well, new... I mean, look, the reason that I really... Uh, in the modern era can't stand the Republican Party is that in part on your watch um, 
under Ronald Reagan, you came up with completely disastrous ideas for figuring out how to tamper with the wage mechanism for American scientists. And my feeling is, is that you guys are anti-market um, manipulators who completely destroyed the crown jewel of uh, American intellectual life, which is our research complex. And well done, gentlemen. But, you see, know, my, see, it, seems to, it seems to me that something else. If I knew what the hell you were talking about, I'd totally yeah. be with yeah. no, no, <laughs> let, let me be. I'd love to do this on a, on a big program. In 1986, and I, um, there was a guy named Eric Block, who was the first non-academic head of the National Science Foundation. And he realized that we were going to have to pay more money to scientists because the demographics of the baby bust were going to mean that the supply curve came in. And so what he realized is, is that uh, if we flooded the market um, with uh, foreign students who are not actually students, they're workers, that we could push out the supply curve and you could get the wage to go down. And then what they did in order to disguise the fact that they were manipulating a market is that they removed the demand curves and claimed it was only a demographic analysis. Right, right. Right? Now, that thing is what led to the Immigration Act of 1990. Now, you guys don't even know about that because nobody knows about this story because nobody in the left-of-center media wants wants to talk about this, and the right-of-center media hasn't caught on. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is there's so much soul-searching real conservatives and real uh, progressives can do together because to be blunt, you guys also want to see the progress of the human race, and I want to see uh, the best aspects of our world conserved. We're just not sitting down and having those conversations. Instead, we're having moronic conversations about either the market solves everything or uh, everyone's a white supremacist. See, I, I don't want to have either one. I, it, it frightens me that I completely agree with you about this. I know. I have to leave the set. Yeah, I know. We're, we're gonna, but but it, it, it also comes <laughs> to the dark that, side. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, well, it seems to me that there's another aspect of this, another flow of information coming in there where you start with guys in the, on the cultural side, guys like Edward Said proclaiming Jane Austen a, uh, an imperialist. And they, those people start to infect the STEM people in your mm-hmm. uh, universities yeah. where suddenly they're saying to you, well, if you make certain discoveries, you're fired. And, and that's the kind of thing that we yeah. wind up arguing with. We wind up arguing with the cultural left. Uh, and and maybe not hearing what's happening. Why not spend less time with grievance studies people and more time with the people who actually make sure that the bombs don't go off prematurely <laughs> and that they land in the right place? Because there's a barrier to entry. That's right. Which is, because, that's it, right. because the culture wars are a barrier to entry. <clears throat> Meaning you and I can have this conversation because we have a baseline, and we can all have this conversation because we already have a baseline agreement on certain fundamental values. And this is, I think, the entire problem. Yeah. And I think it's also behind a lot of, of what is going on Right now, in, in even the discussion about the demographic shifts and, and the new voter coalitions, I think a lot of people are putting a lot away. I know Henry Olson, we've had this conversation a lot on, on this particular sort of backstage show. Um, Henry Olson puts a lot of weight on the sort of Donald Trump economic program, immigration restrictionism, and, uh, and trying to boost wages uh, either with subsidies or in other semi-artificial ways uh, in sort of dying towns. And uh, I, I really kind of believe that Donald Trump's actual appeal to most of the folks he's winning over has very little to do with that. Mm -hmm. I think it has very much to do with the fact that the left is refusing a baseline level of conversation and so foreclosing these conversations. I I think that if we had a debate, a public debate right now between Joe Biden and Donald Trump over how to properly fund higher education in STEM, I think that the American people would go to sleep because they (laughs) recognize that, number one, 
it doesn't actually apply, they think. It doesn't, it's a second order question. It doesn't apply to them in their immediate life. What does apply to them in their immediate life is the fact that when they go on social media, they are in fact called white supremacists for saying they might vote for Trump. Or they are suggested to be religious bigots if they go to church. And so for the better conversations to happen, and I think this is what we're watching right now, for the better conversations to happen, there has to be a baseline agreement on values that is not in evidence right now. And I don't think that Joe Biden is going to put that back into evidence. So there needs to be a better way. Oddly enough, the supposed threats in the institution is Donald Trump, the supposed fascist Donald Trump. He seems a lot more willing to have those conversations with people on the other side than the left is willing to have those conversations well, with Trump. Le- Plus, Trump is more likely to sign a deal along the lines of what you're talking about. The left about. wants to oppress you guys, right? So the idea is social justice is actually about social vengeance. Right, uh, exactly. Right. This is the what, fundamental problem. I understand that, but I don't want to oppress you guys and I don't want vengeance. What I do want to do is impress upon you that um, kind of you started the destruction of the American science and engineering enterprise on your watch, and it would be really great to get right-of-center people to be more patriotic, to be more individualistic, I feel like you guys aren't sufficiently individualist. I certainly am not. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board with all of that. I, I have trouble taking blame for a thing that I that happened when I was two. No, no, no. But, no, but, it, but, <laughs> but the question is going think going, it, going forward. Think again. of it differently as an opportunity. You Look, have an opportunity I, to stand up for I, academic freedom. That, that's all I think what you're describing is important. I think that it's narrow, but that it's important. You said something early in your remarks that's that I think goes to why that conversation is difficult. And you rightly corrected yourself. You said in the beginning of the Trump ascendancy, there were uh, the radical right. And then you corrected yourself and said, well, I shouldn't say the extreme extreme was your word. I shouldn't say extreme right. I should say the bigoted right. I think that's fair uh, because I would think of, for example, an extreme Christian as someone who really, really, really believes in Christian doctrine. The extreme right, uh, you know, the the alt-right, the America first chumps, they don't believe in like an extreme version of conservative ideology. They believe in this sort of something very different, something very different, yeah. this bigotry. So I think that was a correct. But there is another side to that, which is the which is what I think Drew was alluding to. There is an extreme left, which is engaged in a sort of revolutionary movement in this country right now. And it unfortunately, the extreme left has mainstream power within the Democrat Party. I actually don't think that Antifa is the extreme left. I would compare them more to your bigoted right. They're more like the the strangely bigoted left, the extreme left. Is, is the main, Jones and AOC. That's know, right. AOC. They, they want to change the fundamental structures of our society. They want to reframe. They the want country. to reframe the country. They're the new framers. By the way. And because of that, it's very difficult for us to even engage on these sorts of issues. I mean, it's difficult for me to engage in these issues. So I don't know what the hell any of you are talking about. I've <laughs> all got about 20 IQ points on me each, but it's difficult to have these conversations with anyone, yeah. uh, because on the left, the extreme movement has actually all the power right now. Quick, quick, sorry, quick update. And since we are doing election night, <laughs> uh, quick update. Joni Ernst is projected to win in Iowa. This oh, means fantastic. Republicans hold the Senate. That's big. Republicans right? are going to hold the Senate. That's so Tom Tillis wins in North Carolina. That's being projected. Joni Ernst wins in Iowa. That's being projected. Cory Gardner loses in Colorado. Martha McSally loses in Arizona. Republicans win the seat in Alabama. Uh, it is it is extremely likely at this point that Republicans hold the Senate. Terrific. They would have to, in order to lose the Senate, they would have to lose both the Collins seat as well as the uh, as well as the Dane seat in my divided government is the best government unless we control everything. Uh, I want to get <laughs> also, to Chip, also, by the way, Chip, Chip Roy did win his race in Texas. Oh, oh fantastic. Good, good news. Good Nobody deserves to be in Congress less than Wendy Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, Chip Roy, I mean, take him. Pink sneakers. I want to give you a chance to, to respond to that. And then I actually have my own big news 
uh, which we're going to have to go to Cassie Dillon for, but it's going to be the most cathartic, enjoyable oh. moment, I think, of the night. Oh, since wow. I don't think there's any chance they call it the election tonight. For the five of us or the four of us, it's going to be enjoyable. Oh, I think you'll like it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I am excited about divided government because I don't want either of these two uh, potential presidents ramming through it too much, but I don't even see anybody to take over from. <laughs> With respect to the earlier right. issue, um, yes. so you were saying that the weird move to the left, the left that doesn't, see, I don't even want to call it the, the left. The illiberal left. I want to call it the group of people that don't believe in the law of the excluded middle and modus ponens. Right? Well, that's catchy, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like people <laughs> <laughs> who are somehow experimenting with the idea that consistency is a white supremacist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of Fam- that family is a yeah. Well, all of these ob- objective showing, showing up on time and, and right. practicing right. the piano is yeah. a white because I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's beyond prestige. stupid, so there's no way of responding to it because you can't even process what the argument is. Yep. Yeah. yeah, those people are in part, somebody once said to me, um, you're not understanding, Eric. These people aren't making an error. It's asymmetric warfare, and this is what the powerless do, and they're mm-hmm. confusing you with the power. Yep. And yep. so, oh, okay, that was so that's why A implies B, and B implies C means that A implies a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the chicken. That thing is really weird yeah. because you see, most of the people that I know don't use that kind of thinking in their business. If you use that kind of thinking in your business, your business would usually evaporate. Correct. If you, if you use that on your tax returns, you know, and you just turned in something in red crayon with lots of pictures of hearts <laughs> and rainbows, yeah. no one would know at the IRS what, what you were doing. Now, the, you can talk in these crazy terms in political circumstances. What no one knows is what this stuff means. Right. What, this is because I think of the divide between the practical and the ethereal on the left, that almost everyone, I say almost because I think probably some of the radicals, the the true radicals don't, but most people who are going to vote for Joe Biden tonight, most people even who think that he should pack the court, most people even who think maybe Puerto Rico should be a state without a filibuster on a simple majority vote, they actually live their day-to-day lives in much more conservative ways. They run their business like conservatives, they raise their children like conservatives. It's, it's It's when they're asserting their values in the social uh, in the social world in which we live, something has happened in our culture where you are a bad person if you don't if you, don't if you have, preach what you practice. Well, but this is yes, where, the, this is where right. Harper's letter comes into to play. I agree. Harper's letter is really this very weird story where you had a group of people doing the hiring in newsrooms, let's say, mm-hmm. or publication, various left sort of center left publications, and they said, "Hey, you know what? To appeal to the kids, let's get some of this woke stuff," and the woke reporters will go after other people, yeah. and they won't turn <laughs> yeah. on their masters because we hired them. Yeah, right. right. For a period of time, this uh, this idea of you know playing uh, Tiger King worked, uh, and then you keep feeding these tigers, and suddenly they, they they view their trainers as a source of protein, and, and these people are saying, "Wait a minute, you can't come after us. You're supposed to <laughs> you're supposed to go out and get them." And that's what the Harper's letter was all about. It's basically saying, "Hey." Uh, we may have goofed um, yeah. by playing with this in order to get some buzz and some energy, and, and suddenly this isn't feeling that much fun. But in the analogy, who's that bitch, Carol Baskin? <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to share my extraordinary news. And it's not my extraordinary news. It's actually the find of our very own Cassie Dillon, who is in our war room with something. It's just so, 
I mean, prepare yourself with a nice leftist tears hot or cold tumbler <laughs> for what you are about to behold. Well, I have an update for you. It seems that the left is starting to get a little bit anxious, especially over at the Young Turks. So I have a video for you that I think you will all enjoy. So let's watch it. Get out of the way. Both Jake Tapper and Nancy Pelosi and all those and every editor at the New York Times has to get out of our way. Let us hit the Republicans in the face instead of playing patty cakes with them. How many elections are we going to get to a razor's edge with a monster idiot fascist like Donald Trump? One last thing, I swear to God, I'm going to go to Ida. But one last thing on this, guys. Forget him being a racist, forget him being a fascist. The guy's IQ is lower than 70. He's an idiot. He's a total moron. And you couldn't figure out how to crush him in an election. Man, the corporate Democrats and the mainstream media suck at this. They absolutely positively suck. And they brainwash smart people into compliance. Well, that's not what we do. It's get out of the way. Both Jake Tapper and... He's like 80% right. <laughs> you know, he looks like he's having a good time over there. Like I said, we are not in full meltdown mode right now. We are in lukewarm meltdown mode. So there's a few other things going on on Twitter as well. A bunch of blue check marks are really getting nervous. One of them's talking about our entire earth is on the line. You know this. We don't have four more years to gamble with. Another one is saying that there, that you shouldn't be shocked. Half of America is racist. And then we have AOC who said she's not going to comment on today's election results but that she's seen this coming for a long time, the Latino community with going red, so she's also mad Ooh. about Florida. Uh, and then Jimmy Kimmel said, this is like being awake during your own surgery. So it seems <laughs> they're having some uh, lukewarm meltdowns, but I will be here giving you guys updates if we have anything else interesting. So yeah. thank you. It was worth, hang, hang on, just, just, just one second. Just one second. a nice yeah. little... <laughs> By the way, I, I do enjoy the... Uh, I, I do enjoy Chank doing a, a takeoff on the electoral stupidity of losing an election to Donald Trump. I will just remind you that in 2020, he did run for Congress, right, in a special in 20, election. 2018. In 2018. Uh, no, it's 2020. Was uh, it? Because it was to replace Katie Hill after Katie that, Hill uh, resigned. Yes, it's a right. special he election. He had to drop out. And uh, <laughs> he uh, came in fourth in the primary. <laughs> fourth in the primaries. He won a grand total of 6.6% of the vote. After, you'll recall, Bernie Sanders endorsed him and then unendorsed him. <laughs> so, yeah, there is electoral genius Chank Iger uh, really doing yeoman's work on behalf I, of him. I said that I thought you would enjoy it because how could you not enjoy it? I mean, this isn't a – Chank is not a guy with whom you're going to have uh, conversations about how to remake the country into some sort of better left and better right. It's a guy who – well, here's some good news. Guy Oregon, where Portland is happening, Oregon has uh, now decriminalized possession of all drugs. Including coke, heroin, and meth. Bow time. All right. Bow time. They Good times in Oregon. Some more drugs. In <laughs> These DMT Reese's pieces are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also, probably... Joe Rogan has moved to Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> he just turned his car around, actually, on the way to Texas. <laughs> and Ruben just said he was staying in California. <laughs> Can we? How does decriminalization work? By the way, did they just make it legal, or did they just remove all the penalties? Uh, they they made it um, legal. Uh, well, decriminalization means that you can get fined, I think. Yeah. See, this is what I decriminalization is the worst kind of soft tyranny because it it leads to capriciousness in the government. If you're going to have a law, enforce the law. If we agree that the law is wrong, then change the law. 
the worst thing is to say we're going to have a law, but it doesn't matter very much because it, it erodes the entire idea of, e- of equal justice, right? It, it erodes the entire idea of law. Well, let's also agree that just the federal uh, Schedule One um, designation of controlled substances is being wildly misapplied. There's two criteria that matter, one of which is that there's no medical value whatsoever, and then there has to be a high capacity for harm. And we have things on that list where neither of these things is true. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's also the question that you have to figure out how the law should be implemented once you've come up with a schema for it. And it's not even being implemented consistently. But I do want to get back to this issue about yes. the idea of what do we make of, let's say, Kamala Harris tweeting out this cartoon about <laughs> equity versus equality where she manages to drop the G uh, on the end of gerunds and things in order to get uh, a black vernacular sort of a feel to what she's doing. You mean our African-American, Indian, Jamaican yeah. candidate for vice president? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it, it is interesting. We used to say things like, you know, I, I am a licensed uh, physician or I, I am a physicist. And now you say, as, as a uh, as a Peruvian of color. Uh, <laughs> you know, Please enlighten me. Yes. That, that is the new that is the new designation of, of whether you have something to say. Nobody quite knows um, what to make of this mainstreaming of incoherent, mm. beyond communism belief structures. So the you know, coming from a background which had plenty of communists in it, the, the aphorism I always thought was from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. And despite the fact that that uses a third-person uh, gendered pronoun, the, the, the other the other problem with it is, I can't believe you guys are laughing. Um, well, we're insensitive. <laughs> Deeply. That's the way it works. No. Um, the other problem with that is is that it acknowledges that people have different abilities. And, huh. Right. Right. Point. So right. the idea is we are so far beyond communism, we don't even have language. And, you know, my feeling about this is I, I, I do think we're going to have to take care of people. The market is not doing a good job with distribution issues. And part of the problem is political economy gets plowed back into the into the situation, causing a positive feedback nightmare. Yeah. However, I think that what we have to do is we have to repudiate ideologies that do not compile. And the great benefit of far-left ideology is is that because it doesn't make sense, uh, it's very hard to argue with something that gives up on consistency at the outset. Hmm. Remember, the principle of explosion says that in any intellectual system, if you allow a single contradiction, anything can be deduced. So largely, the left, who is beyond where any place I've ever been, is trying to smuggle one contradiction through airport security huh. so that they can have everything uh, on the other side. Didn't they actually do that, though, with LGBTQ, right? Once you once you lump uh, transsexuals in with homosexuals, homosexuals yeah. you've created your contradiction. If the entire argument for the last 40 years is that is that uh, biological sex is Bio- immutable, right? Yes, I'm, Biologi- I'm born this I'm way. I'm born this way. Biological sex is immutable. And then you also say that within that same framework, gender 
is a social construct. Yeah. Haven't you haven't you baked that fundamental contradiction? Well, there was a, a big headline that came out. This is a, a real headline that came out last week that a woman realized she was a lesbian after her husband realized he was really a woman. So nothing has changed in their marriage at all, but they've both fundamentally changed their sexual preferences <laughs> and identity. So look, it, hot man, it's hot. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the picture. It was uh, yeah. great. great. So That's what you guys get off. On. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, there's a bigger and better issue. The fact that the far left can't play its cards properly doesn't mean that they don't have a point. And what part of the problem is, is that you guys have to steal man if you want to understand what's going on. So is there a difference? You know, if, if I were a lungi or a kilt, are you telling me that that is feminine, not in South Asia or Scotland, respectively? On the other hand, uh, a skirt is gendered inside of the constructs of the United States. So you guys even yeah. will admit to the idea that there is some variability, that these things aren't set at the factory. There's nothing intrinsically masculine or feminine about the concept of a skirt. Well, we, right, but all of those cultures also recognize the difference between male and female garb. That's true, but on the other hand, you have lots of situations. For example, the, the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, allowed for sex transitions in a fatwa. Right, in South right. Sulawesi, you, I think, have five identified genders. Intersex is the one thing which I always reach out to my conservative friends, which is... You guys should you you should start well, steering on the basis of intersex. We have people we have dudes who have uteruses. Uh, I always bring up persistent Mullerian duct syndrome, and you can. But those, that's an actual biological syndrome. That's exactly that, right. That's not the. There's still biological that, reality. Like an, an objective is, outside viewer of the situation could tell that there was an objective thing this happening. This is my point. This is our opportunity to come together, which is. You have to recognize, for example, that the third person singular pronouns in English are inflected for gender, unlike in something like Turkish, where they are not. So what you don't do is you never have the third person singular and plural pronoun be the same. So using they is ridiculous. Right. On the other hand, you could imagine a one-time, backwards incompatible change in the language as we did when we stopped inflecting uh, the honorific for females with marital but, status. But uh, it is worth pointing out the OED does define he as, as gender neutral as well as gendered, and man the same way. In the beginning, God created man, both male and female, he created them. And then the women, W-I-M-M-I-N, or however they spelled it in the 70s, took umbrage at this fact. But it, it did have, it, it was understood in the English language. It was that, understood, that it was but it had neutral. a particular... It had a particular bias. But everything if you want to make fun of these people for not making sense, that's not the place to do it. You can say, look, there is a version of this story in which we have neglected people who don't fall neatly into a, uh, a sexual identification category, either in terms of who they're attracted well, to or what they no, are. The thing, the thing that's well, mockable is the statement that there is no such thing as a biological dichotomy between male and female. That is mockable on its face. And the idea that, they, that, that, that sex is so malleable and gender is so malleable that a man being fully biological male can call himself a female, and we are all supposed to pretend that that person is now a biological female, that's absurd on his face. Yeah, but, you know, Ben, even there, and, and I, again, I don't want to reveal too much about our conversations, but you and I have talked about the fact that when you've been faced with somebody who's in a great deal of distress over your particular comments on pronouns, that you take a compassionate humanist view and you don't want to irritate that person. Your point has been that I don't want to give up this argument if if that's what we're discussing. If what we're discussing right. is pronouns. Pub public no, but, uh, public, but no, public treatment of yeah. issues. Is it, does, the, mercy is a part of human life. But that does not mean that the broad standard shouldn't be justice. This That's is, right. yes, you Meaning, slip, you uh, slip from one point to another. I, I, I've made the speech that you're making right now in college. Did you do it better? 
<laughs> so much better. I was, I was brilliant. I was, it was amazing. No, I mean, I mean, look, nature, nature is, is messy mm-hmm. and the, the dots that go with masculinity, they, they generally, generally collect with men. They do are spread out in this weird way. But everything you're saying, everything you're saying is, is taking place within a context of male and female. It's taking place within a context, a, a basic context, a norm. Let's call it what it is. It's a norm of male it and comes female. It's out of nature. And I want to be able to, you know, science is sort of an absolute defense. You can't ask me to negate the science as a scientist when there, it contradicts political ideology. All I'm trying to suggest is that we had a lot to do that we could have done on intersex and on separating gender from, from sexuality. Just, just doing it in a, in an intellectually rigorous uh, and respectful fashion. And then we could get to this issue, for example, of the umbrella category. The reason that trans is so controversial is like stroke. Stroke, ha- you can get strokes from clotting and you can get strokes from having blood that's too thin. Right. So the fact that you're talking about a stroke doesn't give you enough information. You need extra information because the term is overloaded. Well, uh, the trans category is overloaded. Yeah, I mean, all of this is, is I think, interesting and, and worthy of conversation. The, the biggest problem is we keep coming back to well, is, is that literally these conversations are not possible. They are not possible. Not. I've, literally, I've, I've literally had these exact conversations with people on the most popular left-wing podcast in America outside of the podcast and said we should do a crossover because it'll be huge numbers. Yeah. And the person I was speaking to, I won't mention any names, specifically said, your people would be fine with having that conversation publicly. My people would literally kill me. Well, this and, is, and this is, and that, that's, that's where it lies. I know that we have to do more election updates because I know this. There is a presidential there is election, a presidential election. Yeah. and people are, people are in our chat room right now saying, stop talking about things that matter. All we want to know is what Cabot says is happening in the Rust Belt. So, Eric, thank you so much for being with yeah, us tonight. For We're going to see what Cabot has to say. Okay, well, belt. good luck to you all. What, what does Cabot think about intersexuality? <laughs> what do they think in the Rust Belt about intersex? <laughs> Cabot. <laughs> What do they think in the Rust Belt about intersectionality? I don't know about that, but we do have some updates and kind of piggybacking on that AOC tweet. Unfortunately, she's not the only Democrat now that's using this talking point that we're not going to know who the winner is tonight, guys. I'm sorry. Really sorry. Yep. And I will say that my bingo card, the last word I needed was the guys downstairs saying intersexuality. So I just got five in a row on bingo. So I'm I'm set. I'm sure some other viewers are as well. There's a tweet coming out to your point. From Bloomberg, there's a Bloomberg reporter. She says, according to sources in states, this is state official she's referring to, Wisconsin says there's no way they are announcing a winner tonight. Michigan officials say they need until Friday. Pennsylvania said they aren't coming out anytime soon either. So if you had champagne ready on either side to expect to be able to celebrate tonight, you may want to hold your horses there. So to give a breakdown of what the numbers are in those states right now, Wisconsin, 72 percent reporting. President Trump holding strong, 52 percent to Biden's 46 0.6%. In Michigan, where there's 52% in, President Trump up 54.5 to Biden's 43.3. We're still waiting on a lot of results from Wayne County, so we're going to certainly expect that gap to be narrowed quite quickly. Pennsylvania, yeah. 55% in, President Trump up 56 to 41 in Pennsylvania with 55% in. Again, still waiting for a lot of results, so that gap will likely be narrowing. We've also had a lot of viewers commenting, asking about Virginia. They're saying why you know, Virginia was called so soon by Fox. Mm-hmm. No one else has called it since. President Trump What's has been leading throughout the night. Yep. What's going on? To answer those questions, we've talked to some people in Virginia. And from the what we've been able to gather, the main holdup is Fairfax County. So this is a northern Virginia county that is going about three to one, or, or about 75% of the county is going to Biden. Okay. And there are 400,000 uncounted votes in Fairfax County that came in early. 
So if that same ratio holds up, if it's about 75 to 25 for Biden, that's where he's going to make up the gap that there is right now, because there is a gap. And President Trump's still holding strong in the, in the betting market, something mm-hmm. we've been touching on there. Where's the money going? Still going towards President Trump. And one more thing to add, New York Times prediction in Georgia had climbed all the way up into the 80% yeah. for Trump. Yep. It seems like he's losing a little momentum in Georgia. He's down okay. to 62% uh, of the New York Times prediction there. So still favored to win by the New York Times models. But it is starting to drop a little bit in Georgia. And we earlier talked about the correlation between the Senate races and the presidential race. Yeah. What's happening in Iowa? Because that's a race where a lot of people yeah. are paying attention to. Is Joni Ernst going to be able to keep her seat? It appears that she will. The last we checked, Joni Ernst was up about four points uh, with 82% reporting. So it looks like Joni Ernst is going to retain her position in the Senate, which is huge yep. for Republicans. Suzanne Collins also looking like she will be retaining her position based on the way that the uh, election results are looking right now. So where we now, guys, is, is it's looking like White House toss up at this point might not unfortunately get an answer tonight. And I, I must I have to throw this in there. There are plausible scenarios where there is a 269 to 269 don't, tie. Don't say it. It's 2020. It could happen, Cabin. It's not going like to take that much for it to happen either. It now could happen. If the president wins Pennsylvania and a few other states and Biden holds where he is right now and then wins Minnesota and Michigan, we're at 269-269. Okay. And so... White House, undecided at this point, could be a toss-up. It looks like Senate Republicans are going to hold. It does look. Based on the projections right now, if things go in the right direction, it's going to be likely around 51 to 52 for Republicans. Mm -hmm. But it's looking like worst-case scenario right now is a 50-50 tie. Uh, in the Senate. That's so bad. then the vice president would be... Then the vice president would be presiding over any tied votes, which Vice President Pence, you can imagine him doing that. I'm already having terrifying images of Kamala Harris coming in, walking down the, the aisle straight up and letting everyone know that she's there to preside. I'm yeah, sure I'm sure she'd love that over her former colleagues. <laughs> I could might. just see her like that, that that really happy grin on her face. I'm having trouble thinking about anything else besides uh, that. scaring me. Yeah. We're going to stay on top of all the data, though, keep you up to date. But... The big summary here right now is that according to Bloomberg reports, state officials are saying, hold your horses, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Could be until Friday before we have all the results. Okay, guys, we're going to keep seeing what members want to talk about. Thank you for that very detailed update. Once again, things that we have the contacts on the ground. And thank you guys for working so hard. The war, We're going to get back to the war room, and then uh, we will get you guys some more information as soon as possible. So um, Georgia is, uh, is a massive... Uh, they're, they're now, you know, saying that it could be tilting toward Biden again. So late votes coming in there. Uh, there's a lot of controversy over at Fox with some of the commentators that are like Katie Pavlich, very angry at Fox for having called Arizona early, although the, the vote would have to come in very late and very heavy for Trump to still win Arizona. Minnesota has been called for Biden, uh, which was kind of Trump's, uh, his, that was his wish state. That was going to be the one where if he won Minnesota in replacement for Arizona, for example, that would help him. That leaves Nevada as the only flippable state for for Trump at this point. Iowa, the polls were dead, right? So it looks the one thing that that I think we can bank on is that it looks very much like the Republicans hold the Senate. They actually pick up some seats in the House. Hmm. And, wow, you know, we will see where Trump is tomorrow or the day after is what is what that looks like. So the good news is that the downside risk for Republicans just went down pretty significantly yeah. Yeah. Uh, because President Biden with a Republican Senate and a, and a, a less, uh, actually a less heavy House majority is a very different Joe Biden administration than Joe Biden with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House and no checks. And now like, well, it just for means, example, yeah. the filibuster ain't gone. Yeah. Right? right. The filibuster sticks around. So filibuster ain't gone. No court packing, no new states. I mean, this, that is that's that a is massive, huge. massive yeah, thing. Amazing. And also 
the next election cycle, 2022, very much favors Republicans. There are a lot of vulnerable Democrats in purple states uh, in, in those elections. So that would, you know, also presume- incredibly rare in a in a president's first midterm that he picks up seats. Right, exactly. Right, right. So, Senate, so you know, that, that's, the good, that's the good news. <laughs> that is the good news from tonight. The good news from tonight is that uh, Republicans look like they're going to walk away with the Senate. By the way, uh, I, I didn't make any predictions on the air. Drew, I told you this was going to happen earlier today. Did yeah, I not? you did. You I did. did. I Absolutely. said that was going to happen. I said yeah. that it, it, people ask for predictions. You know, I, again, I have hesitated to make public predictions about the presidential you race. Give I told you, I, money, I, did did. Say that, I, said, I did say that my gut was, did, uh, I, I will say, it's hard to say this guy didn't say it publicly, but I did say that my gut was that Trump was a, that, that Biden was ahead narrowly on points and that the Republicans would retain the Senate. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I did that. That was sort of my off the air prediction. So yeah. we'll, we'll see if that holds up. Obviously, I hope that I'm wrong about Trump losing Arizona is a major blow to his hopes because it means that he now has to win. Uh, he has to sweep Nebraska. That means Omaha, right? Well, Omaha is pretty, pretty blue. Yeah. Um, or it means that he has to pick up Wisconsin and or Michigan plus Pennsylvania. So he has to do really well there. Um, so that, that's sort of where things stand. And we're not going to know anything know. the rest of the night. I mean, yeah, basically we it. could, we could call this thing if we wanted to, <laughs> but we're not going to, we're going to yeah. keep going. <laughs> we're going to keep going for the next four days. I am just joking. Yeah. We're not going anywhere guys <laughs> so, ever for the rest of time. So a cult- may I make a cultural <laughs> comment here for a moment? Absolutely not. We got to talk about Nebraska. Sorry. No, no, right, yeah. no I, I have to say I, the thing that's been like just sticking in my head all night long. Is the, the level, obviously not among us because we're idiots, but uh, the level of conversation of the people that we've had on, Ron DeSantis, Megyn Kelly, Megyn Kelly off yeah. cable news, s- sitting here talking to us just like as a person. Yeah. What an intelligent, She's so smart. graceful woman. Yeah. You know, w- uh, nuanced. Her comments were intelligent, uh, insightful. You know, but just like the kind of person where you sit there and go like, oh, I met this really bright woman who really understands and has a lot of experience in understanding things. Then you have chink. (laughs) I mean, but I I think it's a fair comparison because chink is not that much different than CNN. He's not that much different than ABC. Uh, You know, I I mean, this is a different level. Uh, Obviously, the conversation we were just having is on a different level. But just the fact that we're willing to have these conversations makes us the go to place, not just the Daily Wire, but. The Daily Wire, but but also any place that's willing to have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, again, this is a much better, let's put it this way, it's much better tonight uh, in, in terms of the actual polling numbers, in terms of, it's much better than anybody thought that it was going to be um, just a few hours ago, right? I mean, like, yep. if you had said at the beginning of the night that Trump was going to pick up North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, uh, and that Republicans were going to retain the Senate, then that would have been considered a pretty good night going in, mm-hmm. considering the, the broad, broadest. By the way, Fox News just retracted their call for Biden in Arizona. Yeah, they, they, what a mess. I knew it when they called it. Wait, I wait, knew wait, that they, was too Honestly, these, these outlets have to up. stop. They, they have to stop calling these things so damned early. And they right. call them while the votes are still. They, they, like, and they were doing it, by the way. Fox announced they were doing this based on exit polling plus early data. You can't do it based on the exit polling. Yeah. We've That's done this right, a yeah. thousand times. You just cannot do this. It's, Fox, it's Fox has really lost its way. I mean, there's no question about this. You know, when you have when when John Nolte is going after Fox, you know that they've lost, they've lost their way. They're not. They're, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. That Fox has lost its way. Really? I think that our perspective on Fox is, uh, has always been flawed. I think okay. that we've always loved Fox because they are unique among cable news, right? In other words, the very fact that we have anything makes us happy. Right. No question about it. But to say that Fox is 
conservative is only true because of how far left the entire establishment media has gone. I mean, if you think about the golden era of Fox, the primetime lineup was, and it wasn't even, going back actually wasn't in primetime, right. but I think you fairly would say that he was the beginning of their primetime coverage at five. Yeah. You had Glenn Beck. You had, uh, uh, not Brett Baer, who, who. Oh, uh, Britt Hume. Thank you. Britt Hume. Yep. You had, uh, Britt Hume. You had Sean Hannity. You had Bill O'Reilly. You had Greta Von Susteren. And all day, you had Shep Smith. Right. Yeah. Shep Smith, as, as left as left can be. Right. Yeah. Right. Greta Van Susteren, of the left. Bill O'Reilly, not a conservative. No, not he, of, he would now not call himself a conservative. Not going to call himself a conservative. Not of the left, but more of a Trump type. Right. You know, like, yeah, center populist. A but, center populist, yeah. Hannity, uh, certainly of the right, uh, a Republican Party guy, Hannity. Britt Hume and, and his, his predecessor, his predecessor, yeah. yeah, and Brett, Brett Bear and Britt Hume, both. I think that's the best actual news show on cable news. It's the best, and, the, and be, always, the best commentary. Well, not on sorry. cable news, on, the, on, on any, TV, it's yeah. the best show on TV. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Glenn Beck, who was a true ideological conservative right. at that time. So if you really think about that lineup, that is a far more diverse lineup than CNN has, than MSNBC I, I, has. And, and their most important show on This Sunday. is not my complaint. This is not my complaint. For me, the core of Fox News has always been Brett Baer or Britt Hume, that, yes. that new show, which has just delivered a fair new yep. show with a conversation at the end that slanted right, kind of like the Wall Street Journal, but included left-wing That's right. views, more left-wing views than you'd find right-wing views anywhere else. My, my problem is, is that they seem to have lost the capacity to gather information uh, objectively. And yeah. it, it, the core of that loss is in exactly here, that they are no longer gathering polling information uh, with, a, with, a, with restraint. And what you're saying, they're calling things too early. They're obviously getting bad information. They're, they're trying to compete with the machinery of the networks uh, without the machinery. There, there's a lot of suspicion, by the way, on in, in terms of who was actually making the calls at the Fox yes. News desk yes. because the person yeah. is a registered Democrat. Yes. And so there's a lot of talk about how that person might allow their biases to, right. to creep in. Uh, my, my favorite uh, image of the night is uh, ABC News uh, talking about Wisconsin. They said, well, you know, we, we have to talk about Kenosha. We have to talk about Kenosha. And they didn't mention anything happening in Kenosha. <laughs> somehow Donald Trump is absolutely wiping the floor with Joe Biden in Kenosha, uh-huh. like just <laughs> killing him in Kenosha, which, of course, makes perfect sense. Of course. That's where yeah. those riots were. Also, this is a big night for House Republicans. Republicans are actually going to pick up seats in the House yeah. based on the latest stats. The AP has called which was Republicans winning Texas 22nd. That was the seat yeah. Democrats thought they were going to flip. And Ashley Hinson uh, is going to defeat a sitting uh, a sitting Democratic Congresswoman named Abby fin- uh, Finkenauer in Iowa 1. She's up nearly four points. So Republicans are poised to pick up somewhere between five and ten seats yeah, we in this election yeah. in the House. Yeah. Uh, so they, they are overperforming in the Senate. They are overperforming in, in the House. Uh, and um, Trump is overperforming the polls. So it's it's hard to see where exactly this is uh, this is picking up uh, and where, where this ends up. But it's going to go for the next couple of days. Yeah, this ain't gonna, this ain't going to end tonight. This is going to go another couple of days. No question. So we're joined now by Daily Wire editor in chief John Bickley, who's been down in the Daily Wire war room helping Wait, us. He took my job. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we pay him a lot less. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's okay. Fine. Enjoy, enjoy your enjoy your work. Go with God. So, how are things going, John Bickley? They're going less well. Yeah. Than an hour ago. I mean, there, there's big developments. There's a weird thing going on with the New York Times. This sudden shift, a dramatic shift in the chances. For Trump, 
with no, I think there was like mm. 1% more reporting or something like that. And it's right. shifted from 78% Trump to 65% Biden. Something where, so. where? Georgia. New York Times projection in Georgia. I'm in Georgia. sorry. Okay. Georgia's not looking great. Arizona's been called by most folks at this point. That's a blow. Uh, Pennsylvania, when, when are we going to learn? How many days from now are we going to learn what happens with Pennsylvania? Trump's doing really well so far. It, it's, it feels like a setup. It feels yeah, like, it does, yeah. here it goes. No matter what, he's probably going to go. Well, I mean, their attorney general actually said no matter what. He can't win. Yeah, right. He also right. he also gave out the Democratic a, phone number to people who were confused <laughs> about how to vote. So that's that's not great. It's an honest mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's looking tough. You know, he still has a, a path. I think Wisconsin's kind of stunning. The developments in the House are stunning. Um, the Senate looks a little bit better than we thought. So that's good. Yeah. We thought. Yeah. I, I've been predicting it's going to be fifty fifty. You know. But yeah. Who's we'll who's predicting? Me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's Pickley's own prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. I just had to throw a So let's look. There's some things that are, are positive developments. I think this idea of another major blow to the pollsters is big. And this is devastating. They put so much money into Florida. Yep. <laughs> they put so much money. My home state, love Florida. Thank you, Florida. They... They couldn't get that wrong. Best state in America. And they botched it. So some, if you look at some of those polls, you look at the average, the average is like a 3%. They have 3.5% maybe loss. Like they, they got it wrong to that degree. But then you look at specific polls and it's off by eight. Ten points. Ten points. Yeah. Some of the polls. How, how does that happen? How do you just stay a credible pollster after this? Right. And I, I don't care who you are. Everyone associates them with the mainstream media. It's very clear when you, when you have this very homogenous narrative that forms with the right. polling that works perfectly in favor of the, the media's narrative. It, it just, it, it blows your, any attempt to, to sort of have a, a sense of confidence. Well, this was actually the argument that we had going in, Ben and yeah. Drew and I in particular earlier today, uh, in which I'm going to claim a little credit here. My argument has been that the the polling organizations actually favor their client, which is establishment media, more than they favor accuracy. In other words, you might say, well, they have a they need to get it right or no one will use them. But I liken it to Hollywood producers making anti-Iraq war movies in the early 2000s that no, by signaling your virtue Hmm. and reinforcing the narrative that we want reinforced, we will continue hiring you because you're saying what we want to hear. Right. The fact that it is the main I, I keep using main, they're not mainstream, the establishment, the legacy media that actually writes the checks for these polls must have some effect, especially when you see them as wrong as they are tonight. But the problem with that theory is that places like the Wall Street Journal, which skews left in their news coverage, but just a little left, does have a big investment in being reliable. They have a big investment in coming across as, I um, think that I used to think that was true. I actually don't believe that that's really. True. I think I think that what's going on right now is that polling in the age of Trump, particularly as we see realignments, is an incredibly difficult business and basically is reading chicken on trails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that it, the, the coalitions were very steady in 2000, 2004, 2008. They were pretty steady. The polls weren't particularly wrong there. 2012, even they were pretty steady. But Trump really shook up the map in a major way. And they've never been able to grasp exactly how the map 
was was shaken up. Plus, technologically, it's it's tough. It's oh, tough. right. I mean, also the the technological shift yeah. is being wildly underrated here, which yeah. is that. They, they are not allowed, you're not allowed by federal law to cold call people on their cell phone, right? I mean, you're not really supposed to cold call people on their cell phone, I believe. So, and, and you can, you can be fined. I've been on campaigns that have been fined a lot of money for calling people on their cell phone, so they, they do shy away from it. Right. So, so what that means is that you are going to tend to oversample elderly people who have, I mean, I don't even have a landline, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't have a landline anymore, so it makes it very, very difficult and, to call. And who answers, who answers? Those. Right. So it's, 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 polling is a difficult business. That's why people have been looking at sort of the average of the polls. But what, what was Trump's final margin of victory in Florida? Three? Is that they're saying three or four? Uh, 2.5. 2.5. So the RCP average had Biden up 0.9. Yep. So they were off by about 3.4 points in, right. the, in the final average, which is a lot in an average of averages. The Trafalgar got it right. Right. Trafalgar got right. it right. They, were, they said Trump plus two. And uh, they were the only group to, to have it right, basically. And this um, is the problem with, you know, I, I love the RCP site because of their uh, great editorial collections yeah. mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. their videos and all this. But the fact, the idea of an average of polls is kind of ridiculous because some of these polls are way wrong. Well, the RCPs is better than 538. So 538 didn't even include Trafalgar. Mm-hmm. Right, no, 5, 538 had... They rejected had, it out of hand. Right. They, they said that this is a partisan poll, so we're not going to include it. Mm-hmm. The, but some of these polls that are included are Quinnipiac, and Quinnipiac is basically wrong about everything. But this is my argument. This is my entire argument about the polling organizations and the media. I don't think that they any longer have to worry about their reputation for accuracy. I don't think the Wall Street Journal newsroom cares. I don't think that they I think they have realized since Obama, Obama broke the media since Obama. They are no longer held to any standard except the standard of of speaking the narrative, except the standard. I, I think that before Barack Obama, a reporter could be very biased. The media could lean 70-30 left because of the intrinsic biases, right. the fact that it draws a certain group of people. Nevertheless, if you were an individual journalist, even a, a journalist of the left, you by and large believed as foundational ethics that you had to speak truth and in particular speak truth to power. Then Barack Obama came along. And by the unique virtue of his blackness against the backdrop of America's history of slavery, Jim Crow, and racism. That actually made him an, a figure that could not be criticized yeah. Yeah. by media. Also, because he's more of a religious aspirational figure, they didn't want to criticize him. And what, and what Barack Obama said to the media is, no longer is your foundational ethic speaking truth to power. Your foundational ethic is helping to trans, fundamentally transform the world into a better place. Comedy. Yes, comedy by virtue of the people it attracts and their biases. Always 70-30 left. And yet, Jay Leno couldn't have faced himself in the 90s if he hadn't made Monica Lewinsky jokes. Saturday Night Live, could, they couldn't have called themselves comedians if they didn't make Monica Lewinsky jokes. Then comes along Barack Obama. By virtue of his blackness against the backdrop of American slavery, I know I'm right about this because the head writer for SNL said he's like a, like a large wall of obsidian. Obsidian. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, a, a pure, faultless slab of obsidian. In, in other words, because he's perfect and black, yeah, right. we, there is nothing funny about him. Yeah. And no longer was the job of a comedian to shine light on truth through comedy. Now the job was to promote the narrative. In other words, Barack Obama uniquely, same with academia, same with many of these institutions, he changed the foundational ethic of them. And the foundational ethic of a journalist in America today, the foundational ethic of a pollster in America today is not to speak truth. It is to speak the narrative. And as long as they speak the narrative, 
They don't have to worry See, about people thinking that they don't have credibility. I, you know, I, I agree with like 95% of what you just said. What I don't agree with is, first of all, the sweep of it. I don't think that, for instance, at the Wall Street Journal, I do think there are still people who are interested in telling some version of the truth, even though they... Well, sure, there are like, some people. But no, no, but I mean people in authority, which is... The, I don't know. To decide with Eric, now read the Harper's letter. Now read Barry Weiss's... Uh, yeah, that's the New her, York Times. Her the statement York about Times, leaving. The New York Times has absolutely no interest in telling the truth. They right. will chase you out for telling the truth. They chase Barry White out for speaking d- different opinions. That doesn't really happen at the Wall Street Journal. The last time it happened was uh, Brett Stevens, who left because he was too far against Trump. And that was on the Although Brett Stevens was, is on the editorial side. And that was on the editorial side. Exactly. But but in the news in the newsroom, they still I mean, look, I can read the Wall Street Journal news side and discern the truth, which I can't do in the New York Times. I have no idea. When I read yeah. the New York Times, I know what the New York Times is selling me, but I don't know what the narrative is. There's still there are still venues. Even CBS has a certain level of commitment to the news that that hasn't been entirely corrupted, even though everything you just said as a narrative is true. You know, there are individuals in unique places. I think in terms of these pollsters, if they get things wrong, we stop listening to them. Yeah. They can't. They well, can't. I mean, that, that did happen this year. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many calls I took on the show from people basically saying, can you tell me why I should listen to polls? And yeah. saying, because I can't tell you not to listen to polls. <laughs> I mean, like, really, like, I, I, yeah. my answer is I don't believe all the polls, but I can't, like, completely disbelieve the polls. I mean, I'm, now I'm operating specifically right. in the absence of evidence, which I which I refuse to do, I mean, I'm going to say I doubt them, but because I do, but I can't yeah. say they mean nothing. No, but the like, way, if, the like way if they've you been trying the polls now is so much different than the way you talked about them four years. Ago. Oh, 100. Yeah. percent Well, uh, well, four years ago they they weren't off that much. I mean, in right. in 20, I mean, as of 2012, with 2012 there was systemic polling error in favor of Mitt Romney. Yeah, that's right. right. Like, that's right. like Romney actually got overpolled in right. 2012, and right. in 2008 they were pretty dead on. So there was a, so by 2016 people were like, okay, they kind of know what they're doing. And then the bottom fell out on Hillary, and Trump is such an off-the-wall character that they had no way to pull that, and they right. didn't know what they were doing. And so this time around, it's like they might still not know what they're, they're doing. Yeah. By the way, uh, it turns out that that was a myth that Fox uncalled Arizona. They've recalled Arizona, or they never uncalled Arizona. Mm-hmm. There was a Twitter thing that was going around, apparently. Wow. Uh, and they've doubled down on the idea that Arizona is in Biden's uh, category. I have Fox friends also- who are with the president in the White House right now saying there's a lot of confusion, even in the, even in the administration right now, about what's actually happening. In some of these races. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin apparently uh, is uh, w- Wisconsin is trending toward Biden, which is what we would expect. Uh, it looks as though Fox News decision desk uh, is on the verge of calling Georgia in favor of Trump, even though the New York Times needle is wobbling a bit, uh, which means that we are where we were about 45 minutes ago, waiting on Pennsylvania or waiting on Michigan. Uh, and we're going to be waiting a while because yeah. they, they've announced yep. that none of those results are, are coming in and it's going to be quite a while. So it all comes down as we suspected, to uh, probably, well, now Pennsylvania and Michigan, it's it's going to be, uh, apparently in the next few minutes, we are going to start getting some results from Nevada. Now, the reason that's important is because Trump lost Arizona. So if Trump lost Arizona, Trump needs to win Nevada. If he wins Nevada, then he's back on track, right? If he wins Nevada and the results from Nevada are shockingly good, which could happen, right? One of the out, outstanding theories about Nevada was that the early voting and focus on mail-in voting would really hurt Democrats in a serious way because their voter turnout efforts in Nevada are specifically geared at the restaurants and the and the workers and the unionized workers in the casinos. And none of the casinos have a lot of unionized workers working right now because of COVID. So that means that all those people are at home. Mm-hmm. And getting them from home to the polls is a different thing than putting them on a bus at the MGM Grand and passing them to the polls as part of their union to go vote as a block en masse. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Trump does have any durability 
in Nevada. If he were to pick up Nevada, that makes up for Arizona. Then all he has to do is win Pennsylvania, Nevada, and he still wins the election. So breaking news right now, Joe Biden is about to take the stage in Delaware to give remarks. Let's go to Vice President Joe Biden and hear what he has to say on this strange and and, uh, unsettled evening. And declare victory. Joe Biden is about to come out. And it, to me, it's reminiscent of, of what we saw in the primaries, you know, when states were not being called, like Iowa, right? And then we started to see people coming up on stage and giving sort of quasi-acceptance speeches that weren't acceptance speeches, but we feel really good about what happened tonight. Um, and I think that that is, that's the pattern. I think that's yeah, but what that, we're there was see. a difference because then you were in Iowa and you were building towards New Hampshire. There was a reason. Here it's a little different. There, I think he's really doing it just so psychologically, if they end up in challenges, he thinks he, he looks stronger. All right, here's the former Vice President uh, Joe Biden with Dr. Jill Biden. Let's listen in. Good evening. Your patience is commendable. We knew this was going to go wrong, but who knew we're going to go into maybe tomorrow morning, maybe even longer. But look, we feel good about where we are. We really do. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, it's going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted. Every ballot is counted. But we're feeling good. We're feeling good about where we are. We believe one of the nets has suggested we've already won Arizona, but we're confident about Arizona. That's a turnaround. We also just called it for Minnesota, and we're still in the game in Georgia, although that's not one we expected. And we're feeling real good about Wisconsin and Michigan. And by the way, it's going to take time to count the votes. We're going to win Pennsylvania. I'm talking to folks in Philly, Allegheny County, Scranton, and they're really encouraged by the turnout and what they see. Look, you know, we could know the results as early as tomorrow morning, but it may take a little longer. As I've said all along, it's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. That's the decision of the American people. But I'm optimistic about this outcome. And I want to thank every one of you who came out and voted in this election. And by the way, Chris Coons and the Democrats, congratulations here in Delaware. Hey, John, the gov, yeah, the whole team, man. You've done a great job. I'm grateful to the poll workers, to our volunteers, our canvassers, everyone who participated in this democratic process. And I'm grateful to all my supporters here in Delaware and all across the nation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And folks, you heard me say it before. Every time I walk out of my grandpa's house up in Scranton, he'd yell, Joey, keep the faith. 
And my grandmama, she's alive, you'll know, Joey, spread it. Keep the faith, guys. We're going to win this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your patience is great. Let's walk over here. Former Vice President Joe Biden and his wife Jill Biden uh, saying All right, this race isn't over, saying yeah. he feels good. Count every vote. So there, he's going to go uh, call it on the night and uh, go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's there. Stuff. I'm sure we're uh, going to hear something from President Trump based on this because it's going to go into the morning hours. That is yeah. that is where we are at this point in time. Reminder. Uh, if you've really enjoyed our coverage tonight, as opposed to the coverage of the mainstream media, which, as always, is uh, is pure garbage, uh, then you should definitely come and check us out at Daily Wire. We have made a bunch of announcements about our big plans for next year, because here is the deal. If Joe Biden is president, there's going to be a lot of work to do to fight back against the institutional media that that basically if Biden ends up winning and it's this narrow a margin, there's no question that the media were the margin. There's no question the media were the margin if, if Trump right. ends up losing this narrowly, especially in, a, in an election cycle where Republicans are going to maintain the Senate and maybe pick up some seats in the House. Yeah. Uh, and so that means we need a different media. We are that different media. We want you to be part of it. Please head on over to DailyWire.com right now and use our promo code election. You get 25 percent off. It's the best deal we're going to have for a while. And we've been announcing big things we want to bring you all night long. Candace Owens is joining our team. She's moving with us to Nashville. That's how committed she is. We're going to be launching a brand new show with Candace. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait to tell you more about it. Live audience, the whole deal. Candace is a major cultural figure and uh, maybe you know, one of the chief figures in helping to shift the black vote in the United States away from the monolithic Democratic vote that it has been for so long. And we're going to be launching a brand new morning show to compete with the New York Times of the Daily, not just NPR, but the New York Times is the Daily, right. uh, to bring you some actual accurate news every morning in short form so you can hear that and know what's going on in 15 minutes or less. We're bringing you three new investigative reporters who are going to be digging and digging hard, especially if Joe Biden is president. They'll be doing the kind of digging the mainstream media simply will not when it comes to Joe Biden. And we are going to be bringing you movies. We're going to bring you, be bringing you actual entertainment. I mean, I, I really cannot wait to tell you guys about the new entertainment options that we are bringing you. And we're not saying that you're going to have to get all your entertainment from Daily Wire, but we want you to start thinking about entertainment from people who you actually believe in and people who you agree with, as opposed to giving your money to outlets that actively scorn you and hate you. <laughs> and we are going to and we are going to be actively promoting that content. Seriously, this is like the people we're working with to, to make actual movies. It's not a BS ploy. It's not a it's not a, a rinky dink minor league thing. These are serious films uh, for for conservatives and uh, and for everybody else. Uh, because the, the left has decided that every film has to be a woke marathon. So we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be counter-programming all of that. You can be part of it. You can be part of that mission. This mission is going to last long beyond this election. We are in a generational battle for the soul of the country, for the philosophy of the country. We all know that in this room. I know you know that watching. So head on over to dailywire.com right now. Become a subscriber. We really appreciate it. We do. You can hear those big plans. They cost a lot of money. They're not cheap. And, and we use that money to make sure that we can bring you all of that, help shift the culture, help shift the country toward a conservative point of view, toward a constitutional point of view through culture and through news and through entertainment. In all the ways the institutions have been taken over by the left, we are going to fight back on every front. We need your help to do that. We're adding new people every day. We are growing, we are moving, and we are attempting to threaten an institutional structure that really puts in danger a lot of values we all believe in. So check out dailywire.com right now with promo code election. You can subscribe for 25% off, which is the best deal you are going to get for a while, I promise you. So go check that out. We really appreciate all your help tonight. I know thousands and thousands and thousands of you have already subscribed tonight alone. And so we want to continue that momentum, obviously. Plus, we're bringing you more results. Nevada should be closing any second. We're going to start bringing you uh, Nevada numbers pretty soon. Yeah, and right now, 
And right now, if we go to the Daily Wire war room, we're going to hear from our very own Cassie Dillon, who has the president's reaction on Twitter as we speak. So right now on Twitter, President Trump is responding. Uh, we just saw Pres- or Vice President Biden give a speech. And now President Trump is saying uh, he will be making a statement tonight. Uh, and then he said a big win. He also said, we are up big, but they're trying to steal the election. We will never let them do it. Votes cannot be cast after polls are closed. So it seems President Trump is going to continue covering this, and he's not going down without a fight. Now let's pass it over to Alicia, who's going to give an update on the numbers. So we saw how President Trump just reacted to what Joe Biden was saying there. A lot of us in the war room, a lot of people like uh, that have been in politics for a long time said that his language was setting up the, we're not finished tonight, we're not giving up tonight. His rhetoric of every vote must be counted makes it seem like the update that Cabot had earlier from officials in those states of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania is also how the Biden campaign is kind of pivoting and, and making, that's their rhetoric too. Oh, absolutely. Like he's completely setting the stage for what is to be expected now, which is going to be, this is going to be dragged out for a few days. They are going to be scraping the barrel for every single vote they can find in all likelihood, as both sides would. I think that's ex- like accepted. But the fact is we simply don't know the data. You saw in his language, he wasn't really claiming victory. It was more just the importance of waiting. Mm-hmm. He's setting the stage for patient Democrats because time is good for them. And I think that's going to frustrate uh, Trump, hits the tweet. Okay. And so also we're seeing a lot of data, guys, just so you know, you've referenced it a little bit. But um, as you guys have been having some conversations over there, some really interesting conversations, by the way, we've been seeing that projections have been changing and Mm -hmm. shifting. And now states that were trending toward Trump-Pence, like Georgia and North Carolina, aren't the sure things that a lot of people were projecting they might be. Yeah, I think the issue is it's just been so inconsistent. So I have some notes here, like Arizona, Trump 2020 senior advisor Jason Miller said that it's way too soon to be calling Arizona. Then there were rumors that Fox News retracted it. They haven't, but other places haven't called Arizona. Hmm. Then there's Georgia, which out of nowhere suddenly started tilting Biden 67%, according to the New York Times. And for us, that seemed to come out of nowhere. The data doesn't really seem to suggest that. Then Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all saying they're going to be waiting to count votes. And those, as we spoke before, they're the key states. So for an answer, we're just going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait and see. And thank you for the audience and the members that are here with us, because we wouldn't be able to be here. Oh, and we're still here for you guys if it weren't for you. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions. Uh, The first one goes to Ben. People want to know on several occasions, Ben, you have talked about Trump's win in 2016 being a reaction to their smear of Romney in 2012. If Trump ends up winning tonight, which, as we just discussed, nobody's going home a winner tonight. Um, What will the left's retaliation look like in 2024? Well, I mean, in 2024, the one thing that you can bet on for sure is that the the Democrats are going to claim that whoever comes after Trump, and this is regardless of whether he wins or loses, is worse than Trump. Always. Right? They they will always say this. So if Nikki Haley becomes the nominee, it will be, well, at least Donald Trump wasn't a warmonger like Nikki Haley. You know, Donald Trump was a racist, but at least he was clear about his racism. Strange respect for Donald Trump. That's what we'll get. And it'll be, Donald Trump was a racist, but he was an obvious racist. Nikki Haley is much more subtle with her, you know, Indian background and not being a white person at all. And that, that, that's really what it'll be. It'll be Ron DeSantis, if he's the nominee. Be at least at least Donald Trump didn't try to masquerade as a man of the people. He was a, he was a gilded. Like, it, it'll all turn into this revisionist history. So this happens with every single Republican. This is why you get the strange new respect for George W. Bush, who they all thought was Hitler back in 2006. So you'll, you'll get a lot of that. Uh, if, if Donald Trump wins, 
they have the opportunity, the Democrats do, to, to sit with themselves for a little while and learn some lessons. But they've shown themselves utterly unwilling to do that. I mean, in 2016, they could have learned some lessons. I said in 2016, all they had to do was not be crazy, and they literally could not do it. They decided what would right. be a great idea is to riot in the streets and to talk about how if you didn't vote for, for Joe Biden or celebrate rioting in the middle of COVID, that you are somehow a vicious racist and you ought to be fired from your job. And a lot of people, you know, that it, if it's not a silent majority for Trump, it's certainly a silent majority that rejects wokeism. I think that that's pretty obvious. The, the, the woke mentality. But I don't have a lot of faith in Democrats that they're not going to react to either a Trump victory or a narrow Biden victory with anything remotely approaching rationality, because they haven't been rational about any of this at all, like in any way, shape or form. Anyway, so Donald <laughs> Trump, we uh, they're going. Yeah, we, we, we obviously just lost Alicia. I don't know how that happened. No worries. We are going to get to more Daily Wire member questions as we go throughout the evening. Uh, but what we're waiting on right now is Nevada. I mean, all eyes on Nevada. Right. If Trump is able to somehow flip Nevada, then the loss of Arizona uh, becomes less of a, a looming problem right. for him. Uh, you heard Joe Biden say they weren't expecting Georgia, but they were more optimistic about Georgia. Georgia is still a little bit up in the air, but likely to, to go for, for Trump. Uh, at this point, if you had to ballpark this thing, you still say that Biden is probably a 60-40 favorite to be the president after all this is said and done, uh, just because the numbers don't seem to favor Trump heavily. At this point, if he has to win Pennsylvania plus, that puts him in, in not a, a wonderful position. You want him to be in a Not position. impossible. Not impossible. He could He could win Michigan. Mm-hmm. John James is outperforming the polls there, apparently, uh, by a pretty wide margin. So theoretically, you could have a shocker in Michigan or a shocker in Wisconsin. Um, he, he doesn't seem to be performing in Wisconsin quite as well as he is in Michigan. Uh, there were a lot of folks in Michigan who were sort of saying this. I was hearing in Michigan that the polls were just wrong in Michigan, not as much in Wisconsin. Nevada, they have some hope held out. Uh, President Trump, of course, tweeting out about we are up big, but they are trying to steal the election. We'll never let them do it. Votes cannot be cast after the polls are closed. He did, in fact, spell polls P-O-L-E-S. So uh, we well, have to make sure. Meant to put the actual well, that, what I like about the president, <laughs> yeah. what I like about the president is he, he wants you to know it's him tweeting. <laughs> it is not an aide. Yeah. I am the real Donald Trump. It says it right there, real Donald Trump. Uh, Twitter, by the way, breaking news, Twitter has suspended Trump's tweet. Really? So that very tweet that Ben just. Really? Really? Uh, oh, I, I'm not sure if it's the one that says. Wow. Uh, up big or the one where he says big win. But one of the two tweets that Cassie. Just no, brought he, us. he deleted. He deleted the misspelled polls tweet. No, no. One, there is one that is now censored. Uh, yeah. The we're up big. The, the we're up big. But they're trying to steal the election. He did respell polls, though. So now it's P-O-L-L-S. Uh, but it does say some some or all of the content shared in this tweet is disputed by us and might be misleading about an election or other civic process. There's another uh, warning here. Learn about U.S. elections. They, I mean, and you can't view it on his timeline. You have to click through another link to see what it actually says. President of the United States. Unbelievable. That's how much they don't want you to get any information that counters their narrative. And this goes to my point about the media. It doesn't even change. The voting is mostly over in every place that matters right now. They're, on, they're not censoring him for the outcome. They're censoring him to show everybody else who thinks like them yeah. that they are virtuous, that they are yeah, noble, no, no that question. they're on the side no of what's question. right and what's yeah. good and what's holy. I mean, it, this could be just an absolute bleep show, right? I mean, like th- that most obvious problem. This is why all votes should be on Election Day. Yeah, except right. for yes. very rare exceptions. Yeah. Because the fact that this is now going to drag out probably for another two days, I would imagine at a minimum for another two days, it means that Trump voters are going to believe that Trump legit won the election and that it was stolen from him if Biden takes it. And Biden voters are going to believe precisely the opposite if Trump right. takes it. And if it gets appealed to the Supreme Court, we're going to get a bunch of talk about how Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch all have to recuse themselves because they're Trump appointees. By the so way, it's if just you a mess all the way through. Think about what the president just said for which Twitter has 
has penalized him. And then think about what Joe Biden actually just said on the stage yeah, of course. during his remarks where he said, we're going to win Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he has it on good authority from the attorney general. <laughs> going to win it in Pennsylvania. I mean, he made very declarative statements, but there's no censorship when you're on the left. No. Because there's no virtue in showing censorship to the left, right? Well, absolutely. And, and Twitter is a, an absolute Democrat project, a leftist project. I That's wouldn't right. even say Democrat. They're, they're a leftist. True leftist. Yeah. I want to go back to Alicia and get a few more questions from our Daily Wire members. You can become a member by going to Daily Wire, hitting the subscribe button. Promo code election gets you 25% off. Alicia. Yes. The next question is for Michael Knowles. They, uh, people really want to know, and Ben just said there, you know, is it going to be a couple more days? But Knowles, what do you think is a realistic timeline for when we have an election result? As we know from the war room, we apparently have until December 6th. Is this going to be a post-Thanksgiving thing? A little uh, nervous to say it will go on that long. Uh, I, do, I mean, there have been people who joke that it'll go on until January, February, or March. I, I don't think that's the case. There's just too much pressure on it. So uh, it looks like it's going to come down to Pennsylvania. Uh, we already know because the attorney general told us that it's over for Biden several days ago. So uh, that's fine. It, actually, that tweet, though, will be grounds for some of the uh, lawsuits that uh, that are guaranteed to go on there. You, you had the Biden campaign, by the way, bragging months ago that they had hired 600 lawyers to battle out and try to win this election in the courts. Uh, the Trump campaign lawyered up as well. Uh, the best lawyers. The, you'll never see lawyers like this, folks. So, uh, you know, that, that will go on for a while. And uh, who knows? I mean, it could work all the way up to the courts. And as Ben said, you'll get arguments about how any judge who ever met a Republican has got to recuse themselves. But but I don't think it's going to go on for two months or three months. Uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, Antonin Scalia said what was so humiliating about Bush v. Gore is you had the greatest democracy in the world. Uh, that, that couldn't resolve its own election. Here, you know, we're not going to have Bush v. Gore times three or times four or times five. It doesn't look that way. So if, if it does become a matter of Pennsylvania, I, I suspect uh, that they'll, they'll be able to resolve it relatively quickly. But, but there's a, a huge world in which we don't know tomorrow and maybe we don't even know Friday. All right, Drew, this question is for you. Is voter turnout so high this election cycle because of mail-in popularity with voters? Or do you think it's uh, the highly charged nature of where the country sits right now politically? B. It's, it's obviously the highly charged nature. Trump, Trump is a divisive figure, but he's also a figure that inspires passion. I don't think anybody, I seriously don't think anybody went to the polls because they thought that Joe Biden was their dream guy. I think that people went to the polls to vote against Trump or for Trump. He is a world historical figure now. He is a guy like Napoleon uh, that basically sets the tenor of the time. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, doesn't matter. It is an actual fact that this is a guy who has occupied and colonized our imaginations. And people went to the polls as a referendum on Donald Trump. And a lot of them went to the polls because Donald Trump is such a powerful figure. And that's, that is, that's what's happened. You know, he is, he is a genuine uh, historical guy at this point. All right. Can, can we be clear on one thing here? I think it's worth noting, uh, which is that if there were no such thing as uh, early voting, Trump would have won this election. Uh, uh, that, well, uh, that's because always because been, the, yeah. the surge at the la in the last two weeks of the election, based on the polling data, suggests that Trump really closed the gap in a major way in a lot of these swing states. But mm -hmm. so many votes came in early that people had already voted, and so that last debate didn't make. I don't understand the logic of early voting. I'm with you on this a hundred percent. I think people should go to the polls on a day to vote. Yeah, and, and go there's supposed to be an election date. It is supposed to be inconvenient to vote. Yeah. It's supposed to not be supremely easy to vote. You're supposed to have to want to exercise uh, that responsibility. If you make it too easy for everyone, then it really becomes a popularity contest. It becomes a 
faddish, you know, yep. whoever's the and, most faddish candidate. And why shouldn't you be able win. to target a date that you're you're playing toward? Why shouldn't you be able to say, I'm yeah. going to... And it is fundamentally campaign. wrong to I, vote before the election is over. Right. Yeah. It presumes that you know things that you may or may not actually right. know, which is why one of the most popular search trends after the second debate was, can I change can my I change vote? My right. Right. Yeah. And think about that. After the second debate, how do I change my vote? There shouldn't have been any votes. Even if you believe that one day that we should have a voting week or that we should have a voting three days, uh, the, the debates were weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And already 40, 50, 60, 70 million votes had been cast. But listen, we have swapped out Daily Wire editor in chief John Bickley for another tall, handsome dude <laughs> uh, who's also a Ph.D., who's also intelligent and also has a deep voice. And that is the young <laughs> You'll barely notice Bickley was gone. Yeah, but only one of you has a square beard. This is true. A this has become beard. my trademark. And in the, in the pandemic season, I just decided to rebel by growing a square beard. I like it. Yeah. Spencer, you put out a video with the Daily Wire uh, this week about how what's really happening on the left is a revolution. I, I was sort of inspired at a breakfast that I had with you. You brought up the same point. And I've, I've expounded on it and thought about it in my own way. But I wonder if you could give us just a little bit of, of that here. What do you mean a revolution? Absolutely. Well, there's two points to make. One is it's not an election about which way we're going to take the country. It's an election about whether the country is good or evil. And that's, yeah. you know, this is this is the meaning of the phrase systemic racism. It's it's the fundamental just definitional. No matter how much you protest that you're a moderate, that Joe Biden is the one who's going to stop all the riots. right? If what you're telling people is that fundamentally in its systems, in its structure, your country is racist, which is an evil thing to be, people are going to start rioting and tearing statues down. There's just, there's no logical conclusion other than that. So when you say, as Joe Biden has said, that there is systemic racism, that you have a plan to root it out, it doesn't matter how you present yourself. It doesn't matter what else you say to the contrary or whether you just pretend you're trying to reform things. You're actually staging and abetting a revolution. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that it's not a popular revolution, right? It's not a popular uprising. It's not oppressed people. It's all this stuff that they claim about, you know, oh, these poor, marginalized, whatever, black right. Latinx, whatever, black people that are rising up. This is an elite, PhD-driven, uh, CEO-funded, yeah. right? Jack Dorsey's fun funneling tens of millions of dollars into people like Abramics, Candy, university professors that are overthrowing our republic in the name of their own corrupt oligarchy. And that's what they... Are doing, and the, the, the whole idea that this is this kind of uprising from from the ground up is a classic Marxist technique. It's yep. this: you take all this popular right. unrest, which exists because you generated it by locking people inside their homes for however many months and making sure they had to wear masks and conceal their identities, dehumanize one another, and and drilling into their heads over and over and over again that your countrymen are racist, your countrymen hate you for whatever reason that we invent today, and then you just tell them, and now you have to riot, now you have to take to the streets. That's Marxism. It's just the well, Marxism. it's amazing how they use that playbook. So so right. the term racism now is just a synonym for evil, right? So it's not enough right. to just to not be evil. You have to be actively good or anti-racist. And and this idea that when when blacks or Hispanics don't vote the way that they're supposed to, that they're exhibiting a false consciousness. This Marxist. Oh my gosh! Today, Nicole Hannah Jones, one of the foremost ringleaders of this entire thing, right? The the architect of the New York Times 1619 Project, tweeted. The day after this election is over, I can, you cannot make this up. The day after this election is over, I'm going to write a little article about how the term Latino is made up because it lumps 
white Cubans I hate that. in with, I hate uh, that. oh my gosh, those white Cubans, right? It lumps them in with all the actual brown and black, the real true black. It's like, you know, after this election, traitors will be stripped of their preferred staff. <laughs> and, <they're, laughs> and there will be racial purity. Exactly. And there will, we will, yeah, yeah. well, you know, and, and it's like you couldn't ask them to state it more outright. You're right. Know? We refuse to believe them. We just imagine that they're trying to kind of, you know, well, oh, we, you know, I concede some good points to you. You know, you may be right. No, no, no. They're trying to destroy us. They want us dead. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Bright spot in California, just as an election update. It looks like California is set to vote down that idiotic ballot initiative, getting rid of the uh, getting rid of the anti-racial preferences Excuse language. Me. Thank goodness. Good. So it looks it looks like Republican that the the Californian public will vote that down. It also looks like the uh, proposition uh, that was set to get rid of Uber and Lyft in the state was even too much for California voters. So yeah. it looks yeah. like they're going to vote. Well, down. Uber went all in. You couldn't get a car in the last three months without being told how to <laughs> yeah. vote on Prop. Well, I mean, they had right? to, right? Otherwise, they literally would not exist. Yeah, that's right. Would just not be here anymore. It shows you what would happen if you were to take all of the apparatus that they've been using to remind us to vote, 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 right, which is all vote for Biden, right? right you know, every time you open Instagram, every time you tweet anything, if you just took that apparatus and directed it toward one Republican policy. So these business people, they get incensed about the fact that they're going to, like, five to fire all of their people. And suddenly you can't get an Uber without getting reminded about this. Yeah. Right. It works. Like, why isn't the right doing this? That's right. Why don't we do it more? Well, because they control so many of the levers of influence right. and the ones, even the ones where we get a... Uh, a foothold. They try to actually strip us up. You know, I want to pick back up on the revolution thing for one minute because there's an aspect of it that I've been hitting on that I think it goes right along with what you're saying, but it, it's a slightly different color. And that's that historically we vote over pre- policy preferences. I don't like the, and some, listen, policy preferences can have extraordinary consequences. Abortion is a great example. I vote Republican because I'm pro-life. I don't want to see abortion, which I believe is the taking of a human life. Uh, that's a very consequential issue, but it is still fundamentally an issue of policy. I want taxes to be lower. I think that's better for the economy. You want taxes to be higher. You think that's better for equity. We're, this is a policy disagreement. This particular election is not about policy. The left isn't running on a policy platform. They're running on the idea of changing the structure of the government itself. They're essentially saying uh, the electoral college, fundamentally unfair, we're going to do away with it. They're fundam- They're saying uh, the Supreme Court, as currently constituted, fundamentally unfair, we're going to change it. They're saying some of this isn't constitutional changes. It's changes to the norms, like the filibuster. The filibuster, which protects minority rights, has gotten in our way. We're going to get rid of it. Once we've gotten rid of it, the 50-state structure that's uh, held for the last half century or more in this country uh, doesn't favor us in terms of senatorial representation or uh, votes for the presidency. So we're going to alter it by simple majority and add states. They're saying that the First Amendment should be mitigated. The Second Amendment should be mitigated. Due process should be mitigated. They're saying that equal justice is, as Eric Weinstein said when he was here, uh, somehow a sign of white supremacy. The very, the 14th Amendment is a sign of white supremacy. <laughs> what they're, what they're saying is they want to have an election that's post-policy, right. where if we vote for them, Policy will actually never be on the docket again because you won't be allowed to talk. You won't be allowed to defend yourself. You won't have any protection from capricious overreach by the government. You won't have any representation, the meaningful representation in the Senate and the Supreme Court will exist to validate anything that they try to cram down your throats. In that world, it's foolish to talk about abortion. It's foolish to talk about taxation. Yeah. It's foolish to talk about any of our uh, Green New Deal, even as sweeping as that is, becomes foolish because all policy disagreement goes out the door you when, you, your when you reframe <laughs> yeah, right. a country. They, as yeah. we said earlier, as you yeah. said, they're trying to reframe yeah. America. That is a revolutionary 
concept. Yeah, we're voting on the context within which we're going to have these conversations. We're not voting on one side of the conversation right. over another. Do you guys remember when that those football kids, those high school football players, got suspended for yeah. flying the you know, Blue Lives Matter for the Blue Lives Matter flag, right? And what the what the superintendent said, I think it was the superintendent, it was whoever suspended them said, you know, we didn't want them to be making a political statement. Right. So what counts right. as political? Right. Yeah. The, 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 when we say the word political, what we typically mean is I mean, what we should mean is the structure of our lives together. But what we typically mean is the things that we're fighting over right now and the things that are outside of the Overton window. That's the stuff that you can say and be considered apolitical. So you can post a black square on Instagram. You have to. Actually. You have to. It's <laughs> compulsory. And the reason it's compulsory is because it's not political. Yeah. It's the that's background right. of the regime. And right. that's what they want. They want their their way of life to be the background of what it sort of it sort of has to be that way they have to be so right that we're evil and can't speak because their policies don't work i mean right. this is an important point when you look at san francisco one of the most beautiful cities i lived there many thousands of years ago uh it was one of the most beautiful cities in the country it is now a cesspit and yet and yet if you say hey something's wrong here there's something evil about you yeah. And it has to be that way because otherwise you are just faced with the well, policies and the results. Of you know, this is a conversation we've had for a long time, which is I think we often get the conversations over free speech or censorship or political correctness. We get it wrong because we're just fighting narrowly over the banned tweet or the word you're not allowed to say when really what the battle is about is the the way in which we view the world, the, the kind of background of the world, there, there are always these norms, there are always these standards, and what the left has done is overturned all of the old standards and replaced them with the new ones, such that, if, if what is the meaning of the black square? The meaning of the black square is this country is horrifically racist, yeah. there is an epidemic of racist cops slaughtering innocent black men, as LeBron James says, black men can't walk out their doors without being hunted down, that is the explicit meaning of that black square, yep. Yep. and if you don't believe that, you will be ostracized. Yeah. Do you guys, did you guys have any of these conversations that I have had in the last couple of weeks leading up to the election where you said, you know, I think these polls are catastrophically off. I think they're yeah. profoundly off. And because they're off because they're, they're first level premises. And, and not only did people say, well, I think you're wrong, but they reacted with indignation, with yeah. deep appall, this sort of sense of offense because you, you threatened not just yes. their idea about what's going to happen, but their entire ethos of how political life is done. And if, if you believe, as they do, the people that I'm you know, having these conversations with, believe that democracy is effectively obsolete because the like, mechanism, the algebraic mechanism of the input that you're going to feed in and the output you're going to get has been 100% calculated like atoms bouncing off yeah. of one another. The same way they believe that the whole world is just matter bouncing off of each other, they also believe that that's what democracy is and how it can be best optimized. And when you tell them that you think that they've just, you know, seen the world wrong, they respond with the kind of moral just shock that you that they would also respond with if you said, I think systemic racism is a lie. It's all part of one attitude. Right. And it's the attitude that you're outside. The uh, although I will say that I think that there is uh, a bit of a difference between the two attitudes. So the attitude about polling, I think, comes from it just goes to show that logic is not consistent among Democrats. Hmm. Uh, on the one hand, if you say, show me the evidence of systemic racism, because that's a very miasmatic and unclear argument, so you need to actually show me the evidence, then they get very offended that you're asking to see evidence. If you say, I think the polls are wrong, hmm. then they will say, well, evidence matters. I mean, haven't you seen the data <laughs> in the polls? Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's almost whatever is useful, whatever brick is at hand is, is, is what they are used to using. Listen, I get the discomfort. I do. I, I, I've experienced it myself. I get the discomfort with 
people saying, I don't believe the polls because like, okay, well, what is there to believe or not believe? Either they're right or they're wrong. It's not a matter of belief. It's either they're correctly modeled. They're not correctly modeled. They'll be what they are. Um, but the, so I, I get that level of discomfort. What I don't get is the wild ire at anybody who says that we should take the polls with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. right? Because the polls themselves are supposed to be taken with a grain of right. salt. There is a thing called margin of error <laughs> in the polls. Yeah, right. Right. They're, they're predicting right. the future, which we actually don't have the science to do. There is no, <laughs> there is no science to predict irregular events in the future. And right. so when it's the same thing with uh, with climate change. You know, climate change is a guess. It's a reasonable guess, you know, it, but it may be wrong. And And every time the whole thing about science is you compare your guesses to reality, yeah. and then when reality <laughs> contradicts them, you change your guess. And the fact that you could actually uh, object to their guesses tells you that the guess is motivated by ideology. Well, not- so I'll tell you what it's like. In the evangelical world, every six years, eight years, there probably is an actual number, I don't know it. Someone comes along and says, that the end of days is going to happen, and they and they name a date, right. and they do this because the Bible explicitly says <laughs> no one Don't knows the date except this one chump who's going to show up in 2020 and build build you for 10 million. <laughs> they name him. They name him. Yeah. yeah right. So the Christians fall for this time and time and time again. I remember being at the South Plains Fair in Lubbock, Texas, when I was 10, eight, nine, 10 years old, and I saw this painting of the tribulation, you know, and it was supposed to happen that year, which was like 1988 or something, you know, they, they had all this signs and wonders. And, you know, if you read the Bible backwards in Latin and convert it into digits and put it on a metric clock and they, they really pin it down and people get swept up in it. People I know, people I love, people who are intelligent, successful in business, uh, people with good families get swept up in it. Some people I know have been swept up in not every one of them, but multiple of them across the course of the 41 years that I've been on the planet. And when you try to talk to them about it, even just to say, like, well, what makes this one different than the one in 1988 that I remember you were also, you know, committed to? They show that same level of indignation. And it's a religious indignation, which is why I bring it up. You are you are now challenging their religious belief about what is going to happen. And the reason that I've always said, you know, I have this little home church and I've been doing it for, I don't know, 18 years or some some version like that. And no one comes to it, right? It's a small, sort of decidedly small group. I always say, if I ever wanted to explode the numbers, I would teach about Revelation and the end (laughs) of days because everyone wants to know what's going to happen. Everyone wants not only the security of knowing, but they want the special knowledge. They want to be the ones that God chose to reveal special knowledge to. They want to know what you don't know. And they, if they like you, they want to tell you. And if they really hate you, they might also want to tell you. (laughs) But if they're indifferent to you, maybe they don't want you to know because then they wouldn't be right. They want that special secret blessing of knowing the future. And I'm always reminded that all of the people who in the Bible claim to know the future are wrong. And it's not that they don't know the prophecy. It's that they don't know the purpose of prophecy, that biblical prophecy isn't so that it's not God uh, telling you the future so that you will know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's God telling you the future so that when the future arrives, you will know that he was God. Right, so you, right. you can tell the truth. Right, so that, so right. that you can tell the truth. God isn't God doesn't give us the future because if you had the future, there'd be no need for faith. Now, that's a sort of religious way of thinking about it. But in much more practical terms, maybe for our purposes, you're not smart enough to know the future. 
Nothing that you're ever going to learn is going to tell you the future. Because if you knew the future, you would be more than human. And you are not more than human. Right. No, you're just and, another and, and when you object, When you object to it, you're actually... They feel that you're objecting to the underlying belief. And that's the thing that's you right. see when you say these yeah. polls. I'm not sure about these polls. What you're really saying to, to them is you don't have any special virtue. You don't that's have right. special yeah. power. You're not special. And their whole claim to authority is based on those right. special powers. It's based on and, – and these – the people who have claimed to those special powers in my entire lifetime – have thoroughly beclowned themselves. All their predictive powers, all their special insight, all their fancy credentials, all turned out to be false and wrong. And the whole, all, all their, all their five-year plans, exactly. all their end yeah. of histories, all of their right, right. And this is, I mean, so there is something I will concede, right? Agonizing about not knowing what's going to happen five minutes from now, except that it's the entire human experience. <laughs> I was sitting backstage with you guys had Dave Rubin on. I was sitting backstage with him. We were watching this this whole thing unfold. And we're both sort of thinking like, this is the funnest country in the world. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe Biden was up like 15 points and now every, every state is like this toss up. And there is, I mean, it's, it's, it's nail biting, but it's super fun if you believe that God is in charge, right? Yeah. So the, yeah. Uh, yeah. the thing that makes it fun is if you actually have some, you know, overarching faith that it's a story with a narrator. If you don't, if you just think it's atoms bouncing off of one another, of course, all you're doing is just trying to get control. This is some, you said something very intelligent the other day, oh, which no. shocked me. Yeah, no, and I, I had to do a double wait, wait, I, I obviously I, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, you said something very intelligent on this point of, of basically breaking out of the system that, that does not have this predictive power and that is totally corrupted. And it's, but it's, it, we hear it with the woke, mm. but it's happening a little bit on the right too, even in the language that we use to describe this. That's right. Yeah. I think that when people, you notice on the left and the right, this language of getting woke or getting red-pilled, right? Getting red-pilled right. is waking up out of the matrix. That's yeah. the same, it's the same thing as getting woke. And both of them just mean I was living in a simulation. We talk yeah, also right. about the simulation. And the simulation is, there are these two flavors of thing on the table in front of me. One flavor is called Republican and one flavor is called Democrat. And I basically feel like both of them have been offering me the same thing. Hmm. Conservatives feel like both of them have been offering me this, this kind of, you know, limp-wristed libertarianism, basically. That it's was like, homophobic, yeah. by the way. You're not allowed to. <laughs> I'm not, but, you know, I'm already an ex-gay, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> or an un-gay, I think is how it un-gay. works. Yeah, the same. Double um, plus. I'm, I'm not a Latino anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so so that's the the thing that the basically i think a lot of the really hardcore right-wingers think that both republicans and democrats were offering that and a lot of the bernie bros feel like both republicans and democrats were offering this kind of neoliberalism that just benefits the upper class ultimately and you know a lot of it has to do with immigration but it has to do with you know the middle class and so forth and so this whole idea that you're you know you're trying basically to get something that transcends that system my shtick now is like the only actual thing that does that, because all the other stuff that people are offering is basically just atavism. It's just tribalism. Like, yeah, let's, yeah. let's divide every race. Let's, like, lift weights a bunch and be super buff or whatever. Like, the, the only thing that actually does this is to genuinely do and say what the American Constitution does and say. Yeah. So, like, for example, freedom of association, a radical thing. Yeah. Like, if yeah. my employer could actually fire me for being gay, like the Constitution says he should be able to do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Not that I think he would ever do it. Not that I think yeah. really anybody would do it at this point. But, like, that that is the most insane, red-pilled, woke thing of anything. But we're all looking for that, right? We're all We're all searching for something yeah. that breaks out of that scripted system. I think an important piece of this, and we talk about it sometimes on our backstage show, 
Uh, it's probably worth saying here now as this night begins to wane and as it becomes more and more clear that we're almost certainly not going to know tonight who is the president. Millions of Americans are going to go to bed tonight in, in a kind of distress because obviously the stakes truly are quite high mm-hmm. in this election. They're, they're always high. They're probably uniquely high uh, in this particular election because we've been worked into a frenzy by the media over the last four years. And, and really, I would say over the last 12 years, because the Obama years were so inciting to Republicans because we were being told you have no future. It is not your country. Your day is over. This is the end of history, as they always believe that it's the end of history when they win. Yeah. Even on the right, we're saying if Joe Biden wins, it's the end of America as we know it. Uh, if the if the left ascends, it's the end of America as we know it. I think it's worth probably mentioning. I mean, and we don't know. When will we know? You could go to bed tonight and miss it and wake up in the morning and somebody's the president. You didn't even see it happen. Or you could wake up tomorrow and we're still a week away from now. I mean, it's a very distressing time. But I think it's worth observing that while the stakes are high, the stakes are not ultimate, that who you are ultimately, your ultimate future is not held by the government. It's held by God. God unfolds history. Whoever wins the presidency, God did that. And God's ways are not our ways. Uh, you know, that's one of the first you, you, you haven't even scratched the surface of wisdom until you know that God's ways aren't our ways. Even when we say things like America will be over if Joe Biden is president, we're assuming that we know a bunch of things that we don't know. That's right. Joe Biden could be like in California. We had uh, a governor named Jerry Brown and he was a radical leftist governor. And then he goes away for a generation and he comes back 180 years later and he's, our governor governor, again. and he's our governor again. Only the second time that he's governor, the Democrats in the state have become so radical that they've left his radicalism behind. And while he still does many things that I dislike, there are real consequences of his governorship. He actually serves as a kind of bulwark yep. against the radical left because he simply won't sign. The, it's possible that Joe Biden will actually be uh, will actually prevent the radical left from being able to get the kinds of victories that they might otherwise get. It's possible that Joe Biden wins the presidency and because of his age and health, never even uh, serves one day as president uh, or he serves a year or two years or three years and isn't able to conclude his term. And Kamala Harris becomes president. Not only would we get the the just unbelievable joy uh, of knowing that the first woman president wasn't elected, which would just be like the funniest thing that's ever happened. Uh, but as our friend Jonathan Hay has observed, we would be ascending someone so unpopular, even among Democrats, that she could not win a single vote in the primaries and had to drop out, not even able to carry this her the own first state. Person, yeah. and, then, and then a Republican could ascend again in, in four years. The thing, the thing that occurred to me this morning is every time somebody says, this is the most important election of our lifetime, he's actually making a prediction. He's actually yeah. talking about something he doesn't know mm. because it may be a completely irrelevant election <laughs> yeah. because we don't know what's going to actually happen. Well, so, again, that comes down to the arrogance of control, the feeling like, yes. okay, this election matters so much because I'm involved with it right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's also such a meaningless statement because elections that happen in the past are by nature in the past, and the ones that have yet to come are by nature not happening right now. <laughs> it's like saying the most important moment of your life is this one and this one. And this one. Will and this one. So, because it's literally the moment that you are in, right? I mean, there, there happens to be a currency bias. But yeah, I tweeted earlier today, you should vote, and then you should go spend, do something much more important and spend time with your kids. Yep. And the truth is that the future of the country is yep. going to matter a lot. It's going to depend a lot less on how people voted tonight and how much time 
we spend on our kids is going to matter a whole hell of a right. lot more. And the kind of institutional changes that we push for, which we've been talking about all night and pitching all night, that's going to make a lot more difference. People have a habit in the United States of thinking that they get to sound off once every four years mm. and then just abdicate mm. the yeah. rest of the time. Yeah. Uh, the left never sleeps, which is one of the reasons they've taken over so many institutions in, in American life. Um, you know, you voting is not the end of your civic responsibility. It's the that's beginning right. of your civic responsibility and maybe not even that. It's just but kind of a moment. Right. The actual truth that's is your civic, your, your civic <coughs> responsibility fundamentally is to think less about politics. <coughs> yep. Think that's more right. about your family. If you're not married, get married. If you don't have kids, get kids. If you don't have a job, get a job and actually be a product. If you are on social media too much, turn it off. Go meet your neighbor. If your neighbor has a need, help them meet it. If they aren't worthy, help them all the more. If you loan somebody money, don't expect them to repay you. If they waste it and five years later they need more help and you can do it in good faith without contributing to their problem, help them because they're real humans. They have warts and flaws just like you. That's where a citizen engaged. A citizen, his fundamental responsibility is to engage with his community and to be a good well, citizen. This is, I always ask leftists when they're telling me, oh, Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever. I always say, how has he affected you? How, you know, what right have you lost? What, how is your life constricted? What has gone on? And they always have this idea. Well, we go back to what we were talking about with Dennis about humanity. Well, humanity is suffering. And I think, like, are you suffering? Because if you're not suffering, then live your life and vote for your best life. Because if everybody votes for his best life, Mm -hmm. we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, somehow we'll be fine. It's so important that this includes if Donald Trump wins. Yeah. Because, like, in 2016, we voted Donald Trump in. And we were like, ah, yes, now we have delivered this stinging rebuke to the sort of (laughs) deep state and the woke system and all these things. And and all we have to do is just have Donald Trump be president, right? And all the stuff that we said about put not your faith in princes leading up to the election, we just completely forgot, you know? And in fact, all that happened is that, like, you know, the stony sleep was vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. Like, there there, there was a beast, like, that rose up in the last six months, basically, that just reasserted itself. We had no idea. We had no idea that we hadn't even begun to do the work. If Trump wins, we've got to start doing the work. So the work doesn't end. Right. And sometimes I see people who are in their 80s. My, my grandfather, uh, who, whom I love dearly, a, a true patriarch of my family, a real inspiration. He, he eighth grade education, starts a business in his 40s after making a, a very low workman's wage and raising seven kids. He starts a business and builds it into a success very late in life. He gets this, this amazing act. Uh, and over the last few weeks, he's he's suffered some real health crises. He's been hospitalized several, twice. He battled Parkinson's and diabetes and COVID-19 over the last few weeks. We, it was very touch and go. We weren't sure he had a future. Now, uh, thank God he's home and seems to be well recovered from his, his bout of COVID. I say all of this to say, as I watched him suffer over the last few weeks, it's been painful because I love him. Yeah. It's, there's also been a bit of inspiration in it. And I don't mean inspiration like because of how he's faced it. No, he's he's very old and you don't actually face things heroically. Death, old age, they're humiliations. By design, they're humiliations. The last thing that you will do as you leave this mortal coil is soil yourself. In the moment that your spirit leaves your body, you will defecate. As just God's way of saying, yes, death is the ultimate humiliation. All of your dignity is robbed from you. So it's not that my grandfather's been this inspiration going through this. It's it's that you get to watch and see, oh, God's not finished with you. Even now, there are things you must suffer. Suffer. Even now, there are things you must learn. Even now, there are things you must endure. And even now, there are things that you can teach the rest of us, not not by your wisdom, but by your experience, by yeah, watching your yeah, experience. Great, great. And that, 
that is how we should approach every day as Americans is saying, yeah, the battle is never over because God's not going to give us a victory. Mm-hmm. What he gives us is opportunity, opportunity again and again and again to be to learn, to grow, to try, to fail, to get back up and try. Again. Such a, it's such a great point. I have seen several people die. I've, I've been with people in the moments of their death, in the moments before their death. And the thing that always amazes me is that they're still them. And that, yeah. they, that what they have to say by being them continues to be said. And death means nothing. I mean, death, you know, death, when they say death, where's thy victory? That's it. That you remain who you are. And I believe you remain who you are even after death. But the fact that you are facing these things as yourself is everything you have to teach. We are all, you know, the left always says, well, you're performing masculinity. And I think you bet I am. Yeah. I want you to see what masculinity is. Doing it the in best I me. can. Yeah, I want you to see this flesh, this body, this failure, this miserable sinner. I want you to see masculinity in me. I want you to see all the good things in me, in this lousy, broken person. And that happens right up until the minute they cart you off. And I think that Speaking it's of carting a, them off, just okay, go no, ahead. Joe, Joe Biden has called a lid. <laughs> Wait, for tonight or for tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the night. He's called, he's called yeah. the lid for, for the evening. That's terrific. Uh, so there, there's that. Also, Spencer, I want to say thank you to you for joining us. Uh, if you're not listening to the young heretics, you're missing out and you oh, don't man. know nothing. Yeah. I know because every time I listen, I realize that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can fix that. <laughs> it's a truly fabulous podcast. Great insight. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're now going to go to the Daily Wire War Room where Alicia has updates for us. Hey, everyone. And I do have to say real quick, if President Trump, like he tweeted, comes on and starts to talk to the American people, we will totally cut away from our war room coverage right now to carry that for you live. So stay tuned. You won't miss the president. Everybody wants to hear what he's going to say. It's a very interesting night. Another interesting tidbit, as our very own Ian Howarth talked about earlier, um, there had been this this report that maybe Fox News had decided to retract that Arizona had gone to Biden. Fox News never retracted that, but they are the only network out there in the mainstream media network out there that called Arizona early. And we're going to talk to Cabot Phillips about what Fox News' own Katie Pavlich is saying about this. Well, we can now report that Kanye West has won Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. That has not happened. I'm just making sure all of you are still paying attention. No, we actually have a tweet coming out from Katie Pavlich at Fox. I'm just going to read it verbatim. She says, quote, I just spoke to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey's office. There are at least 900,000 votes outstanding that haven't been counted. About wow. half are Maricopa County. With every update, they say it's breaking significantly toward Trump two to one. Does not mean a Trump win, but that's still a lot of uncounted votes. So we're just putting that out there. That is mm-hmm. something that Katie Pavlich from Fox says happened when in her conversation with the governor's office. So people upset about it being called early still could go to Biden. But there are still a lot of votes out there from the data we're seeing uh, and, and that could be one reason we haven't seen Arizona called by other outlets. All right, so we do have a map update, so we're going to head on over here. And we still have Arizona grayed out, guys, because, of course, as we know, Fox yeah. News is the only outlet that has called this. And we just don't want to give it to anybody yeah. right now when you have a lot of other networks and a lot of other statisticians out there yeah. saying isn't 100%, especially because it was a it was a light red in 2016. But President Trump and Mike Pence were able to take Phoenix, which is right in the center of the state, the metropolitan part of the state um, that tends to skew more to the left, but they won it before. Could they win it again? So we're going to walk through the map here. This goes to the bigger states. Georgia here, President Trump jumped out to a big lead. New York Times projections getting up into the mid 80 percent that he would win. There was a huge voter turnout in DeKalb County, Fulton County as well around Atlanta. That has gone heavily towards Biden. The projections are now looking much better for Joe Biden 
in Georgia. North Carolina, much more of a toss-up. President Trump, again, jumped out to an early lead there. Projections were into the 90th percentile from the New York Times that he would win. The vote counts, again, have started to even out. I think you could call it a pretty clear 50-50 toss-up in North Carolina. Now, we spoke earlier about how Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, we might be waiting for a little bit. Their state officials reportedly telling Bloomberg News that, hey, some of our states, and Michigan specifically, you might have to wait till Friday. Wow. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, they're saying give us a few days. And it's not like it's a national election we've been planning for for four years or anything, but (laughs) I digress. So to give the viewers a feel for where we are, because in the next few days, you're going to be hearing a lot about Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, a breakdown of where we stand right now. In Wisconsin, President Trump leads 51.3 to 47.3 with 85% of the vote reporting. In Michigan, President Trump up 53.8 to Biden's 44.6 with 62% of the vote in. And real quick, Wayne County, which is the Detroit mecca, always goes blue has that reported yet? Always goes blue. We're still tracking just how much of the results are coming in. Okay. It does look like we're waiting for a pretty healthy amount of votes from Wayne County, as well as a good number of early votes, absentee votes as well. And finally, in Pennsylvania, President Trump is leading 56.6 to 42.2% with 64% in. These are the big three states. This is what everyone's going to be keeping their eye on. Right now, President Trump does hold commanding leads on paper It's just going to come down to what the voter turnout was in some of those more urban areas that many times are late to report and what happened with those early votes and absentee ballots. And the president, as he tweeted, thinks that he is doing very well and that it's just not getting covered. And he wants all of the votes to be counted. And he said he's going to be speaking to the American people soon. We'll be sure to have that for you and any other updates, guys. Elisha, thank you. And if you want to help keep our war room running and chugging for the next four years, we're going to invite you to become dailywire.com subscribers. Give us your measly $10, and we will continue to give you not only the kind of coverage we've given you for the last four years, but also uh, beginning now, the Candace Owens show. Candace announcing that she's moving with us to Nashville to bring you a show like no other that's ever happened in conservative new media. That's a show filmed in front of a live audience. The entire PragerU library, which we're pleased to be able to partner with PragerU to bring you now on our SVOD platform. Our new morning show, The Morning Wire, which is going to go head-to-head with The New York Times, The Daily, with NPRs up first. Uh, three investigative journalists who we're hiring. And as we announced, we've just acquired the rights to our first feature film. And we're in the process of developing our first scripted series to bring you in 2021. We are the replacement media. The media, no matter what happens in this election tonight, the media has gone all in for the left. And not just for Democrats, but for truly a radical revolutionary left whose utopianist ideal is to reframe the country. You can help us stop that. Become a member today. Dailywire.com. Click the subscribe button. 25% off if you use the promo code ELECTION. We could use the help, and we promise to deliver to you the value that you need in exchange for that. We're joined tonight now by my very good friend, one of the first people with whom I began to engage politically, and he was with us last year for some of the most uh, hilarious and drunken (laughs) Uh, <laughs> parts of our election coverage. Bill Whittle, you remember those halcyon days of 2016 when we thought uh, everything was so calm and history was over and it was all going to be smooth sailing and, and uh, uh, dandelions from here to the horizon. Well, let me begin by saying hello, Jeremy, and hello, Mike, and hello, Ben, and yeah. hello, Clay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 2016 felt like a roller coaster. Uh, now it's just nuts. I'll tell you how it feels right now out there, you know. Right now it feels like I am watching my, my beloved Florida Gators in a national championship game against Florida State. There's four minutes left in the fourth <laughs> quarter. 
were up by a safety. And uh, they have looked like they fumbled, fumbled the ball, but they've gone to the instant replay, and now the refs are looking in the picture. And, oh, the feed got cut. <laughs> That's where we are. It's just it's this it's this state of limbo, and this is this is the world that they structured. There was we all knew everybody knew coming into this that there was no way we're going to know this. There was no way that Americans were going to know a result of the election on election day. That was the design. That's right. And then we lawyer it up. Well, you know, Dick, Dick Morris just said uh, his, his analysis was Biden has fallen apart, meaning 300,000 votes behind in Michigan, 750,000 behind in Pennsylvania. But Dems and the media allies want to create the impression that there's no winner in this race so they can litigate it. And it looks like they'll just be reaffirming. Right. And that's where that's where we are. Right. So, so not- Trump is up by this enormous when I last checked, it was like 15 point lead in in Pennsylvania in any in any other election in American history, that would have been called still, four hours ago. They still haven't called Florida. Four, four hours ago. Right? There's one guy wandering around Florida. I don't know who I'll vote for. They haven't called it. And speaking of which, by the way, uh, tonight we can definitely say that we watched the destruction of whatever audience Fox News may have had left, you know. I mean, the commentary out there is just nonstop. It's brutal. It's, it's brutal. And they earned every second of it. You know, they earned every second of it. It's So we, we haven't actually been watching Fox. What What did they do? Well, they they waited till the Florida count got to 104 percent before yeah, they exactly. called Florida, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they called Arizona instantly for for um, Biden. I have to tell you, I started feeling good about the election by watching Young Turks and watching Senta uh, yeah. have <laughs> that kind of death march look. Yeah. And by the way, and this uh, I think this is really really important, really important because we're talking about the culture mm-hmm. and things changing on a fundamental level. I'm watching the Live Turks feed on the Live Turks channel, and 50 to one the comments are pro-Trump. 50 to 1. Huh. Wow. It's like, yeah. MAGA, MAGA, we're going we're to win, you know, we'll start crying for us. And, and, and we're seeing this everywhere. We're seeing, we're, we're seeing Republicans coming out of this Stockholm syndrome. When you have a Trump rally in Beverly Hills, yeah. Yeah. when you, when, when you hear a Biden bus is coming to Texas and we're going to meet that, it's like there's this open willingness to fight back. Yeah. For the yeah. first time in my memory. That has certainly never existed. That's never. right. That's right. That's right. That's no. a, and that's a, that's a Trump benefit. That is a Trump benefit. I will say this, Bill. You you know, you talk about Fox News falling apart. Obviously, we haven't been watching and can't speak to it. I think a lot of Americans still have cable so they can have Fox News. The average cable bill in America today is almost $271 a month. You may not know it, but every time you pay that $271 to the cable company, CNN is getting some of your money, even if you don't watch yep. them yep. because of carriage fees. MSNBC is getting some of your money, even if you don't watch them because of carriage fees. You are paying people who want to destroy you so that you can get Fox News, who may not want to destroy you, but certainly isn't telling it to you straight. They're certainly not giving you the information yeah. that you need. They're certainly not uh, giving you the kind of firepower that you need to be able to stand up against the woke left. Save yourself some money. Go become an all-access member of Daily Wire. Give us 20 bucks. Go over to The Blaze and get Louder with Crowder and Glenn Beck and Ali Stuckey and Lauren Chen. Give them 10 bucks. Uh, go sign up at BillWhittle.com. Give Bill 10 bucks. Make a $10 donation over to PragerU. You've spent $50 now. You can put $220 back into your pocket. And don't get me started on what happens if you stop paying for your kids' lousy college education <laughs> that won't even give them a job but will cost them their soul and cost you your family. That's going to cost you more than a Ferrari and your kids are going to be paying for it for the rest of their lives. Your family is going to be paying for it for the rest of your life. You have to stop funding the people who want to destroy you. Dailywire.com is the first place to start. BillWhittle.com, a good second place to go.
Why do you mention that? Because um, I put together a, a kind of a video like, you know, I think it's going to go well, but if it doesn't go well, then what do we do then? And and I've been thinking about this a lot. And and the analogy I made was to say that if if this were election to go against Trump, then the way I think about it is, is I look at I look at the country as like the Saturn V rocket because I look at everything like it's. A yes, you <laughs> but seriously, it's like when that 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 mission lasted 11000 minutes of which the first two minutes were the first stage. And once those first two minutes in the first stage is gone, it's nothing but dead weight. It's just dead weight. You cut it loose and it goes crashing back into the ocean. And that's how I feel about the country right now. I feel like I feel like the working half of the country is carrying all of this dead weight. It's carrying all of these all of these horrible uh, philosophies, all of these horrible schools, all of these horrible universities, all of this corrupt media, all of it. I feel like I feel like it's time just to cut that loose. And if you could, then then what that upper stage would do would be just accelerate like crazy and you just keep going. You know, it's just Hmm. dead weight. I'm almost at the point where it's like arguing this since we've been doing this, we've been doing this for a while. It's kind of like it's kind of like somebody's got a. a, Well, it's kind of like grabbing the the flag, the pennant at the at the back of the Titanic and and trying to hold it, you know, and tread water and stop that ship from going down. (laughs) And there comes a point when you have to really say to yourself, all right, look, this thing's going to the bottom. Now, the only question is, am I going with it or or am I going to let it go and, and let it go? And so what you said a minute ago about about our own schools and, and not paying people $100,000 a year to teach them how to hate you right. is is what I mean by letting go. I'm not talking about... You're not talking about letting go of the country. You're letting, no, you're talking, about letting go of the institutions I'm talking that are about, so corrupted. Yes, that's right. Cut it loose. We we finally have seen what it is. And, and, and by any reasonable election counting, Donald Trump won the election tonight, given the point spread he has in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania... But if he's reelected, I I would trade the border wall. I would trade new aircraft carriers. I would even trade getting the election system in place if I could get the Department of Justice breaking up big tech. If I could get that one thing from the second term, that's all I want. I'm with you. Because we know that the mainstream media is obsolete and dinosaurs. But when but when big tech, they're censoring the president right now. The the Hunter Biden laptop story is the is the Rubicon. That is the. That is the suppression of a yep. news story by big tech, and it may cost us the election. If it if it had been covered the way anything else had been covered, this would be a blowout. So, a blowout. I mean, I am not up enough on the breakdown of the mail-in ballots and the absentee ballots to, to say that Trump's lead right now in these swing states holds up because you have 67 percent of the vote in in Pennsylvania, 63 percent in in Michigan, 78 percent in in Wisconsin. I'm frankly not enough of a precinct level knower of the vote tally to say that Trump's lead would hold up there because early on, you know, there there was talk about how Joe Biden was going to walk away with Florida. So it right. really depends where there the was talk about Joe Biden walking away with Texas. Right. Exactly. Recently, so, yeah, so, today. so, so I, so I'll, you know, I'll wait to see what happens. The, I'll tell you what does scare me is that Pennsylvania's rules are not clear about what happens when a ballot comes in, not postmarked after the date of the election. Right. That scares the living hell out of me. Yes. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what's truly amazing. Yeah. Not to, you know, brag on, on Florida some more now that I live there, <laughs> but, but I will say that Florida's election system is actually excellent. We knew the result tonight. Because they know how to count their damned votes. Right. Okay, why is it yeah. that Florida, which was a laughing stock in 2000, knows how to count their damned votes, but nobody else knows how well, to count their damned votes? Well, that's actually why, right? Because they were a laughing stock in 2000, they've had to do the work. The okay, hard but it's not work. that hard. 
right? I mean, it's obviously doable. They had all the votes counted tonight in a battleground state that was expected to be extremely contentious, and they had it all counted, and they were done, right? And we know the result in Florida. So why is it such a grave ask for the American people to say to Pennsylvania or Wisconsin? For the same reason, it's been, it's for the same reason that YouTube, uh, doesn't publish clear terms and, and policies. The same reason that Facebook changes their rules continually. The same reason that that Twitter won't tell you their process for blacklisting someone or, or for for suspending someone. And if you get suspended, they won't tell you why you were suspended. If you get demonetized on YouTube, they won't tell you why you were demonetized. It's because the ambiguity allows people to be capricious. These states don't want to have clear rules because they want to be able to make up the rules when they need to step in and change a result. Right. So that's the only reason. Here's one good piece of news. So Phil, Philip Klein, who's the executive editor over at the Washington Examiner, he just tweeted that Fox says Milwaukee, so they expect to have returns in by 3 a.m., which is the last remaining big batch of Biden votes because that's Dane County, Madison, which is nearly all in. Trump right now has about 107,000 vote lead. If that holds after the Milwaukee dump, then he takes Wisconsin. Huh. So it is wow. possible that we wow. know by tomorrow morning. And if, if Trump takes Wisconsin, the chances are that he wins the election because right. him taking Wisconsin but not taking Pennsylvania right. would be a, a little bit We could bit truly difficult. wake up with an answer to our question. Right. It is possible that we wake up in the morning and we have a, a much clearer answer as to wow. where things wow. stand. A much different ending to the night than what we experienced when we were all together four years ago. We have a clip. Of what happened <laughs> when Bill Whittle was on the show four years ago. <laughs> with greatest, greatest this is, this in, is so much whiskey in. I was slumped over in my chair for hours. <laughs> and this is what happened. He's the president. He doesn't, he's not, he's not trying to get it anymore. You know what? You know what? I, all, all this, all this time, I was afraid that I was going to go over to Ben's point of view. He's come over to mine. Why is so funny? President Trump. President Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the president. You finally, Ben, ben you finally oh see, th- you finally oh. see things my way. That's, That's right. <laughs> That's like that old story of the Buddha, you know, teaching a sermon, you know. All he had to say was President Donald Trump. Should we learn the last time? It could have been President Hillary Clinton, and it wasn't. Well, that wouldn't have been funny. (laughs) I will say that I do feel deprived that we don't get a result tonight because of something like that. Because the fact that we're all together and we can't watch what would happen on MSNBC if they had to announce oh, that Trump had won re-election and it was the full-fledged opening of the arc at the end of Raiders and just <laughs> melting, eyeballs falling out, heads exploding. Well, they want everybody asleep. They want to do what they're going to do in the dead of night. They want us not to be able to watch it. Mm. This is this is how everything nefarious happens. There, you know, obviously history is twenty twenty, but there are hills that we should have stood and died on and we didn't. And the Al Franken uh, election where they yeah. show up with yeah. 200, yeah. 200 ballots, all for Franken in a 50-50 election. Statistician says the nearest chance of that, nearest whole number is zero. Yeah. But the one we should have, the one we should never, ever, ever have, have agreed to was the 2000 Florida election. The, the rules are very clear. In that state election in 2000 between Gore and Bush, you have a mechanical count of the vote. Bush won that count. 
Yep. If it's within a certain margin of error, you can do another mechanical count of the vote. And Bush won that count, too. And that should have been the end of it. And and the fact that we let that thing go on for weeks and months and they're holding up the chads and yep. they're doing this whole thing. That is where we should have said, look, a vote is not an opinion. It is an action that you have to take. Yep. It's not a difficult action. But if you don't actually take this action in the correct order and put it in the right box and mark the right things, then that's not our fault to try and figure out what you really wanted to say. And we didn't. We just let it go on and on and on. And from that moment forward is when the left started saying that George Bush's presidency was illegitimate. They did the same thing with Trump and they're going to do it now. Well, this is the George Soros philosophy, basically. It's not who votes, it's who counts the votes. Yeah. I mean, that, he's been placing the attorney generals. This guy... In, he tried it with in, Brexit. Uh, yeah. He uh, tried it, he lost with Brexit even the second time. I, it, it, it is amazing that he figured out that it doesn't have to do with reality. It has to do with the guys who announce reality. And he's funded them. He's funded the, the DAs who are allowing all these riots to take place. Almost all of them are George Soros. I can't believe that you're... billion with a B. Yeah. 34 billion... With a right. B. I can't believe Drew's spouting these anti-Semitic. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's it's too much. Too much. Mm. Benjamin. No, I, I just I, I will say that if Trump does end up losing narrowly, it is entirely due to the media. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So the election is already pre-stolen, right? When when the Hunter Biden laptop story is not only not covered, but but you cannot you cannot share the link with a friend then that is a stolen election. And that's also a pretty good definition of a monopoly. Because if I decided to call you and say, hey, you know, I think Trump's doing me and I find out that the telephone company has cut off my service because yep. they don't like my opinion that I'm sharing with you, then it's time to do something about about that monopoly. So, Bill, you, you'll remember, I can't remember the name of the Newsweek editor who I believe in 2008. Evan Thomas. Evan Thomas. Thank yes. you. Was it 2008? He said, no, it was it was 2004. 2004. Because he said in 2004 that that media bias was probably a 15 point swing, and I did a I did a, a video about that a, a few years later. I took the electoral map of the United States, uh, which would have been the the Obama election 2008, and I took 15 points and just swung them from one column to the other, just what the news media bias put into the map, and the Democrats carried D.C. and they carried Hawaii, and then. Uh, McCain wins 511 to yeah. nine. So if he was saying in 2004, when the media still had the veneer of objectivity, that the media was worth a 15 point swing in favor of the Democrats, what must it be now when they literally will just stop your ability to say things? But theoretically, it could be less because oh, there is fair. this movement against the, obviously what we're seeing is a movement of people disbelieving what the media is telling them. I mean, sure. how much can you lie before people start to say, well, you're lying. Yeah, you, you, you do know. also have to wonder, you know, you, you were asking you know, what the purpose of some of the polls are before. And I, I don't think that everybody is nefariously oriented in order to get Democrats elected. But if you were going to nefariously orient the polls in order to depress Republican turnout, what you would do is put out a bunch of push polls suggesting that Joe Biden was up 17 points That's in Wisconsin right. the week yeah. before the election. I don't think the Chinese created COVID-19 in a lab, but if they were going to, a disease that primarily kills people in the age demographic who vote for Trump and they give everyone the opportunity to shut down the American economy wouldn't be a bad start. I guess my thought on the pollsters, it's not that they have to be actively serious. It's that they're all so in the same bubble that they all think so exactly the same, that they all spend so much of their effort reinforcing one another that I don't think that they would even subject their own beliefs or their own 
polling processes to the kind of scrutiny that would be necessary to make them accurate or fair. So here's a question for you, Jeremy. What are the 2020 election, the COVID-19 pandemic and global warming have in common? All three of them have large majorities of people who believe the computer models over what they see with their own eyes. Mm. All three of them are, are the result of computer modeling, and so is, so is the projections, and so are the, are so are the polls. There are numbers of people out there who, if you tell them this number comes out of a computer, then they believe it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and when they say they follow the science, when you hear Democrats saying, oh, we're, we're the party that follows the science, you're not the party that follows the science. You're the party that follows the scientist. You're the party that follows the expert and the authority, but you're not the party that's following the data. And this reminds me of the classic joke about about liberal intellectuals, which is they say, well, yeah, sure, it works in practice, but will it work in theory? Does it work in theory? Yeah, it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely true and a great point that they, uh, you know, famously with with climate change. If their model says that on November 3rd, 2020, the the temperature in Los Angeles will be 93 degrees. And today is November 3rd, 2020, and they're in Los Angeles, and it's 87 degrees. They will not update their model. These are guys. Reality reality is wrong. These are guys that sit in a map room. They draw a map, and they got the coastline and the rivers. Then they go up to the bridge, and they look out the window, and a coastline is predicted there. And they see all of these cliffs, and they're predicting a, a, a river basin. And they look at the at the coastline, and they look at their map and say that the coastline must be wrong. Yeah. Right? And it's just that simple. And and that is a kind of a mental illness, but but it's real. And they really are the kind of people who say, well, if there's a disagreement between the atmosphere and the data, then the atmosphere is wrong. Yeah. If there's a disagreement between the poll numbers and the actual voting, then there's obviously actual voting. Well, this is actually the hallmark of the left, is that no matter what fails, the the underlying premise is still correct, right? And so under, this is why I do think that the polling... It's not that it's nefarious. I think there's probably some nefarious things that happen. It's not that I'm saying that it's all nefarious per se. It's that I'm saying that their system is so flawed that no matter how many times they fail, they have no incentive to correct it. Because to correct it would be to acknowledge that what they're wrong about is fundamental and not just around the fringes. Not just It's not something that can be tweaked. A couple, a couple of quick pieces of news. One, the White House press pool is going to be assembling in the East Room, so we should probably hear from the president, from the president. shortly. Uh, also, the uh, the Montana Senate race has been announced for Steve Daines, so Republicans Perfect. will, in nearly all probability, uh, retain the Senate. Um, because with Daines winning in Montana, you expect both Georgia races to go to the Republicans. Yeah. Uh, you expect that... Um, I mean, honestly, like, this is the first time I've ever rooted for Susan Collins, but Susan Collins retains her seat in yeah. Maine, and that is a major comeback because yeah. she was down five to seven yeah. points, and speaking, supposedly. Speaking of Georgia, let's not forget this is the second time we've vanquished that utter liberal contrivance, John, John Ossoff. That's Remember, true. they made a they big deal out of him. They poured all the, the money. The amount of money they poured into the Senate. I mean, the amount of money that the Lincoln Project blew. Those oh, grifters, yeah. my oh, God, I, I hope they enjoy, they I hope they enjoy, I hope they enjoy their yacht because <laughs> they're not going to get a lot of repeat business after this one. They're actually in the little dinghy that Mike Bloomberg tows behind his big yacht. Between <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Bloomberg dumping $100 million into Florida to get his ass kicked and them dumping $100 million into South Carolina so that Lindsey Graham of all people could kick their ass. Yeah, it's wonderful. And, and then Mitch McConnell beating Amy McGrath by 1 million points after yeah. cost $90 million into that race. And they just set their money on fire. In the Senate, it, it is it is pretty impressive. Georgia is still up for grabs, apparently. Um, yeah, that's a little distressing. That's a, that, that's that's it, it's a little too close to, for comfort there because the the late polling numbers are still coming in, um, particularly from Atlanta and some of the metro 
regions. Uh, and so if Trump were to lose Georgia, the election's over, essentially. I mean, if, if he loses Georgia, there's pretty much no way he can come back from losing Georgia and Arizona if he were to lose both of those. Um, if well, he, Arizona is still in play. It's- it, it is. He would have to. It, everything has to break for Trump to win Arizona. Uh, the only network that is called Arizona ret- remains Fox, I believe. I, I don't think anybody else is actually he's, called Arizona at this point. But he's up 65 percent in the votes that are still that are just now coming right, in. Right. The question is how many votes there are, and, votes and, there and, are and does it retain a day? He, I think he has to win 67 percent mm. of all outstanding votes, and it has to be over 900,000 of them. So I believe yeah. there are over 900,000 of them. The question is, is whether he comes in at 61 percent or at 67 percent. So yeah. it's it's a lot too close to call in Arizona, which uh, goes to show that. I mean, I, I like Martha McSally as a person, but you have to have a special kind of skill to lose both Senate in the course of uh, in the course of three to four years. Yeah, that's right. I want to take a few questions from our DailyWire.com members. That I, I keep saying they're the reason that the show has been free all night tonight, and that's the truth. Uh, we we typically reserve this kind of content, or at least large chunks of it, for our DailyWire.com members. But uh, tonight, uh, we felt that. Uh, that the kind of community we've built, they would want everyone to be able to participate in this show. We're grateful to them. So let's hear a few questions from them. Alicia. Yeah, and real quick. And real quick, guys, I just want to let you know that we're hearing from multiple White House press pool reporters that the president could be speaking any minute, probably hmm. in the next 10 minutes. So we'll try to get to as many member questions as possible. And we will definitely be going to the White House to hear from President Trump because he has said that he's going to make a big announcement and that he thinks that he's winning bigly. Uh, hmm. We shall see about that. So this question is for Andrew Clavin. How much voter fraud do you expect how, how much voter fraud do I expect? Voter fraud always comes in less than we fear it will, uh, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And in Pennsylvania, I'm genuinely worried. I think that they have genuinely put forward uh, an idea. You know, when the attorney general tweets that when the votes are counted, Biden will have won, that's suspect. And I, right. I think that um, Knowles is right that that gives uh, Trump a way forward in the courts. That's a good reason to sue. But I'm, I'm not expecting the kind of... I'm not personally expecting the kind of voter fraud that can turn an actual victory uh, into a defeat, except in Pennsylvania. I'm, I think mm. Pennsylvania has, has shown signs of being utterly corrupt. Uh, you know, there, it's worth pointing out in Pennsylvania, a local news affiliate there did an experiment early on with the uh, mail-in ballots, and they set up a dummy mailbox, and they sent in the mail-in ballots, and uh, they received two birthday cards to the mailbox, so obviously some wires got crossed there. But three, three of the hundred ballots went missing, three yeah. percent. More than enough to swing an election. That's just one news affiliate. But on top of all of the evidence, and it's pretty significant evidence, of of fraud and corruption there, that's a lot to be worried about. There are going to be a lot of lawsuits, by the way, in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. 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 And there should be. It's going to be crazy because essentially the governor of Pennsylvania decided unilaterally to change the rules. And the status quo ante, which is that they were all supposed to start processing the mail-in ballots at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning, but eight counties said they were going to wait until tomorrow morning to start processing all of these all of these ballots. And again, it is unclear by Pennsylvania by Pennsylvania process whether all of these things have to be postmarked or not. If they don't have to be postmarked, you literally have no way of knowing right, right that the, the ballots were legally cast before the election or if they were cast after the election. It's gonna end up back at the Supreme Court. And frankly John Roberts deserves it. He deserves every single bit of it because that jerk, John Roberts, he he's the one who turned down this case a week ago thinking that he could avoid all responsibility for ever having to rule on it if Donald Trump would just lose heavily, like the polls were saying. And now it'll end up back at the Supreme Court, and he's going to have to rule on it. 
And then we'll get the uh, the specter of the uh, legitimacy of the Supreme Court being called into question because John Roberts is a doofus. It damn well will be if he if he rules the wrong way. It will be called into question by me and by conservatives. <laughs> I, I love why, why is why, why is the court always so afraid of the left calling their legitimacy into question? How about we call their legitimacy into question when they make preposterous rulings? Because we won't change the court. They will. That's right. That's, right. That's, you know, you remember only a few weeks ago when the biggest scandal in the country was that Donald Trump was going to destroy the post office so that people could yeah. vote. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that that I haven't heard enough people talk about is that when you use mail-in ballots, you turn the federal government, you give the federal government a role in state elections because we don't, you know, people like to say, oh, Donald Trump lost a popular vote in 2016. There is no popular vote. There's no such thing as a national popular vote for president because we don't have a national election. If you're going to let sort of pure democracy add up everybody in the country, divide it by two and see who got the most votes, if that's how you wanted to come up with your president, you'd have to have a national standard for elections. But we have unbelievable diversity of standards in all of these different states because we have 50 unique, uh, unique elections. When you bring the post office in, you alter that and you give the incumbent president I'm not saying Trump did this. I'm actually speaking to the concern of the left. You give the incumbent president, who is the head of the post office, that's an executive agency, he's the chief executive of the country, you give him power to influence the... One. In other words, what I'm saying is that one of the reasons that America has resisted tyranny is because our government doesn't do much, it's set up not to do much, because of all these things we call checks and balances. And there is this... I don't think it was even intended, but there's this this, um, coincidental protection which is that the chief executive doesn't have any real power over the thing that elects him, which is 50 distinct presidential elections around the country. So what they've done by going to this mail-in ballot system is they've actually made it possible. The left always, it's always projection with the left. They're saying, oh, Trump's, they're, they're realizing that this is possible. So they're preemptively accusing this guy of doing it. This guy obviously isn't doing it. The next guy will. We will see that the president will use the post office to preserve his own power now that they've made the post office and made the, the number one mechanism for voting in the so country. Quick, quick note here, just on a slightly separate topic. You know, the, President Trump gets a, a lot of credit, and rightly so, for getting out crowds and sizes that people haven't seen and for the high levels of voter enthusiasm. We need a slow clap for Mitch McConnell because that dude is just ice. I mean, yes, yeah. yes, he is. Man, cocaine Mitch, he brings it. For, for Captain Establishment, who we were all ripping on back during the Tea Party days, and I think with some good reason, mm-hmm. uh, the, the fact is that Mitch McConnell is almost solely responsible for ramming through hundreds of good judges. And, and not only that, he is going to he's going to retain his majority leadership in the Senate tonight after all of this. And there were a bunch of races that were knife's edge, and he deployed the resources properly. That's he's right. Going to retain control and listen, of the it's worth saying, if, if Donald Trump loses the presidency, and Mitch McConnell retains the Senate, then truly Mitch McConnell will have prevented the left-wing revolution. Mm. And by the way, you, you can add Lindsey Graham to that. To That's that, right. Because That's you, have, you have Lindsey Graham, point one, point 1.0 and, and 2.0, and both of them were radicalized for freedom by the, um, by the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They both saw what was going on and were so outright disgusted by it that it kind of blew that kind of outer shell of, you know, kind of <laughs> rhino crust away. Like, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, like, okay, so you really are bad people, the great, the gentleman from the great state of whatever. You really are an actual tyrant, aren't you? And, and, and a character assassin. Yeah. And, and thank God for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, uh, Republicans did pick up governorships tonight. So Republicans ended up winning a few more governorships, which is really, really important. State legislatures did not go the wrong way, widely speaking, which is a very good thing. 
All of that is deeply important considering redistricting is coming in 2020. That's right. If that had not happened, that would be a big, big, big problem. Bad time to lose. Alicia, we have time for another question from a DailyWire.com member. Absolutely. And once again, if the president comes in, we'll be sure to go with it. Um, Ben, of course, last week you did a show about the resume or maybe lack of resume of Joe Biden and how he's been in politics for longer than you and I have been alive. So a member wants to know from you, uh, which what do you think the first 100 days of a Biden presidency would look like? At this point, not much. I mean, I think that, that if, if the Republicans maintain the Senate majority, it's going to be very difficult to think of what uh, a Biden presidency looks like in terms of major ambitions. He was planning, you know, immigration reform. He was planning Green New Deal. He was planning a giant COVID package. I think he proposes a giant COVID package. I don't think Mitch McConnell gives it to him. I think McConnell gives him pretty much what McConnell wants to give him. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think on immigration, he's not going to present a giant amnesty package. I, I think his agenda is basically stopped cold in its tracks. And what, you, what you will see is a resurgence of resurgence of the regulatory state. Right. One problem with the way that Trump has approached government, and listen, he didn't create this. Obama really created it. That when you rule by executive fiat, when you do everything through executive action, the next executive can just undo all of it. So a lot of the great victories of the Trump administration have been through EOs. And there will be real consequences to rolling those back. A lot of the reason that the economy has surged pre-COVID under, or pre-lockdowns, I don't like to blame COVID. COVID didn't shut down the economy. Right, right. People shut down the economy. Before the COVID uh, shutdowns, the economy was surging in part because of things that President Trump and his administration were doing at the executive level. Things that you don't hear about, cutting regulation, pulling back organizations like the EPA, getting out of the way of business. You know, the, the, I think you'll see Biden try to declare a national mask mandate by executive order. Yeah. I think that you will see yeah. Joe Biden try to re-engage with Iran and the Palestinian Authority. Yeah. But I think it's going to be not much of anything. And the, the good news about that is that I think that's going to radicalize the Democrats even further. That's the genius of the American system, right? You need the and the presidency if you're going to do real mischief, right? If you're really going to mess things up, you got to have all three. And what we come out of this with tonight is exactly like you said. It's like the, the, there is a circuit breaker in there now. Yeah. And and that keeps us from the worst of the worst. I, I would like to throw some pessimism on this, though, because <laughs> I think we're being too nice. Kind of to your point, Jeremy, uh, though I will defend the executive orders, but it's the same problem that you're recognizing, which is that we are essentially governed by the executive agencies, by the administrative state. And so my defense of executive orders is when it's the administrative agencies that are running the country – the only way to rein them in is through the executive orders, which then get overturned. The, pro- the, the problem is some system. other guy. The problem, so the, the problem is in that system. And there, there's no way really around that, because even when Congress passes laws, the laws mostly just empower the agencies to go right. do whatever they're going to do. Remember when Elon Musk um, said he's going to open that uh, Tesla factory, despite what the California Board of Health said, and he did it? Yeah. And you remember how they didn't arrest him? I'm convinced yeah. that the reason yep. they didn't arrest him was because Musk knew and they knew that they didn't have the legal authority to arrest him. That the whole mm-hmm. thing is essentially a kind of an intimidation game. Mm-hmm. And he called their bluff and and nothing happened to him. Yep. He's going to Texas is what's happened. Yep. To him. <laughs> but but they didn't. But they they didn't. It was such a high profile case that I think if they had the legal authority to, to mm. shut the place down, they, they would have. But they, they didn't. Yeah. And that's just means it's an opinion. But he, but he on can the part afford, of Gavin he can afford to fight them, too. Yeah. No, he can afford the legal. Um, yeah, by the way, the, the current House count is R's, R plus five in the House. Cool. Uh, Republicans picked up five seats in the House, which nobody really saw coming. There, wow, there were a yeah. bunch of yeah, that's a flippable surprise. seats, basically anything that was in flippable distance, Republicans flipped. I want to make a quick prediction about President Trump's speech. I predict that President Trump will have achieved a flag density background unlike anything. <laughs> 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 He'll be swimming. Donald Trump. 
always dive into them, more. right? Like he's going to dive, he's going to swim around <laughs> the flags. Know, like, but you know, I, I, great. I remember you talking about quite rightly how Republicans never understood the value of a background. Yes, Trump does not have that problem. No, he no, doesn't. no. Well, he, he understands TV. Yep. Right? I mean, we, we, we complained for years about his that's right. about Republican proof. inability to understand. It's right. social proof. There, if people are behind you smiling and applauding, no yep. matter how stupid or bad the idea is or how good it is, if people if you can see people nodding and agreeing, you are inclined to and, want to agree with. And them. if there some of them are, if not everybody is a white male, if some of them are black, some of them are women, right. you know, he got, he got all that. You you talked about this a million times yeah. before Trump did it. And he does. By the but, way, but watch, for, watch for the outrage to break out because Joe Biden already declared he thinks that he's going to win. Yeah. Right? He says, right. I think I'm going to win. And let's just let all the votes be counted. And so Trump is going to come out and say precisely the same thing, but he's going to add an implication that voter fraud might be in play, and they're going to lose their damned mind. What Biden said was, he said it's not over until all the votes are counted. And there's a big difference there. Well, that's true. Because because technically speaking, the, it's over when the polls close. But what Biden was setting up was he's setting up, no, no, it's not over until every vote is counted, which means that if Boston's. we find a yeah. van full of votes, uh-huh. then we got to count those two and... It's just going to be a bloody mess this week. It is going to be a bloody mess this week, unless we see bigger numbers in states like Wisconsin than we're than we have anticipated. It is possible you could wake up tomorrow, and we. Th- this is really the problem. Uh, and Bill, I- I've actually heard you talk about this for years. Republicans don't have to win; they have to win beyond the margin of cheating. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right? That's you, right. You actually have the to get fraud, one, two, three points ahead. So that, <laughs> and it's not looking real good for that right now. That's right, especially in Pennsylvania which is going to be the most important state, Although I think. Trump is like 15, what is he, 15% up right at this point? Uh, yeah, he's up about 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania right now. But we're waiting for every major metro area okay. in Pennsylvania yeah. to come in. So that's, yeah. that's I mean, why whole... everybody is not calling it yet. Yeah. Same thing in, in Michigan. He's up about 300,000 votes in Michigan right now, but they're still waiting on a bunch of votes. Uh, and Wisconsin, he is up currently about 112,000 votes. Um, but again, they're waiting for Milwaukee to come in. So if Milwaukee comes in and it ain't that heavy or Madison comes in and it ain't, I think they're still waiting on a little bit of Madison to come in. If he wins Wisconsin, then of course everything shifts again. So it's a, it's, right. a, it's a real seesaw out there really because of Arizona. And so, That's right. uh, you know, Mark Levin, I think rightly was ripping, uh, on Cindy McCain saying like you going like your personal animus. Yeah. Between the McCain family and yeah. the Trump family. Well, that's always been the McCain look, problem. And, and I, listen, I, at a certain point, you do have to say to Trump that the man was cutting off his nose despite his face in yeah, Arizona. When this whole thing started, there were two Republican senators in Arizona and a Republican governor. And by this point, there are two Democratic senators in Arizona and a Republican governor in Doug Ducey. He won in 2016 in the state. He's, he's presumably going to lose in Arizona in the state. I understand that, the, that Trump has personal animus issues. But, yeah. dude, yeah. dude, I mean, like, that would be no, two this, more Republican senators this, this is one of the and he'd be winning Arizona. It's one of the consequences of Donald Trump. It'll be a great irony if Donald Trump loses because of his treatment of because McCain. Because he crapped on John McCain. One of the worst things that Donald Trump did was his treatment of John McCain. Yeah. That doesn't justify what, the, what John McCain or the McCain family has done subsequently. John McCain essentially upheld Obamacare despite Donald Trump. Single-handedly. Yep. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, like Caesar, right? I mean, yeah. out on the floor. Yeah. But, but... You can be angry with John McCain for his behavior. That doesn't change that you should also be angry with Donald. No, I'm sorry, would you be mad at John McCain for his behavior? Yeah. You should also be mad at, John, at Donald Trump. You, know, you can't for not treat someone better, like that yeah, and then yeah. expect I mean, them to for, support for, you. For four years, I've been going on and saying, you know, you shouldn't be rude to people. And people yell at me and say, oh, well, Donald Trump has to be rude. I think, like, it's just not good politics. Yeah. But it's what he costs. Yeah. That's what he costs. Yeah. That's, how, that's, the, that's what Donald Trump costs. To have a guy who's who's got that kind of skin and that yeah. he's nope. going to come out in a You're few right. seconds and he's going to reframe the narrative 
from Joe Biden saying, if we keep counting votes, we think we're winning. Donald Trump's going to come out and say, no, they're stealing this election. And he's going to reframe the narrative. And no one else that I've ever seen on the Republican side has that kind of. It's a good it's a good point. It is the the tragic fact of Donald Trump that all his strengths are also weaknesses and all his weaknesses. Well, it's the sad tragedy of humans. Yeah, Yeah, maybe all their strengths. Yeah, but he kind of blows it up to Trumpian level. Very tragic flaw. It turns out that his thin skin nature with regard to John McCain and his constant ripping on him is what cost him the election. Yeah. Like, I, I agree, obviously. I mean, a lot of the things that, that, you know, we rip on are some of the things that allow him to blow off conventionalism and do right. incredible things, for yeah. sure. But, um, but the, like, at least in the interest of self-interest, you would think that at a certain point, you'd be like, just lay it off, dude. Just yeah. lay it off. But, the, 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 the classic historical example is uh, <laughs> people complaining to Lincoln that Grant was a drinker. And, and Lincoln says, exactly. I can't spare this man. He fights. I, I don't care if he's a drink. I do care if he's a drinker. As a matter of fact, I care a great deal that he's a drinker. And it's a real problem. But he's irreplaceable. Yeah. And, and, and I'll take the drinking if that's what no, I, Ulysses Grant costs me yeah. to win the war. Right. But, 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 but Donald Trump has to win the war. Correct. If yeah. Ulysses S. Grant gets drunk off his ass and loses Vicksburg, it's a different story. That's a different yeah. story. That's, a, that's exactly right. That's a good. And, and, you know, he would not be Donald Trump if he weren't like this. I mean, everything, everything good we get out of it, he, we yeah. get the bad stuff, too. Yeah. Well, so we're moments away from hearing from the president uh, from the White House. I, I'm hoping, uh, honestly, I, I do hope that he uses a little bit of measured language about stealing the election. I, Wait, I, hope Trump? He, I hope he pulls a Charles the second and disbands the Congress. You know? <laughs> I, at this point, I want to win. If baby. he does, he, he needs to have a staff. He does. He needs he Gandalf needs... staff is what he needs. <laughs> he needs to just put Gandalf staff down like that and have the top of it start glowing. And say, you, you shall, shall not. not count votes past the end of election day. That was my, my, my favorite Big uh, bubble. My comes favorite around Babylon B story was after he got uh, COVID and they said, uh, Trump the orange returns as Trump the white. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you guys probably didn't catch it, but earlier tonight, the Babylon Bee uh, tweeted out saying um, uh, election results may take uh, weeks to count due to the uh, due to the um, common core uh, new math. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they really are national treasures. Yeah, they, oh, they are great. They're the just getting better and better. Yeah, they're they're actually funny. Unlike the Daily Show, they put out a, a meme of Death Star blowing up Florida. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans putting that kind of stuff out. Violence considered violence and bad. I mean, like, not I, only I'm violence, old but to remember, I mean, like because I'm more than 20 seconds old. That's right. <laughs> if if someone were murdered in Florida, if if the Republicans had put that out, and someone were to be murdered in Florida yep. tomorrow Republicans. for any reason, I mean, yeah. like. So a bank robbery happens or a peaceful protest. Absolutely. Yes, that's so, true. The, so, like, the ultimate good news is, is that we're still in a 50-50 election with that kind of headwind, right? That's right. With the ability to say that anything that Donald Trump does and have, and have front page of the New York Times and 15 days of coverage on CNN and then anything that Biden does is buried, there's got to be a 40-point headwind that we're facing with big media and big tech. I'll bet it's 40 points and the country's still here. Yeah. And That's right. That that goes to show you how fundamentally sound this country is, that you can take this kind of a bias and still even be in the game. Yeah, but it shouldn't be there. You know, it's like we shouldn't just bow our heads and say, this is the way it is. We've got to, you know, when we talk about the replacement media, that's it. We've got to replace them. We've got to replace them. Yeah, we're not going to start winning by losing. That's right. And one of the problems that conservatives face is that we abandoned the culture entirely for the last 40 years, yep. and then we're shocked that the culture doesn't look like us anymore. Right. I thought we were a Christian nation. Yeah, we were. And then all the Christians decided not to be part of the nation. Yeah. Or I thought we were a conservative nation. Yeah, you you suck. I thought we loved America. I thought we taught our kids to love America. No, we haven't done that in a generation. Right. And you just gave up on it. And you call it fascism if we do. Yeah. 
And people literally right. call it fascism. If Trump says we're going to teach people about the founding of the country and we're going to do so in a patriotic way and we're going to hand out constitutions, the, ah, it's fascism. It's just like Nazi Germany. Yeah. The and, Pledge of Allegiance. And people, if only people, there was some kind of historical series about, like, great America <laughs> that, that people um, just didn't know about. You know, we should make that. That would be a good Better idea. do that with the Daily Wire. I think I could probably give those scripts for you by morning. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to access those, you should head on over to dailywire.com right now and you should subscribe. 25% off with code election. If you thought I was going to miss the chance, turn on that once more. Wrong you were. My father. Vamp on this until Trump comes up. My father taught me to never pass up a cheap shot. <laughs> and Ben's father taught him to never pass up a promo code. Yeah. And that's, hence our relative levels of success. One of us is significantly wealthier than the other. Yeah, that, that's that's right. the way that works right That's there. where the divide happened. Yeah. Well, it, what, uh, so which flag is Trump hiding behind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, where's Waldo with flags? They're going to part like, 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 yeah. like the beginning of a, of a movie premiere. And he's just going to walk out in the spotlight. It's going to be pitch black. And then he's going to sing... Play it again, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's late in the evening, people. If you hadn't re- realized, we're we definitely started to fade. I mean, about we're, we're four hours close ago. to the point where Wisconsin results become not all that far off, right? It's supposed to happen at three p.m. at three a.m. Eastern. It is now two twenty p.m. Yeah. Eastern also, time it's worth pointing out just for framing the president. You know, it is it is two seventeen there right now. He's a seventy-four-year-old right. man yeah. who somehow has a shocking amount of energy. But Joe Biden has been asleep for hours at this point. And uh, Donald Trump is going to give a speech at 2.30 in the morning. That's right. Donald Trump, who was hospitalized with COVID-19, something like, like four 45 weeks ago, is about to walk out on a stage at almost 3 o'clock in the morning. And listen, one thing about the president, we've, we've had one truly punctual president in my lifetime, and that's George W. Bush. Yeah. George, George W. Bush would never, he would consider it beneath his dignity as a man yeah. to let us sit here and look at a bunch of flags when he said that he was going to be on TV. No other president has been that way. Certainly not Barack Obama. Definitely not Donald Trump. Donald Trump will milk a moment. Yeah. And if he thinks that there's any chance he's going to be able to walk out and say that he won Wisconsin, he'll keep us staring at these flags for the next 42 <laughs> minutes. Well, you, oh, yeah. All you need to know about that is when Donald Trump goes out and does a rally, and I've covered a, a lot of these rallies, you'll hear the Lee Greenwood start playing, and then he walks out. So he... Every single second of that song, he'll he'll dance a little, he'll point, he'll walk up to the podium, he'll pull back from the podium. It's all he wants every second. And I think we're getting that tonight. Yeah. Georgia is incredibly tight right now. If uh, Fulton and DeKalb County come in at the same rate they have, and this is according to Jonathan Allen, uh, and uh, this is from uh, NBC News, uh, and uh, the percentage is accurate, Biden would then net 126,000 votes. The entire margin right now is 118,000 votes. Wow! So it is it is extremely tight uh, yeah. in in Georgia. That's probably the most troubling news. Yeah, for sure. I agree. On the table right now. You know, whatever happens tomorrow morning, well, you guys are going to have to get up and do your shows. Nice. I, I will not because. Yeah. Uh, well, I am the God King. Um, people need to understand that there is still going to be enormous amounts of breaking news tomorrow that yeah, needs to be yeah. covered. And the Daily Wire is going to be your place to get that coverage. We keep talking about being the replacement media. We keep talking about being your source for information. That's not we, we've announced the Candace Owens edition moving to Nashville with us. We've announced the PragerU library, announced the new morning show, announced the investigative journalists, uh, announced our foray into fiction. All of that is stuff that will happen over the next three to four months. But right now, as we speak, this is still a better place for you to get information than any existing media sources. They're going to wake up tomorrow morning and start lying to you. Come over to Daily Wire. We'll tell you the truth to the best of our ability, and we'll at least tell you our biases so that you have a filter by which uh, to weigh the things that we tell you. We're not trying to pull one over on you. We tell you exactly who we are, what we think, 
and how we assess these situations. You'll want to tune in first thing in the morning. Uh, Michael, what time do you go live? So it just occurred to me I might not be going to sleep tonight because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm live for, for the website at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, and then uh, that goes li- live for everybody else a little later. So if you're, a, if you're a Daily Wire member, you can watch that live on the website. That is 6.30 a.m., which means I will, whatever bags you see under my eyes now, they're going to be much deeper later. But the reason probably I won't be able to go to sleep is we are going to be getting breaking news all night long. We'll probably right. still be getting breaking news as my show starts tomorrow. So if anything, I'm thinking of my show tomorrow as an extension of this live stream <laughs> because you're going to get extraordinarily consequential information coming in. Uh, it might not even all be in by the end of the show. Yeah, that's right. And that'll be the same for all of the guys tomorrow morning. There'll be a lot of news. We're going to be bringing it all to you to the best of our uh, bill. I won't be, as I said, I will be sleeping and just <laughs> assuming that these guys are doing a good job. Uh, and then I'll wake up periodically to make sure that the coffers are full and that I still have power because these are the only things that matter to me. I'm I'm the grifter in the group. Yeah, these guys actually. You'll fluff your pillow of money on okay. your bed. Here we see the Trump family walking uh, into the briefing room. Like literally all of them. Yeah, every Trump. Where's Barron? He walks in. He like there's Lon- yeah, there's Lonnie crumbling. Trump. Yeah, the lesser known, the lesser known Trump son, <laughs> kind of shiftless. Yeah. You don't hear much about him. Yeah. No, no, no. He, we opened a Motel Eight for Lonnie, and he's only worth nine hundred grand. The black sheep. That's yeah. right. States, <laughs> Donald J. Trump. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please sit. Thank you. This is without question the latest news conference I've ever had. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And I want to thank the American people for their tremendous support. Millions and millions of people voted for us tonight. And uh, a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise that group of people. And we won't stand for it. We will not stand for it. I want to thank the First Lady, my entire family. And Vice President Pence, Mrs. Pence, for being with us all through this. And we were getting ready for a big celebration. We, we were winning everything, and all of a sudden it was just called off. The results tonight have been phenomenal, and we are getting ready. I mean, literally, we were just all set to get outside and just celebrate something that was so beautiful, so good, uh, such a vote, such a success. The citizens of this country have come out in record numbers. This is a record. There's never been anything like it to support our incredible movement. We won states that we weren't expected to win. Florida, we didn't win it. We won it by a lot. And we won... The great state of Ohio. We won Texas. We won Texas. 
We won Texas by 700,000 votes, and they don't even include it in the tabulations. It's also clear that we have won Georgia. We're up by 2.5 percent or 117,000 votes with only 7 percent left. They're never going to catch us. They can't catch us. Likewise, we've clearly won North Carolina, where we're up 1.4 percent or 77,000 votes with only approximately 5 percent left. They can't catch us. We also, uh, if you look and you see uh, Arizona, we have a lot of life in that. And somebody said, somebody declared that it was a victory for us. And maybe it will be. I mean, that's possible. But certainly there were a lot of votes out there that we could get because we're now just coming into what they call Trump territory. I don't know what you call it, but these were friendly Trump voters. And that could be overturned. The gentleman that called it, I watched tonight. He said, well, we think it's fairly unlikely that he could catch. Well, fairly unlikely. (laughs) And we don't even need it. We don't need that. That was just a state that if we would have gotten it, it would have been nice, Arizona. But there's a possibility, maybe even a good possibility. In fact, since I saw that originally, it's been changed and the numbers have substantially come down just in a small amount of votes. So we want that obviously to stay in play. But most importantly, we're winning Pennsylvania by a tremendous amount of votes. We're We're up 600. Think of this. Think of this. Think of this. We're up 690,000 votes in Pennsylvania. 690,000. These aren't even close. It's not like, oh, it's close. With 64% of the vote in, it's going to be almost impossible to catch. And we're coming into good Pennsylvania areas where they happen to like your president. I mean, it's like, so we'll probably expand that. Uh, we're winning Michigan. By, I'll tell you, I looked at the numbers. I said, whoa. I looked, I said, wow, that's a lot. By almost 300,000 votes and 65% of the vote is in. And we're winning Wisconsin. And I said, we're winning. We don't need all of them. We need, because when you add Texas in, which wasn't added, I spoke with the really wonderful governor of Texas just a little while ago. And Greg Abbott, he said, uh, congratulations. He called me to congratulate me on winning Texas. I mean, we won Texas. I don't think they finished quite the tabulation, but there's no way. And uh, it was almost complete. But he congratulated me. Then he said, by the way, what's going on? I've never seen anything like this. Can I tell you what? Nobody has. So we won by 107,000 votes with 81% of the vote. That's Michigan. So when you take those three states in particular and you take all of the others, I mean, we have, we have so many. We had such a big night. You just take a look at all of these states that we've won tonight. And then you take a look at the kind of margins that we've won them by. 
And, and all of a sudden, it's not like we're up 12 votes and we have 60% left. We won states, and all of a sudden, I said, what happened to the election? It's off. And we have all these announcers saying, what happened? And then they said, oh, because you know what happened? They knew they couldn't win, so they said, let's go to court. And did I predict this, Newt? Did I say this? I've been saying this from the day I heard they were going to send out tens of millions of ballots. I said exactly because either they were going to win or if they didn't win, they'll take us to court. So Florida was a tremendous victory, 377,000. Texas, as we said. Ohio. Think of this. Ohio, a tremendous state, a big state. I love Ohio. We won by 8.1%, 461,000. Think of it. Almost 500,000 votes. North Carolina, big victory with North Carolina. And so we won there. We lead by 76,000 votes with almost nothing left. And all of a sudden, everything just stopped. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. Okay? It's, it's a very sad, it's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you. And I want to thank all of our support. I want to thank all of the people that worked with us. And uh, Mr. Vice President, say a few words, please. Please. Thank you, Mr. President. I want to join you in, in thanking more than 60 million Americans who have already cast their vote for four more years for President Donald Trump in the White House. And while the votes continue to be counted, uh, we're going to remain vigilant, as the President said. Uh, the right to vote has been at the center of our democracy since the founding of this nation, and we're going to protect the integrity of the vote. But I really believe with all of my heart, with the extraordinary margins, Mr. President, that you've inspired in the states that you just described uh, and the way that you launched this movement across the country to make America great again, uh, I truly do believe, as you do, that we are on the road to victory and we will make America great again, again. Thank you, Mr. President. Yeah, no, he's always been.
There you have it, the president and vice president Mike Pence making their remarks. President Trump saying, as far as I'm concerned, we've already won it. It will be the only headline that you read when you wake up tomorrow. Uh, every newspaper in the country is now you know, furiously rejiggering their front page so that they can talk about the red mirage and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Google. I am certain before any of us are asleep tonight, we'll already be fact-checking the president, censoring the president, saying that, uh, I mean, they, look, they, they told us this was going to happen. They, they, we don't have to guess what's going to happen. All of the major social networks and media organizations said they would not allow someone to say what President Trump just said yep. tonight. Michael, what do you think is going to happen? I think the left is cheating. I think they've been cheating since 2016. I think they're obviously cheating now. I think they're cheating by changing the rules. I think they're cha- cheating by not continuing to count the ballots overnight. I think they're cheating in court. And I think they're cheating with crooked elected officials like the attorney general of Pennsylvania who called the election for Biden before Election Day even. And I think it is a damn fine thing that the president is standing up to it. Uh, he He said something tonight that... I think a lot of people are going to say it was extreme. He shouldn't have gone that far. He said, uh, I think we're going to win as far as I'm concerned, we already have. That that was where it went far, right? Because he's saying, as far as I'm concerned, we've already won this race. That is the kind of extreme rhetoric that you're not going to get from Mitt Romney. You're not going to get it from John McCain. You didn't get it from Mike Pence afterward. That makes people uncomfortable. It is the evidence, it is the, maybe it's the negative thing, but it's also the positive thing about Trump, that he is a fighter, he is going to, going to go to court. I don't think he said anything there about ever ever violating the law or cheating or doing anything. But Michael, didn't the left, they set up the president for months Yes. for this very moment. First by saying he's going to, he's definitely going to win on election night, but that's only going to be part of the story. They that, did. That, that narrative's been in play. And he will not concede the election. Yep. And so what happened, exactly what they predicted, election night, uh, you know, here he is doing very well. They pushed pause on the voting. Essentially, they prepared us to see the red mirage mm-hmm. begin to fade over the coming hours. And the president did not concede and, in fact, said he's going to fight right. to the end. Ben, what's your take? Okay, so Mike Pence said what you're supposed to say, which is the exact same thing that Biden said, right, which is we think we're on the road to victory, and when all the votes are counted, then the votes will be counted. And, you know, you, he could have left open the possibility that litigation would be necessary if voter fraud was detected or suspected, right? I mean, there's a responsible way to do this. I'm sorry, but it is deeply irresponsible for the president of the United States to declare in the middle of an election where not even close to all the votes have been counted in major swing states that he's already won the election and that it's a major fraud on the American people otherwise. I'm sorry. But, but the question is irresponsible for him to say that as it is for the AG of Pennsylvania to say that. The question is what votes way. are going to be counted. The question is, in Pennsylvania, are they going to invent a bunch of votes because they don't even need to and be And if there's evidence that a bunch of votes are invented, then it'll end up in court. But to preemptively declare fraud before any of those votes have been counted, to declare that he's already won the election when 60 percent of the, when he says things like, I'm up by 100,000 votes in Michigan and 60 percent of the vote has been counted or 65 percent of the vote. Is, so there's no way that I could lose the state. Are you kidding me? Of course, there's a way you could lose the state. You can just count the rest of the votes. Okay, if we had taken that logic in in Florida, he would have lost Florida. If we taken that logic in Texas, we would have lost Texas. That's not the way this works. He's saying in Arizona, we need to wait until every single vote is counted. He's exactly right about Arizona. You can't then say, okay, we're not going to wait until every vote is counted in legally legally counted, right? The ones that we all agree they have to be legally cast. That means none of this crap where you find a a box of ballots that are filled, you know, two days late with no postmarks. That is well-deserving of any sort of lawsuit he wants to bring. That is well-deserving of every screech that he can bring to bear. But you can't preemptively declare 
that the that this vote is a fraud on the American people before there's evidence that that has happened. Well, I, nor can you declare I'll, that you've preemptively won the election before the election is won. I'll push back just a little bit, Ben, because generally you and I see eye to eye on these things. There is a fraud being perpetrated, though. The, to Michael's point, the fraud has been going on, well, for four years, but certainly the fraud has been going on for several months. The left has been, in a very sophisticated way, creating this exact moment. And by pushing pause in some of these states yeah. on the vote counting overnight, what they are essentially saying is we we don't want the count to end before our opportunity to cheat Bingo. Uh, begins. Bingo. In other words, we, we got to send everybody home so that if more votes need to come, if more ballots need to come in, there's no way to read that other than an opportunity for cheating. Well, then you he- might say you might say they're not going to cheat or you might say there's no evidence that they have cheated. You might it might even be factually true that they don't cheat, but they are giving themselves room to cheat. Okay, that that that's all possible. And what he could easily say is they shouldn't have paused the voting. And we have our lawyers on the ground in all of these states making sure there will be no cheating. We are ready to file lawsuits if we detect the first sign of voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Right. That is all perfectly within bounds to declare himself the preemptive victor of an election in which half the votes have not yet been counted in any of the swing states he needs to win. And remember, if he loses Arizona, which it looks like he's going to, he doesn't just need to win Pennsylvania. He needs to win Pennsylvania and Wisconsin or Pennsylvania and Michigan. Right. Right. I mean, George, and when he says that they I mean, I mean putting aside the fact that he, he preemptively declared that, declared that he'd won Georgia, he may very well win Georgia. But Georgia is very close at this point. Yeah. Like, I just don't I don't like this stuff. I would be on. I, I spent half my show today ripping up the Pennsylvania AG for saying the exact same thing. Well, I think there is a Trump's distinction, which is that the Pennsylvania AG actually has authority in the Pennsylvania election. And Donald Trump election. actually doesn't have yeah, any and, authority over. And the and and the, the, the Pennsylvania, uh, the, the AG saying before the even votes started to be counting. The thing that Donald Trump uh, did in this speech is he not is, is he not. He not only just made the case, he quantified it. He yeah. quantified yep. large, significant leads. And and my take on this is different than yours, Ben. My take is that is that he is saying that the fraud occurred when they stopped the counting, period. Yes. Yep. That's when it occurred. And there's no question that whatever happened to stop the counting happened because Donald Trump had commanding leads in all of these states. Now, if you're right. And Donald Trump actually could have lost those states. Let's just say that God's counting the votes and we get an actual count for once. Then you okay? So maybe Trump did lose these states, but it's the stopping of the counting that that's the fraud, and yeah. it's the stopping of the counting in the same way that you throw a circuit breaker when the market starts to crash. Yeah. Because what it does is it is it takes away, it allows Biden to establish the narrative, and I think what Trump did was he established the counter narrative, and I think he did it right up front. Yeah. And I am tired of our side having to say constantly, "I'm with you about the about the about the." The politicians making these kind of claims. I'm 100% with you on that. But there comes a point when you have to say that if you are going to be the victim of a fraud mm, yeah. and you don't say I'm a victim of fraud right now, right now, then the story will be set in stone. The sooner he makes that claim, the sooner. And I want him to win, right? I, I, mean, I endorse him. him. I, I want, want him to win. win. I want all, I want him to win. I, what I, what I don't want is a situation in which either he wins and he has he has preemptively lessened his own victory by doing this, or he loses. And then everybody on our side of the aisle who wanted him to win believes without proper evidence that the, that the election is false and wrong. By the way, he also happened to, just as a matter of PR, step on the fact that they retained the Senate and they won additional House seats. Right. Why is he, why is he well, downplaying? Except, except that for Donald Trump, again, we've talked about his, his flaws and his virtues tonight. One of his fundamental flaws 
is Donald Trump doesn't care if Republicans retain the Senate, if Donald Trump doesn't retain the presidency. He is not wired to think that way. Donald Trump doesn't think he's not a self-sacrificial figure. The, Donald Trump sees the entire election as, a, as about Donald Trump. That's how Donald Trump sees the world. He sees buildings with his name on it and he sees buildings without his name on it that his name could one day be on. Right. So I think I think what I would say is I don't like the president saying as far as he's concerned, he's won. I think that that's the overstep. I think that I agree with Bill and Michael that to say that a fraud is happening right now when you stop counting the vote in states where he is ahead. I actually do believe that that's a fraud. It's a fraud. It may not be stealing the election, but it is a kind of fraud. It's giving the opportunity for capriciousness. you're, You're throwing the breaker on a collapsing stock market thing is accurate. Something could happen in a collapsing stock market organically to stop the collapse. But they don't they're not giving that thing the opportunity to play out. They're saying. Stop everything. I just have a question. What is, like, I'm perfectly willing to say that that may in fact be fraud. I'm not willing to say that that is in and of itself fraud. I mean, okay. what, what are they, what are they doing? Like, I, I need some evidence of what's actually When has happened. that ever happened? Pennsylvania has new laws with, for this cycle. They've got the whole, let's keep on voting until we get right. to the top. So put Pennsylvania aside. I agree. That should, that should, be, should be a lawsuit there immediately, right. of course. But. The, the lead he had in those in those other states was a significant lead, and it was an ongoing lead. So why did they stop counting? Where all have they stopped counting? Why? So why don't I, they know? Because every single election that is I've ever seen, certainly in this country, it may take two or three o'clock in the morning until they count the votes, but they keep counting until they get a number. So number one, why did they stop? And more importantly, I think, is how do they have the power to stop and get away with it? In other words, they were able to throw that circuit breaker on this election and somehow they got away with it. And 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 how does that happen? Andrew? Well, I think Ben is speaking in a universe that I recognize as, as the moral universe. He's saying something that is absolutely true, right and true. Unfortunately, we're not living in that universe. We're living <laughs> in a universe of narrative in which one side controls the narrative completely and has been using that narrative for weeks, if not longer, to set up a system whereby they could steal the election and Donald Trump's protests would seem to be the moral error. And so right. Donald Trump, as he always does, because he's tone deaf to it, he doesn't care about it, is ignoring that narrative and setting a narrative of his own. You know, I have to say that that's been pretty effective for the last four years. It bothers me, too. It bothers me what he just This is the said, issue, though. Because, no, it, it bothers me what he just said. But he's a voice alone. He is a man alone against an incredible machine. In, wait, hold on, hold on. In what world is he a man alone? Oh, and, and wait, wait, hold on. We all spend our lives defending against the lie. Every one of us in this room spends our, our entire life defending against the lies that they are telling. And if you're telling me that there's not one of us who'd be out there screaming with him from the top of the building about voter fraud in Pennsylvania when it is evidenced. I, I've literally said that he should have said in that speech, if there is evidence of voter fraud, we have lawyers on the ground in every state to make sure that this fraud does not does no, not does as, not do this. I want to, again. Always, I want always, to see. As always, I wish Trump were that guy. I wish he had the way of framing things in, with that incredible strategy. He doesn't. He he's a hammer, but he's a hammer up against a very big nail. But the, and they, you know, they they really have worked this, and they have the power to work it. We we don't have the power to shape the narrative the way they do yet. And and so he is fighting back against that narrative. Does he do it clumsily? Does he do it? arrogantly and wrongly. Yeah, okay, but but you can't discount that narrative. Listen, I, listen, as I, a moral as a moral entity, I, you can't discount that narrative. I'm on his I want him to fight back I understand. against that narrative. But we all want him to fight back against you that narrative. I want him to do it in a way that's I, I, not him. I, I also <laughs> well no, I, I also want him to do it in a way 
that doesn't set the predicate for the next democratic narrative, which is going to be that if there's right. violence in the cities, they now blame him for the violence. Well, this, 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 is, this is the, this is the biggest potential danger to the president tonight, is that the left has been setting up. The left has Trump's number right now. They've known for weeks what he would do in this moment. Mm-hmm. And they started creating. You say he's owning the narrative right now. I'm not Maybe. saying he's owning the narrative. I'm saying he's fighting the narrative with fight, the narrative. But yeah. they 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 baited him, I think, into making this statement. This is what he just said is what they are the most prepared for yeah. him to have said. Yeah. And that's the danger. I can't I, I want to be careful about being factually accurate. I'm not seeing what states have paused the voting. I see some chatter about paused voting. The president definitely implied, implied pause voting. Who has actually paused their voting? Have we seen these states called? Well, we the, only not state, the only state that should not be called sometime called. tonight is Pennsylvania because of this insane ruling. But sure. every other didn't, state. Didn't he, didn't he call for the, the, the voting to not be counted yet? He said, keep voting and keep counting the votes in Arizona, but we need to stop what's going on in, in the blue states, didn't he? No, he the said, keep state. counting. He said, he said, keep counting the votes. He want, he, that's not inconsistent. He, if, if you right. kept counting the votes according to his lead and his trends in Michigan and Pennsylvania and, and Wisconsin, then he is the next president or he is mm. the president again. I'm not, I'm actually not sure if that's true. We Maybe have to not, count the votes but, to know. But, but what he's, he's saying, saying, what he's saying is quit votes. finding votes. He's, what he was very explicit about is keep counting votes. Don't keep yeah, accepting yeah. votes. Right, right. New vote. There should not be new ballots Correct. coming into the system. Which I, I think is actually accurate. I don't think new ballots should be coming into the system. So, so Ben, the, the, I have enormous respect for you, and this is this is a this is a genuinely serious issue, and I don't know the answer to it. But here's what it comes down to for me: when when American Marines first faced the Japanese in Guadalcanal, they fought them more or less fairly, the way they fought every other war, and the way they fought even with the Wehrmacht in Germany. But when they found out that Japanese would would wave a surrender flag and then they would go and take the surrender and then they'd machine gun these guys down. Or somebody who's calling for a corpsman has a, a Japanese soldier's got a, a grenade and, and explodes and takes three people out. Then the Marines have to make a decision. And that decision is, do we fight on their level or do we lose? And And that is the issue. And I don't have a simple answer for that, but there does... But the question is simply this. If you are fighting a dishonorable opponent and you decide that you're going to fight honorably, and that means that by fighting honorably, you lose the cause, then evil takes over. I just don't know what about the statement fights the cause is my issue, meaning that it, having lawyers file lawsuits, I'm all for having people there to make sure that the fraud doesn't occur. I'm all for I, I actually generally agree with this. I think that the president's statement was not on the whole useful. I think that the left baited him into a statement and he gave it to them. I think that he there are aspects of the speech that were very strong. Uh, I think there are a few places where he overstepped and played right into the hands of Jack Dorsey. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next few minutes we see for the first time the president actually gets suspended from yeah. some of these social carte blanche from some of these social platforms because he just he just crossed the red line that they've been setting up for him uh, for the last several weeks. The, let's put aside sometime. Listen. We, we often dis- disagree about the president's tone and tenor. Let's actually talk about what's going to happen next. Where is this going? What are we about to see take place? Yeah, the, 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 the big line, by the way, there is not the stuff where he says, I want all voting to stop. I think that we all agree here that the media is going to take that out of context and they're going to use that to suggest that he actually wants people not to have their ballots legally counted. What he means is don't keep counting ballots after they, they're, if they're, they're, they're illegally cast, if yeah, they, yeah. if they arrive at right. four o'clock in the morning, then that's past the, the, the deadline. I get that. It's the frankly we did win the election. 
That is the, yeah, that that's the one problem. I didn't like. No, I, I agree with that. Well, he said, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, he that's an important qualifier. It is. That's an important qualifier. When has Trump ever been responsible in doing this? The only thing that, that does always come back, it always comes back to me. You know, Trump drives me crazy this way. He does. He does. He <laughs> yeah. says these things, and I just want to, like, shake him and say, no, that's not the way you put that. But I understand that he is up against this powerful narrative that is set up by by corporations so huge with such reach that he is and, and by the way jo- joe biden didn't need to say as far as i'm concerned we've won the election because the entire establishment yeah, that's, that that's, works for that's, joe biden is saying it for him and will be saying it for him and has been saying it for him for weeks and has been and has already been saying yeah, it for him yeah, for weeks and, and, and so, listen i i and Again, I get all that, and I also get that Hillary Clinton spent four years claiming that she won an election she lost, it's, it's and Stacey Abrams is governor of Georgia, yeah, yeah, right, and all yes. that, right? So when it comes I, I will to, say when it comes to hearing about election respect from the Democrats, that I'm not willing to hear. Uh, yeah. but, but I, I will say that, that one of the worst things that could happen, and it is a real possibility, is that if Donald Trump loses, and if he kind of pulls the Hillary Clinton and spends the next four years uh, questioning the legitimacy of, of the election. Which he'll almost certainly do. Then there is no one left who actually believes in the system because the left rejects the system. They want to remake the system. They say that the system is fundamentally flawed. If the right can't, if the right doesn't believe in the system anymore, we're at a true crisis as a country. We're going to go to the Daily Wire war room and hear from Alicia Krauss and the gang down there for a moment. Hey guys, we are wrapping up the night. I have been here, I think, for like 12 hours. It's been a lot of fun. And for some final consensus on what's happening on social media, I'm going to toss it over to Cassie Dillon. So right now on social media, everyone is talking about the speech that Trump just gave. For his ultra supporters, it really energized them. It gave them some confidence. But in his non-supporter group, they're very angry about it. Uh, People are taking quotes out of it. They're saying that it was wrong with what happened. Um, some people are saying that it's wrong, that he'll, it'll go to the Supreme Court. One person said this is bad. So there's a lot of different messages coming out around his speech. Seems pretty partisan, uh, which is how most of his speeches go. So we'll see what happens. We're going to have to keep an eye on social media for the next 24 hours, it looks like, to really know what people are thinking about what's going on. So I'm going to toss it back over to you guys to close out the night. All right. And, of course, we have the war room A-team? I think we can call ourselves the A-team. It's been a lot of fun. We've covered a lot of information. We're still waiting on a lot of information to come in. Editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire, Bickley, what happened? Could it have ended any other way by actually not ending? So it's not over. It's still going. Uh, There's still results to come in. Um, You know, we look at it. Look, America's going to sleep. What's, What's the situation? Trump... We said he had to win seven of the 12 battleground states. Looks like he's got five of them. Pennsylvania, he's way ahead in. He's right about that. Can he possibly lose it? Statistically, yes, he could, he could lose it. So it is, it is possible both, both candidates have an argument. Arizona appears like he probably lost it. So we had talked about that with a a different scenario or a second scenario took into account an Arizona loss. Hmm. Can he win with Arizona without Arizona? Absolutely. He can win. Um, if he won in Wisconsin, which he's performing still pretty well, again, could he lose when all the counts in? Yes, of course he could. A few hours from now, we're we're told that more of the counts coming in, and just no one can handle staying up that late. Um, so we'll find out more about Wisconsin. We'll probably wake up tomorrow morning and know a little bit more about Wisconsin. And by but tomorrow morning, you mean like in a few minutes? It is tomorrow. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't even know what time it is. I'm so mixed up on time zones. Um, 
We also, you know, Pennsylvania, this is, we knew this was going to be a problematic state. We knew both, both candidates focus, focusing on it big time, and especially with the late count allowed for up to three days. A lot of people are talking about, look, it's, it, we might not know till Friday. Let's hope that's not the case, but it, it might be the case. So, look, there's lots to, to continue to tune in for. Uh, there's lots to come. And I think both candidates have made really clear. They're not giving an inch. Yeah. And Neither is going to give an inch. So this is going to go all the way. Every last vote, every last legal argument, that's, what, that's what's coming in the next few days. And one of the things that we've been talking about throughout the night with you guys in here in the war room is the media narrative of what's uh-huh. happening, the too close to call, or not even calling actual states that Trump, Pence won, or even Biden, Harris won. And Ian, this is something earlier that uh-huh. you spoke about. You thought that maybe 2020 would be a consensus and we would be able to have a consensus on the media. And is this election a media, a referendum on the media? As of now, where does that sit? Yeah, so really this election is obviously very politically based. It's politics. But a big part of it is also a cultural referendum. And Trump is an entirely cultural figure. And so we've had four years where the media have basically lied to us. Like lied to our face, told us not to believe our own lying eyes. They've told us that burning cities are just the result of peaceful protests. It's been time after time after time where they're clearly just pushing Democrat narratives. This was our chance as conservatives to reject that, to make a very, very clear statement that the media and Biden are not really desired as representatives. The problem with this outcome Mm -hmm. is it creates a delay, it creates time for the adrenaline like we're all feeling right now to fade, and for the media to calm it down and then just redirect the narrative to really whatever it needs to be. Like, this needed to be definitive, to be a definitive um, indictment of their behavior. And the lack of definition is really going to, I think, make that easy for them. They're going to get away with it, is my my real concern. Okay, and then speaking of that narrative, what are you walking away with tonight, Cabot? I mean, we also didn't see the blue wave. We've been talking all night long about these polls that had Biden and Harris up a couple digits. Um, Not quite double digits, but pretty significant beyond the margin of error ended up being wrong, and things aren't so, so bad for the GOP in the House and the Senate? Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of certainty right now in the presidential race, but there is certainty in one thing, and that's the narrative of a blue wave did not happen. We were assured from President Trump's first day in office there will be a huge blowback. The American people, once they have a chance to go back, they'll show that this was a terrible mistake they made. That simply did not happen. And the clearest evidence of that beyond how close the presidential race is is the Senate. The Republicans are looking like they're going to end when all is said and done. Once we got runoff elections in Georgia, that's going to be done in January. But when all is said and done, we're probably looking at 52 majority for Republicans in the Senate. The big takeaway there, if Joe Biden does win and if court packing becomes a serious policy proposition, it's going to be very difficult to get that done with the Senate now in Republican control. That's something that if people are still uneasy, conservatives uneasy about what's happening with Trump, they can go to bed knowing that they've got Mitch McConnell standing guard, if, if, if you will, on his, uh, well, I'm not, I was going to make a cocaine Mitch joke. I'm not going to make that. It's, it's late in the night. I've got so many jokes in my head. But I think that's the main takeaway. And the second takeaway Ian brought up is just the way that the media, this is a repudiation of the media. This is people seeing, wait a second, I have been lied to. I've been misled. For all the Democrat talk of defund the police, defund the media. For the American people at home who are mad about what the media has been preaching them, 
you get the media you pay for. People uh-huh. are paying for that media. That's why the whole night I've been thinking, come to the Daily Wire. <laughs> We're not going to push you through all of that. Defund the media. Come join our team. That's where it's at right here. Awesome. It's a shameless I- pitch, but... <laughs> I've been thinking it all night. It keeps us paid. (laughs) Mama needs to get paid. (laughs) That is why I'm here. Cabot, Ian, Bickley, it's been a lot of work, a lot of fun, and a total honor. Guys, tossing it back to you, and we are saying goodnight from the War Room. Alicia, thank you for the good work tonight, and thanks to everybody in the social media war room and in the writing and, and data war room. Thank you to Cassie Dillon for her great work tonight. Thank you to you and to Cabot for your terrific pregame show, uh, which went on for three hours this afternoon, and I think brought our Daily Wire members a lot of great information. It's been an unbelievable night, fellas. In four minutes, they're going to close, I believe, uh, the they're, they're supposed to have, what has it been? They're supposed to have 170,000 absentee ballots in Michigan. That's right. I, I mean, wow. in, in Wisconsin. Rather. In Wisconsin. If, if those come in and they do not break heavily for, for Biden, then Trump's in pretty good shape in yeah. Wisconsin. Right now he leads by about 100,000 votes in Wisconsin or 9,000 votes in Wisconsin. They're still waiting for some reporting in from Madison and from Milwaukee, but it is way too close for Democrats to feel any sense of comfort. Yeah. In, in Wisconsin. Ben, what is your take? Wisconsin is a more liberal state than Pennsylvania. So should this, does this add yeah, I mean, that goes well, obviously, for him yeah. in, in Wisconsin. If Wisconsin, if he's able to maintain Wisconsin, then suddenly he becomes the favorite again, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. he maintains Wisconsin, assuming he maintains Georgia, which again is going right. to be extremely, extremely close, then he becomes the favorite again in the election after having lost Arizona. Uh, and that has now been confirmed by uh, several different outlets as, as it's, having It's gone. actually, I have to say, surprising to me for the president to lose Arizona. Uh, yep. I've spent some time in Arizona, even during COVID, and it's it seems like just classic Trump territory. I mean, Jeff Flake, Cindy McCain, is that the difference? Is that what's happened down there? I think that he, he really ticked off a lot of people. The, the suburban area around Phoenix really cut against him. Yeah. Uh, and you, you saw this in the, the Kristen Cinema election. Right. She should have lost that election. I mean, she she had she was a radical in her younger days. She had the bevy of material for doing kind of crazy things. Uh, and uh, she ended up winning that election fairly narrowly. They've lost both Senate seats in this in the course of the last four years. So that is a state that seems to be trending more in the purple direction or the blue direction, even while Florida seems to be trending more red. Ohio seems to be trending more red. The question in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin is, were those outliers last time or were those things that are that are trending red? Overall, this is a much, much, much better night for Republicans than I think anybody had a right to expect based on the bad polling data going in. I mean, the fact is that the the Republicans are going to maintain a Senate majority. That is a big win. And a lot of that has to do with the coattails of President Trump in some of these states. I mean, the fact is that Trump winning North Carolina probably pushes Tom Tillis, who outperformed Trump by a couple of points, over the over the finish line. Um, the fact is that, that Trump's intervention uh, in in some of the states like Iowa, like his late breaking surge in Iowa, definitely helped Joni Ernst in right. Iowa. Um, but Susan Collins wildly outperformed in Maine, so her maintaining that seat was really big. Dane's outperforms in Montana. The Senate races mattered an awful lot in the presidential race. Florida, the early expectation by the polls is that he was going to lose Florida. He wins Florida, walking away. He wins Ohio, walking away. Yeah. Um, you know, Georgia too close for comfort. North Carolina closer than it should be. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still finding out what exactly is going on. As far as, you know, his, his sort of final speech here, bottom line is this. Like virtually everything else Trump says, it's going to get litigated in court. And all of the all the talk about, you know, whether he won or whether he lost is going to move by the wayside like much else that he says. I think it'll be it'll end up being, I think, more like a tempest in a teapot than than anything yeah. else when, when it's all said and done. Um, but the election isn't over. Uh, and if somebody tells you the election is over at this point, that is because they're not being completely honest with you. The fact right. is that until these big numbers come in, fr- 
Philadelphia has not been counted in Pennsylvania. Okay, that's going to make a, a rather large difference, even though Trump has a 700,000 vote advantage. Have they not right counted now. anything from Pennsylvania? Uh, or they, from they Philadelphia? They count like half of Philadelphia, a quarter yeah. of Philadelphia, something like that. So where where you are in the in the state obviously makes a big difference as to what's coming in. It's not as though everything is equally proportioned, and so 60% is the same as 100%, right? Right. It, it all depends on where it's coming in. For the first time since 2000, Americans are going to go to bed on election night not knowing yeah. who has actually won the presidency. Wow. Uh, it's a that no matter how you slice it, that is bad for our republic. That is bad for people's faith in our institutions, bad for people's faith uh, in our system of government. And anytime people have questions, anytime you have a bad night for our system of government, it's a good night for the left. So the problem that I see is at this point, even if the president does secure his reelection over the next hours or days or weeks, we we have lost something important tonight to the narrative, to the left, to the way that people perceive. Well, I mean, I think I think a clean win was on the table for Trump here, right? He had the lawyers ready to go. So, yeah. I mean, he, he could have just said, listen, he could have said exactly word for word what Biden said, and then he could have walked away. And then when the, the evidence, I mean, he, he's the president. He can call a vote. He can call a presser any time he wants, right? I mean, if he says, I'm yeah. speaking right now, all the cameras show up. He's the president. So he, he could easily have done this tomorrow if there was actual evidence of voter fraud pouring in or Philadelphia started taking you know, false votes that were not postmarked or something like that. And there will be lawsuits in Pennsylvania, and there probably should be lawsuits in Pennsylvania because their voting standards are garbage. As far as sort of the, the vote count pause and, and all of that, and, you know, does that create potential for fraud? Uh, what I've seen is Allegheny County in Pennsylvania, which is Pittsburgh, uh, they, they paused the vote count because I, say, I guess they said they were short on staff. Um, in Milwaukee, they didn't actually pause the vote count. They didn't they know there said, was an election on tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, in, in Milwaukee, they didn't actually pause the vote count. They just decided they're going to release all vote totals from Milwaukee and the absentees at the same time. So it, they just weren't going to give a continuous update. They were just going to release it as a bulk, um, which honestly, since I'm not a local election official, I don't know how that is supposed to work, to be completely honest with you. Right. If there's something illegal there, there are many, 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 many lawyers on the ground. Was, uh, Tim Alberta from Washington Post says, Wisconsin's going to be very, very tight. Bulk of outstanding ballots coming from Milwaukee County. Clinton won it by 162,000. Biden currently ahead by 53,000. Trump is currently ahead by 110,000. If Biden picks up enough to reach parity with Clinton in 16, they are virtually tied. So wow. everything much too close for comfort, obviously. Yeah, I, I do think, <laughs> you know, what what Trump was doing and we can I think we all feel a little squeamish, at least about yeah. what he did. But what he is doing is setting his own narrative. And, and it is my contention that the left was going to accuse him, whatever they were going to accuse him of. And it, it, whether he takes the bait or he doesn't take the bait, they were going to push their narrative tomorrow that that uh, Biden Biden had won and Trump decided yes. to to jump on top of that and preempt it. You know, we said we weren't going to make predictions and we you know, we really didn't make predictions. I had a very little bit of money on the election, uh, but I made it a little bit of money because I didn't want to make a big prediction. The one election prediction I made is that this would happen. The one election yeah. prediction I made is that this would go to court and the president has already promised us yeah, that, so that will happen. It's the old story. You know, we wouldn't have gotten this far if he weren't Trump and we wouldn't be sitting here yes. uncomfortable if he weren't Trump. I mean, it's yep. always it's always the same thing with Trump. He comes with his his virtues and his flaws in the same package. Yeah, as do we all. As do we. I want to thank all of our viewers tonight. Many millions of you have tuned in over the course of the evening and we thank you uh, for that. I want to thank our Daily Wire subscribers and members. Uh, thank you for making it possible for us to do the work that we do. Thank you for coming on this journey with us. Uh, all the announcements that we've made tonight are to add value uh, to your membership. Candace Owens with us live in Nashville. Uh, PragerU's entire catalog behind 
our paywall, three new investigative journalists, a new morning show called Morning Wire, and for the first time, fiction. We're going to move into film and and uh, uh, TV and, and film on the fiction side. All of that is going to be coming with much more specific announcements over the coming weeks and couple of months. We couldn't be more excited. We're making enormous investments because we have to replace the media. So thank you for spending your time with us tonight. Thanks for becoming a subscriber over at dailywire.com. Uh, it's not too late. If you want to use the promo code election, you'll get your 25% off and you're going to need it because all of this is going to kick back up in just a matter of a few hours. We're going to go get a small amount of sleep, come back ready to tell you. Obviously, we'll all wake up to incredible news in the morning, breaking news, and you're going to get the best analysis of that news right here at The Daily Wire. Thank you for tuning in with us tonight, and we will see you very, very soon. (laughs) Way too soon. And thank you, fellas, for the great night. It was great. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.